Has it started? Yeah, I think so. You think so? Well, I just need all to... Oh, shit. Okay, we're recording. Hi, JD. Hi, Connor. How are you? I'm really... I'm doing quite well, actually. Um, yeah. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of 12 Hour Day with JD and Connor. Yeah, right now we are walking down the stairs at the 61st Street Woodside 7 train station. Yeah. How was your ride on the 7 train, JD? Uh, honestly, it was fine. I got on at Times Square, and uh, within moments, I was like, oh, good, the train's here, the doors are open, it's going to go. And I'm sitting there for seven minutes waiting for it to go. And then once it started going, people started getting on the train and behaving in bizarre ways. Give me an example. I was sitting there. There was several empty seats around. You know, like uh, doubles and triples, not singles. Because single empty seats are sort of like a... Last resort. Yeah, they don't really count. You want the buffer zone. Yeah. So if you can have it, you want it. There's doubles and even triples all around. Triples is like the the throne of the subway. And uh, a woman with a cane looked at me, and there was a single between me and another gentleman. And she was trying to sit there, but my coat was a little bit on it. And she, like, like looked at me. Where are we going right now? Oh, we're going to my apartment. Oh, uh, I didn't, I've never, I guess I've never walked this way on this station. No. It's oh, a little, Wait, it's, weird. Let's not give too Did we many. not go through turnstiles? We did go through turnstiles, but you were beginning your story about the 7 train. This is strange. This is a different universe. Yeah. I don't know if I feel comfortable here. No, it's it's comfortable. No, I mean like comfortable in the sense that like this feels like we're in a different city. Yeah, uh, I like it. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, it's very snowy. For those of you uh, who want to know a sense of the climate, well, as we're recording this, there's still a lot of leftover, unmelted piles of snow on the streets of New York. We should say it's President's Day. Uh, Is it? It's President's Day, the 17th of February, Monday. Uh, did you want you cut off your story and then you had a oh there. well she she just like uh, she wanted to sit on this in this single seat and it was like there's seats all over the place otherwise uh huh we're about to climb a mountain of snow okay so she uh, just wanted that single seat she wanted that single seat which seemed uh-huh. like she's a slightly larger woman with a cane uh-huh. and it felt like she would have been like you would think she would want all the room she could get she's walking with a cane she's a, but maybe she's lonely. Maybe people ride the trains for different reasons yeah, but and there different was, sub-reasons, and maybe one of her reasons is she's lonely. There was, there was no uh, social element to her no, when but she Sometimes even just like the warmth of another creature, you know? Have you ever done that? Nope, not me. Okay. Uh, but I can understand. You, know, I'm trying you to be, said that so quickly yeah. as if the idea of a warmth of another creature. No, just like I don't like a stranger on a oh, train. Oh, Wow. So yeah. we're, I'm here at Connor's Okay, apartment. now, uh, let me just give a little context for listeners <laughs> to explain why J.D. suddenly just exclaimed. <laughs> that sign is the, the best sign. Okay, we are at my... Uh, let, me, let me explain to the listeners. Okay, th- this is my... Uh, one of my days off from work. And Monday is typically a day when I do a lot of errands and things like that. So we're gonna, they, that'll come up later in the, in the episode. Um, but I've taken J.D. to my apartment building in Woodside, Queens... And JD has just reacted to. Do you want to tell the listeners what you just reacted to at my? Well, first of all, it's a very. It's like a. a, There's houses on the street. 
uh, yeah. It's small apartments. It's like very, it's very neighborhoody. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel like New York. I live in a story which is neighborhoody, but this is even more so. Yeah. Like uh, right here, there's some sort of looks like a bank of yeah. some sort with pillars well, in front of it. This is giving away a lot of personal information, but I'm gonna, <laughs> but it's interesting enough that I feel like I want to go ahead and say it, which is that uh, at a, we won't we'll try to avoid giving too much information about my building so that yes. people don't know. But on the same street as no, my building. No, I'm going to mention that sign, which will give it away. <laughs> okay. Um, no, um, I'm near a, a Mormon church. This is a Mormon church oh. on my street. And this is a fun detail is that um, we're here. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Visitors welcome. And there's a couple of buildings to it. But one of the buildings, and I walked past this building um, the other night, and there was some sort of party going on in there. <laughs> <laughs> there was a party going on within the Mormon church, and they were playing the song Blurred Lines. What? Blurred Lines. Hilarious. Um, which I thought, like... Is this the party space? This is the Mormon party house. They were playing Blurred Lines. So you'll see, if you're on my street long enough, you will at some point see a bunch of uh, very, like, sharply dressed, conservative-looking young men walking in, in groups together. Oh, interesting. Uh, like, uh, very much like... They look like Mitt Romney's sons. Right. You know? Um, so anyway, if you want to go ahead and give away the sign and basically destroy any, any privacy that I can have well, where I live. I, okay, well, okay, I won't, give a, I, I won't give away... I won't give away the detail of the sign. Okay. But it is a sign that is warning off a type of person that you might warn off in, like, 1930s America. <laughs> now it sounds like I live in a horrible building. You have to say what it says. The sign says, no peddlers. Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of horrible people in the 1930s who might put up you know, terrible racist signs. I didn't want anyone thinking that I lived in like a, a racist building or something. I just thought the idea is, no peddlers? This is a nice, this is a nice building. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we are in the elevator. It's an building. old building. It's an old building, old elevator. It has an elevator door that will knock you out if you miss the window of timing. Like, it's one of those that if you wait more than two seconds before going in the elevator, the elevator door just crashes closed. And right. if you're standing in it, it pushes at you. It doesn't, you know, some elevators are sensitive and they will be like, oh, a person's oh, here. I'm so sorry. There. I'm sorry. This elevator is the equivalent of just like a freight train just coming at you. Right. All right, now, we're uh, going to my apartment now. Maybe not that many people. I, uh, not that many Time. People, not that many people uh, have uh, been in my apartment. Oh, wow. Um, this is a great apartment. Thank you. Now, it's a little messy. It's a little cluttered. Um, you can make any observations about my apartment. Okay, so I've walked into Connor's apartment, which is a, um, not many people come to Connor's apartment, just because it's out in Woodside, and Connor also likes to keep his life private. Also, you know, sometimes I go through periods where I'm very busy, and so the apartment is even more cluttered than it is now, and that's embarrassing, and then I don't, I wish I, I had more time and more discipline to keep it tidy, because... You know, I mean, uh, our mutual friend Chris Gethard, we were neighbors for years. Right. Um, even years before we knew each other, he lived a few blocks from here. And 
Gethard never saw the inside of my apartment, even though he would frequently uh, pick me up to drive me to do stepfather shows. Uh, he never, I never invited him up to the apartment. I never right. saw his apartment either, but um, I saw a video of his apartment when he. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in that apartment. Yeah. Um, but you walk into Connor's apartment, and immediately it's, it, what it reminds me of is um, the apartment of a main character of a movie from the like mid-80s. Like what kind of movie? Um, uh, like a, uh, like you're a quiet hero who we're following going on some sort of journey about people. I, it's, it's, I'll, I'll give you a description of it. I walk in, the lights are dim except there's a Christmas tree on. So there's this colored light in the sort of op entryway area, which is directly across my kitchen, with tons of Christmas books set up on it in a very delicate way, like a little Christmas scene. I'm looking at a Fozzie Bear uh, ornament. And then in the rest of the room is comic books and toys, but sort of organized relatively nice. It's a very open open space. I don't know, it's a very it's a very relaxing place. Where should I put my jacket that's uh, you can hang your jacket on the back of my uh, stationary recumbent bicycle. Yes. There's also a stationary recumbent bicycle here. That's for exercise. Uh, I've also started playing, if you heard music uh, in the background as JD begins telling the story of my apartment, uh, that was just how I turned on a record player. Sure. Uh, I'm going to tinker with the levels a bit. The, the record player I have in my apartment uh, belonged to my great aunt Arlie. I inherited it. It's a 1975 Sony HP810 stereo music system. It has two large speakers. And uh, I'm very fond of it, although the glass, uh, the, the plastic glass case actually broke. Uh, I need to get it repaired. I need to see if I can get it repaired. It also has a, an electrical problem, which is that the only way I can stop the record player to turn it off now is to unplug it. Is my mic doing bad? Uh, no, just, you want to come over here? Okay. You can keep talking, I'm just going to mess yeah. with it. So I can play records on it and it works well, but when I want to stop playing records, I have to unplug the whole system, Oof. which is frustrating. So I need to get that repaired. Um, but it'll, I feel like it'll be really exhausting for me. It's a pretty heavy record player, and the place in Manhattan that I think I want to take to repair it, I just feel like it'll be exhausting even just getting it out to a taxi cab. Right. And expensive. Um... Yeah, uh, as we said, it is... There we go, I think I fixed you. Okay, it is February 17th, and I have a Christmas tree up. That is entirely um, just because I've been too busy to take it down. Right. And also not... I haven't been inclined. It's not... It, it's like I've had other priorities. I've been out of town a lot the past few months. And when I'm in my apartment and I have things that I need to do, taking down my Christmas tree... It has been a low priority. Sure, that makes sense. I like my little Christmas tree. It's like a three-foot-tall Christmas tree that I have placed on a table so it touches the ceiling almost. Right. I have all my old ornaments from when I was a little kid on it. I have a tablescape of 
Christmas books and other other things, and it makes me happy that it's in my apartment. Yeah. Um, I leave it on at night, and it has like a nice glow when I'm asleep. Do you leave it on at night? I do leave it on at night. Do you get paranoid at all about... No. Because at an early age, I was always taught that like Christmas trees just fucking catch on fire. Yeah, but I feel like if it was a real Christmas tree, I might think about that, but that's a, it's an artificial Christmas tree, and I feel like... So do you store it year-round? Yeah, I, I, we're going to, when I take it down a little bit, you're going to see where I put it. It goes in a closet. Oh, wow. Does it fold up? Or? It folds up. It's oh. couple, it comes apart in three pieces. That's folds nice. Up. I've had it for over a decade. I've had it since the year 2000, I think. That's good. Maybe That's a millennium tree. It's a millennium tree. Um, yeah, so it's oh, one of those... Oh, wow. That's really great. You like, have a... Connor... Oh, sorry. I like... No, I like that so far the, there's repeated moments where JD just exclaims, oh, wow, at the sight of something, and then there's a moment of mystery for the listener. What did JD see? Uh, well, because I'll say this, too, is that, like, you and me are very similar people, so we like a lot of the same things. Yeah. So this is... And I think the first episode, this is you walking around, looking at the stuff on my shelf. Yeah. I'm doing that now, sitting down. And Connor has a big poster of what I believe is the best, well, at a time, I don't know if anymore, but at the time was the best movie theater in New York City, which is the Sunshine Cinema. And that is a poster from when they basically like reopened it or opened it. Right. Uh, it's a Dan Klaus poster uh, featuring... And it was an exclusive poster that he did featuring a, an adult uh, Enid Coleslaw from Ghost World. Right. Um, going to see a movie at Sunshine Cinema on Houston Street. Yeah. Uh, my I, friend Sean Peterson gave me that uh, poster. Uh, and I have it on my wall always. I really like it. It's great. I always, for a while, I ranked the Sunshine as the best because I really love Theater One there. Mm-hmm. The big one. The big one. Um, and my ranking for theaters is there's the physical theater itself, so yeah. like the seats, the theaters, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the programming. Yeah. And then the theater experience. Yeah. And then those three things are my three uh, determining factors. Yeah. And I think for a while, Sunshine had great programming. The theater experience is, I think, top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, and. The, the theaters are really nice, especially Theater One at Sunshine, I think, is the best. Stadium seating, but it doesn't... Most There's not a bad seat in the house. And most theaters that have stadium seating, a lot of them, you, I almost associate that term with modern, kind of soulless multiplexes. Yeah. But it actually manages to have the benefits of stadium seating without the coldness that often accompanies stadium seating in a movie theater. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's the kind of thing where there, it, there's just not a bad seat in the yeah. house. Every seat is great. It's great going to see Sun... I, I rarely am able to do it, but um, Sunshine at Midnight, they're midnight movies. Yeah. There was a period uh, um, y- a few years ago... Wait, when was the period? Probably n- mid-aughties. Okay. Uh, probably around like 2005, 2006. Okay. Where... I would go to midnight movies despite having to be at work the next morning. Right. Just because there'd be a movie that I had to see. Uh, so were you there? There was a period probably around 07, 08, mm-hmm. where, because um, like me, my friend Rob Malone, mm-hmm. 
my friend Blake LaRue, we would go to the midnight movies, at least I would, almost every weekend. And it became a thing where there was a period of time where it was almost like a a comedy battle that would happen during the movies. There was a period where it was like, oh, these movies are being screened for you to make fun of. Yeah. And it was like you'd sort of sit in groups and it would be sort of like each group, like each, there'd be like two or three people that would sort of rise to the top as like the top three screen shouters. Yeah. And sort of by the end, there'd sort of almost be like an unofficial winner of like the person who was the funniest that night. Um, That lasted for about like eight months, I want to say. Was there a counter contingency like they would fight against it? Uh, They would in the first like couple minutes, but then they quickly realized that 80% of the theater was like, no, this is the fun thing to do. Yeah. I I don't remember that. I was not there during that period. I do remember... I might have been there before that took hold. Yeah. Because I do remember going to see a midnight screening of The Goonies, and there was a one contingent of jokers, yeah. and there was another contingent of, like, stop it. Like, there yeah. were people who were like, we are, we're here to enjoy our childhoods, Yeah, and you are making jokes about... Uh, and there was, like, a back and forth between the people who were making jokes and the people who were like, we didn't come here for your jokes, we came here to see this movie. Yeah, The Goonies is tough because it's like a nostalgia feel-good. Yeah. Like, it's hard to make fun of that because it's like, well, if you want to make fun of The Goonies, there's so much to make fun of it because yeah. you have to throw yourself over to it in order for it to be an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Uh, but, like, there'd be more like Jurassic Park or, like, Mission Impossible or things like that where it's like, mm-hmm. you sort of need to watch that and have fun. I remember going to see Clue at the midnight movie at Sunshine. Which ending did they screen? They showed all three, which there's is basically like the VHS. There's four, though. Or all four. They th- showed the one where it's, like, the three possibles and then the... Right. Uh, they all did it, you know, sort of. Yeah. Um, which is... Personally, I think. Uh, did we talk about this last one? I am paranoid. I am paranoid about the possibility that we have already talked about some things. So I I asked someone earlier to start posting online bullet points of what we talked about in the last episode. Right. So we used our Twitter account. Yeah. Twelve hour JD Connor. And we created a thing. There's a website called Notepad.cc which is like a blank piece of paper that you can use it to create, like, you type on it and it just remembers everything you type. Right. And you can create a custom URL for it. So I have created uh, a custom URL that any of our listeners can go right on. But you can also erase what other people have written. It basically is like, I've called it the 12-hour day with J.D. and Connor public feedback dry erase board. I'm going to change it to digital dry erase board. Um, Do you approve of that? I approve of that. And um, so the web, the web address for that is notepad.cc forward slash 12HOUR JD Connor viewer feedback. That's the, uh, if, you ty- if you go to that URL, notepad.cc forward slash 12HOUR JD Connor viewer feedback. Uh, type anything you want. Please try not to erase what other people have typed. Um, but it's, you know, it's a free world. Obviously, if you want to, you can go just erase all of it and write, fuck you guys. Um, or you could be constructive and you can type nice things or you can scroll to the bottom and add something. You can be anonymous or you can leave your name. You can say, hi, it's so-and-so. We're not recommending this. You can also tweet at us, which that's one way of... I like how everything that we do for this podcast, though, yeah, 
we use a different way to refer to the show. Like, it's always a 12-hour day, but it's like, yeah. one, two, HR, JD Connor, 12-hour day podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> one, no, two hour JD Connor. There's no way of making it consistent. No. I mean, there is. We just haven't chosen Yeah. To. Yeah, the way that we've done it, we can't go back. Yeah. Um, what I will say about Clue, though, since I don't think we said this in the last one, is that I saw it when it was originally released in the theaters. And... Um, when it was originally released in theaters, the cool thing about the multiple endings was you... You didn't, didn't know, know which one you were going to get, You didn't right? know which one your theater was going to get. And um, I got the boring one. Which do you consider the boring uh, one? This is... Because um, there's one where it's just like... Uh, whoever they keep hinting at is the villain, is the one that does it. No, it's... Let me look up the endings here. Um... I got... Is there a place for me to plug us in? Oh, yeah. Um, you can plug in... Let's see. I've used up a lot of plugs around here. Um, could unplug the fan. Yeah. All right. Um, the ending, I think, was Miss Scarlet, maybe? Sure. Because um, you I, don't like women? You no, think, it just you think wasn't women f- are uninteresting? Um, I just think that ending, it was just like, oh, one of them did it. Um, the fun end, I'm only seeing three endings here. I thought there were just three. I See, the thing that I recently read about is that there are three endings and then there was a fourth that was released theatrically that never made it to DVD or VHS. Oh, let me look that up. Um... That was only screened in small, like a small number of times. Um, rumors of a fourth ending to the movie. Uh, yeah, there was Professor Plum. Right. It appears. Oh. I think what this is the rumors of the fourth ending is that the ending appears in the movie storybook and include the novel. So it's not a filmed ending there was a different ending in the novelization of the movie. Which is kind of a cool thing. Interesting, yeah. Um, If we believe the only website I just checked. Yeah. Um, But Wikipedia's entry, which I feel like would um, have addressed that, um, Wikipedia just gives us ending A, ending B, and ending C. And I think I missed Scarlet, which I think is the boring one. Sure. Then there was Mrs. Peacock, murdered all the victims. Uh, and then ending C, which is basically like everyone's sort of guilty of at least one murder. Right. And that ending's great because it involves a lot of running around. It involves a lot of... That's the whole... There's a lot more comedy. Yeah. And there's a lot more comedy. And the problem that I have, I really wish, when they released it on VHS, when they released it in theaters, your theater may have gotten just a random ending with the print that you got. Yeah. And I remember the time being like, oh, I bet there's a more fun ending. And then yeah. when it came out on VHS, they do a kind of cheap effect at the end, which is like, you get one of the endings and it says, it could or it could have gone like this. Then you get the other ending and it says, or it could have gone like this. Yeah. And I just remember the graphics for the, like, the title card. It's like trying to ape old silent movie title yeah. cards. But they felt like a cheap video effect. They didn't feel like part of a film yeah. experience. And I kind of wish that 
in the age of DVD that they would have just had ending C where everyone did something as the real ending and those others be alternate endings and bonus features. Sure. I don't actually like... I actually think the movie is weakened by the gimmick of showing you all three endings, whereas I think it actually builds toward right. the one good ending. And I feel like the other one was a fun trick, but I, don't, I feel like as a movie, that's a damaged movie if you watch it and you just have to sit through all the alternate endings. Right. Uh, that feels wrong to me. But that was one of the midnight movies I saw. And, and when you see the print in the theater, I think it shows you... The print now that you see, if you go see a movie screening, shows you all the alternate endings. Yeah. But I really do feel like ending C is the definitive ending. Just because they clearly just... It's the funniest ending. It treats everybody as guilty. It just feels like this is the one that is the movie. Yeah, if they had alternate endings, they should have been as ridiculous as those. Yeah. You know? Or just like completely left field, like, a cult has taken over the house. And I, I'm pretty sure... That ending C is the only one that ends with, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Yeah. Um, oh, my phone's ringing. The JD's going to go answer his phone. I also saw Blue Velvet at Sunshine at Midnight. Is this going to be the first phone call? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've gotten phone calls before, but I've ignored them. Hello? JD's on the phone. JD? Yeah. Hey, Glenn, how are you? I don't know if JD wants to. Speak no, 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 not at all. Or if he wants to go private. Um, the opening in terms of in terms of the cold open or the uh, the fake TV show. Uh, I, I shot the exterior stuff mostly for us to pepper in later to sort of open things up. Yeah. Oh, man. I apologize to our listeners for this, but JD's got this call and it's important. Yeah, to, I, th- I think it. we want to keep most everything and then just pet. Yeah, and then just pepper in the stuff it's of the uh, the, so the single interview stuff. This is not what this podcast is about. Yeah, no, 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 of, of course. Um, perfect. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. I hate to say that I'm also, I've taken this as an opportunity while JD's on the phone to do my own stupid show business stuff which is I'm responding to an email about a voiceover audition um you know I really yeah I'm around all next week unfortunately and then I think I think Colin should be also JD's very much a creature of show business he's in the industry I'm reluctantly almost like being pulled to the mail into the industry I don't like the show business industry It, it makes me feel bad and, but, you know, what else am I going to do? Yeah, like, I've been working. That would work for me. Um, I've been working if you want to just send out a job for over a decade. And I kind of feel like, well, I can't keep treading water. I have to do something. Yeah. And I have been having, like, little bits of good fortune. Yeah, recently. no, that. So I sort of feel like 
right, I guess I'm gonna. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think I think that works for me. Be a part of. Um, if you want to send out an email to me, industry, which it yeah, sounds, perfect. Sounds awful to complain about because there are a lot of people who let's right. All they want, and they work so hard for it. And everything. Yeah. So it, it feels churlish of me, but it does. It just perfect. I don't know. I'm very torn. That's great. Thanks, Glenn. Okay, it looks like JD's winding up his call. Um, so, right. He's not doing most of the talking, so I don't know how much you're hearing of the other side of it. But I feel like I needed to talk over this part just to, um, just to keep uh, this person on who J, whoever JD's talking to. He doesn't know that we're recording a podcast, and it feels unfair to whoever that is to uh, have his audio being picked up. So that's why I've decided to pick up yeah. Slack and just sort of free associate things that I'm thinking. Yeah, about. exactly. Um, well, yeah, I'll make sure that happens. Uh, yeah, that works fine. Okay. Looks like he's wrapping up. Of course, of course, of course. Oh, man. What a, what a world we live in, right? We're both recording something right now. Yeah, of and, course. Uh, All right, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Sorry. That's okay. This 12-hour day is going to be... Um, Filled with phone calls? Yeah. Because I have a lot of work stuff that I have to uh-huh. probably get done today also. Not a lot of work stuff, but I have a very important email I have to send at some point today. Uh-huh. And then I'll be receiving phone calls, no doubt, about other projects. Yeah, you're a busy guy. That's just the shame of it. What were you... Were you talking ill of me while I was on the phone? No, I was just saying the... the uh, <laughs> That uh, we're both creatures of show business, and that this isn't really a show business podcast, but we do, we do talk about whatever we're yeah. thinking about. So uh, you know, you're very much in the, sh- the entertainment <clears throat> industry. Sure, you're a, 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 a shooting star in the entertainment industry, and I'm more like a thing that's accidentally washed up. <laughs> you know, Why are you characterizing on the yourself shore, like on that? the shores of the entertainment industry? And, I don't think that's true. And I feel like you're you're like a comet. And I feel like I'm like a, a weird barnacle that, of, on something that has washed up on the shores of the entertainment industry. And the entertainment industry, and I'm just sort of lying there, and the entertainment industry is deciding whether they want to chop me up or throw me back, like sweep me off the beach back into the ocean. But I sort of feel like, I feel like that's the metaphor for me. I think that's a very self-defeating metaphor. No, I might get. How come, I might get. I might get taken in. And, how come you're not a shooting star? Uh, I feel like at one point I tried to be a shooting star and I landed in the ocean. And then, I mean, in this metaphor, it doesn't make sense what show business is. Is it an island? Is it the universe? Is it space? I don't know. Yeah. Also, your mixed metaphor. You had a mixed metaphor there. I know. I'm a shooting star and you're a barnacle. On a thing, I was sort of creating that. The entertainment industry was like an island and all of the stars of space. I would say this. Yeah. If ent- entertainment was a pirate ship, uh-huh. I am a, I am the like fresh-faced young kid from pirate books that like shows up on the ship. Yeah, and you're a guy that's Trout. fucking <laughs> locked in. The <laughs> no, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the guy. You're the guy uh, shaving potatoes and yeah. Um, no, no, no. Your guy's been on the sh- on the ship for a while. And yeah, you probably have a peg and leg. No one noticed. You probably have a peg leg, and maybe you've lost an eye. Oh God! Recently, um, I no, was... you definitely have an eye patch. <laughs> yeah, I haven't lost an eye, but I'm wearing an eye patch. <laughs> um, I recently watched um, oh, on uh-oh. what? Uh oh. On I gotta uh... take another phone call. <laughs> JD's on the phone again. Should I take my lob off? No, so just you hold can it talk? away. No, I'll, I'll, yeah. Um, 
JD's got another phone call. Um, Hello? I feel weird. I feel like I should just talk hey, about uh, personal things during these JD phone calls because yeah, I don't want to have to recap what I said to JD every time he gets off the phone because I feel like it's going to be a nonstop uh, barrage of uh, show business nonsense. Right. I mean, the entertainment industry, I don't know a lot about it. You know, I don't understand it. I feel like I'm an admirer and an observer of so many things that the entertainment industry produces, but I'm hopelessly naive when it comes to... Uh, I'm hopelessly naive when it comes to the actual way that things work. Like, I always make these assumptions about, like, oh, it should work well, like this. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, this would be really good and people would like it and they should make it like this. They should do a thing like this. But actually, there's all these numbers that I don't understand that probably more qualified people than me are like, oh, if we do that, we'd lose all our money. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, okay, well, don't do that then. Um, anyway, the thing that I, the show business nonsense that I was doing was that I have a voiceover audition tomorrow. I yeah, don't do but, very well uh, with voiceover that, auditions. Right. Thank you so I've, had, I've had a handful of them, and I always feel like I'm a disappointment. Uh, it was fun, man. It was uh, fun. It was like, I have done audi- I've done a few TV commercials, and I, I've done auditions uh, where I feel like yeah, I've done well, but voiceover as commercials, as I always go in, and I always feel like I, I do the audition, and then I just feel like, nah, that's not what they want. They don't want that to sell their chicken or whatever. They don't want my voice selling their chicken. Um, I'm not self-defeating. I could imagine a context where I would be really... I think I would be really good at certain kinds of voiceover, but I don't know that yeah, I would ever make it through the audition process to get a voiceover job. Like I feel like it would almost be the kind of thing where they'd have to know me from something else and then be like, oh, we want you to be the voice of this taco. Okay. Like, all right. Um, but I don't feel like I would make it through the taco voice audition process. Um, I'm going to start taking down my Christmas tree. Uh, now Sorry. I've seen it. I'm back. It's okay. I'm gonna, I've come up with sort of a system because I don't want to have to recap things that I've... Every time you, you get off the phone. Right. So I'm going to go into kind of a fugue state whenever you're on the phone and talk about personal things. Okay. And then we don't have to go back to it. Um, sure. Does that work for you? Yeah, that works for me. I've, I apologize. It's... No, you don't need I've, to... I have two... Never apologize for success. Well, I'm apologizing to the audience. I have, yeah. two, I have two large projects right now. They knew what they were getting into. And they that are... It. It's a 12-hour podcast. You're going to get a lot of premium content, and every now and then, JD's going to get a phone call. That's like a pop-up ad. That's what you got to think of it as. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Just we're in an interesting time for both projects. Both so pro- that was literally you, one you, project, another project. Do you want to say what both projects are? Uh, or No. I can't. I feel like I you might can't. have already. You might be legally barred from... No, I can't. I mean... Just for anyone who might be like, I don't know what this is. I wanted to hear two, guys, two friends talk for 12 hours. Right. So I work as a direct... Oh, oh God. Uh, JD almost broke my one poster for uh, my presidential campaign. Hilarious. I work as a director-producer, mm-hmm. and right now I have two pilots. One with a bunch of stand-ups and narrative pilot. Um, and one with my friends of the Chris Gethard show, which Connor is a part of. Yeah. And that is a variety show type yeah. show. But both of them are in post-production right now and are being delivered soon. 
So my life is it's a ping-ponging phone calls and meetings and Yeah, I feel like your life edits. Your life right now is like my nightmare. Just like constant obligations, constant um uh right now just to explain what I'm doing, uh I have a closet that I'm gonna store all my Christmas stuff in, but I gotta take some stuff out. The first thing that I moved out, we'll use this later, which is uh, one of those little uh Foldable carts that you use. What to, will you use that later for groceries? For? You, use, you do grocery shopping in that. Yeah, uh, I wheel it down. It's just easier than lugging. Even if I get like two orange juices. Yeah. Those plastic bags in me. The first thing I pulled out is a, a plastic bag, and I wonder if JD knows what's in this plastic bag. Can you guess? Does that look recognizable at all? Yes, I think I know what that is. What do you think it is? Is that Stillman? Yeah, it's all of the. Uh, there was an episode of the Chris Gethard show that took place in the future, where in the future I was a, a uh, I had learned to control metal and I had like a robot army. I was an overlord. He was and a they, robot overlord, yes. And they made all these prop and costume things for me. And at the time they were like, uh, we're going to make the continuity of the show all add up so that this episode always makes sense. Uh, and so I just kept all of the stuff just in case. Now, I don't think we're ever going to revisit that continuity. But <laughs> I don't think it makes sense anymore. Cause now, you know what I mean? I feel like right. it's like quantum physics where that's an alternate timeline yeah. for the show. But I don't feel like we've uh, held true to keeping that consistent. Yeah. I feel like it, did, it all happened. It was all real. But anyway, that's the first thing that I pulled out of my closet. You? Wow. What? Christmas is like a big deal to you. Yeah. It is. I mean, when I first moved to New York... Because Connor's pulling out a box now that has more Christmas stuff in it. More Christmas stuff than I... That, uh, stuff that I didn't put out. The stuff that's already... You know, we should take a photo of this and put it on the blog. Yeah, I'll take it on my uh, iPad this, mini. This is the last... Oopsies. Oops. This is the last image of Christmas Connor Ratliff. Should I... Tr- I'm gonna... I'll take the image and then we can tweet it out later. Or this is gonna be bonus content if you can figure out something else. Yeah. We did, there was bonus content. Most people don't know about this because it wasn't planned. But uh, someone figured something out in the last podcast and yeah. they tweeted to us. And uh, it was, uh, um, and, uh, it was uh, Casey Meeks, at Casey Meeks, one of our listeners of the sure. previous episode. And we sent her a, a bonus content, an image that no one else got. Um, so I'm going to take some photos. Hunter's also using a stylus on his iPad. And then, okay. Um, yeah, I do use a stylus on my iPad Mini. I, I, I'm not a fan of touchscreen technology. Interesting. Now, do all of these ornaments on the tree have sentimental value? Almost all of them, yeah. Uh, I used to, when I was little, I had a, um, I had a little Christmas tree in my bedroom that. Um, some of these ornaments, like, um, I have a couple of Muppets ornaments and a couple of um, vintage uh, Peanuts ornaments. Like, there's this really interesting one I'll take a picture of that is um, a clown Snoopy. And there's a uh, Charlie Brown playing a drum. And really cool Big Bird one here. Uh, big Fozzie Bear head. All of these are going to be uh, posted online. Bocon? Bo- a little bit of Bocon. Um, 
Yeah, there's other ones, but that's all I'm taking pictures of. But I had this little um, tree in my room. And uh, when I first moved to New York, uh, it was in an apartment building. And downstairs in the apartment... This is more Christmas stuff. I know. Uh, you have so much Christmas stuff. I'm trying to figure out... Connor's pulling out more Christmas stuff to make room for the Christmas stuff he has to put in his closet. Well... He has Snow Village stuff. Where is your Snow Village? There's a... There um, yeah, there's a little Snow Village thing. I'm trying to figure out... This is amazing. I'm trying to figure out what I put the tree in because this bag is full of stuff now and I don't know if this is the bag that I put the tree in or not. I'm very confused by a few of my own uh, steps in this process. Also, Connor has a shelf of just Viewmasters. Um, what do you do, can I ask you this, what do you do with packing peanuts? I throw them out. I throw them away. You throw them away? Should I throw my packing peanuts away? I always feel like, why should I throw them away? What if I need packing peanuts? I despise packing peanuts. I do too, but... All right, I'm going to throw away some packing peanuts then. What about bubble wrap? Uh, I keep bubble wrap. All right. You keep bubble wrap, but you despise Because I peanuts. sometimes have to wrap equipment, which I can't do with packing peanuts. No, I'm going to get rid of these packing peanuts. I don't like them either. Ugh. Well, conveniently, they're already in a trash bag. Yeah, but I'm going to put the Christmas tree in this bag. Well, just use another trash bag for the Christmas tree. No, this is a good trash bag. I don't want to throw it out. <laughs> like it's a good solid. You just hear, hear that statement? What? You just hear that statement? <laughs> this is a good trash bag. I don't want to throw it out. I think that statement makes sense. <laughs> I think it does. Uh, anyway, so I had when I first moved to New York, I had also these... Connor has a pile of oily rags by his <laughs> oven. <laughs> um, <laughs> that makes it sound like Billy Bob Thornton in U-Turn. Yeah. Uh, Oh God! Oh Look at all God. these packing peanuts. You have so many detail things. Yeah. Um, Connor I want well, his uh, vintage cereal boxes lining his kitchen and vintage <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, those are 19- drinking glasses. Um. I want to finish my story about when I moved to New York. Yes, I want to hear it. Um, but will you help me put these packing peanuts into these bags? Oh so my God! This is Connor. Trip? This is this is the, these are the things that Drive keep you crazy. from moving forward in life. I know, but I, I am moving <laughs> right forward. now. I'm getting rid of these <laughs> right, packing peanuts right now. <laughs> <laughs> right now, you are taking <laughs> about eight packing peanuts at a time and moving them. <laughs> <laughs> a trash bag to a smaller bag <laughs> because you want to keep the trash. <laughs> this, is, this is the saddest. <laughs> oh no! This is the saddest, most desperate image of a man I've ever seen. <laughs> you hunched over on your floor. Oh floor. God! What's happening? You hunched over your floor, going handful by handful. Help me, Jay. <laughs> Here, you do um, something else. I'll do this. You do this? Okay. Oh, my um, God. This is the dumbest task. <laughs> so when I first moved to New York City, I was... Um, I had all these boxes that had all my vintage ornaments, 
and they were in, uh, I stored them in the basement of the, of the apartment building, and I was told that I could keep these boxes down there, and the, uh, I went down like a day or two later, and the boxes were gone, and I asked the superintendent woman in the building, I said, what happened to those boxes? And she was like, oh, I got rid of them. And I thought she had thrown away the boxes that had all my childhood Christmas ornaments. Right. And I was so depressed by this that I, I remember saying, I'm done with Christmas. Like, this was a sign, like, I no longer celebrate this holiday. Right. Because it so saddened me that all these ornaments have been trashed. And... I I gave up. I completely gave up on Christmas. I did a full George Bailey, I am through. Right. And then it turned out she didn't understand what I was saying, and what she meant was that she had put them in, like, another room. Okay. I was like, oh, you know, I got rid of them. Or something. She, it wasn't that bad a, a, a wording of it, but it was something that implied that, like, they were gone. Yeah. And she really just moved she them She was like, they're not here place. anymore. Yeah, like, you won't be seeing those in this room anymore. Um... So then how did you come to learn that they still existed? Like, as I was getting increasingly upset about it, she was like, why are you so upset? I'm like, you got rid of all my... These boxes had my Christmas ornaments. I can't celebrate Christmas without these. And she's like not understanding why I'm upset because she's thinking all I did was move them. Right. But she was communicating in a way that was implying that she had disposed of them. Right. I wish I could remember her exact wording, but it, it was like, a, when it was done, it was like, oh, I understand why you said that the way you said that, and I also understand why I thought it was a disaster. Yeah. Um, She's probably like, oh, I got them out of here. Yeah. Say goodbye to those. <laughs> um, you will never see those here again. Um, I did what I had to do. Um, so anyway, so I'm taking down this... Oh, this is always a little sad to me. But actually, you know, it's less sad doing it in this way because I like doing this as part of, the, part of our conversation. As part of a ceremony. Yeah. Um, hey, you're making good headway on those uh, packing peanuts. Thanks. Um, I'm going to move this to a chair. <sighs> the Warner Brothers glasses that I have in my kitchen... Right. I had some of those uh, when I was a kid... They came out in the mid-1970s, and they were uh, a promotion with Pepsi, and the first run of those glasses, they basically, they have the run of the famous Warner Brothers characters, like Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, all the, like, classic ones, but also a handful of obscure ones, like Slowpoke Rodriguez, and Cool Cat, and Petunia Pig, and... Beaky Buzzard, but not how he looked in most of the cartoons he was in, like the weird comic book version from later on. But the first line of these glasses, the text, or the name of the character was written in black lettering. Uh-huh. And then Pepsi was like, these are Pepsi glasses. If you pour Pepsi in the glasses and there's black letters, you can't read them. Right. So they were like, oh, right, our mistake. We're going to replace them with white lettering. So... A few years ago, I decided I wanted to collect all the ones that I didn't have from childhood. 
and then I started getting picky about, and I want them to have the black lettering. I want them to be the original run of that, which I'm not normally... How did you learn this information about the lettering? I mean, every weird thing that I'm interested in, like that people would be like, oh, you must be the all-time expert of this. There's right. always at least one person who's more into it than me. What, what are the things in your life that you are one of the experts on? I mean, I guess Elvis Costello, but there's like dozens and dozens of guys that are actually a lot more detailed about it. Right. But know? so Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello. Um, Chris Ware. Chris Ware. Um, which I'll take another picture of this giant display here. Which is uh, impressive. Which is the um, Acme Novelty Library. Um, this, is a, this is like a, a, how tall would you say? It's like six foot tall? Uh, it's like, yeah, five, eight. Yeah. Um, no, it's, yeah, it's like probably. Yeah, there's a, there's a cardboard display that was made back when he was doing Acme Novelty Library as like a semi-regular. And did you get this from your work? No, no. This was, uh, this was a gift. And it was purchased. Wow. Um, and, but there's people who know more about Chris Ware than me. Yeah. Um, what else? What else am I an expert on? I mean, like, I'm really into the Muppets, but you're way more of an detailed expert. You and, like, Patrick Cotton are actually know a lot more, I think, about it. If we were in a Muppet, uh, Muppet trivia game, I would not win. For me, I know about the content. Uh-huh. The yeah, behind- but you also accidentally, like, you've soaked in a lot of stuff that you'll say stuff that I have no idea about. Yeah, but, like, a guy like Patrick Cotner, he can talk about, like, uh, the puppeteers and the, like, you know, the building that they worked in and, like, all that stuff. Yeah. For me, like, I can name all the weird, obscure characters, mm-hmm. but I know very much, very, I know much less about the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, but that's an example of something where, like, to a layman, I might be, like, someone who knows a lot about that, but it really is just, like, no, it's just one of the things I'm, like... Yeah. All right, time for you to get personal again. Yeah. Oh, you're getting another call. Okay. Yeah. Um, let me think here. So I'm making some headway on this Christmas tree, but it always is like a, it's a process, Hello? you know, taking stuff down and putting it away. Hey, Morris, how are you? And I have more and more stuff every Good year. It's a, weird, it's a weird little ritual because I'm just doing it for myself. You know, like, I don't really, like, my parents were in town over Thanksgiving, but I didn't have the tree up yet, so like, they didn't see this. They didn't come to my apartment. And... Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it just, yeah. I feel like this is something I'll always do, I'll always yeah, exactly. uh, make a little Christmas display for myself, and it does feel like Good. it, it matters, to, you know, like it, uh, it makes Christmas like, pretty much the, the day after we shot, it reminds me of we'll the way that, okay, sorry that's the squeaking of styrofoam, I got up. I'm trying to put away, I have this uh, little Christmas village thing. I gotta put it away in styrofoam and pack some very specifically. But I feel like that's, I mean, I celebrate secular Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday, which I know that offends a lot of people, but I also feel like secular Christmas for me is very inclusive. Uh, I feel like even 
I feel like yeah, I, mean, I, I, I tend to treat the religious aspect of Christmas like I treat it like just another part of the I just treat those as other characters that are Christmas related like my Christmas is about Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman and Charlie Brown Christmas and lots of other animated Christmas specials um, I feel like that's the core of it for me and perfect I feel like That's great. I like the way that I mean all it's funny because Absolutely, the, likewise. the Charlie Brown Christmas special all right, is viewed as like what a lot of people like talking about Charlie Brown Christmas special now, so I'm gonna patch you into that. Okay. Sorry. I I'm talking about how I celebrate secular Christmas. And it's, uh, to me it's not a religious holiday. Uh what type of what is it a celebration of then? Um it's this weird thing that happens. I don't uh, disagree. I'm just yeah, curious what you're... It's a weird thing that happens every December. It gets wintry. People put nice lights up. Uh, it's purportedly, you know, you're like, you take stock of the year. You have good feelings you, you right. make, uh, towards uh, the people in your life that you love. Uh, you give gifts to your friends and your family. You walk around and it's snowy and beautiful. And... The weird thing is the the Charlie Brown Christmas, which is always, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, Charles Schultz insisted on the part where uh, Linus would read from scripture. Yeah. And and there is a quiet, haunting beauty to that sequence. But they always talk about, like, how it was, like, a, it was a, not a commercial. Like, it was all about how Christmas is getting so commercial. Yeah. And I actually think that... I don't ever get that message. I understand that that's what they're trying to say, but they also edited out the Coke ad that was at, at the front of the original broadcast of the Charlie Brown Christmas. Do you want this chewed up pen that's also in the... Uh... No. You can have it. Thanks. Um, I like how that made, made its way in there. Um, that's like a pic bad Pixar movie that like a pen made it into a bag of old packing peanuts. Just like a horrible first draft yeah, like, it's like short film. Or it's just like the worst, saddest Pixar movie. Like this one's like way bleaker than even the opening of Up. It's just like, it's about this pen and he gets lost, trapped in a bag in a closet with a bunch of packing peanuts. Yeah. All right. I need you another one bag. one bag of packing peanuts. That's two. Two bags of packing peanuts? Oh, great. Um, do and... You have, do you have another? Yeah. And... Anyway, I, I like the commercial aspects of Christmas. Not all of them, but like I like Christmas music. I like Christmas TV specials. Uh, I like special little Christmas things that come out, Christmas candies and Christmas things like that. Yeah. And very few of them have anything to do other than, I guess you can say like, well, they brought gifts to the, the wise men brought gifts, but that's pretty thin read to... Yeah. Say like, oh, it's similar. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just does feel to me like, um, for me, I don't really need, I guess I, it's like any religious thing that you can, I can extrapolate like whatever good messages are in those stories. Are you a religious person? You, did you grow up in a re um, religious context? I grew up, I was raised Catholic. I remember, uh, I remember I had a comic book Bible. I remember early church was great. When I was a little kid, 
I had a little bag of Cheerios and my toy cars, and I would sit in the pews and play with my cars while church was happening. Um, I remember that my comic book Bible, I remember the stories were interesting to me, but the comic book Bibles that they make for kids, I don't know. They, some of the stories were like confusing to me. Like I, yeah. I found the story of Samson confusing, where I was like, he was asleep, and she cut his hair, and then God took away his strength. Right. Because God said, Samson, don't cut your hair, and you'll stay strong. Then Samson didn't cut his hair, but he fell asleep around the wrong woman. She cut his hair, and then suddenly he was weak. Right. I was thinking like, oh, like, that's not fair. That's yeah. not fair. He didn't cut his hair. This should have been. He should have been protected from this. And but I, what I really remember is there was a point when the movie The Last Temptation of Christ. And actually, this is probably. I should preface this by saying that my mom is great. And this is probably the closest thing that I would even have to uh, a bad story about my mom. Uh, and it really was just that I was, this is a rare example where I was slightly ahead of the curve, and I was a kid and she was an adult, which was the movie The Last Temptation of Christ came out. And I remember there was a big fuss about, you know, it's a movie where Jesus sleeps with Mary. Yeah, uh, or sleeps with Mary Magdalene and has sex fantasies, and so there was a it was a huge furor. All these churches were protesting. Martin Scorsese had made this awful film where Jesus has sex fantasies, and there was a petition passed around uh, our church, and it was basically saying to the local movie theater, if you get the movie Last Temptation of Christ, we're not going to your movie theater anymore. Right. And I remember my mom pat, signed the petition and, and then passed the petition to me to sign it. And I said, what, is this, what does this mean? And she said, oh, she explained what it meant. And I said, there's no, I was probably, I don't know how old I would have been when that movie came out. That came out in right. what, like 86, 85? Something like that. I have no idea. I would have been between 10 and 12. And I remember saying to my mom, there's no way I'm not going to the movies anymore. Like, yeah. it just was, like, not even an issue. Like, I was just like, someone here doesn't like a thing that's happening in a movie, so, like, we're all not going to go to the movies. I remember thinking, like, man, everybody here is an asshole for doing this. Like, just don't go see that movie. Yeah. Um, and I remember that was when I was instantly done with it. I was just like, wait a second. They're sure. They want to make me not go to the movies because they don't like what happens in a movie. Now, years later, I saw that movie. I liked it. Um, it. It actually is very much like It's a Wonderful Life. Right. That basically there's a point where, just like It's a Wonderful Life turns on George Bailey saying, I wish I was never born, and then he sees a vision of what it was like if he was never born, and then he decides, no, I want to I have been born. I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. Oh, Clarence! And it's and Last Invasion of Christ is basically Jesus gets to a point where he wishes he's on the cross and he wishes that he just lived a normal human life. Yeah. And then he sees a vision of it, and then he decides, no, I actually do want to die for humanity's sins. Right. And the sex fantasy was that he had a wife and children. It wasn't like he was like, yeah, I want to go down to the docks and go nuts. 
you know? I'm going to give him a face wet. Yeah, it wasn't like Jesus gets perverted with his new yeah. sex fantasies. It was, Jesus has what Rick Santorum has, which is a life with a wife and a bunch of kids. Wait, why'd you choose Rick Santorum? Because, like, that would have been, he'd be someone who would object oh. to a movie like that. I was like, like, why are you using him as your... I was just thinking, it was the first one that popped in my head that's like, the level of perversion that Jesus experienced was what the religious right would say is, like, the ideal human life. Yeah. Is, um... Just having a wife and having procreating with that yeah. wife. Um, see, isn't it, this is a good bag for the tree. It's fine. Yeah. You, will, you know what would be a better bag? What? Is one of the flex bags. I don't know what a flex bag is. No, this is one of them, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I guess so. All right. So that is a good bag. Yeah. I like that little moment that just happened. Um, so anyway, I was done with religion as soon as my church asked me to sign a petition saying... I won't go to the movies because of the last temptation of Christ. That's funny. The and moment they moment the moment they made you give up anything. Yeah, give up anything. No, I mean like I remember when we would give up stuff for Lent, and I remember they'd be like, "What are you going to give up for Lent?" I'd be like, "I'm going to give up cigarettes," and they'd be like, "You don't smoke cigarettes. You're a kid." I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm never going to smoke cigarettes. Can I just give up that? Why do I have to give up?" Yeah. I remember saying preemptively, "Like I'll never do that. I'll I'll never do this." Right. I never did, actually. I've never smoked a cigarette. Um, Nor have I. Hey. What good I've, role models we are. I've never had a sip of alcohol. Oh, I've... I mean, well, I've probably had a sip when I was, like, a child. Uh-huh. Uh, you got me slightly beat, but... I've, I've only had alcohol on three occasions. Uh, all of them... Two of them were specifically to get drunk. Okay. And one of them was in between or I thought like oh maybe I just do this I'm like no I don't like it yeah I got drunk uh, to get up the courage to do something once and then I got drunk uh, the last time I got drunk was uh, I found a bottle of mead and I drank the bottle of mead and it was right before something really sad was about to happen I knew it was about to happen so I just decided I'm gonna uh, drink this bottle of mead can you elaborate on any of those stories uh, the first time getting drunk basically in that eventually led to the relationship that would be my marriage and the bottle of mead happened uh, within days of what would become the dissolution of that marriage. Right. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So they sort of bookended it. Sure. Um, and the third one, the second one, the one in the middle was completely uneventful. It was just like, oh, well, I drank that one time. Maybe this is something I do socially. Yeah. I was like, nah, no, I don't like it. Um, I also, you, I think that Is wine, there a part of you that doesn't drink now also because of the bad feelings associated with that being the bookend of a No, not at all. I just, I genuinely, the second time was actually the reason I don't do it. Because the second time was the time when I thought, oh, I'll just do this. Now that I've like done it, I'll just do it. And I was like, I don't really like it. And like, I just don't care for it particularly. And um, when, you know, wine, like when people are like, oh, have a glass of wine. Wine to me tastes like church. Sure. Um, I would have wine in church, the, the blood of Christ. We'd pretend it was the blood of Christ. Right. And um, I love communion wafers. I would have eaten a box of those. You probably, you can get those. Really? I mean, not really. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, like you do like a science experiment in school yeah. where you have to like eat a saltine. You're like, ooh, I'd eat a bunch of saltines. But then if you actually bought a box of saltines, you'd very quickly be like. Right. Like out of context, if you eat something and you're not expecting it. I always find that 
when I walk around while I eat food, uh-huh. the food tastes better. Yeah. Because like... Just surprise unexpected yeah. food in weird contexts. I once... This is an embarrassingly stupid thing that I did in the last decade. Okay. Which is I had a fond memory of eating Flintstones vitamins, Flintstones chewable vitamins. Yeah. I'm like, those were great. And I was going to see a movie and I decided that I would buy a bottle of Flintstones vitamins as my candy what? for the movie. I was just like, I love those. Those were like candy. So I went into Rite Aid before going to the movie, bought a bottle of Flintstones vitamins, went into the movie, and I felt like I got a bottle of Flintstones vitamins, I'm just going to eat them like candy, and they'll be really good for me because they're full get of vitamins. incredibly sick afterwards? I ate like three of them. I'm like, oh, these are like eating chalk. Like, you remember them as tasting good because you ate them like in you the ate bathroom. One, you, you ate one before bed, like in the yeah. bathroom, and then you brushed your teeth. You're like, those are good. They look like Fred and Barney or the car. Uh, and then I was just like sitting in the movie theater with a big bottle of Flintstones vitamins like, how am I an adult? Like, how did I... Also, thank God they didn't taste good. You would have gotten so sick if you just ate vitamins on vitamins. Doesn't it make... But shouldn't you just be like storing up those vitamins and they'd be really healthy? I know that's not, that's not no, true and that's, it doesn't make sense. No. But it feels like... Like if you have too much... Have you ever had too much vitamin C? No. I remember when I was a kid... My mom had vitamin C uh, chewables. Do you want an orange juice? I'm fine, thank you. Right. Your power of suggestion has made it work. Okay. I'm going to have an orange juice. She had chewables. Yeah? Which tasted great. Because they were like orange flavored, like candy. Uh-huh. And I remember I would have one and I was like, I liked them. Oh yeah, those do taste like candy. And my mom was always like, yeah, just don't eat too many. It'll make you sick. I remember one day I like snuck maybe like two more. And if you over, like, if you have too much vitamin C, like, you just don't feel well, and then you pee it all out. But it's like it's not a good feeling. You feel sick. Well, I would imagine that if an adult tells a kid don't have too much vitamin C, you'll get sick. That they also tell you, and it is true, if you eat too many cookies or too much cake, you won't feel good. Yeah. But you can actually eat a lot of cookies and cake before you make yourself sick. Yeah. So I would assume as a kid, if someone said, don't eat too much vitamin C, you make yourself sick, you thought, yeah, you say that about cookies too. Well, I, yeah. Like, I wouldn't have trusted it as a well, kid. Well, I think either. it was one of those things where I was young enough for it was like the idea of like, yeah, but these are so small. And they're good for you. Yeah. Like, I got it. And I think I even knew the risk in taking it, but I was like, no. I'll, and then I was like, oh, I regretted it immediately. Would you say you're, you were a risk-taking child? <clears throat> I was, I've recently learned this thing about me that I never knew. Because mm-hmm. I was a risk-taking child in the sense that my older sister would always make me do stuff first. Uh-huh. And I would. Maybe like a guinea pig. Right. But I've recently learned that all of my teachers thought that I was um, overly sensitive and to the point that it would uh, hinder me in my life and that I needed to like like gain a little edge. Wow. Like my that's, mom, a weird, that's te- a weird teacher. I don't think I've ever... My mom said multiple teachers were like, yeah, he's like, you know, he's too sensitive about stuff and, you know, he, you know, uh, he needs a little bit, he, he needs to uh, man up a little bit sometimes emotionally just because like I didn't like when other people were upset. I didn't like chaos. Wow, you but I never knew that. I never. It's, it's, it's like I never. It's like no I one never, thinks that about you now. No one thinks JD Amato doesn't like chaos. Right. Well, that's the funny thing is that the version of me now versus the version of me as a kid. 
especially in the context of performance and creative stuff, is vastly different than that. Yeah. I don't think people realize how sensitive you are. I think that's true. I think, uh, and I don't know if that's a, because I realize it. Right. But but you don't, it's not apparent. It's not. Um, yeah, I recently had a situation that made me feel bad where someone uh, identified me as being cold. Uh-huh. But it was in the context of work. Uh-huh. You know, it was the context of filming that pilot. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, like, you know, you don't care about emotion. You care how people feel. And I was like, well, in that moment, my job is I can't. I can't. Yeah. But when people are upset, it really hurts yeah. me. When, if, if someone, if I ever find out that someone doesn't like me or has an issue with me, it is the most stressful thing to me. I can't deal with it. Oh, God dang. Got another phone call. Well... If it's any consolation, I bet it's someone who likes you. I'll be right back. All right. Yeah, I hope um, so. <clears throat> I'm, I've, I've now disassembled my Christmas tree. Hello? It's always hey. way easier putting these together yeah, than just taking them apart. Like right now, I'm trying to take apart the base of the tree, which is just like these three plastic triangles that fit together that form like a three-legged kind of stand that the, the bottom of the tree fits into. Boy, I just can't. Okay. To get it to come apart. I'm really struggling with it. Um, okay. I'm drinking orange juice. I was so suggestible earlier when JD um, mentioned vitamin C. I instantly was like, oh, I have to have orange juice. Like, brains are okay, so weird I mean, and stupid the way, like, there's down. no way I would have had. Oh, okay, I'm breaking apart this plastic stuff. Um, there's no way I would have had an orange juice if JD hadn't mentioned that. Okay. But the second he said it, I was just like, I have to have it. I have to have an orange juice. Um, and. Okay, great. I might try to, maybe I'll see if I can get JD to help me hang a picture frame later today. I'm trying to get get a lot of stuff done. Great, that's it's, fine. Yeah, as long as one it's hour uh, into the 12 hour day. I and also, just yeah, that's, that's fine. For an hour, maybe. That's fine. I mean, because um, if they're not in today, well anyways, like, so I feel like we're covering. Something we can do. Things that we didn't talk about in the first episode. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Great. JD's phone call is wrapping up. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll get back to the conversation. All right. I'll um, <sighs> when uh, I also with religion, I also remember. Wait. Like, why did you say I want to before doubling back even further? Yeah. Why did you say you don't think people realize how sensitive I am? Um. I'm curious about that. Uh, it was just my gut impulse. It's, I don't know that I have a specific example to back that up. Because I, b- I believe that's true. I think uh, you seem real together. Uh, and you seem mysterious in a way that combined with being together. Like, you seem like you know what you want. You seem like you have firm ideas about things. And you also have an air of intrigue about you. I think when you combine those two things, it sort of seems to rule out that you're really sensitive. Right. But I think, I think the predominant concept of me is that I am uh, not an emotional or sensitive person. Or um, that I am cold. Or like so focused on whatever tasks at hand that... Or like you're, like, that you're an idea guy. 
safety. Yeah. We're just wrapping up the tree here. Sorry for all that rustling, listeners, but it was necessary. And also, I want to point out, based yeah. on how this is wrapped, what? that trash bag is not necessary to be that trash bag, based on how much looseness there is. It's true. It's okay. Um, yeah, I think when someone, I think you're, I think if someone, if someone were to say, J.D. Motto, ideas or emotions? Sure. I think people would say ideas. I think that's true. And I think some of it is things that excite you are like, let's do, uh, let's do this big ambitious thing. And then other people's reactions might be like, oh, that's going to be really hard. And you'd be like, yeah. Uh, you know, like, like I think that uh, you like doing things that are ambitious and have a degree of difficulty about them. Sure. And I think that... That also makes people feel like, oh, he, he's more into uh, stuff that's cool than stuff that, that like, you know, like I, feel it, I think it feels right. like... Uh, but I would argue that the only things I'm interested in are things that elicit emotion from other people. Yeah. And that's why I like the big, chaotic or ambitious things, because those are things that cause people to... Feel. Yeah, because I think when you put people on high alert, they behave truer and they tap into more immediate emotions than they do when you sort of lob something up that's easier for them to take. I think so too. I think it really is, what what I'm responding to or commenting on is really just that people do tend to make a binary choice. Yes. Are you this or are you that? Uh, I I think people like to polarize everything in life. You know, especially in this day and age. Um, yeah, even my statement. I think yeah. everybody likes to. I think we live in a time where polarization is like the way that we communicate. Uh-huh. Everything is the best or the worst. Yeah. Um, and you have to pick a side. This person is like this or they're not like that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's one side or another side. This is a weird, terrifying. Connor handed me a book called Christmas Wishes, a catalog of vintage holiday treats and treasures. And. One thing that I realized about vintage holiday treats and treasures is that like anything made before like 1960 usually has terrifying eyes. Yeah, they didn't know how to make eyes back then. Or they, the problem is I think they did. So a lot of the eyes are too realistic on things that shouldn't be realistic. Uh Um, We're getting close to the end of Christmas here. Yeah, uh, Christmas is finally over. Christmas time is gone. I just have so much. You're right. I just have so much Christmas stuff. It's pretty impressive. Least, some stuff is stuff that I never get around to. Like I've got all these DVDs of Christmas things, like Emmett Otter's Jugman Christmas, Halle Grinchville Christmas, Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas Special, Ziggy's Gift, uh, which is an underrated. It sounds like because I have Ziggy's Gift on DVD, <laughs> JD is smiling from ear to ear. Ziggy's, Ziggy's Gift. Gift. It's not that I'm a fan of Ziggy. It's that Richard Williams. Directed Ziggy's Gift. You know who Richard Williams is? Uh, remind me. He did the animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. And he won an Oscar, I think, for his version of A Christmas Carol, as an animated right. version of that. And the animation in it is about as good as you could imagine. Like, it is sort of like, I'm not a big Ziggy fan, but it is like, 
he did the job and he was like, okay, I'm making a Ziggy special. I'm going to make the perfect Ziggy special. Like, this is going to be... I don't even know what Ziggy would sound like. I don't even remember if he talks or not, but it feels... He's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. We're going to put in a little bit of Ziggy's gift. Ugh. Uh, I mean, that's such a Connor Ratliff thing to, to have say? a Ziggy Christmas special because um, it was animated by Tom Wilson. No, no, not animated. Tom Wilson was the guy who created Ziggy. It was animated by Richard oh, Williams. Richard Williams, I'm sorry. If it was animated by Tom Wilson... I that would, would be even be, more interesting. I would say, but I would say there would be almost zero percent chance that I would own it. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna. I wish I didn't have so many remotes. I can't get on board with the universal universal remote phenomenon, and it's to my detriment. You have Roku, yeah. TV, DVD player, Philips Audio, and I'm actually running this DVD through my VCR. Wait, what? I'm running this DVD through my VCR. What do you mean by that? Like the signal goes through the VCR. So it just like goes down to SD and then... I guess. Weird. Um, it's just the only way I could figure to hook everything up that I had. Strange. You could get an AV switcher. I don't even know what that is. I'm sure you, if I had you set up my system, I'm sure it would be better. You got a nice TV though. Uh, yeah, I bought this as a clearance TV because it was missing a few screws, but that's really just about hooking up the base of the TV. Right. And I just put in screws that aren't the right size for it. Now, we're, this is a commentary track. If you own a DVD of Ziggy's Gift, you can press play. So, everybody, everybody turn on Ziggy's Gift, and right now Ziggy's looked out of the window. Yeah. So start it right now, everyone with Ziggy's Gift on DVD. On DVD, the Christmas special, directed by Richard Williams. Music lyrics by Harry Nilsson. That's impressive, right? Yeah. Um, this is a class act thing. Um, you can already tell that this is full animation. This is for a TV special. The limits of it, I think, are based in the limits of Ziggy, the comic strip. Yeah. But it has a very um, dirty 1970s feel. Like, when you see the cityscapes in a second, you're going to see... Um, ah. Ziggy is fiddling with the sink, and he's trying to brush his teeth, but he can't uh, get the toothpaste out of the tube. And the water is running, and everything's messy. Like, the water is... Wait, this is so strange. This is so strange. Yeah. Um, Richard Williams was a, is a great, great animator. There's real feeling in this animation. Real fluid movement. I guess, but when your subject is Ziggy, it's hard yeah. to really... Uh... Yeah. Get new pencil. Make list of things to do. That's like, <laughs> that's like a Ziggy joke. Don't be cynical, JD. I just think... Tom Wilson's a sincere guy doing his best to make people laugh. Just everything like this is like, up oh, Ziggy touches this, and up oh, it's more complicated than he thought. I mean, that's not untrue. <laughs> Um, I like that's good animation. That guy, the TV, the TV guy. Right yeah. now, people are just listening to us watching a Ziggy Christmas special. Um, <laughs> when you get to the cityscapes, I think you'll see what I'm talking about in terms of uh, sure, in terms of how it's very much of its time. And this is an Academy Award-winning filmmaker, and he's got booked a job, animated a Ziggy Christmas special. Yeah, I'm sure he's not feeling like oh, this is my big moment. Uh, 
Ziggy just broke a mirror. Glass went everywhere. He doesn't seem to care. He just took off his pajamas. Uh, and put on no pants. Put on no pants and put on socks. Wearing like a tunic, basically, right? Yeah, this is strange. Yeah, I don't understand what's happening. Um, but... Anyway, so this is one of the things that I own. I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through. I just, it was cheap, and I thought, wow, Richard Williams directed this, and... Have you watched it all the way through? Yeah, I don't think I have. <laughs> I don't remember any of this. This is uh, the first two minutes. I know. Um, I think I just watched it enough to be like, yep, I like this animation. But I, the, the content wasn't anything that really engaged me. Okay, here's the city. They're in the cityscape, and I feel like the way that people thought of cities in the 1970s was a very specific moment. Like, people were like, they hated the cities. And right. I feel like a lot of the things that are still true about cities were, like, the behavior you talk about on the 7 train. I feel like that's the way everyone felt about the cities in the 1970s. Yeah. And a lot of that's still true, but people feel differently. Um... Yeah. Okay, Charlie Brown. Ziggy just picked up a small twig-like tree. Uh, yeah, it does look like a, an homage. And he's to... walking in profile to a jazzy score. Yeah, so it's Except very... instead of letting that play out, a uh, an Irish cop came and... Irish cop is now uh, harassing Ziggy. He has a <laughs> nightstick. He accidentally... That the cop just hit himself in the head while twirling his nightstick threateningly. And there's someone in the trash can. Look at that. Like a ghost, almost. Yeah. But I think that's like a, that was a homeless person who lives in a trash can, right? Yeah, but his hand was like the hand of a specter. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ziggy lives in an awful world. This is like an awful universe. This is a... Fuck. This guy's... That's a terrifying character. There's a man just... He <laughs> in the trash can who's a monster. A gray monster who's just cackling. It looks like a dying man. We, um, can't, we can't spend too much longer just talking about Ziggy's... How, why, are we running short on time? Well, I just feel like this is oh, so ridiculous. We're going to lose listeners so This is so ridiculous. In the process. Because it's oh. not like anyone can relate to this. Because I bet there's a, only a handful of people that know this exists, let alone have they seen it, let alone own it, people. let alone have it at their disposal. Yeah. People who are... I'm going to eject it yeah. and pack it up with my Christmas stuff. But people may have just done some Googling while listening to this. They may look up Ziggy's Gift, find out information about it on paper. Question to you. Yeah. What is Ziggy's Gift? I have no idea. I think it was probably <laughs> generosity. It's just like being a good person, maybe. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the pedigree on Ziggy's Gift is tremendous. Harry Nilsson, Richard Williams... It's a winning team, but unfortunately, it's hindered somewhat by the subject matter. That the source material, I think, does limit its appeal. Sure. There's a ceiling on how much could be achieved, and I think they they met it. Also, I'll have to say yeah. I can categorize people based on the type of people that own those. Own what? And what I'm pointing at is. Um, one of those electronic things that I used to see in airports as a kid that is a electronic stair step thing that tiny miniature figurines walk up and then it's like 
then at the top there's a slide that loops around the whole thing back to the bottom mm-hmm. then it just keeps going forever so you're going to characterize me based on that yeah you are you are a type the type of person because that is a certain nostalgic yeah what are these uh burnt memorexes i have no idea why are they in your christmas pile? i think they have christmas music on them okay um because that reminds me of a certain like 1990s um, airport. It's yeah. like that and the flower that when you make noise, it like dances. and the cactus that dances. Yeah. Uh, and one of those hammers where you hit it and it makes a crashing noise. Yeah, and the fish, the uh, amount on the wall that sings "Take Me to the River." That was a little later, I think. Yeah. Those dancing flowers really were a phenomenon for a while because people just couldn't believe that was like the first artificial intelligence to a lot of people. That <laughs> they would hear a sound and start dancing. Yeah, they were like, "It's alive! This flower doesn't dance unless you give it music." This flower enjoys dancing. This flower loves music just like us. Um, well, I am very close to having all of my Christmas stuff uh, put away, but I think I got them. I think I picked up a few new things this year, and I think I what's new this year? That is new. Really? My Peanuts staircase is new. I think I've got like a few more things than I have room for. Well, I should get rid of some stuff. Do you have another box? Um, I think I can probably put a few more things in this box if I get rid of the packing peanuts that I noticed are in the bottom of it. Uh, oh yeah, there's that too. Probably can't fit anything else in here though. Well, this box, I have these packing peanuts. I think it's just because this box has my most precious uh, Christmas ornaments in it. Right. But I think I've overdone it, and you've shown me. I think all I needed was one person to tell me they hate packing peanuts and make me get rid of... Uh, They're never peanuts. helpful. Yeah. Let's get by. Um, going back to religion just slightly. Sure. I think... As do we all. I think I just realized... At that point, the last temptation of Christ, that I didn't like this organization. Like, I didn't like them doing that. And I think it's a decision that's held up really well. Because this was mid-1980s. As yeah. a child, I decided I'm done with the Catholic Church. And this was well before the giant public scandals of child abuse and, and cover-ups and things like that. Right. And I, I'm agnostic. And I'm proudly agnostic because... Wait, did we talk about this last time? Did we? Yeah, we How I, would, I said agnostic atheist? Oh, yeah, we did talk about that. And oh, I probably told you that on that Thanksgiving... Sorry, viewers, uh, listeners. Uh, I keep calling the people who listen to this podcast viewers. Uh, well, tell, if they can be viewers if they just look at something. Yeah, look at something while you're listening. Don't, don't listen with your eyes closed. Well, no, listen with your eyes closed if you want. That's kind of sweet, too. Um... Yeah. Did I, did I tell you that I revealed my agnosticism on Thanksgiving dinner? No. My parents? When we were, we used to come to New York City for Thanksgiving trips when I was in high school. We started off and it was a thing that my dad's mom, my grandma, paid for a Thanksgiving trip where we did like a theater trip. I remember that one because like one of the, one of the plays was Miss Saigon. And I remember there was a, my grandma clearly felt we should not be at Miss Saigon. Like, when it got to the point where it was, like, Vietnamese prostitutes dancing to, like, a musical yeah. number about that. And I could tell, like, my grandma was like, why are my grandchildren watching this? Yeah. Um, but 
there was a point, I think it was like my senior year of high school, where um, my parents and my sister and I, we had come to town for Thanksgiving, and my mom was harassing me about getting confirmed, a confirmation, that you have to take confirmation classes. And I'd been dragging my heels on it. And they, my mom was like, you need to do this. You need to take this. And I was like, I really don't want to take these classes. And I think if I could have just signed a form and gotten confirmed, I would have done it. Right. But it would have involved me having to take classes for a while where I'd give up one of my weeknights to you know, learn and take these little tests or study or whatever it takes to get confirmed. And I just didn't want to waste the time. I feel like this is my senior year of high school. This is like your phone's ringing now. Precious time, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, you don't have anyone important that's calling you. No one important is calling me. I guarantee it. Um, and the, I finally was just like, Mom, I don't want to take these confirmation classes. She's like, Why not? And I yeah. said, Well, because I don't know that I believe in God, and I definitely don't believe in the Catholic Church. And this was at Thanksgiving. Jeez. But she like pushed the topic. And she was upset about it for a while, but I have to say that you know my sister was upset about it, my mom was upset about it, my dad was Methodist, so I don't think it bothered him at all. But um, I think other than the general sense that it was like causing some yeah. discord. Um, but... In the in the ensuing years, I really did feel like. Is there a reason why your outlet might have stopped providing energy? I don't think so. Why? Because it did. Hmm. In the ensuing years. Is it? How do we tell? Try to turn on something else. Okay, let me see if there's anything that could have happened over here. Oh yeah, it might have. Yeah. It did stop providing energy when I turned off the Christmas tree. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I... In the years after I stopped going to church, um, gradually, like, my the rest of my family kind of did too. They kind of got less involved in it. Yeah. And I kind of felt good about that. Like, I kind of felt like, over time... I felt vindicated by the horrific misdeeds of the Catholic Church. Right. Though I think the current Pope seems to be pretty popular and seems to be at least somewhat smart about leaning towards like compassion over judgment. Right. From what I can, from at least that's the general impression that I'm getting. Yeah, but it, my, my thing with him too is that like I like a lot of the stuff he's doing, but it's all very small token things. Where I'm like, yeah, it's great that you touched a homeless person yeah and that that's what you but it's also like that it, i feel like he's the apollo 13 of popes which is uh i remember someone i i don't mean this as an insult but i remember someone made a great comment when apollo 13 came out and it was up for a ton of oscars and someone said apollo 13 is a really good movie but it's like the baseline for like what good movies should be not a thing that you give awards to yeah it's like all good movies should be good like apollo 13 yeah but they shouldn't be getting trophies to. It's just a good movie. It's just right. a good movie well made. And I feel like the current Pope is like the Apollo 13. He's like, yeah, he's good. He's doing like the stuff he's supposed to be doing, which is like touching the poor and being nice about stuff. And Yeah, and being like, oh, despite our differences, we should love everybody. And it's like, yeah, that's the that's idea. Job. That's yeah, That's your job. And just because the previous guy was a Nazi 
and didn't do all those things, you know, like that makes you look good by comparison, but it's not like you get a special award for it. Exactly. Um, being pretty hard on the popes here on this podcast. Yeah, um, but like, they're. I don't think I don't. They problem. deserve it. Like, I, I agree. They're, they're, <laughs> I they are the, they are the leaders of an organization around the world that claims they understand the entire universe, like the creation of everything and the rules by which humans are meant to live. They got it. Yes, you should be under. Like, yeah, you you should be up for criticism. Yeah, you're claiming to know it all. I, I really, um, but I felt good in the ensuing years. I felt like I got my family sort of out of the sphere of, by the time the shit really started to hit the fan with like, this organization has been systematically covering up the abuse of children. Yeah. I felt like, hey, I'm the reason we're not really part of this anymore. Yeah. I was like the one who was like, I don't want to waste time joining this organization. I took a great class in high school that was studying the Bible as literature. Yeah. And I actually, I think the Bible is an amazing book, just as, like, these stories are crazy. I had a thing when I was a kid. Yeah. And this was, because I think I told the story last time of the moment when I was like, oh, I don't believe in any of this, the system. Uh When I was playing basketball and I uh, blocked the shot of the priest. You what? I blocked the basketball shot of the the young priest. Uh-huh. I feel like I told that story last oh, time. Oh, yeah, you did. And the guy was like a jerk about it. It wasn't a jerk, but he was just like, he was just frustrated. And I was like, oh, this person is... Not in control. Not in control and fallible, fallible and like is just a person that took this chose to do this. Um, but I remember before that being in Sunday school and reading the Bible. What is it? Exodus when... Whatever the one is where it talks about all the visitations to earth and all uh-huh. the miracles and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And I remember reading it and being like, oh my gosh. If I look at this through the lens of this is not something that a god did or something like that, but this is things that aliens did when they visited, uh-huh. it all started making sense to me and I started creeping myself out. Yeah. Because it was like, it's like, and then the five burning torches will come from the sky in the shape of a star. Like, and I was like, no, 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 no. Those aren't burning torches. Those are like the like landing lights of a spacecraft. Yeah. And these like these the description of these like the head of a horse and the body of a this and the da da da. Yeah. It's like no, that's them describing aliens, and they just only have these primitive ways to describe what these are, but. What they're talking about is aliens visited Earth and said that like they're going to come back and like destroy it. Uh-huh. And that started creeping me out. And then all of a sudden I was like, started reading the entire Bible through the guise of their, like <laughs> aliens having visited and like, yeah. you know, all this bizarre stuff. And then the thing turned into like a work of fiction to me. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of really funny stories in the Bible that are unintentionally funny. Right. There's a lot of stories where God gets really angry because something happened and he wasn't aware of it. And there's like the scene where God hardens the Pharaoh's heart multiple times, where it's like a uh, uh, guy comes to the Pharaoh. I, I always forget which names are which in these stories. Yeah. But the guy comes to the Pharaoh and is like, I want you to do this thing. Please like release my people. 
And the Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so God visits a plague upon him. Thing happens again, and the Pharaoh, clearly, in, at least in many translations I've read, the phrase, the God hardens his heart. Like, the Pharaoh is about to be like, I don't want any more plagues. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree to what this guy is asking me. Yeah. And then God hardens the Pharaoh's heart. And then the Pharaoh, like, against his will, says, like, no. More plagues. And invites more plagues. And... But there's the other, oh, no, the other, the great one, the, my favorite one is the one where God's guy is running around, he's going around with his wife from town to town, traveling, and he's nervous because he has such a beautiful wife Sure. that he's like, these people are going to kill me to sleep with my wife. They're going to, like, hurt me. They're going to, they, my wife, I have a great wife, and so when he gets to town, people are like, hey, is this your wife? He's like, uh, no, she's my sister. And... So in one of the towns, one of the like the local leader, like his men are like, "Hey, is that your wife?" The guy said, "No, that's uh, my sister." And like, "Oh well, she'd be great in the in our king's harem. He should be one of the king's wives." And so he's like, uh, "Sure, yeah, she's just my sister. Go ahead." So his wife, he allows his wife to be to join the king's harem or something. Yeah. God meanwhile looks down. He's been doing other things, I guess, and he looks down at one point. He sees like, "What's this?" The my guy's wife is in this king's harem. So he puts a pla- starts to put a plague on this town. And then the king finds out what really happened and says, leave my town. I don't know why he lied, but you can't stay here. Like, you've sure. ruined my town. Leave. So they leave. And this happens like a couple more times. Where like he goes to a new town, he gets scared, says it's my sister, the king like takes it as a wife. And then like the third time it happens, right before God is about to plague the town, yeah. the king like stops God and is like, wait a second, wait a second. I didn't know. Your friend lied to me. Don't plague my town. Right. And it's weird that that conversation even happens, that like that somebody gets to the point where they can stop God before he does. Well that's it. what I was gonna say is like like Man, what happened to that age? Yeah. Like if 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 c- certain sects of the religion believe that the Bible is a work of evidence for the things that have happened, I want to go back to that time where you yeah. can like shout to the heavens and have him like respond, say stuff to you, and be like, "Listen, I think that this." Yeah. And we could be like, "No, I need to get to this place on time. Why have you stopped me from getting there and by causing the train to stop?" And he could be like, "Well." You know, maybe you should do this, and then I'll, I'll let the trains go. And it's like, you could make bargains with God. Oh, it would be great. Uh, but it, in that instance, God, he's like, God, don't do this. I didn't know. Your friend lied to me. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. And then God's like, well, okay. Don't let it happen again. Yeah. And it seems to me in my reading of it, which I think I'm entitled to have, my reading of it is God feels slightly embarrassed, like... Oh, I've, I've been standing up for my friend. He's lying about it. Yeah. But then there's no repercussions to that. There's no story at the end of it. To, to me, if I was writing the Bible, I would have that story end with, and then God realized he needed to be paying more attention, A, and B, he needed to punish his friend for lying, being like, and he needed to undo those... Pl- I mean, there's just like so much cleanup that has to happen yeah. at the end of that story. I, I've come to a realization re- recently. I think Gethard's the one who told me it. Uh-huh. Um... I think I'd like to be a god. Why? Like, I think I would enjoy being a god. Why? Um, 
This is a typical director. I think I would enjoy, like, I would enjoy the pressures of being in charge of everything. Oh, God. That would be exciting to me. In the sense that, like, there's something, I mean, I think it's a very, like, also messed up part of my personality. But, like, the more and more I realize it, like, the more stuff I'm drawn to is stuff where, like, I can at one time be in charge of things and know, even the things that I'm not doing, know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, having all the answers is a calming thing to me. So I would love to be a god and be able to just like understand everything that is going on at all times, whether or not I had to be involved with it. I would hate it. I would really hate it. I would uncreate everything really quickly. <laughs> you would just the world would turn into nothing. It would yeah. just like it would be the opposite. Instead yeah. of like the world was created and whatever I was like, Well, how can we undo this? Well, oh, so, there there go <laughs> there goes the mountains, there goes the water. Oh, Connor's hitting undo on everything. Yep. There goes the sky. No, I would do it so fast, it would be like Lenny and my, of my Men. The undoing of the universe wouldn't be perceptible. I'd just be like, I would just pull the cord. Right. I'd be like, ah, I can't. Because like, I'd be like, oh, I made the heavens and the sky, and I made these people, and when they like rub up against each other, they make a new person, yeah. and then this person happens, and like, oh, oh, God, wait, what happened? Oh, their baby died. Oh, God. I messed up. Universe over. <laughs> like, that's my, like, the first time that something went wrong, and I'm like, ah. Or you'd be this, like, tortured guy, like, oh, wait, wait, okay, well, maybe, maybe we make Maybe the baby didn't die. Maybe, bring it back. Maybe, baby, maybe, maybe babies can't die. Okay, babies can't die. Oh, oh no, God, they're no. using, they're using babies as bullets against each other. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hashtag baby bullets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Please <laughs> post that now. Hashtag baby bullets. Uh, at, if, if babies can't die at 1-2-H-R-J-D Connor the next result the next logical result is babies can't die let's use babies as bullets you know what I mean it would be that kind of thing oh like, god yeah that's brilliant oh uh, yeah oh, okay we'll make babies not die oh no they're using them as, as, as bullets against each other okay well maybe we make it so bullets can't hurt people oh, oh. no <laughs> yeah um Oh, yeah. no, every criminal is getting away with stuff. They're just setting them on fire. Flamethrowers are everywhere now. It may... Well, maybe make fire not hurt people and just, like, would spin out of control. You know, I think when I realized that, like, the only way that heaven makes sense as a concept is that either there is a ton of deception going on or it's, like, a narcotic state. Like, a, like a everyone is, like, blissed out to the point where... Like, if everybody was just, like, high on heroin and feeling great, like, the high of heroin all the time, you would look around and be like, no, it's kind of creepy. Like, yeah. this isn't living. The idea of heaven, as far as I can think of it, like, it can't just be good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Because somewhere, there's a nice old lady whose son was a monster. Like, yeah. a, a, a good person had a son who turned out to be the worst, violent, killer, uh, did every manner of horrible thing, but she never did anything wrong, and she right. loves her boy. She goes to heaven, but it's not heaven for her if her boy isn't there. But right. you can't, that monster can't go to heaven, yeah. right? Unless there's just no rules and everyone gets in. Unless there's jail in heaven. Yeah, I mean, it can't be. There's no way for there to be a jail in heaven. Unless someone loves jail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, heaven's weird. The second you start trying to make sense of it... Uh, <laughs> Like, there are jails in heaven, but only for good people who love jail, being in jail. Um, 
<laughs> the and there's people that are guards there, but there's the few people that love being jail guards. Whoa, what if we're in heaven? What if this is heaven? And on, the only people in jail who can see the guards are the people who love that there are guards in the jail that they love being. To other them, they're invisible. But there are certain guards that don't love not being heard. So they can be heard by that person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, so my feeling is, okay, so what are your options? Either you bliss out this nice old woman to the point where she forgets her son or she thinks he's around and he's okay right. or whatever. Or there's a fake version of her son in heaven who's good, Ugh. who's like her version of it, who's not a real person. It's just like they used up some angel energy right. to create a decoy person. Right. doesn't have a belly button. Yeah, but all the people who were innocent victims of this person, they can never see him unless they're right. blissed out to the point where they don't notice and they forgive him instantly and they feel great. Or it's just he's so all they see them. is this old woman walking around with like a grizzly bear. And like, why is the woman who is the mother of that monster who tortured me to death? Why does she seem so happy? I guess she's blissed out. Who's <laughs> who's she talking to? Yeah, how come there's a big like fluffy teddy bear? Because they only see like a teddy bear or something next to her. There's just the levels of deception or uh, uh, anesthesia that are required in order to make, or it's just so abstract that like it might as well be meaningless. If we all just go into a big pool of souls and it's just like, we're just like jello powder that turns into jello. Yeah. Then that, what's that? Like if we lose our whole narrative, if none of it really meant anything, if none of it was really leading to anything, it's hard as a person who likes narrative to conceive of a non-narrative version of well, that's the thing that bothers me is that we do all this thinking and talking and feeling and existing right yeah. now. And then, you know, there's so much of me believes that the moment we die, it just ends. Uh-huh. Then I'm like, well, that's such a... What a waste. What a waste of existence then. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like it should have a payoff, right? There should be a point where it's like, yep, everything you did was all building to this. Well, here's a thought that bothers me. Is that you, I think of like, okay, what's the, what's the meaning of, of existence, right? Why does anything exist? Uh-huh. There's got to be some sort of meaning to it, why this thing exists. Um, but then you also look at consciousness and mentality and you say, okay, I could see how that could just be a series of intricate chain reactions that our, you know, our, our neurology is making. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, because there's always the comfort of like, well, when you die, you'll at least figure out what this is about. And then I have this thought where I'm like, oh, man, maybe, maybe our consciousness like, isn't privy to learning anything once we die. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's up. Maybe it's a... Uh, Like, a brick doesn't get to know why the house was built. Even when it gets destroyed, yeah. it just turns into dust. You don't sit down each individual brick and go, listen, we built this house because I needed somewhere to go when it rained, when yeah. it was cold. It's like, no, you're a brick. A part of me is like, oh, man. We like to think that, like, well, we'll figure out when we die what, what this is all about. It's like, what if we're just bricks that, like, there is something going on, but, like, we'll just never get told. We'll just turn into space dust. Space dust. 
Yeah, I don't know. Did you just I'm, take all of your coats out just to put them back in? Uh, I had to put the tree in the back of the closet, and it's ah. hard to push through all these coats. I think, think I've, I have too many I coats? think I've seen you wear every one of those coats. Do you think I have too many coats? Uh, well, you saw, the last thing you saw laid down there was my presidential campaign suit. Right. And then that jean jacket there, I've seen you wear that. Yeah, that's my George Lucas jean jacket. Right. <clears throat> no, I think that's a fair amount of coats. I, feel, I always feel like I have too many. I, my, I feel the same way, but I, you can't, you feel weird getting rid of coats. I do feel real weird getting rid of coats. Um, and, oh no, I just broke a hanger on a vest that I never wear. I'm going to just keep the broken hanger in there. It's, it's good enough for this vest. Um, do you want to play a crocodile game? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Oh, Jason in Brooklyn says, Happy President's, President's Day. Day. I saw that. Hey, hey, Jason in Brooklyn, thank you for the President's Day greetings. Uh, I'm going to sit in the uh, computer chair there and we'll play this. Uh, How does this work? You'll see. Oh, this, is, this game is called, like, Toothache, right? Yeah, something like that. I don't know what that phone call is. But I'm Take it. I took a phone call. No. Could be something I don't want. Take it. Could be something I do not want. That's a, that's a strange reaction to phone calls. So you should let it go to message? Yeah. If it's for me, they'll leave a message. Huh. I have the same bottle opener button red. You have to post all this stuff to the blog. I will. You keep sending me stuff and saying post this on the blog, but you have the same credentials to get into it as now I, I do. do. But I, I'll, I'll do it. So basically, we take turns. Uh, this is a big crocodile that has little teeth. Right. We take turns pressing the teeth down, and it will bite down on one of our hands. What is the name? I remember the commercial for this. It's called Croc Dentist or something like that. Crocodile Dentist. And that's not the name of it. It's got some name that's like Achy Alligator or something. I don't know. Toothache, toothache Reptile. It's probably more like Crocodile Dentist. Okay. All right, so. Oh, man. Oh, you just got yeah, I Crocodile, crocodile dentist. dentist. Yeah, you basically just press on the teeth of this crocodile. So it, we've got a big crocodile with a plastic, big cro plastic crocodile with its mouth open, and there's teeth in the mouth that are all buttons. Yeah. And one of them will cause the mouth to close, but you don't know which one. Yeah, and it is genuinely, like, nerve-wracking. Yeah, it is. You know, we should put tax on this and make it. <laughs> this is why people think <laughs> that's a good example of why people think that you're uh, not sensitive is because I started playing a child's game with you, and your first impulse was to put tax in it so that it would draw blood if we played. Oh God! Oh man, I lost again. I'm a much better crocodile dentist than you are. What's great is when you can go a number of plays. Man, <laughs> I am cursed at this. It's great when you can go a number of plays without uh, it biting down because the tension does really get. Oh no, this is going to be bad. Yeah, we, we're four down. Oh, I lost again. JD is a master of this game. All right, two. JD's going to th for the third go. Now it's. Oh, man. There's only four teeth left. Four teeth left, and I feel like it's going to be me again. 
Oh, God. I guarantee you, if I had... <laughs> How are you so lucky at this? Because I don't feel like this is a game of skill. I do feel like it's less likely to chomp on these front ones. Really? Yeah. It has not once chomped on a front one. Ah, I uh, just got crocodile on dentist. How'd that feel? It was uh, nerve-wracking. Yeah, this is a great game. I recommend... Go on eBay and find. Uh, let me look up Crocodile Dentist. You look see. up alligator, achy, alligator, achy tooth alligator. Achy tooth alligator. I'll look up both of them. Toothache. Toothache. Toothache ter tarantula. All right. Let's see. But I do recommend. It's a fun game to purchase. I'm going to look on eBay and see. Um, toothache Terry. What would it even be called? Crocodile. This is like uh, people were saying last time. When we couldn't think of the name of The Departed. Oh, yeah, and they were like, just... They're like screaming at the... Well... No, it's not Crocodile Toothache. Let me look at the game. I think it's an alligator something. You think this is an alligator? I never know the difference between a crocodile and an alligator. Crocodiles? Crocodile Dentist comes up on, on uh, one result. And what did you want? Alligator what? Like achy alligator or something? Nothing for it. The first thing that comes up is an article about snappy albino alligator gets acupuncture for its achy back. A grumpy alligator has been given alternative therapy to treat the overcurvature of his spine. Brazilian albino Bino was born with kyphosis, causing him to lose feeling in his legs and restricting his movement. Hmm. Little fellow was born in captivity and has been in the San Paulo Aquarium since 2007 but has not been able to make use of his private pool due to the condition. That's a 1% problem right there. The Alligator's Toothache is a 1962 children's picture book written and illustrated by Marguerite Dorian. It tells the tale of an alligator called Allie and his child-friendly experiences with painful tooth and a dentist surgery. Hmm. Oh, let's see what the reception was. This section is empty. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to say... That I mean, this isn't a gaming podcast per se, uh, but I want to encourage. Yeah, if you look it's up. It's called Crocodile Dentist, you're right. If you look up Crocodile Dentist game on eBay, you are going to find a ton of these, all really reasonably priced. You can get one for 84 cents, you can get one for $1.60, $1.79. I want to encourage. Everybody who likes this podcast to go to eBay and get some version of the Crocodile Dentist toy. Yeah. I'm going to encourage JD to order one for himself because yep. I own one here. <clears throat> you can get them in different colors. There's a blue one and a yellow one. So if you don't want a green crocodile. If you don't some, like realistic things. Some of them look angrier than others. Um, and it's a real fun game. This is a real reasonable bargain. Ooh, there's a pocket version. You can get on a keychain. It feels like part of the fun is that it's big and scary. Yeah, but if you could have an addition to that. Oh, no, I guess this is just a... Um, oh, is it a pocket version? Yeah, I don't know how the pocket version would work, and it's more expensive than getting the full version. Right. And the version here says that... Uh, I don't understand the description of the... When I look up the Loose Crocodile Dentist pocket game on a keychain, 
backpack toy, three inches tall. The condition says used, and in the details on the condition it says minor playwear scuffs, and then it says pack pack dongle. Huh. Does that mean anything to you? I don't. One word, pack pack. Pack pack. Pack pack dongle. I'm going to Google the phrase pack pack dongle. Um, it, it means nothing to me. Um, pack pack dongle. Were you a big board game family? Not a big one, but I do like them. How, do you play uh, like designer board games, like grown-up board games? I like I always like Monopoly. You know, Monopoly is like considered one of the worst board games. By who? Board game enthusiasts. Yes, because from a game theory perspective, it's a very poorly conceived game. There's actually that's what I liked about it. Jeff, have you ever listened to Jeff Rubin's podcast? I have. Yeah. He has a great podcast. Yeah. He had um. Uh, game design professor and to talk about Monopoly and how bad of a game it was. Mm-hmm. And the current version of it, it took away a bunch of rules that actually made it a good game in the past. Mm-hmm. So like the current version that we all play is just like such a boring game that in the first 20 minutes you sort of know who wins but then it takes like three hours for it to happen. I think, you know, I think what I like about it is in part that, because I do feel like that's kind of like how life is. Oh, kind of. Um, You're getting a lot of calls here now. It was a dental appointment confirmation. No. I'm glad I didn't pick up. Yeah. Let's play another game of Crocodile Dentist and I'll put it away. Yes. Keep talking. What were you saying? Um, I, oh. The table now you know had. what it feels like. JD had one of those early uh, defeats like me. A uh, couple things I want to point out is in this closet that I now have all squared away, I have three... Things of Mono- I have Monopoly, Star Wars Monopoly. Okay. I have a, I think a chess set that I haven't used really. And then I have uh, Beatles Monopoly that I bought recently that is unopened. And Classic Monopoly um, that is also unopened. And Uno as well. The reason I bought Classic Monopoly, I bought it fairly recently. I bought it the second they got, they replaced um, the iron with the kitty cat. Well, so you mean they... Tricked me. They beat you. They very definitely did beat me. The second they were like, we're getting rid of the iron and we're replacing it with a kitty cat, I was like, I'm buying it because I don't want to want that kitty cat. And we can play Monopoly later. I, I don't like Monopoly. All right. I'm saying we could. We could. Yeah, this is a podcast that could accommodate an actual... It could. Spot. Or a game of risk. Yeah, that's true. Um... I I feel like the thing that happens in Monopoly is one of those things that also happens in life a lot, which is that you find yourself like, oh, I was never in it. <laughs> you find yourselves like, oh, I've made a couple of choices that have had long-lasting repercussions, and they happen so early on that I'm not even saying this is a negative thing. I'm not being like, poor me about my life. Yeah. But I'm saying like sometimes it's like, Listen to any Bruce Springsteen song, and there's that thing of like, I got a girl pregnant, I'm down at the car wash all day, you know, and it's just like, oh yeah, some people like, so they make a decision. Their lives on, are just that, yeah. And that's their life, and I feel like I like that in Monopoly, sometimes it's like, oh man, you landed in the right place, you bought, uh, put two hotels on that, and you've just been, like, we're just watching the, uh... 
we're watching the the inevitable results. It's like kind of a fatalist game in some ways. Yeah, I think I'm at the point in life where I'm trying to put up hotels quickly. Yeah. Um, but I'm also not a big um, like I could never get into like I have a real appreciation for people who get into big like Dungeons and Dragons type games, games that require a lot of yeah effort. I just to me. I could never get into those things. Like when I like the, when there was the episode of the Gather Show where we played that big board game. Yeah, it drove me crazy trying to figure that out beforehand because I was like, this certain kinds. It's like I don't like crossword puzzles. I don't like. I used to do stuff like that when I was a kid, and I reached a point. As soon as I reached a point where I feel like my life had problems, like actual problems. Yeah. I was like, I don't need to sit here figuring out what word you're trying to make me guess. I could use that energy to try to sort my own problems out. Like, I use it as an escape. It's not an escape for me. To me, it's like, hey, do you have problems in your life? How about some made-up problems that don't have anything to do with nothing? When you solve them, they earn you nothing. I've been having a lot of like anxiety issues lately. Not like basically, like I'll have moments where like I start to sort of like lose it because I have too many things going on. I yeah. Get, Overwhelmed, and then I, my brain starts to spiral, and then there's physical effects from that as well. Yeah. And my the only way in the moment to stop myself from spinning out of control, it's one of my coping mechanisms is to do complicated math problems. Yeah. It's like just do like in my head, like complicated math or very simple math, and just expand it. So like, one thing I'll do is like, okay, two plus two is four. 4 plus 4 is 8. 8 plus yeah. 6 is 16. 16 32. 32 32 is 64. 64 is 64. 128. 128 plus 128. 256. 256. Like, just because there's, like, enough, car- like, numbers, my brain has to, like, take longer processing time to, like, do each one. Mm-hmm. And then I can, like, escape from the world momentarily. Hearing and it, like, you, settles me. Hearing you describe that, I feel like if my brain started to try to make me do that, my first, res- the rest of me would rebel. If my brain tried to make me do that, the rest of me would be like, let's go to sleep. Let's go to sleep. And then if an angel woke me and said, you can either wake up again and do math or never wake up again. I'd be like, don't wake me up, Angel. But I choose... I think I would rather die than live that in my head. But see, my brain doesn't make me do that. I choose to do that as an escape from my stress Oh, in the moment. Yeah. I, I understand it, but I couldn't relate to that at all. To me, what you just described, if I didn't know you... And you started saying what you just said. I would assume you'd broken. Like when you started just saying numbers to me, I would. If someone had said to me, "Here's a robot, uh, it behaves like a person," and we talked all morning, and then you started doing that, I'd be like, "I need the technician because <laughs> the robot just broke." But I do it because my brain has broken, and that's my way to fix it. Oh like, God! Because my brain breaks because I have too many things going on. I get stressed out, and I'm like. I have to take a phone call while I'm walking to a meeting for another thing that has to ha- overlap with another meeting, and then I start. Like right now, I'm feeling myself being stressed, so now I have to just. What are you stressed about right now? I don't want to talk about it. I have too many things. Are going these on. these phone calls stressing yeah, you? I have so many things going on right now, Connor. But not today, though. You can't. 
worry about this. No, but it's the, that's the thing. It's the future stuff. In the moment, I'm fine. It's yeah. I hate thinking about the I hate thinking about the ten things I have to do. Yeah, I don't like that so either. I mean, two fifty six was two fifty six. Yeah, I would immediately be looking for like where you have like a little hole that I'm supposed to like put like a paper clip into to reboot you. Six twenty four. Yeah. Um, Twelve forty eight. God, I hate math so much. I wish I was good at it. Um, I remember, you know, it's weird when you when I was in high school, and this is just part of the culture. I don't even know if this is weird or, but I got to a point with higher math where I was just like, you'd find people. That you could be like, did you do the homework? Can I copy your homework? And, you, and I would just copy people's homework. Sure. And I remember being in a class at one point where I was in like trigonometry or something, and getting to the point where we had to do a, a quiz in class, and I didn't know how to do any of it. And I remember thinking like, what do I do? How how hard do I need to commit to fake yeah. getting sick? Because I'm like, I got to commit so hard to doing this because it'll be. The first logical thing is that he's faking getting sick. So I'm like, I gotta fake sick to the point where it bypasses the natural skepticism of an adult teacher. That it's like, oh, it's quiz time and you're you're you have to leave because you're so sick. Right. So I'm like, I gotta do it to the point where there's no doubt. And I always remember I remember like trying to run the odds in my head about like, could I fake a seizure? And I'm thinking like, I gotta not overplay my hand here because if I fake too much, I just end up in the hospital and I end up having them do tests on me. I'm like, at a certain point, and I remember just being like, I guess I'm just going to do bad on this test. But I was really running all the options of like, I know, I know that I can fake a seizure. Like I know, I always have that in my back pocket. I always have it in my back pocket that I think my level of uh, performance experience my level of uh, how far I'm willing to commit physically to do like things that I've done in improv shows and things like that. I know that like, given the right circumstance, if I need to, I can fake a seizure. But I'm also highly aware that you can't play that card unless you really need to because I could have a real seizure at some point. I could have some sort of weird yeah. stroke or something. And I don't want people to think like, Connor's known for faking it. Um, also just... Whether or not the future was a thing, just in the present, you don't want to fake a seizure and then have people Concerned. realize that you are faking a seizure because that's just a weird yeah. person thing. For you to be a person that, in the face of some sort of stress, would fake a seizure is like such a, like, what are you doing? Why I, are you doing this? No, I mean, I've thought of it in terms of, I've been in situations where I thought I was going to get mugged again. Right. Where I've, and, I'm, and I've been like, okay, one of the things I may do is fake a seizure because there's weird things that like criminals don't like dealing with. Yeah. And I feel like two guys are going to mug somebody and he starts having a seizure. I feel like they're like, fuck it, we'll mug someone else. Yeah. Like this guy's having a seizure. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And, uh, but I also know like, I don't want to do it in a context where I have people actually concerned for me. Right. Yeah. If you ever see me and it looks like I'm having a seizure and it doesn't seem like I'm in surrounded by people who mean me harm or something, treat it like a real seizure. I'll just say this. Even if there are people around you that seem like they're going to cause you harm, let's just so take care of Connor regardless. Assume, always assume it's a real seizure. Uh, I'm just going to, yeah, we'll make that assumption. But... Yeah, I would find myself in 
See, because I was typically, I would oscillate back and forth because I had too many activities that I was a part of as a high school student. Mm -hmm. And so I'd frequently just not have time to study or do homework. But when I did, I knew it all. So I would be a person that people would be like, did you do the homework? Can I see it? Yeah. And then they'd come to me sometimes and be like, did you do the homework? Can I see it? And I'd be like, nope, didn't have time to do it. And once or twice I got caught not realizing. Because I was track team, ran the video yearbook club, yeah. did uh, intramural basketball, and uh, had a radio show. And then what was the name of your radio show? The Chronicles of Unusuality. Good. It was a, um, uh, a radio drama show. Do you have episodes? Did I ever tell you the story of that? No. Um, it was because I went to a very large school in a very you know, wealthy part of the north suburbs of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which a lot of used to be people from. And so the, the, this was a public school, but it had tons of funding. Yeah. So we had a radio station on the whatever the fifth floor, whatever, sixth floor of our, our school yeah. that broadcast out to the whole area. Yeah. And so to have a radio show was like a big deal because it's like a lot of kids would like turn on the radio station they're driving around at night and like you'd listen to the high school radio. Yeah. So it would be on at night, you know, it was a thing people listened to. That's cool. So when I was a kid, I was friends with a lot of like, I would myself was not a troublemaker, but my friends were. Mm-hmm. And I also liked to do things that were troublesome, but I never got in trouble for it because yeah. I was, as I said before, like, teacher saw me as a very sensitive, mm-hmm. controlled person. Yeah. But all of my friends, and we always did things that got us in trouble, but I would always be the one who wouldn't get in trouble or I'd be able to get all of us out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that I was there meant that it was not trouble that we were doing it. Like, yeah. Um, so my friend Arlen, who was, he's like, a unique character in the sense that he would like, there's just, he's a guy that I tell legends about, I feel like, just because like, he was such a unique, interesting guy, but who was also like, so just like, he almost reminded me of like, you have an album of the Big Lebowski, he he reminded me of the dude in the sense that he was this kid who ever since I knew him just sort of did whatever he wanted exactly how he did and would sort of like go from situation to situation just like with this like, casual confidence that probably wasn't earned that people would be like what, how can you be so what, how are you approaching this situation without any sort of care or need like I don't know I just want to do this like I remember one time we went to his house well also I mean there's so many stories about this kid he once we made movies together because we met because uh, you know in, we went to first through fourth grade in one yeah. school and then four schools combined for fifth and sixth. And then we went to a different school for seventh and eighth. So once we went to fifth grade, uh, our schools combined, me and my friend Mike Hart met Arlen and his friend Gus mm-hmm. and Brian Gersten, who they all made movies themselves. And so we became the people that all made movies together. And Arlen once tried to do a movie where he got shot. So to fake it, he taped... Oh, yeah, that's... Thank you. Uh, he taped fireworks to his chest. Oh, God. But to block it from burning through, you know, he put tinfoil behind it, you know, because metal will stop fire. And so immediately he lights it, 
and his shirt just catches on fire. He goes, oh, oh no, oh no. And they had no water or anything. Like nothing. Yeah. No. So there's footage of him on fire. And then luckily there was water nearby from the Christmas tree. Yeah. But there was complete coincidence that they put him out with. Then one time I said... Uh, Do you have that footage? Yes, somewhere. Can we put it on the Tumblr? I don't have it. Arlen right. probably has it somewhere. Oh. Uh, do you have any of your radio dramas? I wonder if... On cassette at home, maybe. In, like, Chicago. In Chicago. Um, let me ask you, just as a side detour yeah. while I'm thinking of it. Do you have an easy way of transferring a very brief amount of VHS footage onto some digital format? Yeah. I want to give you a thing. Ask me about it in a minute. Okay. Um... <clears throat> So like another another yeah, another story Arlen. that sum, summarizes Arlen is my friend Mike I guess wasn't allowed to go to Arlen's house unless I was there also mm-hmm. just Why not? Be, because his mom because thought was, that Arlen was out of control. So that, you were a balance. You were like a responsible exactly chaperone. Even though Arlen was actually relatively responsible, he would just chose to do things. So we're at his house. No parents are home. Anyone, and we're up at his room that had a little balcony balcony. And, as we're sitting there, he's eating Chips Ahoy's cookies. We're like talking about something. We're talking about trauma movies or something. And as he just talks, he just casually walks outside while talking. And a, car, a convertible uh, with like three teenage girls stops in front of his house with the top down. Mm-hmm. So as Arlen's talking, just casually asks, he takes it and starts flinging them out off the balcony into the car of these people that is like, you know, uh-huh. down on the street. Yeah. And then the girl starts screaming, and there's, like, cookie all over the car. And he's just talking, <laughs> flinging cookies. He walks back inside. And we're like, why'd you do that? And he's like, I don't know. I wanted to do it. <laughs> and then the girls are, like, furious. And so they come up to the house and ring the doorbell. And his doorbell had an intercom. It wasn't, like, a doorbell. It was, like, intercom. that you'd be like, hello? And, like, so they ring the doorbell. And they're like, excuse me, someone just, and he's like, hello? And, like, someone just, like, threw cookies at us from this house. I think it was your son or someone. It's like, oh, and he goes, he goes, who cares? And they're like, we want to talk to someone. Like, you, like, like messed up our car. And he just goes, the door's open. And they go, okay. And they just walk into the house. So now there's these, like, teenage girls. And at that time, we're, like, you know, like, 13 or whatever. And these are, like, 18-year-olds or something. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, like, hello, hello. And then we walk downstairs, and Arlen's, like, wearing a big, like, like evil dead t-shirt down to his knees and like ripped jeans and he's got like long dark hair and he's like what do you want why are you in my house and they're like what where's your dad and he's like he's like not here and then his his mom passed away when he was young of cancer yeah and i just remember this was so funny to me at the time because he'd do this constantly he goes where where's your parents he goes my dad's my dad's at work he goes where's your mom he goes dead and the girls immediately were like dis- disarmed by it. Yeah. He just stared at them. And then they're like, well, you know, we should call the police on you. And he goes, why? And they're like, because you, you threw those cookies. And he goes, you're going to call the police on me for throwing cookies? You're going to call the police for throwing cookies at me? <laughs> and the girls were like, well, you could have ruined our car. And he's like, for cookies, for throwing cookies. And so then he just takes chips or hoys starts handing them to them and going, throw cookies at me. We'll be even. Throw these cookies at me. And they're like, we don't want to. And he goes, fine. So he just starts throwing cookies at himself as they talk. And they're just like, what is, like they didn't know what to do. So they just are like, well, we're going to, as they back out of his house yeah. and then get in their convertible and drive away. And it was like just this like thing. It was like, I would have never gotten myself in that situation. Yeah. Nor would I have been able to get myself out of that situation in quite the same way. Yeah. And he just like, that was the type of thing that he would just do constantly. 
Yeah. And so our sophomore year, me, Arlen, and our friend Brian got a radio show. And you had to, you had to take a class at school mm-hmm. to get certification to be on the radio station that yeah. required all these tests. And then you had to apply. It's a big thing. Yeah. It's like we getting got, a public access show. Exactly. And it was like a thing where we got, it was like a 3 p.m. on Wednesdays or something. We got a show. Or no, it was 6 p.m. on like Thursdays. So it was like right after, or not, or th- 3.30, right after school. I was thinking of work hours. Yeah. 3.30, right after school. And so we go after school, just do our radio show. There were very few rules, but, like, number one is, like, uh, you couldn't sing over the songs, with the songs. Apparently, too many people did that, and it was annoying. So it was a rule. You couldn't do that. Um, and then there was, like, like behavior conduct things for what you couldn't, couldn't do. You couldn't swear, da 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 So we have our show, which is just us playing music and, like, talking. And it was, like, really dumb and, like, whatever. Uh-huh. And already a lot of this staff doesn't sort of like Arlen because he always sort of causes mayhem wherever he goes. And so we start playing Bohemian Rhapsody. And, of course, we turn our mics on and start singing along to Bohemian Rhapsody. Immediately, the woman who's in charge of the whole radio station, the phone starts lighting up. And Arlen picks it up and he's like, hello? And we hear it's this woman. I think her name was Miss Lynn. And she was like, she's like, you have to stop right now. Like, that's one rule, da-da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. And then he just goes, uh, and just hangs up on her. And we were like, who is that? And he goes, I think that was Miss Lynn. And we are like, you just hung up on her? And he goes, yeah, she seemed really pissed, though. Um, so the phone rings again, picks up. And he goes, hello? And then hangs up immediately. He goes, it was her again. And we're like, did you just hang up on her again? And he goes, yeah, she was screaming this time. And we're like, you can't just hang up. Yeah. The phone rings again. I was like, Arlen, you don't pick it up. Brian, pick it up. Friend Brian picks it up, looks at us, and then just puts it back down immediately. Uh-huh. So now we've hung up on her three times. And then it rings one more time. Brian picks up, listens to it, hangs up immediately and looks at it. And he goes, he goes she's screaming that she's going to come up there and we're going to get in trouble. And we go, uh, uh. So in this system, you could play th- things off the computer. And then there was a sound effects machine. Mm-hmm. The sound effects machine, you could loop things. You couldn't loop on anything else. Mm-hmm. So we decide that we're going to loop something and leave. So when she comes up, there's no one up here. I don't know what the logic was. Hey, we were just like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. But we can't. We got to get out of here. here. If we're here and she comes up, we will get in trouble. But if we are not <laughs> here, we've bought ourselves some time. Yeah. But we also realized that we'll get kicked off if we just leave dead air. Yeah. So we decide to loop something in the sound effects machine. There's no music on it. The only thing close to music was the 30-second long Bobby's World animated theme song. So we just go, great. We put that on loop, gather all of our stuff, and start tearing down the stairs. Because also it's like six stories down. So we'd have to get out before she gets in. You have to get out before she gets to the bottom story. Exactly. So we start sprinting the stairs as like the Bobby's World theme, which is like this like weird, eerie, bizarre theme. I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring it up. Starts playing. It's going to be nostalgic for me to hear that because the last time I think I heard it was looping as we sprinted out of this place. Play this in the background while you tell the story. Yeah. So Bobby's World's playing. She tears upstairs. We're out in the car. And this is, you know, uh, I want to say like 2003, I guess. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's it. Oh, my gosh. So this is just looping on the radio at this point. <laughs> so apparently there's calls coming in of like, stop playing this. Like, what is this? <laughs> Like, why are you guys doing this? Like, like immediately, like, like it's so madcap. Cause it's like 3 p.m. on a Thursday, so 
people driving throughout the community are listening to just this on a loop and they're like, what is this? And it just doesn't stop. It's one minute long. Yes, and it, so it just keeps looping forever. So we get down into Arlen's car and all of a sudden I realize, oh no. It's 2004, all of that music is on CDs. And I left all of my CDs upstairs in my like CD sleeve. And I was like, and this is music that I love. So I remember being like, I have to go back and get my CDs. So I like creep upstairs and I see Miss Lynn in the station like turning off Bobby's one, putting on like a yes song to cover up the like 10 minutes of dead air. And so as she's there, I like creep in and I like try to grab my CDs silently without her noticing. Yeah. And she darts over and is like, looks at me and she's like, oh, you guys are in trouble. See me tomorrow in my office. Are you playing yes now? Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to make the audio match up. She's like, tomorrow, breakfast club, my office. Uh, in our school, our school is the school that the movie Breakfast Club was based off of. Really? We didn't have detention because detention was after school and too many kids had extracurricular activities. So we had Breakfast Club, which was you did detention before school. So you came in early and did time then. But I also took early bird classes because I needed my free period to do the like, I was a captain of the track team, so I had to do like leadership stuff during that. Yeah. So I couldn't come after school or before school because I took early bird chemistry. So yeah. then I had to come during my lunch hour to her office. So that morning, Arlen and Brian had to go into her office and get screamed at by her. And they were officially banned forever from, radio, from the radio station. Yeah. I go in at my lunch hour and she starts doing the same speech. And I was like, listen, it just so that, you know, got it ahead. Da, da, da. And because like I was the good, I started talking about like, you know, I really love the radio thing and I really want to be a part of it. And like, you know, not with Arlen and Brian. And she's like, good, because they're banned. Ooh. And I was like, well, me and my best friend, Mike Hart, who me, me and Mike Hart yeah. met each other in first grade and were friends ever yeah. since, who she knew from the radio class, because in that radio class, you had to make a presentation. We made a movie that was really good. All sorts Because me and Mike made movies, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I go, me and my friend Mike actually want to do a show called The Chronicles of Unusuality that'll be radio dramas. And each week... We'll play a radio drama and also perform our own. Uh -huh. And she goes, wow, that would be really great. We'd love to have that. Don't bother applying. I'll make sure you have a slot next season. So I went from being officially banned. Your meeting where you were supposed to get banned ended up being a successful pitch meeting. Yes, where I got a show. I didn't have to, we didn't have to apply the next season. We just got the show. And then our show, The Chronicles of Unusuality, which was, I think... Um, 9 p.m. on Thursdays. Yeah. We got uh, like a long slot, a late night slot, which was like s sought after. Yeah. Um, and we got that slot consistently, and then we won awards for it from that thing. And we would just go in there, and I would play an episode that I'd get from the library of like, you know, Arch Obler's plays. And then we would do, but during the commercial breaks, we would cut and it would come back to some sort of story that Mike and I were playing out. Yeah. And that was my first actual, that was my first involvement with improv because me and Mike, you know, we grew up playing Star Wars, which is improvising scenarios, you yeah. know? So we already had this understanding of like, yes and, you have to say yes to the thing. We didn't know it, but we were doing yes and, right? Yeah. So I would write these elaborate scripts of like time travel things like that. 
Yeah. But then Mike would always do this thing that would crack us up that was so funny and I would get so mad but it was hilarious. Is that like, I'd be like, I'd be like, we have to go back into the time right now to fix the, the we had a, a device called the Unusualitron which would, we'd use it to travel through time and space and that was mm-hmm. like our show focused around the unusual, Unusualitron. Yeah. And I was like, we have to go back to the Unusualitron. Like, like, Mike, like, jump in the seat with me. All right, we're going back to like, 1822 and da 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 da. And I'd be like, we're going in three, two. And Mike would be like, wait, I've got to jump out. You go alone. And then I'd be like, what? And he'd be like, you're going alone. Oh, there he goes. And then like, he would change the script in the middle of it or like do something. Yeah. Where he'd be like, he'd like shoot me or do something where it'd be like, God, like now we have to make this a part of it that like, yeah. I'm alone now or like, I got <laughs> shot or that like, like we accidentally brought back a butterfly and now you have wings or something. Yeah. Uh, and he would constantly do that and became this thing where we just like Im- have to improvise around it. Oh, that's fun. And it was super fun. You got to find an episode of that and put it online. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, we, did, now it, Arlen and who was your other friend who got in trouble? Brian. Arlen and Brian. How did they feel when they got banned and you got a show? Were they cool with it or were they at well, all? Did I they think feel the, betrayed at all? No, I think that was sort of part... I mean, I think they were like, that's, that's bullshit. But I think it was also part for the course for the type of person I was in terms of... Yeah. Like, of course, JD would turn this into getting a show. But they didn't feel like you sold them out and you uh, you enjoyed their madcap antics, but then you made a career move to uh, get your own show and they got banned from No, especially show. because they had their meeting in the morning. Yeah. So it's not like, it was like, they're already banned. Yeah. There's no way they're coming back. They understood. I... Yeah, and they laughed about it. And then, like, we had Brian was on the Chronicles of That's Individuality. That's good. Cause, well, because I can imagine when I hear that, I can imagine it's good that you at least had a dynamic where the friendships understood what everyone's uh, personality types were. And because di- I, I can imagine that being like a friendship destroying scenario. And cert- like, well, also keep in mind that Arlen and Brian were the ones that spearheaded the things that got us kicked out in yeah. that moment. And so, like, I was also party to their chaos. Yeah. Um, Arlen especially. Like, Arlen was for sure banned. Brian was mostly banned. And I was, like, on the fence. Yeah. Brian, I think, ended up getting a show later. Arlen was forever just banned from even walking into the studio just because, like, that was Arlen's reputation. Yeah. He was the ben- the, the Bender, the uh, John Bender. Um, when I was... Uh, sort of, I guess, my first experience doing an improv thing, uh, when I was in high school... Uh, my best friend Jeff Falzone, uh, he got a video camera like for Christmas one year. Right. And we decided we were going to start making movies. Yeah. And But we didn't have any way of editing movies, so it was all in camera. Right. That was me and Mike. We yeah. did the same thing. And so Jefferson City, where we grew up, was the state capital. So we would, use a, we would use the capital building as like free production value. Yep. And like the governor's gardens, which were public. We, would, we filmed our first movie, which we called It's No Joke. That was the name of our first movie. I want to compare notes on all these movies we make because I bet we learned, used the same tricks and did the same things. Well, there was a point where uh, we made that movie and it was only years later. Years later, I was like, why did we call that movie It's No Joke? It made no sense. The plot made no sense. It had a plot, but it had... Uh, it was like... Years later, I realized that we'd been driving around that day in my car and I was playing a cassette of the White Album... And what was the, um, the song that was playing was, uh, I'm so tired. And there's the part in the, in the chorus of that where he goes, uh, you say, 
You're doing me wrong, but it's a no joke. It's doing me wrong. And it was years later when I was listening to that song, I realized, like, oh, we called our first movie It's No Joke. And it was probably just implanted in one of our heads from driving around listening to the White Album. Yeah. Because it had no relation to the plot of the movie. Right. But we made this film, and the first film, when we would watch it later on, it was like long single takes. We didn't know how to cut, so every take ended with uh, we'd hit fade. And it would fade to black. Hilarious. And so the, but while we were making that first movie, there was a point where we screwed up. Someone like laughed or something while we were filming a right. scene. And we paused. We stopped the take and they were like, well, what are we going to do? We're going to have to film the whole scene again. And then I was like, let me try something. And I rewound on the tape to where I thought there was a pause. I said, let me, there was a part where like, it was a guy talking to two henchmen. Yeah. And like, what did you do with him? And the guy said, uh, uh, you know, boss, we waxed him. And there was a pause after that, and I think then everybody laughed or something. And I, had, I, said, I said, I'm going to say one, two, three, and then on four, on a silent four, I'm going to press record, and then you, you start the scene from there. Yeah. And we did it, started the scene, and Jeff goes, you waxed him? And when we watched it later, we must have watched this edit. Ten times in a row. We were, like, so delighted that it looked like we'd edited a scene, yeah. cutting to a new angle. So then we started gradually figuring out how to... We had a little handheld, uh, uh, like, a dictaphone that we would... Yeah. Record, I would play soundtrack music and hold it away from the camera so we could score yeah. scenes while we filmed them. And we'd figure out, like, oh, we're holding it too close to the mic. We've got to hold it away. And over the course of the first few films, we started to realize how we could do certain things. We got pretty good at like finding the edit point and cutting to a new thing. And usually the way we would film scenes is we try to go as long as we could to do it in one take. Right. But if we made a mistake, we'd just stop and go back and find a place to pick up. And we made a bunch of little movies. And a lot of times it was three of us making movies. So the plots of our movies tended to involve a betrayal where there'd be like a good guy and a bad guy. And there'd be like a... Yeah a henchman or a friend of one of them who would either betray the good guy by going and exactly going to the bad guy or the, or he would there'd be a bad guy's henchman who would betray the bad basically like the like as we said the plot of most James Bond movies involves uh, uh, the he- female henchman betraying the bad the main bad guy because she loves James Bond we'd have a lot of things where it would be like the bad guy's henchman would change sides and betray the villain or yeah. something but then the best thing we did was we made a TV series um, that uh, we made ten episodes of it. This is before this is before the cable model of limited yeah. series, but I guess the British. It was more based on a British TV show model, just out of necessity. We did a six episode first season, and then a four episode season to wrap up the series. Right, um, and then we did that senior year of high school, and then. When we came back on Breaking College, we made a movie that further tied up the series. Hilarious. And uh, it was basically a, we call it a sitcom, but it was more, it was like had a dramatic structure, which was Jeff played uh, a divorced father. I was his teenage son. And uh, what we discovered through improvising the first episode was that Jeff was an alcoholic who had caused his wife to leave the marriage and now he was left raising the teenage son. Yeah. And that the his ex-wife, Cassandra, 
was like a was like a career woman who was very accomplished and what your childhood movies are like these weird adult dramas. It wasn't adult drama, and I was a I was a gifted teenager, but I had all these abandonment issues. Hilarious. And Jeff, uh, we uh, Jeff's character was this guy named Jack who. He was talking about how he needed a new job, and he, had, he was going to have an interview with the police department. He was going to become a cop. And then while we were improvising this scene, he's like, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't been doing so good at work lately. And he pulled out like this plastic, like a milk carton type thing, but it was of like fruit punch. And Jeff pulled it out of the fridge, and he goes, uh, you want some Monticello? And we started laughing, so that was like an edit point. And it immediately became like, Dad, that's the problem. You've been drinking too much of that stuff. So the plot line became that he was an alcoholic who his pref- his drink of choice was like this low-grade, like cheap bootleg alcohol called right. Monticello that was served in these plastic jugs and that it was killing his brain cells. Jack's best friend was a guy named Mike who ran Mike's Bars, which was a successful franchise of local bars. Sure. You know, all those bar franchises. Yeah. And uh, and Mike was a guy who was clearly, over the course of the series, he starts off as Jack's best friend, but over the course of the series, it becomes clear that he's like the new father figure for my character, Kevin. Right. And the friendship between Mike and Jack starts to crumble as he starts to realize, like, you're doing this to your son, Jack. And they'd have all these big fight scenes. And there's a season finale. Uh, I'm going to... All of these episodes are online. But to listeners of the show, you will never find them. Unless I decide to make them public. And I won't... It'll be a while. I'll actually... I have a threshold for how much actual success I have to have before I would ever uh, reveal that these are online. Because at this point, it feels too personal... And two, uh, I don't know, it feels weird. Like, I feel like I would need to have an actual, like, show business yeah. career success moment before I'd be like, oh, yeah, and I did this, too. Because it's, there's a lot of stuff that's probably just weird, and it, it's, I'm so tied into it that I feel like if people saw it, it would just be strange to see me young and doing this weird show. Yeah. But... We had like a big cliffhanger. I don't. I, it's weird that I'm even. I'm not even going to say what happened in the cliffhanger because I don't want to spoil it. Even though I'm not telling people what the, where the show is, but I like knowing that this show exists. It's on YouTube, but there's no way to searchably find it. Right, that's um, so funny. Yeah, see, for me and my friend, we had basically a, uh, like a almost like a studio system battle that took place. Yeah, because basically, the best friends were Mike, Mike Hart. And Leo Bierenberg. Yeah. We met in first grade. We'd always hang out. My birthday parties were just always me, Mike, and Leo. Yeah. Like, that was mostly our brother, but it was us three together. Um, and we would make movies. Then Leo's family got a house in uh, Bayfield, Wisconsin. Let's go to the grocery store while, I, while we talk. Okay. Is that good? Yeah. I'm also hungry. Uh, I had this thought. I don't, uh, we, can, we can get some food, but I had this thought. Uh, if you want, I'll cook you dinner tonight. Okay. You want salmon croquettes or um, there's a pork chop meal I can make. Either of those good for you or no? Yeah, either of those are great. All right. Do you want to cook? Do you want to actually cook? Yeah, I don't cook for people really that often. And I feel like we, we have so much time in this, in this that we, I can buy the, the makings of this food. I can also cook salmon or something like that. But 
Whatever you would, whatever you like best. I guess salmon croquettes is salmon. I was thinking more salmon. I'll make salmon croquettes. Do you want to grab lunch somewhere though? Yeah, let's grab lunch and then and then we'll come back and then we'll do uh, great grocery shopping. But so we had like, a stu- so Leo moved to Bayfield, not moved. He uh-huh. had a, his family bought a house there, it was like a summer home or something. Yeah. And so, for a while, me and Mike would make all these movies, you know, just on our camcorder, live editing inside it. Yeah. And then Leo and Mike were both Apple families. They had Apple computers. And this was around the time that um, shareware and freeware, there was something called Mac Addict Magazine. Yeah. And they would send out uh, shareware CDs that had applications, things like that you could use. Yeah. And there was one that Leo got, or his dad bought like this application for this bizarre new thing called iMovie. Which was like a way to edit a thing, a yeah. movie. And it was like the first time that it ever happened on like personal computers. It was like, right. like you had to have like a monster of a computer to be able to do that. Yeah. Which Leo did. And so he was able to start editing movies. And so he started making movies while he was at his summer home, which Mike went and did. And I found that, betra- I, th- I thought that was a, a betrayal of our company, which was cheesy movies yeah and so then Mike came back and was like yeah Leo's gone crazy with all this stuff so we drew a line in the sand where cheesy movies and Bay- and Bayfeld pictures right became this different imprints different right yeah so then like one of our, our after then Mike as a result of Leo getting it yeah Mike got iMovie and suddenly oh. our whole world opened up yeah. Because now we didn't have to do like you did with the... Because yeah. we used to do all the live edits, and the live score. Now we didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, so then, in every one of our movies, we would make these sort of in, insider industry jabs at this circumstance. So the villain of all of our movies was named Bayfeld. So our big, our big release after that was Louisiana Jones. Yeah. Which yeah, it might have been similar to Spielberg's Indiana Jones, but you know, <laughs> I, no one can really say. And the the villain of that was Bayfeld. Yeah. And that that caused a whole thing of like, oh, really? You're going to make the villain Bayfeld? And then yeah. it became this 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 battle of who could release better. And they had movies, a series of films called X Kisses. X Kisses. Which, which was of X Kisses uh-huh. instead of X Men. It was X Kisses. Uh huh. Or it was their dogs. It was this was something penned by their younger sisters, <laughs> and it was their dogs as X Men. Yeah, I was a whole, but it like they would shoot lasers out of their eyes, which I was like, and what would they do? Is they'd freeze frame it. Yeah, and then bring it into kid pics or like you know yeah, and do animation on it. Not even it wasn't animation. It was just lines out of the eyes. So it'd be like the dog and like freeze and. Sound effect, and then go yeah. back to live action. I was That's like, a form of animation. right now, I was like, oh my god, yeah, we can do anything now. Yeah, the world's opened up, and that was the the big moment for us. Like before that, we had a movie, uh, uh, that took place. Mike played Steve from Blues Clues. Um, well, we should get batteries while we're out. Also, double A's. I got Um, Mike played Steve from Blues Clues, and there was someone murdering everyone oh, in that unit. That's fine. 
there was someone murdering everyone in that universe and you knew someone was about to be killed because the murderer would leave a stuffed animal that looked like the person they're about to kill. That's great. It was, a, it was very uh, compelling stuff. Um. I tried to throw these out that way, but it doesn't fit down the chute. Um, I tried to throw out the bags with the packing peanuts, but we'll have to do it downstairs. Um, the fake executive producer yeah. for my t- high school TV series that I made, um, we gave him a name, and we created this character, this persona. Because um, I also wrote a... I've written, I, we created this persona, this mogul, and we gave him this name, and then, oh, am I not working? Am I mic working? No, you are. Okay. You're just a little soft. Um, and I wrote a tie-in uh, uh, novella. I wrote a couple of books that were like, when we could no longer make our TV series, I would like write these little books that would continue the characters' stories. Right. And then, uh, and I would always write that these were being published by this mogul. Right. And then, years later, like in the last decade, like probably it was like in 2007 or 2008, I actually wrote um, a novel uh, that had nothing to do with the um, t- high school TV series that I made, but I wrote a novel. Right. And that I was going to try to get published. And I made this executive producer character, this mogul. I want to move your... Yeah, move my microphone. JD is just obsessed with my microphone right now. I just want you to sound great. I want to sound great, too. I'm worried that this time you got the good mic, and I got the bad mic. Well, maybe finally people will respect me. Maybe, finally. There we go. Um, so, when, but I made this mogul a character in my novel, and then I'm walking around New York City, and I notice a place... The name of the of the executive, the fake executive character that I made a character in this novel was Max Brenner. <laughs> and then I'm walking around and I see these chocolate shops that are Max Brenner. And I'm like, oh, the name's ruined. But I couldn't give him a new name because the character was like, I thought of this character as Max Brenner for over a decade. Right, you couldn't just change I it now. I couldn't just change the name. It would be like if I had a character that's Kermit the Frog and then all of a sudden found out that Kermit the Frog was the name of a businessman. Uh, I couldn't just change it. Right. Sorry, this person's trying to walk past. Um, that person was trying to walk past. Oh, I didn't past. even see that person. Um, the, uh, JD and I are now going out to lunch. We've left my apartment. Yeah. I can't tell if my level... He's obsessed my with My level sound might have been... Well, I, with 12 hours, I just want to make sure it sounds good at Oh, least. yeah. People liked the way the first episode sounded. Good. Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Yeah, you're always a little soft. I don't know why, because people say I'm too loud. I think it's just, you know, these are different... um, Microphones. Yeah, one's Sennheiser and one is uh, Sony. Bayfield. Um, Bayfield. Yeah, there's a big moment at the end of Louisiana (coughs) Jones where he goes, Bayfield. It wasn't Bayfield, which was the place. Bayfield. It was Bayfield, so it was subtle. Gotcha. Um... But I, I, um, 
Yeah, I wrote, I wrote a novel. Before, this is probably maybe a year before starting to do stuff at UCB. There's not a Chase Bank around here, though, is there? No, you're not in Manhattan. You're in Queens. Is that a Dwayne Reed, though? There's a Dwayne Reed. Well, then there's a Chase kiosk in there. All right. Um, every building in Manhattan is also a Chase Bank now. It's sort of true. Uh, the uh, Chase Bank, proud sponsors of 12 Hour Day with J.D. and Connor. Yes. They're, uh, per- they're going to provide me $40 for the making of this podcast. Um, I, wrote a, I wrote a novel called The Golden Energy of the Universe. <laughs> Was it a novel or a Bible? A novel. Golden energy of the universe? Yeah. What was the plot of it? I'm trying to remember because I basically wrote this novel. A few of my friends read it. I tried to get it published. I didn't have any luck. And I was like, all right. And I just sort of moved on. And I haven't looked at it since. And it's like one of those things where do you ever find like you do things and then for a while they're really important to you. Yeah. And then you they if they don't work out they become just learning experiences and not things that you're still trying to push or get made. Yes, for sure. Um, That's many things. <laughs> yeah. Like now when I think of it, I'm like, oh, that was a good experience writing that. But I'm also like glad it didn't get published. And I don't think of it like I only accidentally thought of it in talking with you today. Have you? Uh, when's the last time you've read it? Probably the year I wrote it. Uh and now the thought of revisiting it is exhausting. Like, I wouldn't even want anyone to read it now. Right. Uh, I know it had to do with, it had to do with, like, a, a guy who set up a religion or something, I think. I, I, I barely even remember. Even though I spent what age was it again? Writing. What? What age did you write it? Oh, man. Oh, no, your ATM is well, out of order. Um, we'll find you a chase name. Doesn't matter. Unless we go somewhere that's cash only. Um, let's go... Wait, there's a Chase Bank also. Let's go to that Chase Bank. Um, you snarkily say this is in Manhattan. <laughs> and there is one of the larger Chase Banks I've seen. <laughs> I never noticed it. Um, the... Where do you want to get lunch? What, what, age, what age was I when I wrote yes, it? Yes, what age were you when you wrote Early 30s. Oh, so it was like... Yeah, it was like a year before UCB. Before I, I was UCB imagining classes. that it was like something you wrote when you were like 14. No, I wrote it when I was probably like 30 or 31. Well, that's why I was making fun of it more than it wasn't. Uh, oh, so it might be good, actually. It might be, but it's irrelevant. It's just an experience I had now. I don't consider it. It's not even something that I would try to do anything with now. Right. Uh, but... Uh, like, if there are certain things you have in your head that you're like, oh, if I ever got the chance, I would pitch this idea. Right. It's not even in my, like, barrel of right. monkeys, you know? Like, if you ever met, like, a, a book agent... Thank you very much. If you ever met, like, a book agent, you would not be like... You'd be like, oh, let me think of some things I'd want to write. You wouldn't be like, well, I have the... Yeah, it feels exhausting. Like, even, like, polishing off, I feel like... With stuff that you write, I feel like, or with stuff that I've done, I feel like if if I were to revisit it, I would. It would be easier to just rewrite it from scratch. Yeah. Well, I was gonna go. I was gonna go to the. Yeah, let's go to Woodside Cafe. Okay. Um. Let's go here. And. Thank you. 
Um, I've I've been to this place before with uh, Gethard and with uh, Michael Kane. Okay. Does uh, Kane live around here? No, but there was a period where his um, his kids was going to school nearby here or something. Right. It was like convenient because there was a point where I got used to every now and then coming here, and then right. he was like, "Oh, he's going to a different school now. He'll never be in this neighborhood." Yeah. Um. Yeah. So here we are, JD and I are at the Woodside Cafe in Woodside, Queens. Woodside, Queens. I'm obsessed with the levels. It's like bothering me how obsessed I am with them. Yeah. But you weren't when we were in, it's only when we're, you weren't this obsessed with the levels when we were in my apartment. You were relaxing into it. And now you got your headphones on and you think I'm soft. Yeah, you just keep seeing, sounding softer than I am. Well, when I look at the sound visualized around your thing, it seems like the same level. Yeah, maybe it's just that I'm hearing my own voice also. Yeah. I don't care. I'm not going to think about it. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. Good, how are you? Hello. We have our menus, and we are ready to decide on food things. What's good here, Connor? I don't know. I always get, like, the Irish breakfast, and I think I'm going to do that. Um, I think I'm going to have the Irish sausage, beans, and chips. Yeah. Wait, where is that? On the left-hand side over there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to have that. And... That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to have an orange juice. My second orange juice of the day. Anything to drink? Can I have an orange juice? Sure, I just have a water. That'd be great. Thank I'll you. have a water as well, also. Um... Yeah, it's weird thinking about things that you do uh, when you're younger, even just a few years younger. And for me, if I'm working on something and it doesn't pan out, there comes a point where I'm like, that's expired. Yeah, Um, idea over. Yeah, especially if you got, I find if you got the experience out of it, like for me, writing a novel, the experience of writing it was satisfying, and then I had a few people whose opinions I respected read it and like it. But then I wasn't getting any traction on it becoming an actual book. Right. And then I was kind of like, all right, well, uh, I'm kind of done doing this. Like, I did it, and it was fun, and I felt like it was helpful for me. Um, and uh, and then I just moved on to other things. And then I, I now I think if, because I think it had funny things in it, but it wasn't exclusively like a comedy novel. I think if I was going to write something now, it would be more overtly funny. Yeah. Wait a few minutes. I'm good. I'm good too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How would you like that? Can I have the uh, Irish sausage, beans, and chips? Sure. What chips do you want? Uh, what's my? What are my options? This thick one, the thin one. I'll have thick ones. Thick one. What is Irish sausage? Um, it's just sausages. I mean. Just imported. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're they're good. Um, I can describe to you more the difference. You know what? I'll have Irish sausage, beans, and chips as well. You want the same thing? Okay. I'll have the same thing. Same price? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Might as well. I could tell you... Winter Woodside, huh? I could tell you more the difference if we were getting Irish bacon. Irish bacon is is closer to ham or Canadian bacon. Right. But thicker than Canadian bacon. It's a thick ham. 
it's when when Irish people try American bacon, they're like, this is a different thing. It would be like the difference between like a sirloin steak and like beef jerky. Right. Uh, that I, like because when they see like what we call bacon, they're like, this is bacon. This is like gristle. This is like this weird, yeah. um, weird thing. Can I see your lob for a second? Yeah. No, just the, uh, oh, just the, just the pack. Back, pack? I'm going to try one thing. Okay. Because I think your level is fine. But I can change it slightly. JD's just fiddling with my, uh, the, my microphone pack because he's convinced. And feel free to tweet at... 12 hour JD Connor on our Twitter um, to let us know what you think of the sound levels in this episode. If you think that, do I sound a little soft? Does JD sound too loud? Let us know because your feedback helps us make the show better. And I think, you know. Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. That's better. JD is satisfied with the levels now. Um, hashtag, it gets better. Uh, if you think that the sound gets better from this point on. Or maybe I've ruined it. Who knows? All right. Hashtag ruined it or hashtag it gets better. Um, if you think... Just time to weigh in yeah. on what you think of the sound levels of the podcast. What point are we at now? It's now 2.43. We started so at we started 11... At le- almost noon. Really? It was like 11.40, 11.45, I think. Okay. Um, so we'll probably end this at midnight. At midnight, yeah. Um, and that's what, 2.43 you said? Yeah. So we're, uh, are we, that's, we're closing in on a quarter through? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or no, a third, a third through. Almost. Right? So we're closing on 4 o'clock? No, closing on 3 o'clock. Yeah. Quarter, quarter through. Um, are you going to have, we just had malt vinegar and, uh, Chef sauce put on the table. Mm. I'm curious. I'm going to use neither of these. JD, are you going to use? I'll use neither. Also, probably. Now, out of if I were going to use those, would you also? Probably. You're really into mirroring my experience right now. I am because uh, I like going to places and experiencing what other people. Yeah. What their normal thing is. Yeah. Uh, Chef sauce is amusing to me. It's. because it seems so vague. It almost just seems like calling it food sauce. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's basically just a vinegar, an acidy vinegar kind of so sauce. There are two kinds of vinegar. Yeah. Um, the, uh, um, what I was going to say, I think we can go ahead and announce this, because a lot of people, we had good response to the first episode of this podcast. Yeah. And I think some people thought it was a one-time thing that we were just doing it for a joke the first time. Yeah. We've got a lot of people hoping that we were going to do more episodes. And so we're doing this episode today. And we've already got, we've already got a, a plan to do a third episode in March uh, that we're going to do live from South by Southwest, which I think is very exciting. That'll be fun. Just walk around we'll Austin. We'll be in a new city. Both of our... Probably so, no coats. Probably no coats. Our first coatless podcast... Maybe the first one where there's no sign of either rain or the results of snowfall. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be our first one outside of New York. Yeah. Um, exciting stuff. 
Now, um, I think we can go ahead and say uh, we went to a wedding last night. Yes. Uh, we were at the wedding of uh, Murph. Matthew Murph Meyer. Matthew Meyer. And Diana, and Diana Mikulski. Mikulski. Uh And it was a great wedding. And uh, for those of you who watched the Chris Gethard show, uh, you of course know who Murph and Diana are. Some of you will recognize Diana. Well, I think the any Gethard show viewer has seen the, the actual marriage proposal. Yeah. Um, and you may know uh, Diana as the audience member with the sleeping baby. Yep. Um, or as the, sacri- the sacrifice that I sacrificed to the god of uh, uh, the Johnny Carson bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was a really nice wedding. And we were there with a lot of friends. And it was also a wedding where, you know, I find that at that wedding last night, the wedding, they managed to do a wedding that really reflected their personalities. Yeah. And I realized, like, a lot of weddings that I've been to uh, have not reflected the personalities of my friends who were getting married or my relatives even. Yeah. Like, like, I've been to a lot of traditional weddings, of, or several anyway, where I'd go to Ireland, where most of my mom's family are from, and I've been to, like... I grew up thinking that everyone in my mom's family was like super Catholic devoted yeah. to the church. It wasn't until I got older that I realized a lot of them thought that the church in Ireland was run by gangsters and thieves. Right. But they would all have their weddings and their funerals at the local church. Like sure. they had these rituals there. But like, I feel like I've been to so many weddings where there's all this talk, this outmoded kind of sexist talk where it's right. like, you will honor and obey and these things that I'm like, thank you. These things Thank that you very much. Uh, make me feel like, oh, these people don't actually believe this. Why are they having this ceremony? Yeah. Why would they have a ceremony that says these things? Well, I know that they are modern people who live modern, enlightened lives. Right. Um, our food has arrived now. Yes, it has. Um, JD, what's your impression upon seeing it? Looks good. Yeah. I'm excited to eat this. Um, I find this very uh, comforting food in cold weather in the winter. I can see that. But I was very happy at that wedding last night that I felt like, oh, this wedding matches their personalities. Like, if you didn't know that, if you didn't know Murph and Diana and you just saw their wedding, you would know who they were. Right. And I feel like that's not true for a lot of weddings. You'd be like, a lot of what most weddings I've been to, I feel like what you get to know is, oh, I know what they think their family expects of them. Or I don't. I know what kind of weddings they've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. I know what their elderly relatives expect of them. Now we should describe the wedding a bit. Mm-hmm. The venue was in Brooklyn, in a shuffle. Well, the rehearsal dinner was in the basement of Union Hall. <laughs> which is a, a bar in Brooklyn. And then the ceremony itself was at a shuffleboard court in Brooklyn. So both were like very casual, no tables, assigned seating. The marriage ceremony itself was just a friend of ours doing a ceremony in the middle of a shuffleboard court as everyone stood around the arena and watched. It was very casual, very fun, and immediately just, there was maybe 10 lots minutes of, of ceremony. And lots of, of casual ceremony. Uh-huh. And then it was just a party immediately. Um, 
you know, the thing is, uh, when when you when you watch, I feel like weddings are often such solemn affairs, and there was so much laughter, like their vows to each other. I mean, if you even call them that, they 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 were. so funny yeah so human and they weren't a million miles away from like what they would just actually say to each other right it was meaningful because it was clearly not for the show of being heartfelt was actually just like yep yeah. this is the person I am yeah and uh, yeah and the food that was uh, available after there was like a, a food truck that was serving uh, various kinds of grilled cheese sandwiches yeah um, and then just pies no big cake ceremony. No, none it's of like two cool people whose wedding couldn't have better reflected what's cool about them. Yeah. Um, also, it was great because there were so many people that we knew that it really was. Like, sometimes you go to a wedding and you know the bride and groom, but you don't know a lot of the people that they know who would be at the wedding. And you go there and the two people you know are kind of busy. They're too busy for you because they're having their wedding. Right. And they kind of owe... Two percent of their attention to every person, right? And then you're kind of just stuck at this lonely, isolated thing, where you don't know anybody, and important things happening for people that are kind of too busy to deal with everybody. JD, do you ever imagine you'll get married? You know, here's the thing: is that like. I do envision myself wanting children mm -hmm. in an abstract. Yeah. But I cannot envision getting married or having children. Which is strange to me. Just cut to the chase. I mean, more practically. Yeah. I can't see that happening right now. Well, you're very young. Yeah, but number one, not that young. And number two... You just turned 18. It's not true. I just turned 26. That's old. It goes quick now. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the year where I transitioned from always, like, because for a long time in this community, I was always the young guy. And yeah. I was like, nope, no, I'm just a no, guy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I just can't see it practically happening. Yeah. Well. So in your image of yourself, you imagine there being. You're 45 and you have some kids. Yeah. But it's hard to imagine you're 34 and you have a wife. Exactly. You're trying to conceive a child. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think some of that could also be that because it involves something that you kind of can't plan for like you you can't really plan for like how you're gonna meet your wife or whatever you know what I mean right. like it's exactly. hard to Murph and Diana weren't making plans it just happened right so it's one of those things that like It's hard to envision because you genuinely like 
you can make plans for like, well, I want to go to this film school, and then I want to try to do this, and I want to send my packet around to these right. people. You know, like, it's harder to know the future on some personal things. It's hard to have those images in your head. Agreed. Mm. And I think I was fairly stunted in my relationships part of my life. Really? Yeah. In what way? I never even had, like, girlfriends or that, like, until college. Mm-hmm. Just because I was too focused on... You were driven. You were life. busy. Yeah, it was strange, but I feel like I've been going through in the past eight years. Like, the stages you do, but most people start when they're, like, ten. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you what my schedule was my senior year of high school? No. I planned ahead in high school. I thought of this because you were talking about how busy you were. In high school, you know, you, you can kind of plan your schedule. Right. Most people like space out their electives. Yeah. Take a couple every year. I planned ahead. So I got rid of I got through like all my required stuff right. so that by the time I got to my senior year I had the dream schedule of my schedule was first period I took a class called note taking it was literally how to do shorthand to take notes it was an elective this is a class in Jefferson class. City yeah Jeez. my second our class was keyboarding, basically a typing class. We learned how to type. My third class... These are two things you could already do. <laughs> yeah, sort of. You did not know how to use a keyboard. I was a hum and pet guy for prior to that. So it actually was useful. I did learn how to type. You know what I'm going to do? I always pull out the vinegar. Just to see what that's like, because I know people do that. Um, my third hour was choir. Really? My fourth hour was the school newspaper class, which was a class, but it was also like I was on the school paper. So it was basically like an after-school activity that was tied to a class. Right. My fifth period was a study period. I took a free period. So it was just study. I was just hanging out in the cafeteria with some other friends who had taken that. Sure. And then sixth period, I took the easiest of the physical education options, which was the the class where you played like badminton and shuffleboard and ping pong. You just played games, basically. So none of these classes, as you can assume, had any homework element at all. So literally, I had no homework. I would go pass through the day in no pressure classes. Right. Now, just had fun. Every day was just fun. It was like, it was just like I, I had so perfectly gamed the system where I basically like I had eaten all my vegetables to the point where it was just like all that was left was cotton candy. It was right. Just like all right, that's what I eat now. Um. And it felt so good. And I was aware of it, like, ah, oh, I'm never going to be able to replicate this in the real world. Yeah. I'm never going to get to a point where 
I have no responsibilities, no obligations. I just show up for this little period in this building, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that was not me. Not in high school, not in college. No, I was doing plays, and this was also when I was creating TV shows. Like, I was doing right. a lot of stuff. I just wasn't beholden to stuff that the school wanted me to do. I was doing comics and doing all sorts of creative stuff during that time. I just didn't right. have math and science homework. and I got my language requirement out of the way and all that other stuff. That's frustrating for me to hear that. Do you hear that? For me, it was number one. Some mornings I would get up extra early, like four or five a.m. to go on a run, an early run for cross country track. Mm -hmm. Then I had early bird chemistry. Uh huh. Then I had classes. I think I had, uh, you know, AP Calc, uh, AP Art, which was a whole studio thing where you had to be creating a big final project for submission to the AP committee. These are all advanced placement? Yeah. Um, AP English, uh, AP. Whatever. Uh, I got out of gym because I was on a varsity sport, but then instead of gym, I had to go to the student athletic leadership training because I was a captain of the track team. Mm. My other free period, I'd do homework, or then I'd, my senior year, my sister, I have a sister with a disability, they had her come to our high school because they had a very good program for kids with disabilities. So I'd go hang out with her during my lunch period. Uh-huh. Then I had whatever other classes. How many sisters do you have? Two. Two? That wasn't a sister that was always having you do dangerous stuff first? No. That was your older sister who did yeah. that, and then you have a younger sister? No, I have two older two sisters. Two older sisters, okay. The oldest is the one that do stuff. The one closest to me in age, bound to a wheelchair, can't walk, can't talk. So, she would not have things for me to do. Yeah. Um, but so then after, so I'd have classes all day, one free period either visit my sister or do homework and then I got injured at one point so then during my lunch I would go and have to do I just had a stress fracture so then I would go and do stress always yeah right I don't like the vinegar thing um didn't like it I'm already feeling my stomach like ugh I don't like that um I'd go and do like rehab then afterwards, I had the yearbook club, which was a thing that I agreed to run only as collateral so that I could take the, the advanced video classes at my school without doing the prerequisites by agreeing to run the video yearbook club for the head of the art department. Yeah. But that met after school, and I had track practice after school. So I'd run there for 10 minutes, tell them what to do, then run down to practice and lead all the warm-ups and all that stuff. I like how many special deals you cut. You got a drama show without having to apply for it. 
you got a special deal where you'd run a thing in order to not do another thing? That's something I learned early in life is that like there's no rules you can't get around. Everyone I see and I've always I've always been the type that just assume like, oh I can't get around these rules. You can always get around rules. Yeah. Um and then I would stay there and do my radio show. And then after the radio show, or one of those, it was, no, track practice until like six or seven at night, mm-hmm. then have intramural basketball. Yeah. And then at that point, it'd be like 9 p.m. or so, have my radio show, get home at 10, do homework for two hours, rinse and repeat. It was a lot. Yeah. And then on top of that, my, my, for my APR thing, I was making a film. So I had to like plan and shoot all that stuff on the weekends on top of all my yeah. races and stuff like that. Too busy. Too busy. So my dream was to go to NYU. Yeah. Well, NYU or USC. I actually wanted to go to USC, but I got Orange County. I had a great transcript, great grades, tons of extracurricular stuff. Yeah. Tons of film stuff. Thought I wrote great essays, all that stuff, and then did. Uh, when I started hearing back from colleges, like my safety school, schools that like I should have easily gotten to, I was getting denied from, and I was like, "What? Why is this happening?" In between my junior and senior year, I took a course. I took a film program at NYU that I later ended up being one of the instructors for. Yeah. That is basically a tryout to be a film student at NYU. Yeah. The professor there really liked me. So he wrote me this recommendation that was like, JD is def- definitely let him in NYU. He seemed to love it while he was here. We loved him. It's a match made in heaven, all this stuff. My college counselor sent that out to every school a letter talking about how I was going to go to NYU. Yeah. So all my sisters, Evan was like, we're not going to accept this person then. Because they're not going to come here. So I started getting denied from anywhere. And then she's like, oh my God, I found that out. So I ended up getting denied from everywhere except for NYU, which was like, and at the same time before that, I was dealing with, do I go to film school, do I, do I r- try to run track in college? Mm. And that was a big debate. Yeah. Luckily, I, cho- I chose correctly, just for life reasons and like, yeah. physically, I didn't really mature into the past like year or two, wow. so I would, I would have been in big trouble had I tried to r- run competitively mm. in like D1. I was good in high school, but like you sort of have to become a, a man, yeah. you know what I mean, to like compete on the next level. Yeah. And I was definitely a kid in high school. I was a kid who was fast and athletic, but like still yeah. a kid. Yeah. Wow. Did your counselor realize you made a mistake sending that letter out? Yeah. Wow. And then my mom became a college counselor, I think, as a result of the experience. <laughs> Or like in the notion of like I can do better than this. Right. Yeah. But I loved NYU. Loved it. Yeah. I mean, I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia. Did I talked to you about this before. No. I went to. When I was in high school, I went up and I auditioned the summer before my senior year for a production of Ordinary People. 
kind of like got the lead role in Ordinary People. And I did that for my summer job. I was in a play, and it felt great. I was just like, I can't believe it. Like, I didn't have to do a crappy summer job. I was just in this play where I got to act with like professional actors. And it felt easy, because I'd done plays for a long time, and I was like, oh, wow, it does feel different when you're with professional actors, because everybody just knows what they're doing. And, and there was a guy in his 50s who was playing the Judd Hirsch part from the movie. He was playing my therapist, and I played this teenager whose brother died and I blamed myself and I the the my mom's the character of my mom had blamed me and had always liked the other son better and my character had attempted suicide so it was the play ordinary people is about him like going to counseling going to therapy and in the summer this actor was in his 50s and he felt like a real therapist and those therapy scenes were really easy because he was like oh this guy is like just exactly right for this part and then you decided the play was going well so they decided it would be also wouldn't just be part of the summer it would also be the first play of the school year season and it would run for two weeks in September right when the, so they'd have a play ready right. right when school started they wouldn't have to ramp it up and so this actually play my therapist was not available to play that part and so um a student who was a senior at NU took over the role, and it was John Hamm. Really? Uh, Hilarious. From Mad uh, Men. Uh, so were you in that play then? Yeah, so for two weeks, John Hamm and I were in Ordinary People at NU, and um, the and what's funny is that at the time, I was just this like new senior in high school, but I was like, oh no, like... A student's gonna play. Some yeah. Like I'm like, this isn't the right age. Like he's too young. No one would trust their suicidal son to like what clearly is like. Yeah. A brand new, like more like a med student. Yeah. Uh, but he was really good, and like he was still like his acting was really really good. And so it was. I very quickly got over my attitude problem. Yeah. About having to be in a play with John Hamm. And have you uh, communicated with since? No, no. Um, the I always think because John Hamm is such a uh, UCB, he's such a comedy nerd. Yeah. That I do feel like at some point our paths will cross because he's done ASCAD and he's worked. Yeah. I just feel like at some point it'll be like, oh hey, remember we were in this play together? Um, he probably will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I heard him interviewed with Terry Gross on Fresh Air a couple of years ago, I think, and he talked about. Like, a, a month after well, I was in order to people with him, he was in a production in NU of Stephen Sondheim's Assassins, and I went down to see it, because by this one I knew a lot of the people who were in the play, and Assassins is probably my favorite play of any sort. It's really, really great. Um, particularly the original production of Assassins that doesn't have... There's a song they added that I don't like, but the version that... It's just a musical about... Uh, all the different people who've tried to kill a president of the United States. Right. And the songs are great, and it's really funny, it's really smart and disturbing. They added a song that was, like, from the point of view of, like, non-assassins, like, just ordinary people, like, where they were when Kennedy was shot. Right. And I didn't like, I don't like that song at all, because it pulls you out of, like, no, this musical is just about the assassins and why yeah. they're disturbed. But um, John Hamm played... Uh, 
uh, Trollgosh in that. Um, and he talked about that production on Fresh Air a couple years ago. I'm like, oh, wow, I saw him in that play. Um, well, and then, and also, actually, if anybody has seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks, the movie that came out recently where Tom Hanks played uh, Walt Disney, um, Walt, one of the main, like, everyone in that movie is recognizable. Like, Tom Hanks, Emma Thompson, B.J. Novak, um, uh, who's the other, uh, um, Jason Schwartzman, um, Bradley Whitford, like, every part, is, uh, um, Paul Giamatti, every part is, like, an actor that you know, yeah. or that you can say, oh, that's the guy from the West Wing, and that's this person. The one person that you might not be able to do that for, um, who is, like, Walt's secretary in the thing, she was also in that production of, of Ordinary People. Uh, her name was Melanie Moore. I think she has a different name now, a different either married or professional name. But uh, it does start to increasingly feel to me like, oh, if I could actually achieve some sort of success, that production of Ordinary People starts to grow on, like, oh, John Hamm was in right. this. And she's in like, it does start to feel like, oh, that must have been really... If you hear about, like, uh, like that production of Godspell, they had, like, right. Gilda Radner and Martin Short and, and all these other people yeah. in it. Uh, that's my that's my motivation for trying to uh, have a show business career. Yeah, that would be really funny. Now I went to MU then for a couple years, and I was on a drama scholarship there. Thank you. Thank you. Where um, I was required to at the, part of the drama scholarship was I was required to audition for all of the plays. Right. And interesting that it's like. You have to prove that you want to keep doing drama. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's no problem. Uh, I'll get this. And um, Wait, why? Because uh, you bought all the equipment for the podcast, so I feel no, like... Just split it like normal humans. All right, okay. All right, I tried. Um, the, <coughs> the first year that I was in you went really well. Although, again, like, I... I had a friend who um, you were required to, like, the, the common thing was, like, everyone has to audition for the musical, and you have to be in the chorus of the musical before you can be in any right. other things. You have to pay your dues or whatever. And a guy who I wasn't friends with yet, but since later became friends with, he just said, I don't want to audition for the musical. I want to audition for the lead in this other play, Psycho Beach Party, that was happening. And... The head of the department was like, okay, but he was like, it was going to be a problem. And then later on, I was like, oh, he ended up doing really well in this theater department. And he just like, no, I want to be, he was like, Psycho Beach Party was like the better play. He was like, the, got the lead role in it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I just like, was in the chorus and did my thing and stuff like that. Because I thought like, oh no, if you do, you do what they tell you and you play by the rules, then yeah. you'll be rewarded for, um, whereas like, I'm like, oh, if you just say like no I don't want to do this I want to do something better they're like oh okay you can because you're we respect you for well it's I, also like if you're li if you can the thing that I always say my advice is like everyone is just people right mm -hmm. if you can convince a person then you've done the job like the rules only exist as a result of the people yeah. so you can convince the people that you have a logic that supersedes the rules yeah. they're like okay yeah like yeah there's a whole uh, when I was at NYU there was a whole thing we were working on a friend of ours film yeah. and uh, a fellow student of ours was killed on set and it was this awful, awful tragedy. And then we came back and it was 
it nearly shut down the, the film department. So it was like all the insurance companies wanted to back out. Yeah. All the rules got tightened up. You know, this whole thing. And that right and then when this was happening, I was supposed to be shooting my thesis film. And so me and my producer, who were both on the set where it happened, yeah. were very involved in the process of it. And very quickly, we were a part of the process of sort of like helping the rules get changed and altered and then all of a sudden that we could like fight against anything yeah. so in that in that moment very quickly I realized like oh you can make the rules you can make the rules you can break the rules if you don't like something you can you go can in shake and shake the rules yeah if you don't like something you can go in and cause cause a big kerfuffle and it will be changed you know okay the tip yeah I'll be yeah. changed um the uh <coughs> Can I just bother you for change by any chance? Thank you. Um Yeah, it's I I still have that mentality though of like oh, what are we supposed to do? Okay. Uh Whereas I always have the mentality of like, what's wrong with these rules? These can yeah. be better. Who do I talk to about changing these rules? See that's why you get stuff done. I feel like Because I'm also not I, I'm a person that's terrified of breaking rules, mm -hmm. so I found that what makes me more comfortable is finding the person who made them and, and getting them erased, so I don't, I don't have to worry about breaking them. Yeah. Because I actually don't like breaking rules; it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like if I if if we're ever in a setting like if we went to like Disney World, right? Mm -hmm. And there's like the turnstiles to like get to the thing. Yeah. I wouldn't want to jump over them. I'd want to follow the thing. Yeah. But if I could talk to a person and be like. Can we just go around? And they yeah. said yes. Then I'd be like, "Great, everyone come around." Yeah. I'm remembering now that my first year that I was at MU, I did okay. Like I got in. A Thank you of so plays. much. I got in a couple of plays, you know. And the. Here we go. And the. But. One of the problems was the theme for the first year that I was at MU, at MU was the year of the woman. So wait, explain to me what any of this. There was like a theme for the theater season. Okay. Of the the, the, the slate of plays that had been chosen. Is that a thing that happens at most? I don't know. I think like they were. I've never done any theater in my life or been exposed to it at all. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a thing that happens, but I, it didn't seem weird to me that they had a theme. But it did seem unlucky to me that my first year that I was there, I got into a couple of plays, but a couple of the plays were things like, there was a musical called Quilters that was all women. So it was like, right. well, I don't even have a shot at this. Like, so that's one play off the yeah. slate. Yeah, off the nothing. docket, yeah. Um, and, but I was in a few plays, and things were going well, and then a weird thing started to happen in, in my second year at MU, which was... Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. I had not, I had not, for instance, is there anywhere you want to go or walk to or anything? No, didn't you say you had to get groceries? Yeah. Do you want to do that now or? Yeah, let's do it. Later. Um, no, now's good. Do it before people get home from work. Yeah. Um, the, <clears throat> I hadn't, uh, I hadn't burned any bridges. I had not, I'd been easy to work with and I knew that people had liked working with me. Right. But in the second year that I was at, and you, I seem to have gotten like weirdly blacklisted. Huh. I was required to try out for the plays, but I couldn't get into them. 
and no one could explain to me what was going on. Right. I was in a, I was in a, I tried out, and I was required, I kept being required to try out for these plays. Right. And I tried out for a play called Purdy Victorious that had four, it had three parts that I would have been eligible for. Sure. And there were uh, five actors who tried out for this play. And four actors got callbacks for the play. I was the only actor who didn't get a callback for it. And I know for a fact that one of the four, the guy who actually didn't get into the play, was so bad in his audition that he couldn't say words off the page. And the guy... What did you do then? Well, the guy who was directing this play, I was also in a voice class, like a... Not a voiceover class, but like a how to use your voice as an actor class. Yeah. Where the grading was 100% subjective. Right. Like, it was just down to, like, you could get a grade if the professor liked you or didn't like you as an actor. Yeah. And it was, wasn't like you scored points and they could tally up. It was right. sort of the call of the, the teacher. Yeah. And this was a guy who directed that play. And he gave me an A in that class. Like, I literally had the best possible grade from him that you could in right. an acting class. And... I didn't get a callback for this play. Then there was another play that I didn't get even a call. I didn't even make it through the second wave of auditions. And I knew people were like, other other students in the course were like, this is weird. Yeah. Like, why are you not getting? And then the final like indignity was my favorite professor who had directed me in a play freshman year. Sure. And we'd gotten along well. And I was also in a class of his at the time that was a subjective class right. uh, where he could just give me a good grade or a bad grade uh, and he was my favorite even though for a lot of the people who were in this program didn't like him because they thought he was they thought he was a really boring professor Right. they thought he was long winded I like long winded people, I'm a long winded person by nature Sure. and I always thought he was really interesting and he was directing a production of The Rover by Afra Bean now this is like a Shakespearean era kind of Elizabethan play yeah. in, in that there's like 25 speaking parts for guys. And I had had a lot of experience doing Shakespeare. I'd, done, I'd been done a Shakespeare in the Park uh, with my friends. We'd done this as a local thing all through high school where we'd done these free Shakespeare plays every summer. So I like knew what I was doing. I knew I'd done more of that type of acting. I'm required once again to audition for this play. And everyone that I knew got cast in the rover except for me. Like, literally every actor in the theater department, plus a lot of actors who weren't theater majors. So, like, every other theater major got cast who I should right. this. And, uh, including actors who were okay. Did you, like, do something to insult all your classmates? No, because my classmates were, uh, all... Were you saying the director was, like, a classmate? No, 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 the director, no, the director was a professor. Okay. But the classmate, he was not popular... With like he was my favorite professor, but he was he was almost no one else's favorite. Right. And he was still giving me great grades in acting classes. Right. And the other students couldn't they didn't understand it. They didn't understand why I wasn't getting cast. But including some actors that I was friends with, but who were just like so so actors, you know, like yeah. there, there were just a few people that were like, this person's okay. 
but I knew that I had done a better audition. Right. Everyone had seen my audition. It wasn't anything. And I remember being, uh, I was living in an off-campus housing and sharing an apartment building with uh, three other uh, acting majors in the drama department. And I remember one of them knocking on my door. Uh, I had, through a series of, of poor negotiation on my part, I had gotten the box room in the apartment building, which was the room with no windows. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I remember one of these guys knocking on my bedroom door and saying, Hey, Connor, uh, they posted... It posted the cast list, yeah. and I'm like, what, what happened? It said, you didn't get cast. And I was like, all right, I'm leaving the country. Right. Like, I'm done. Okay, I'm done with goodbye. this school. Yeah. And I, everyone, everyone was like, are you going to ask people? Are you going to find out why? I was like, I really don't care. Like, you didn't ask anyone? I never asked anyone because there was nothing, there was no possible reason that anyone could have given me that would have made me want to stay. Uh, but what if they're like, we're testing well, you. every night you sleepwalk and say racist stuff in the hallways? Well, I knew it wasn't that. But like, but, what, you weren't even curious? No, I mean, I was curious, but not to the point where, like, I was genuinely... Um, I hosted the, uh, I actually ended up hosting the awards ceremony that the theater department, uh, oh. Oh, no. the theater department holds like a student yeah. run, like award ceremony where the, uh, there's like voting and the actors get awards and stuff like that. And I was asked to MC this, that's, uh, that at the end of that school year. That's a hurtful thing. And that's, why I, would someone do that? It was another student. Cause I was popular among the other right. students and I was, if you looked at my grades, I was popular among the professors. Right. They just refused to cast me in any place. And so I had already made, I'd auditioned and gotten into a drama school in England. Everyone knew that I was leaving. And uh, I'm still proud of one of the, like, so I was like, okay, everyone knows I'm leaving. Everyone knows I've been burned yeah. by this department. And, uh, and I thought, oh, this is great. I'll just make a bunch of jokes. And I still remember... Uh, being very proud of one of my jokes that I made in this award ceremony, which was I got up and I'm giving the monologue and I'm like, wow, Reinsberger Theater, here we are. And, and it was a, a full audience. Like yeah. the audience was full of all the th people who've been in place with theater majors. And I said, uh, wow, this is amazing. What an honor to be here uh, for the theater awards. I said, with the talent gathered here in this room tonight, you could almost fill this room. Uh, right. I remember being proud of the construction of that joke. Yeah. Uh, that it was just like a, a tiny dig at the fact that there was a certain fraction of people in the room who were not talented that didn't count as being yeah. a full room of talent. Yeah. Um, do you think that's a good joke? Is that I do. I think it's good. Did anyone get it there? No, I, don't, I think a few people got it, but it, I feel like it... Because to me that sounds just like a... If you just heard that casually, you'd think it's just like, oh, this person saying the room's so talented. Yeah. But, like, you carefully choosing the logic of that yeah. makes it clear that it's like, oh, look at this room full of people. Yeah. There's so much talent, you could almost fill this room. It's like such a specific, yeah. like, big at people. I'm not good at writing jokes, so I, I've written very few jokes in my no, lifetime. I think that's great. I just think it'd go over so many people's heads. Yeah. 
Um, but it's uh, also the rattling you hear is Connor pushing oh, yeah. his cart. Can you hear that rattling? Is it coming on the mic? Yeah. All right. Probably a little bit. Yeah, we are on our way now from my apartment building. We've left the Woodside Cafe. I feel like we're narrating less in this episode. Do you think that's a problem? I see. That is Alpha Towing Company just honked another car. That is going the wrong way down the street. Oh, no, this isn't a, this is a two-way street, believe it oh, or not. Okay. Uh, it's just not wide enough to be a two-way street, really. That's strange. Um, I can't tell if the... Because we made fun of ourselves last, and people did make fun of us for some of our narration yeah. last time, but I do feel like it sets the stage in an interesting way. Yeah. Right now we're passing two cars that are completely under snow. Oh, yeah, they haven't been touched. And we are, right now, uh, for those of you who... Uh, someone posted a map of our journey uh, last time in the last podcast. Yeah. And uh, this time we've been staying pretty close to one area. We went to Woodside Cafe in Woodside. Yep. And now we're on the corner of 63rd and Queens Boulevard. Yeah. And we... 63rd Street and Queens Boulevard. And we are heading towards... Uh, Key Food, which is one of the multiple grocery stores that I buy food from. Oh, this is why you have this car, because you got a little bit of hike to get your grocery store. Yeah. Um, and you have to go uphill. Yeah, so you can see where if you buy like a couple of containers of like beverage, yeah. like orange juice or milk or soup cans and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I did that once, and I was like, oh, I'm bringing the cart. Yeah, it's not a bad call. Um, but, yeah, there's this, uh, we're down on, we're on Queens Boulevard, and, um, we are going to have to navigate through some sludge here because uh, it hasn't been cleared in the median. And there's, it's going to be kind of hard to get over that. There are 12 lanes that we have to get across. Yeah, and these lights are, don't give you a lot of... There's not a lot of budge. Yeah. Like, when, when you get the walk light, you got to go. Uh, otherwise, you get, you get stuck. I frequently get stuck at that uh, second median. Okay. There's two medians in the middle of these lanes. There's three. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess there's another little partial one. Now, a, a woman and child just decided to go against the light and run ahead. We're not going to make that choice. Uh, we're going to wait for the light. That's a red light, though. All right. Because I don't want to get stuck in the median. Yeah, I, I want to for, for no reason other than just setting an arbitrary goal. Now we, we are gaining on mother and child. Uh, oh, but now, this median, we're going to have to go fully around it. This isn't part of the median. This is just sludge. Oh, wow. That's not, that's just like, the here's the median. The sludge going is way off. The We actually have a car behind us, if you notice there. We're holding up traffic. We're holding up traffic. Okay, now here we are at the big six. All right, now this is a... Do you have a, do you have a uh, membership of the big six, six fitness? I don't belong to any fitness club. I, that's why I have a recumbent stationary bicycle right. in my apartment. Do you, um, do you buy children at the child center? The no, I'll want to announce what the what the uh, yeah. businesses are in the big six shopping center, uh, where you have uh, Choice Health Plans, Big Six Fitness, yeah. New York Community Bank, Queens County Savings Bank Division, yeah. the Child Center of New York, Big Tower Cleaners, Gina's Pizza Restaurant, Violet's Unisex Boutique, Hunan K Chinese Food. That's uh, an ambulance. Uh, Going by an FDNY fire, uh, ambulance going by that you hear. Big Six Bagels, Big Six 99 cents and up store. I go there. Right, so that just means they have nothing cheaper than 99 cents. Yeah, it used to be a 99 cents store, but now it's a 99 cents and up. 
But and up is written very small on their logo. And well, what I think is funny is that the idea of a 99 cent store usually presupposes that everything is less than a dollar. Yeah. But by calling it a 99 cent and up store, yeah. that actually supposes that everything is more expensive than a dollar. Almost everything is a 99 cent and up store. Yeah. Almost all stores. Um, they should call it a mostly 99 cent store. That would be a more yeah. accurate. Oh. The, the, uh, <laughs> they, uh. No, nothing pleases me more in life what? than people yelling, hey, hey, to someone. Yeah, we just had a guy yell at us, but he wasn't, it was towards us, but he was really yelling at, I guess, his friend. But just the phrase, hey, is hey. so funny to me. It's just, it's always filled with so much subtext. Uh, because it means nothing other than. The thing that you know I'm thinking, yeah. I'm saying. Now, um, I have been to Big Tower Shoe Repair before. Okay. Um, when I wore a, I wore a hole in my, uh, the bottom of one of my shoes. Oh no. What? No carts. Well, you have one. No, but I like to hook this cart on a cart. Um, That's a weird thing. Is it a weird thing? Well, the other thing is, There's a weird thing, which is the carts have these hooks for these things, but where did all the carts go? There's like almost no carts outside, right? There's I don't one. see any, but There's it doesn't have little no hooks. hooks on them. Mm. Let me, because this isn't great for, this is great for transporting them at the end. Do I need, you'll notice it's that kind of cart that has those two hooks on the front. Yeah. I'm going to go outside and see. You think I should just use this card? Yeah, I think it. It's not strong, though. Because I don't think you're getting that much stuff, are you? I don't know. I mean, I don't, we're in the grocery store. We're in key food right now. Um, I don't need anything here. Um, I, I went to that cobbler, the big tower shoe repair, because uh -huh. I liked the idea of going to a cobbler. Oh, I always get those butoni uh, ravioli. Like I'm going to a butoni little three cheese ravioli. That's a good, easy, quick thing for when I don't have time to cook anything. Yeah. Um, and they don't always have that, so when they do have it, I always grab it. Yeah, um, I think everyone has knows the things at grocery stores that are like rare delights. Yeah, things that you're like, if you don't get it now, it might not be here for a while. Yeah. Um, are you a yogurt guy? Yeah, we went on this last time, I think. I am a yogurt guy, but I don't think I'm eating any yogurt today. Uh, I just don't think it's happening. Yeah, they don't have what I want. Um, it's probably not worth it, Chobani yogurt. Yeah? Yeah. Um, when I went to the cobbler, I found the, I, I, I liked the idea of dealing with my, um, well, I need eggs. I need eggs. Um, I like the That's idea. That's an interesting idea. You see that? What happened? What happened? The basket on a, balancing on the top. I didn't see that. Um, I liked the idea of, I like the idea of going to a cobbler rather than just throwing out the shoes, you know? Yeah. And, but I didn't, um, like, the results were not good. Like, he basically had, like, well, I've got these bottoms of shoes. Yeah. kind of didn't, they, it looked, at the end, the shoes that I had, I wanted, like, a sort of seamless replacement. I just wanted, like, new yeah. soles. And what ended up looking like was, like, this weird Frankenstein's creature. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, it felt like, oh, it costs like about what it would have cost me to buy new shoes. 
And now these shoes look and feel worse. Yeah, and it felt like, oh, now I have like old, shoe, shoes, old yeah. shoe tops on a new replacement that isn't satisfying. Um, and do you like, now, how often do you shop for groceries? Uh, about once a week. Yeah? Yeah. Because some people don't. Some people just like don't buy food, don't cook for themselves. Because I don't cook fancy stuff, but I cook a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, chicken, steak, pork chops kind of guy. Yeah. With couscous and beans, green beans. Yeah. All right, let me get some salmon. I gotta think what I'm gonna get for my week as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm, right now, I'm sort of just planning for what I'm gonna cook for you. Um, but I do. I do prefer if I can, like, even just having something simple. I don't really like eating eating out that often. Like, it's nice as a social thing. Like, I liked going to that cafe yeah. with you. But some, that, people, some do, people really like eating out at restaurants a lot. And does I that always, include takeout? Because um, I do takeout a lot. I don't think, I, I have a lot of times where I don't have time to cook. Yeah. Well, you are... Uh, oh, sorry. You are a busier person than I am, you know? Um... I, I feel or I like think I'm more sporadically busy. You have a more of a set. a plan that you can yeah. go after. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Now this place has imported. I think I talked to you about the um, baked beans that I get, right? No. I think I did because someone tweeted about it. Oh. I think last time I talked about. Uh, how I get Heinz vegetarian baked beans. Not those, though, the imported ones. Oh, I was like, they're not imported. Good uh, sir. But they've been, they've been out of them here for a while. Oh. Disaster. See, there's an empty spot. They've been out of them for a few weeks now. Yeah. And it's thrown off my schedule because I'm sort of like, I'm, I want to... I want to have like a baked potato with those baked beans a couple times this week. Okay. And now I don't have the option. Sure, that's tough. It, it just makes me a little depressed. So I'm not going to get that much food today, I don't think, because I got to I got to come up with an alternate strategy for what I'm going to do for my food you gotta through the week. Yeah, I got to just replan. Like I feel like I can get some blueberries, maybe. Do you want some blueberries? Sure. Yeah, we'll snack on these. This will be good. Uh, and I need to get. Uh, um, frozen vegetables, I think. Uh, do you want to get uh, some? Uh, is each time we get a new uh, obscure drink? Oh, I don't know what kind of obscure drinks I could get here. No, I'm kidding. We're definitely not. I'm never buying Russian soda again. Yeah, that was. That's awful. for certain. That's and a then it turned into like a gel in my refrigerator. Really? I remember it leaked. Oh, yeah, it leaked everywhere. I feel bad about that. It wasn't anyone's fault. I do feel bad. Is there anything you want? No, I'm fine. No? Um, yeah. Uh, Stop drinking a lot of juice. 
Uh, is it because it's deceptively like caloric? Well, it's not calories for me. It's like the high fructose corn syrup stuff. Oh yeah. Well, I never, I never drink anything that's got that if I can avoid it now. Yeah, it's, I'm in the same boat. But that's why like, so many juices are just out of the question now. Any juice cocktail is some, like it's a shame when you discover you're like, oh, I used to like this ruby red. Yeah. And you realize, oh, that's why I loved it. Yeah. Because it was just syrup. Um, and but most of the most of the uh, juices that I've tended to drink have been either just completely fresh or don't have any like added yeah. stuff to them. But even like a lot of people will say like that those are deceptively um, those are deceptively not good for you like to have in any kind of yeah I feel uh, the same way quantity and I. I I do feel like that's probably true. Um, there's always, they're always playing the same songs in this uh, grocery store. Really? Yeah, like I feel yeah, like... Yeah, I noticed that too in my grocery store. My key food. The... You, you have the key food as well? Yep. It's, not, very nice, it's a really nice grocery store too. Is it a nicer one than this? Yes. Alright, this is just like slumming to you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well... I think that's what we're getting for now. No judgment, but what? just... I do feel like a slumlord. See, I feel like you calling yourself a slumlord is <laughs> a judgment. I should be judging you. The fact that you instantly elevate yourself to the most villainous role. To the leader, yeah. Yeah. But if, if you're going to make something up, why not make up the best? Yeah. Oh. Um, what are your other observations about uh, the weird? Uh, I bet it's strange at night. Uh huh. This is like the yellow lighting outside. Yeah. Hello. How are you? I'm good. JD, do you want a bag yeah. for me? All right. Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna pay credit card. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just bought some groceries. JD has loaded the groceries into the cart. Thank you. Um, there you go. Oh, here we go. Oh man. And uh, what, do you like these American flags that are hanging here? Very patriotic. You know who I'd love to meet? What? Someone who, who owns one of the companies that distributes those. Oh, uh, JD's referring to the machines, that, the little uh, toy machines that you put in a series of quarters and get like a cheap plastic toy. Yeah. 
and they really. It'd be interesting to hear the statistics of like, oh, you know, actually, uh, we do quite well with those. The uh, you know the scorpions sell much better than the uh, stickers. Oh. You know what? I've been doing very well with uh, sticky cool. sticky grab hands. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know where you throw the sticky grab hand and it grabs something? Yeah. Uh, I put my kid through college on this. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's it, it's yeah, interesting that- because those toy machines are a throwback. I feel like they're a throwback to an earlier era. Right. But the machines are updated. Like they, yeah. they now are like they take three quarters instead of one. Yeah. But it feels like. Uh, it's surprising that they haven't just been like uh, made obsolescent somehow. You know that that like I feel like toys and cereal have changed, but the toys in those machines haven't changed as much. Yes, like we. Yes, yeah, that's what I think. I want to hear from someone who uh, owns and operates one of those companies. Uh huh. Is because it's like clearly something that the formula works you know uh-huh. they make a toy for a penny sell it for two quarters yeah distribute it for a couple but you know what I mean whatever it is yeah now JD and I are now in the middle of the road basically because there's basically the snow and sludge has created like the the land equivalent of one of those trash islands that's in the ocean there's also a car just hanging out, waiting to turn here. Um, that, was that was cool. a fun effect. Uh, there is a, a <laughs> JD will describe it. There is a car waiting to turn that had snow on the top of it, a large amount of snow. And in its excitement to make the turn, it accelerated and turned, and snow flew off of it and created a spilled snow effect on the ground. It went, the snow went crashing in giant yeah. big chunks onto yeah. the ground. Connor felt the need to uh, clarify my description because it wasn't spectacular it. enough. Yeah, it, you did, know it, it. it didn't highlight enough this, <laughs> how large of an ordeal it was to see the snow come crashing to the ground. Yeah, that's why we loved it, and I feel like... I, I downplayed like, it. Yeah. it, was, it I, I had a very clinical reading of it. Yeah, and I... Just wanted to add a little bit of sizzle to it. Yeah. Um, they can call it sizzle reel. Yeah. Because um, I give it to you real, he gives it to you sizzle. Oh, real R-E-A-L. Yeah, see? Uh, well, the sizzle that I was giving you was reality-based, so... Sure. Uh, Woodcrest Apartments are available now. Yeah. Inquire, Inquire above. Yeah. Or above. Oh yeah, attention. Yeah. There, oh. one of these houses. When I walk past, we're in my neighborhood. Lots of little houses. Looks yeah. like a. I think say this is a fairly typical old Queens neighborhood, right? Yes, it is for sure. Uh, and this might be where the king of Queens would live. Yeah, he might live here. Oh, I, I know actually. Um, all in the family, Archie Bunker. I believe that in that old 1970 sitcom that. The uh, neighborhood, either the neighborhood that he's supposed to live in, or it may just be where they filmed the exterior, the exterior opening and closing credits, or whatever. I believe is like, if it's not Woodside, it's like Nesbeth or somewhere around here. All right, JD has discovered a. There's um, a pile of snow over a grate here, and the snow has melted from the bottom up because the grate, I think, has warm air underneath it. 
So it's created a cave. A snow cave. A snow cave. And, and J.D., you, the way you reacted to that was like you became too... Like, you looked at, like, how do I get in that cave? I know. Or, like, I wanted to touch it and see how sturdy it was. <laughs> how sturdy do you think it is? I bet if I put my foot there, it would fall. But I know, also, you don't want to do that. You love that this cave exists. I know. But if someone's going to destroy it. JD, okay. stand on top of it. I don't want to. <laughs> I want it to live. Um, it's a cool cave. It is a cool cave. That's where the mice of New York live. Um, let me see. Yeah, I've lived here since uh, 2007. Okay. Um, in the same apartment. I hate moving. I hate the thought of ever moving. Um, 2007, that's a good haul. It's a good long stretch to be in one apartment, right? Yeah. And good ownership? Generally, yeah. I mean, generally, I'm uh, the one. The one problem that I had for a while was that I had these neighbors who were who lived on my floor, and they were there was a hallway that separates. They weren't the next. They were the next one over. There was a hallway that separated us. So it wasn't like we shared any wall. Right. Uh, but. They were a couple named Bernie and Annie, and they were drunks. Okay. And, uh, and so that may be an unpleasant term to use. That may seem like it's a, it's a, you know, I should say, oh, they were alcoholics. But I really feel like the proper characterization for them was like they were a couple of drunks. Like bumbling. Yeah, like they would fight horribly. And then you would see them the next day walking through the little center yeah. of Woodside, holding hands, coming out of the liquor store right. with a bag full of fuel for their next rage yeah. fit. And you want to be like, you know that's going to cause a fight, right? Yeah. They once made fun of me. I want to hear that story. What are you looking at? Take note of the green cabs. There's green cabs everywhere. Hold those for later. Um, Great. Well, see, commonly, it, it was a pretty common thing that started happening, which was that I would get out, my elevator door would open on my floor. Yeah. And Annie, they were both, it was hard to tell what age they were, but they were either uh, close to elderly, sure. like late middle age, or I think this is likely regular sure. middle age, but hard living to the point where their choices had aged them. Right. Which is a thing. Which is a thing that happens. So... My elevator door would open up on my floor, and Annie, a late, late and middle-aged woman, would be lying on the floor of the hallway. Uh, sometimes with a puddle of either drool or piss on the floor around her, and she'd be lo locked out of her yeah. apartment. And, uh, A lot of times, uh, Bernie and Annie, they'd get into these fights, he would lock her out of the apartment. Right. And you'd hear her knocking the door, and she'd be saying, uh, 
She'd be saying, Barney. Oh, Barney, come on, open up the door. Barney. And he would scream at her from within the apartment. He would scream, you don't live here. Your name's not on the lease. This is not your apartment. And he would scream at the top of his lungs. And she'd say, oh, come on. Come on, Barney. Let me in. Let me in the apartment. Uh, and the, they would get into these awful, awful fights where he would scream like, I don't love you. You ruined my apartment. I'm calling the police. I'm calling the police. And... She'd be knocking on the door. Come on, Barney. I gotta get my uniform for work. Come on, Barney. And do you know where she worked? I think she might have been a nurse. Oh no. Because <laughs> that was the that was the one right there. They don't live there anymore. Right. Um, we're Judy uh, and I are now back at my apartment, having bought a few groceries, and. Uh, it's very cold outside today. It's pretty cold out. Um, and so, and my apartment gets pretty hot. It's pretty warm in here, right? Uh, it's fine right now. Oh, yeah? Was it cold earlier? No, I don't think. I don't remember being particularly cold. This feels instantly almost like, oh, I'm going to get too warm once the, I, like I'm still feeling the cold of being outside. Yeah. And I can feel like, oh, I may need to like open up a window. That might, that might be true. I do that constantly in my apartment. So... One time I hear Bernie and Annie uh, fighting, and like this is a good example of them fighting where uh, they were both, they would say awful things to each other. Sure. Bernie and Annie. They would say just tremendously horrific things. And like one of the things that uh, I remember, she was knocking on the door, and she's like, uh, Oh, Bernie, come on. Come on, Barney, open up the door. Oh, let me in. Let me in, Barney. He's like, no! You don't leave, I'm going to call the police. You don't live here. Right. And you're a drunk. And uh, she said, come on, please. I got to get, get my outfit for work. I got to get my uniform. And he said, stand back from the door. And so you heard her. She goes, okay, Barney. I'm still back from the door. Barney? Yeah. Oh, Barney, you got me. <laughs> and it was just that he had, like, tricked her. Yeah. And, I, and then I heard her say, Barney, whatever you're cooking in there, it sure smells good. Oh, weird. Weird. Then uh, there was a point where she was screaming at him. The, I think the cops came at one point. She had, like, called the police. And the cops came, or he might have even called the police. The cops came, and they see an old woman lying on the floor of a cold hallway. Right. And... Uh, the the police are instantly like, oh my god, ma'am, are you alright? Are you okay? She's like, oh no, I locked me out of the apartment. And I think it was actually that Bernie had called because he's right. like, she won't leave me alone. And he, the, the cops come and they instantly take her side because they're like, who's this poor woman who's on the floor? And they're knocking on the door and they're like, sir, sir, you need to open the door right now. And he says, who is it? And said, uh, it's the police. And the, uh, he wouldn't open the door because he's like, how do I know you're the real police? He's like, sir, you have to open this door right now. He says, you, what if you're not the police? How do I know you're not? You could be someone pretending to be the police. Right. And the cop literally said, we're, sir, we're the police. Don't you, can't you hear my police radio? 
Because he had the little right. thing. I felt like that can't be the official thing that police are supposed to say. To like the, 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 the verbal way to prove that you're a police to officer. To prove that you're police. I was like, don't you see my police outfit? Yeah. Can you see my police costume? Um, and he finally opened the door. The cops got so mad that he did open the door for them. And Annie immediately like scooted past him to get in the apartment. I could hear the yeah. guy. I'm listening at my door. I can hear the guy. And he's like, all right, open the door. Do not let her in. He opened the door and she's like, ah, and she like got past him. And you can hear him like, oh, okay, great, great. She's back in his apartment. Right. And she, you could hear that she had like taken a seat in the apartment. <laughs> like I yeah. could hear all this playing out. And uh, the cops are like, he's like, she doesn't live here. I, I'm the one who called you. Like, she, and they're like, sir, sir, you need to, you need to understand something here. And he's like, okay, but she doesn't live here. I'm not required to have her in here. And she starts berating the cops. Right. She starts calling the cops assholes. And the cops instantly realize, like, oh, we've let a lunatic woman... Like, we've misjudged the situation. Right. And she's like, fuck you, you bunch of asshole cops. And they're like, ma'am, you need to stop right now. It was just this complete madhouse mess. And this happened... There was a period where this was happening every night. Right. That there was some sort of screaming fit. I remember one time she was yelling at him... I know what you're doing in there, Barney. She's knocking on the door. He won't let her in. She's like, I know what you're doing in there, Barney, with your Frank Sinatra records. I know what you're doing. You're doing dick stuff. You're doing dick stuff in there. Ah, what are you, buddy? You gay? You gay, Barney? I know what you're doing. And she just sat there. He didn't say anything, but there was a Frank Sinatra record playing. I can hear he was listening to Songs for Swingin' Lovers by Frank Sinatra, that album. So right. in her mind, his whole thing is he puts on, or whether it's true or not, yeah. he puts on Frank Sinatra and just fucking Masturbates, jerks off. Yeah, yeah. And, and won't let her in the apartment. And she, she, was, she stood out there and delivered this running monologue on what she imagined he was doing. And he did not yell back at her, but I could hear Frank Sinatra playing... And then, she, and then Annie got cancer Oof. at one point. And I knew this because he started letting her back in the apartment. But they would still fight. But the fights took on a different tone because now Annie and Bernie would yell. He was like, Annie, where the fuck, where the fuck did you put my goddamn pastries? Right. Annie, listen, listen. I will do whatever it takes. You know I'm there for you. And I will do whatever you need. I will wipe your ass. I will do whatever it takes to help you get through this. But do not put my goddamn pastries in the fucking freezer. You put my pastries in the freezer. And he would scream, but every scream would have a caveat of how supportive he was and how she was going to beat this cancer. And they were going to work through this and he was going to be there for her. Yeah. That's... <clears throat> I feel like you learn a lot about your neighbors in New York just through wall osmosis. What do you... Uh, oh, God. What? <clears throat> My show that I booked for this Saturday, I just got an email saying that it's all booked. Even though I, I booked with a credit card that, for them. What show? The George Lucas talk show. <sighs> oh, fuck. What? 
Wait, I don't get the situation. I booked the late night special at the Producers Club. <clears throat> Sorry, listeners of the podcast. This is just me going through yeah. a fucking stressful trauma now. I don't know how to deal with this now. Wait, explain to me the situation. They have I a late help. night special. Which is? That you can book, and then they guarantee you one of their theaters. Um, and I was on the impression that it was completely booked. And that I had booked it, I had given them the information, and now they're saying, sorry, we're all, February 22nd is all booked. I do have space for March 1. If you're still interested, let me know. Um... I don't know how this is supposed to work because I guess what now I just cancel everyone that I've booked. Have you booked a bunch of people? What? Pick a different, get in a different venue. I don't know where to even find a venue at this late date now. You know. Uh, What time is the show? It was 11 p.m. We had the space from 10 till midnight on Saturday, and. Could you get a midnight slot? I don't. I think they're at UCB. I'm saying. I don't think so. I assume UCB's more booked than anything. Uh, JD, will you talk for a minute about stuff, and then I will try to figure it out. Yeah, to... sorry, I'm sending a work text as well. Oh, okay, yeah. So I'll talk out. Well, we'll both we'll, we'll both, both figure this out. We'll both figure this out. You learn a lot through osmosis, being around your neighbors in New York. Yeah. How come today is a? Well, you know what it is. What? The last time we did this was the day after New Year's, mm-hmm. or you know, a day or two after New Year's. Yeah. So all work was shut down. You know what I mean? It didn't exist. Yeah. Because it was Christmas break and then, you know. Yeah. So I was like, how come we're getting all these phone calls and emails we didn't have to deal with the first time we did this? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, because we did it during a non-work period of life. Yeah. Maybe that's why you like Christmas so much. Yeah. I'm going to have to actually physically make a phone call to this place and talk to them. I'm hoping that... This, that I'm misunderstanding this somehow. Yeah. I'm going to... Uh, and right now I'm texting someone that needs to help me we'll figure yeah. out a situation that's happened with our post-production thing. Yeah. Are you, are, did you mute your lav? No. Hi there. Uh, I just got an email and I just want to check to see what the situation is to make sure that I'm not misunderstanding. Um... This is uh, Connor Ratliff. Uh, I had booked over the phone for a, a late night special this Saturday. I just got an email saying that, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I booked over the phone, and I just wanted to make sure because maybe with the projector. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So the email was just a response to the email that I had. Okay, that's a big relief because I was thinking like, oh no, I've already started like promoting it and everything. Okay. Terrific. Oh, no problem. Thank you. That's a huge relief. Okay, good. Okay, I'm glad I called before I, because I would have had to make about 50 other phone calls to, yeah, everyone else. Okay, thanks a lot for your help. Bye. Oh, God, this is just the second time that I've had the exact same experience because I, I booked this show, which I don't know whether this... Uh, for, for those of you who are listening, since you just endured a few minutes of stuff that maybe didn't make sense, I have this show that I want to do. We could also hear the other end of the phone on the... Are you uh, kidding? Okay. I, I just realized that. Um, I booked a venue for a show, and I've been trying to find a venue to do this show, and then 
I finally booked it, but I was trying where I would like, there's an email form and then I would not get a response back. So then I called the venue Yeah. and then I booked it over the phone. And on Saturday night when I announced the, I did yeah. like the Facebook invite for this show that I'm doing at the same, like literally the instant that I, uh, uh, sent out the Facebook invite. I got an email saying, "Sorry, Connor, we're all booked up for the Saturday night." And I was like, "What? Oh no! Like, this can't be. I just got I it all just arranged." Booked it, yeah. And so I emailed back, and I'm like, "Wait a second. Maybe it's because I emailed the website and then didn't get a response. So then I called the website. Maybe it's two different streams of communication that yeah. the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing." So I was thinking, like, "Oh no, the Producers Club has." Email me back saying we're all booked. And then, so I emailed this back instantly and I said, yeah. wait a second, are you saying that I'm, are you responding to the email but maybe one of the reasons it's booked is because I booked it over the phone with you? Right. And then they emailed back and said, we don't book our stage out, we don't do any bookings over the phone, it's only through this email. So then I'm like, oh no, I gave my credit card information to the person over the phone. They're yeah. like, what happened? So I like, wait a second, I called your theater and I booked with a credit card over the phone. Are you telling me that you don't take credit card bookings? Did I give my credit card information to some guy who answered the phone? I'm like, what is going on? I said, I thought I already paid for it. Then they emailed back and said, we don't charge for our stage and we don't do bookings over the phone. Who did you talk to? And then I'm like, what the hell? You don't charge, your website's full of prices. And then I realized that the person who was emailing me was the person who arranges the stage at the Triple Crown, uh, who I'd emailed weeks earlier and hadn't heard from. Right. But just because of the timing that I was in the mode of thinking it was right. the Producers Club. So now I literally get this email that is what I thought that the other one was, was saying, sorry, thanks for the inquiry. I'm sorry, but it's all booked. Uh, let me know if you're still interested. And what it turns out is he's responding to the email that I made before I then called right. to deal with it over the phone and then he was like oh okay I, I didn't know if you were the same guy did you have to send did you have to send like an apology email to the triple crown people be like I'm yeah. sorry I, well I instantly I also sent a panic email to like Brandon Guglia and Sean Diston I was like fuck 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 what do I do and then I realized what it was and I emailed back to the triple crown and I'm like I'm sorry I thought you were the producers club uh, my mistake I'm sorry that I just caught it. Because this guy at the Triple Crown was probably thinking, who answered the phone in my bar and yeah. took credit card information? He's probably thinking, like, which one, one of my employees, staff members? One of my there. staff members is doing credit card fraud. Uh, but it's just me. Like, I'm bad at organizing stuff. I should not be. It, it's part of the reason why I don't. I find it easier sometimes to not be motivated and not do things because the second I start or organizing stuff, I feel like. My life spirals out of my control. Sure. I'm like, I've asked people to participate in this show. Like, I've gotten schedule commitments for people. Like, no one's done any work yet but me on it, really. But I feel like people have agreed. I've done all this communication. And what I just went through was like panicking that I'm going to have to like email everyone, do a big announcement saying, sorry, I was going to do a show, but I'm such a screw up that my show got canceled before it even happened. Like, it makes me feel like a failure. It makes me feel like, uh, like, how do other people do it? How do other people organize things and make them happen? I can barely organize this little 30-seat show. I feel like it's almost fallen apart three times. Uh, I don't know how, 
How do people do it? Like, how do you do it? Uh, <clears throat> I feel like it's just you have to make a. Uh, you have to make a plan uh-huh. that is the most logical plan, even if at the moment mm-hmm. it is not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Like, for example, like here's where I think your and I personalities differ. Mm-hmm. And I'll use I'll use a moment from this show. Uh-huh. That maybe viewers can relate to. Yeah. The packing peanuts. I probably would have spent 15 minutes trying to think of a way that in one foul swoop I could get all those packing peanuts into a different bag or into a different place. Yeah. So that I didn't have to go handful by handful and put them into small little bags. Yeah. It might have taken longer for me to do that. Yeah. But then I would have learned that way, so the next time I had to do it, it would be quicker. But I feel like you're a type of person that is like, whatever route is most successful right now, I'm going to take that. Yeah. Just so that I can get it done with. Yeah. Um, which I think both lessens stress, but then means that if you go down that route, yeah, you're more susceptible to problems occurring, right? So like, if I spent 15 minutes coming up with a plan for like how to exchange a bag of packing peanuts in a different bag yeah. without them spilling. Yeah. It would take me just as long, but I would have this plan out for it. Whereas you're just like, nope, handful by handful. But then if one of the small bags ripped... Then I would have been screwed. It would have... You would have... been a big disaster. Yeah. <sighs> you know just, what I mean? So I think, I, think, I think that's the difference where you're a person that's like, great, right now I'm going to call every single theater and see if they're available. And, I'm gonna resp- and then you're like, wait, what do you mean they're not... Re-? And then it becomes a thing where it's like immediate... Yeah. I just feel like I am always, like, I feel like when I'm, part of the reason why I give up on things, I think, is because I feel like I'm always on the brink of uh, it, of stuff falling apart when I try to do stuff. You know, like, I feel like I get this terrible feeling of, like, ugh, I tried and it's not working, you know? Sure. Um like you saw how bad you saw how instantly bad I felt just then when I yes. thought this show that like it makes me like I'm not even that like the show going bad like some people would be like oh I'm nervous there's a show I've got to do and it would make them really nervous and they get nervous about the show I'm not actually that nervous about the show I'm looking forward to the show I think even my worst case scenario of how badly the show could go yeah does not make me nervous like if I do this show and nobody laughs, and the guests are kind of annoyed that I asked them, and it's just people are like, that was a really stupid show. It failed. Yeah. You did bad. That would not stress me out as much as having to cancel the show. Uh, sure. Like, I could deal with the failure of like, oh, I tried to do this show, and it wasn't very fun. Uh, now I'm never going to do it again. But dealing with venues, dealing with... Uh, just the business of stuff is so, uh, it makes me feel so bad. See, I'm the opposite. I wouldn't want to cancel the show, but it would make me so feel so bad. Like the, the terrorist show, right? Uh-huh. If I'd put that together and that had not gone well, yeah. that would have destroyed me. Yeah. To the point that like, if I saw it was going to go poorly, I would have canceled it beforehand to stop that map. Like, to me, it's like, I either want to win or uh-huh. have not competed. Yeah. Um, when it comes to things that are manageable. 
when it comes to impossible things, I love attempting and failing. But when it comes to things that I know I can do, yeah. I never want to set like a low expectation of like, well, you could have done this, but you didn't do it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it definitely... It feels like I... I don't know. We kind of had a little bit of this conversation last time where you were talking about... You were sort of talking about my lack of ambition or my lack of... Uh, it's not your lack of ambition. It's your... My willingness uh, to settle, I think, for... Mediocrity. Well, not mediocrity. I like quality, but I'm I'm not. Um, what's the, how would you phrase it? I would say that you. Um, uh, you've handed yourself over to circumstances in a way that's somewhat defeatist. That sounds like a lot of words to call somebody a loser. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying at all. No. I know. I know it's not. Uh, no, what I'm saying not what you're is you're saying. like, you're like, like uh, I don't know if it's worth, I don't know if it's worth going big because I've, I've gone through circumstances that have gone poorly. Yeah. Uh, Which again, might be me being younger than you and naive. No, I feel but like But it's I'm, also like. I feel like I'm weirdly more naive than you are. For all my world weariness, I feel like, uh. I feel like of the two of us, I'm more likely to say, like, let's do something that in all likelihood won't happen, but I'm more likely to be like, I bet this could happen. Right. I feel like when you say, I bet this can happen, it's because you've got a, you've got an idea that maybe no one else in the room knows that it can't happen. Maybe you're the only one in the room who knows it can happen, but that you actually know how it can happen. Here's what I'll say, is I think you do a lot of things. Yeah. Here's how I'll put it. You operate on feeling. Ugh. Right? You are cold as ice. And, right? See, that's the thing. Yeah. That's what we're doing. We're, do, we're, we're back to the polarization. Yeah. Of, but I think you are a person who you feel most comfortable being in the situation, experiencing a feeling, and then moving forward based on that. Uh-huh. Which is why I think you've excelled in improv, quickly uh-huh. become one of the best improvisers, period, in a short amount of time. Thank you. I think that's why, creatively, when you have a project that you're at the helm of, that's why these long-term projects work, because moment-to-moment, just about feeling out the next move and the next piece of it. Um, But so much of projects and plans and big things is like, it feels awful and horrible sometimes. Uh Like, so much of any big project feels like it's a failure and it's not going to work and it's a disaster. Uh-huh. And you just have to have a plan that you're like, this feels bad, but the plan is sound, so I'm just going to walk ahead blindly and then suddenly it gets better and the plan works. Yeah. But I feel like because you're a person that operates on feeling in the moment, uh-huh. you choose projects that allow yourself to feel in the moment and react to it in a way that is like uh, one-to-one. Like, And anytime it feels bad or it feels like this like uh like it couldn't work you're like wait let me adjust this plan so that it feels like something i have i have a grasp on right now uh-huh. which makes sense but i feel like so many big plans require it to feel like the world is falling apart and that it's there's no way it's going to work yeah like i have a panic attack before every big project mm-hmm. 
And like, I think the thing that, that essentially gets me to get stuff done is I'll be like, oh my God, this is all falling apart. This is a disaster. I'm going to lose everything I've worked for right now. Yeah. Well, then that means I have to fix it like this, this, and this, or else I'm in big trouble. And then like, the thing gets done. But there is always a feeling of just like, this is a disaster uh-huh. for everything, even things that end up being great. Yeah. Which I feel like is counter to the way that you work. Yeah, I feel like I... Because you're a person that's like, I hate this circumstance. I'm going to take myself out of it. Yeah. In a sense, like, you're like, everyone, I'm at this party that I don't like it. I think I'm going to go home now. Like, like you re- I feel like you rarely disrespect yourself enough to remain in a situation that you dislike. It's true. Um, I try as much as I can to not be in circumstances I dislike. Which is why I feel like you find, like, I think that is also a piece of why you're a person that loves nostalgia and so that is you find the things that you like over time and you mm-hmm. hold on to them. Yeah. And then you repeat them because these are things that you know are comforting and work for you. And so it's like... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. Um, I definitely do that. I definitely... I definitely have tried to keep myself out of situations that make me feel panicky and stressed. Yes. And generally that's worked for me. I mean, like, I legitimately, when I just got that email a little bit ago, I legitimately felt like uh, I was maybe going to shut down to the point where I was going to be like, JD, we got to stop the podcast today. Like, I had that, I had that impulse where I'm like, if this goes as badly as I think it's about to, at bare minimum, there was going to be a solid 20 minutes of me like, hold on, I have to email all the people that I've asked to be in the show, and then I need to cancel the Facebook event, and then I need to uh, tell everyone it's not happening. Could have taken like 20 minutes, though. Uh, but it would have stressed you out enough that you would have... And then I would have been in a miserable state afterwards. I'm still... Now I'm like, what's the next email I'm going to get telling me I can't do this show this Saturday? Sure. Like, now I feel like I've literally had everyone who possibly could have done it, except, I guess, all the people who've agreed to... I, I can deal with the cancellation of the people who've agreed to be in the show. It's just the physical location of the show. Sure. Being the one thing that sort of has power over me at this point. Like, if everyone else canceled, I'd be like, all right, I guess I'll just do a one-man George Lucas show and hope it's not yeah. the worst. Uh but that would not be good. Yeah. Well, like recently when we were uh, without, I don't know what I'm allowed to say or not say, and we talk about the uh, the Gethard Show pilot yeah. that we taped recently, but when I was doing the audience warm-up stuff, and I had, because everyone was so busy preparing for the taping for the actual thing, for the actual show, yeah. I didn't want to bug people too much the day before with like questions, because everyone was like focusing on... Yeah. The heart of it, which is like, let's do the show. And so I was trying to find out, like, how much do I need to do tomorrow? Like, how, what should I be thinking of? And I was getting, like, a couple different messages in terms of, like, some people thought, oh, it'll be like a couple minutes. Uh, Parrish at one point, I think, told me it would be 20 to 40 minutes. And I was yeah. like, are you serious? Like, are you really telling me I've got 40 minutes to fill? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. And then... Uh, and then there are other people who would be like, ask Parrish. I'm like, well, Parrish just told me I had a 40-minute slot where I had to do something. Yeah, and it ended up being, what, like an hour, hour and a half. 
It was different than I think anyone thought because it ended up being a lot, but it was sort of like split up yeah. throughout it. But I burned through a lot of, like I had material that I thought, well, I'll do this for a few minutes and then I have a couple things to do throughout the thing. I burned through all of that before in the first segment. I started thinking like, well, I'm not saving this for the yeah. first commercial break. I'm just going to do it now. And I burned through all of that and I looked over at Jersey Dave and Jersey Dave made the stretch yeah. symbol signal to me. And I was like, really? Because I, I was sort of thinking at that point, that, that someone might just ask me to stop. Yeah. That someone might just be like, it's not working. Like, let's get someone more charismatic yeah. up here to do this. But and you know, everyone loved it. You know, I was getting it, notes from people that were like, who is that Connor guy? But there was a f- period of a f- couple minutes where it wasn't working. There was a period, and it may not have been noticeable to anyone but me, if that makes sense. There was a period of like a minute or two where I was very aware that like, I was aware that we- that I was bombing, but the weird thing about it is I'm not even saying that the audience has started to feel that I was bombing. Yeah. It's sort of like they don't know it yet, but right now if I don't fix what's happening, it's almost like if we're in the room and I've started destroying the building over and you don't know it yet. Yeah. But you're going to know it once this building starts to collapse. Yeah. Um, and I was like... But I was not nervous about it. I, was, I genuinely had the thought of like, oh, they may not know it yet, but this is not working. And I just need to fix this. Like, I need to figure out something that works. Because if I don't, the feeling I'm going to have, they're going to start realizing it. And then that's going to feed back onto me. And it's going to be like a feedback loop yeah. of this bit not working. And it's, it is the... I would say... <clears throat> It is one of the few areas where I do feel like... Because I'll also say, yeah. just for people that don't know, Connor was doing our warm-up and between commercial break, audience engagement entertainment stuff to keep the audience excited and a yeah. part of things. And I will say that there's a lot of areas where I feel like I really fall short or I don't... I'm not... But one area where I do feel like pretty good, like pretty confident is like I don't feel I don't feel bad if I'm doing poorly in front of an audience. Like it doesn't make yeah. me panic. Like I felt bad just now getting that email because I'm not comfortable as an organizer of things. Yeah. Like if I'm having to organize like we're all meeting to do this thing, that's the worst for me. Like if I was going to meet we're all going to meet at a restaurant and then they found out the restaurant was closed. Yeah. To me, that's worse than forgetting my lines on stage. Yeah. If I forget my lines on stage, I'll be like, well, I better fix this. Whereas if it's like, oh, we were all going to go to that restaurant and it's closed on Sundays. I got to call everybody back. I don't know how to do it. You know, I would just, I am proud of the fact that I'm like, oh, I don't really panic in front of an audience. And I'm aware that that's like a thing that's stressful for most people. Like, I could get up and talk in front of an audience and it feels like, as easy as talking to you. Right. Like, it, there's almost no distinction to me. Like, if I get up in front of an audience and I start talking, even if they don't like me, it doesn't really bother me. Right. Like, I did a Turco show real early on when I started, like, the second UCB touring company improv show that I did was uh, at uh, NYU, like, uh, SUNY Old Westbury or something. Yeah. It was like a, and we got there and it was like, 
almost no one showed up for this show. It was like a student show that no one had promoted. Like no, it was like a, four college students, but there was no awareness of the show. Yeah, and the four of us who did the show, it was like me, Darcy Carden. Uh, Matt Fisher and uh, Winston Knoll were the four people. I mean, I this was like my second. I'd never really met any of them before, so I didn't know them. Yeah. And we went up. We did this improv show, and the guy running the uh, event was this like guy in his like late forties, early fifties maybe, and he had like gray hair and a ponytail. And he came up to us and he was like, uh, "Hey." Uh, uh, I used to watch your uh, your show you guys had back on Comedy Central back in the day. It actually filmed uh, in a neighborhood near where I was working. And he was referring to the Upright Citizens Brigade team. The Amy Polar. Yeah. Was on. As if it was like, we all work on that show because yeah. we're doing a touring comedy yeah. improv show decades later. Um, and he what'd sort of, you, you Were you like, oh, thank you? Yeah, we were just like, oh, yeah, really? Oh, cool. Um, and he just kept talking about it as if we were like, yeah, is that show yeah. still on? Oh, you're talking about, uh, yeah, with that Thursday shoot we did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this guy started complaining about how the students uh, complain about everything here. Like, we try to do events for these kids, and they don't, they don't appreciate it. Yeah. And he was saying, like, uh, I mean, what do you want from me? I booked you a comedy show. I booked you a rock show. Uh, they don't like anything. And he said, they're going to show up late. There's not going to be anybody here when the show starts. They're going to be late. Like, all right. So you had to sit in this like electrical room behind the stage and they didn't have any of the food we we're supposed to have or anything. Yeah. It was like really and he started like bad mouthing his like um coworker who was yeah. like he was like, Ah, oh, she thinks she's running this, I'm running this. Like he kept saying like he was bad mouthing everyone else. It's clear this guy was like really bitter. But it's time for the show and there's no one there. There's no students. He's like, I told you they'd be late. Literally no one or like two? No one in the audience. Not a person. Right. And so we were actually thinking, like, how long do we wait before we just drive back and get paid for a show we didn't do? Like, yeah. we were actually kind of excited at the idea that we just, like, maybe we don't do a show and we just drive back and we get paid anyway. Yeah. And then about 15 minutes after the show was supposed to start, he's like, now oh, they're starting to turn up. And he goes, okay, now you got an audience. He goes, I told you they'd be late. And so we, he introduces us and we go out. And if you picture, like, a lecture hall style stage where the, yeah. the audience is all Above, uh, like right. arching up away from the, the stages that lower than the audience. And it's there's three quadrants of seating. And I would say it was at least a 500-seat theater, maybe more. It's a big, yeah. big lecture hall space. And we go out, and there's maybe in, let's say quadrant A is stage left, quadrant B is center stage, quadrant C is stage right. Right. There's maybe five to ten people scattered individually throughout quadrants B and C. Right. And there's maybe about 20-some students all at the very back of quadrant A. So the stage left side, they're all at the back. And we're four white improvisers. And almost all of the students that are at the very back quadrant are all black students. Right. And they're all, they seem instantly, like I walked out and I thought, I think I know what's going to happen just based on the fact that you see a bunch of college students who they all seemed like they were they were sort of like we're going to have we're going to have to impress them. Yeah. They're not in a mode where they want to see the show. They're cuz they're seated so far away. Yeah. Then I'm like these are a bunch of people who were hanging out 
someone told them to come here or made them come here or there's some reason, but they're not here because they want to see what's happening on the stage yeah. or they wouldn't be sitting all the way at the very back of the yeah. stage. So I walk out and I instantly thought like, okay, like this show is not going to be that well received. Yeah. And we started doing the show and we you start out a tour coach show typically with an audience interview and the audience interview uh, is basically just get an audience member to come up and one of the improvisers will start asking them questions and you're not really trying to be funny at that point. You're just trying to generate information to do your improv stuff. Yeah. But if you have an audience that maybe hasn't seen improv before, doesn't know what improv is, this isn't like especially funny. Like it's not... Right. They think this is the show. They think this is the show. And sometimes you'll get a funny interviewer, but more often than not, you'll get like the interviewee will be like, like this interview was not a funny interview. It was Matt Fisher was trying his best, but it was someone who he was like, so uh, what are you studying here? Um, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of, I don't really have a major yet. Okay. Well, like what was something you like to do? Well, um, maybe fashion. Okay. Well, what do you like about fashion? Well, I don't know. And so it was just like there's not a lot of material being generated. And then he's like, so do you have any jobs? Like, do you work? Do you do? do you, uh, yeah, uh, I work at, you know, and there's like, okay, so what's your job? And so this interview was like going for a while. And there right. were, it, there's nothing that a non-improv savvy audience would have to, like, if you think you're going to watch this for an hour, like just an interview with the, one of the other people who showed up to the show, you don't necessarily think this is going to be that entertaining. So I'm on the back line, and I, I was the only one in this group of improvisers who noticed this happened the first time, which is that one of the people in the back of the audience started going, comedy show, comedy show. And I was like, oh man, I can't disagree. Like, it doesn't seem like a comedy show yet. And I was like, I hope that they like stick with them. I hope that we're able to like, maybe we can win them over, but we don't have them. Yeah. Like we don't have them now. And we started doing scenes and it was sort of like the first time that I noticed, like, I'd never thought about it before, but I thought I could tell the difference between our good scenes and our bad scenes without getting any feedback from the audience while actually getting hostile indifference from yeah. the audience. And I'm like, this is a good scene. If we were doing this in front of a packed house of students who were open to it, yeah. uh, this would be going well. And then we do another scene, I'd be like, this isn't a good scene. This wouldn't be yeah. going well even if we did this uh, at the most friendly UCB hometown yeah. audience. And I felt really good about the fact that I'm like, oh, I do know the difference. I don't need the audience to tell me whether this is good or not. Yeah. But I also was like, it didn't feel bad to me because I thought we didn't lose the audience. Like, for whatever reason, this has to do with like the politics of the way the school is running their student events. Like, they're not explaining to the students what it is. They're not booking the events toward what the students want. Right. And I started re remembering the, what the guy said earlier, like, they're never happy. I booked you a, a comedy show. I booked you a rock show. And I'm like, what rock group did he book for these students? You know, like, yeah. I can easily imagine this guy was like, he's booking improv comedy, and there's not like a workshop scheduled or any, there's not like an improv presence on campus. Yeah. What rock band did he book for this group of like 20 year old students? Right. You know, and I'm like, oh man, you hate the students and we're on stage like paying for it uh, because you don't know how to program towards right. anything your students might actually want to see. Right. The, the audience gradually just left over the course of, the, we did an hour long show uh, to almost no laughter, 
no applause because they didn't really know that when your scene ends, like, it's time to apply. Like, you yeah. just felt it wasn't like, if I was a student and I'd never seen an improv show, I wouldn't necessarily know, like, yeah. Uh, if I'd never been a, a, I mean, I would have known because I was always around theater as a kid, so I knew, like, oh, you clap for anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I actually felt comfortable the whole hour because I was like, this is as bad as you can bomb. Like, this audience thinks we are the least funny people. Like, this audience actually thinks that it's embarrassing that we refer to ourselves as comedy. Yeah. Um, whereas if, if any of us had gone out and done stand-up, we probably would have been fine. Right. Uh, we probably would have been able And I did pride myself on, towards the end, there were a couple of times where I'm like, I started trying to figure out, what can I do that will make these students laugh? Right. And there were a couple of times where, like, I would, like, anytime we went blue, like, we did a Jenga scene that had to do with, like, sex or something. Yeah. And that was, like, it was toward the end, and the audience and the students were, like, they loved it, because they were, like, for the first time we were doing something that was, like, yeah. appeal to them. But it is interesting when you realize that it doesn't matter to you if you bomb. Yeah. Michael Caine put it best the other day. I think I might have said this in the first episode, too. Uh, Michael Caine, the actor that we know, or Michael Caine, the actor who was in the Batman movies? Yeah, we did this uh, yeah. last episode. It's always... I don't know how he lives with it. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know how he lives with it. It would he doesn't be like, go by Mike. Doesn't go by Michael J. Kane. He goes by Michael Kane, and we all say it. If my name was Robert Duvall, I would I would have changed it. And also, we don't say it. Michael Kane thinking about the similarity. It's like he's just his own person with his own identity. Yeah. But I just always remember when I say that to be like, oh wait, no, I'm sorry, not the Michael Kane you're thinking about. And they're both great. It would be easier if even one of them was awful. Yeah. You know, if, like, Michael Caine, the actor who's successful, was, like, the worst, then we could be like, no, no, the good Michael Caine. Yeah. Or if Michael Caine, the improviser, was a bad improviser that we were yeah. friends with, we'd be like, yeah, you know, Michael Caine, he tries, you know. Yeah. No, it's... and They're both great. And they spell their names differently. And they would be great in a movie together. That would be a weird movie. Michael Caine and Michael Caine. One you've heard of, one you'll get to know. All right, Michael, what are we doing here right now? All right. I can't imitate Michael Caine, yeah. but I wish I could because uh, he sounds like Alan Alda. He says people tell me he sounds like Alan Alda. Yeah. Um, I wish I could imitate him. Yeah, I can't either. Um, manage expectations. He said all of life is managed expectations. That's what Michael Caine said? Yeah. All happiness is managed expectations. I, that makes so much sense. Because it's like, you know, you came out there and you're like, yep, this is going to go poorly. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm expecting that to happen, and I'm going to do it. If and you went out there and were like, I'm going to kill tonight, and then yeah. didn't, you would have been like, ugh. But also, I will specify, because I know you think I'm a little defeatist, and I think I am. Uh, I don't think you're, I don't think I it overwhelms be. you. I think you just I sometimes can be. Can be. Uh, I find life exhausting. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's it. <laughs> But, uh, but I within that show, I didn't give up. I set myself little fun goals of like, right. I bet I can make them laugh before we get to the end of this. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to be anybody's favorite comedian. You know yeah, like, you were going like, to. I knew that they you weren't, weren't signing love, autographs in the, the night. They weren't going to love the show, but I bet I was like, I bet we could get a couple laughs out of them by the end of it. We can. A couple of legitimate, they think it's funny, and it was like a, 
But manage expectations, you're right, because I, that is so true. It was in the context of uh, just G-chatting with him. He was going on a road trip. Uh-huh. And he has two young children. Yeah. And him and his wife were taking them on a road trip yeah. down to like Texas or something. It was like an 18-hour car ride or something. Yeah. And I was like, you know, their one child's like a baby. So like baby, whatever, yeah. doesn't really know what's going on. Their other child is, he's got to be four, three or four now. Uh-huh. And, um, no, probably three or something like that. Anyways, I was like, how is he going to deal with this car trip? How do you deal as a parent with a kid and being yeah. like, putting a kid like, just any kid at that age in a car for 18 hours? And he goes, manage expectations. Like, he's a kid, he was like, he was like, he's a kid who like, when he knows what to expect, he's fine. He just doesn't like being in a situation where he doesn't know what, what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And he's like, and then he's like, he's like, all of life is just, all happiness is just manage expectations. Uh-huh. And he's like, and that's how I parent, and that's how I try to, and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If the kid knows he's going to be sitting down for a long time, he's going to just sit down for a long time. Yeah. But if you're like, no, it's not going to be that long, it's not going to be that long. Yeah, if you lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is amazing, because even your own expectations, like I was thinking... Last night, I, it took me so long to get home from Brooklyn on the train. And oh, yeah, because what did you take? Everyone was telling me to take a taxi. I was like, just take a taxi. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, I can't do it. I'm going to take the train. So I took an N to Queensboro. I took a taxi there. Uh, I took an N to Queensboro, and then I sat in the cold for what felt like... could. There was a point where I was in the cold for so long sitting there that I felt like... Maybe this is just the way it is from now on for me. <laughs> like, that I started to feel, I was so tired and cold that I thought, like, maybe this is what it feels like if you freeze to death outside, that everything just slows. It never stops. But you're just there forever. And you just... The amount of times I've heard you say, maybe this is how it's going to be from now on. Well, because at some point, it will be. I don't think so. No, at some point, there is a moment where... It all comes to an end, and you're like, well, I guess this is it for me. Yeah, but that's death, not this is how it's going to be the rest of the time. No, but like... I guess I'm a guy who just... Well, I first, I think I, the first time I experienced it was probably the insomnia story that I told you where when I was a kid and I couldn't f- sleep for a week. Right. And I really was like, I guess I don't sleep anymore. Yeah. And it was the mo- it was the one of the top ten worst feelings I've ever had as a child wandering around my dark house for a week at night. Yeah. And I'm just like, I always took sleep for granted as just something that happened. And maybe I never fall asleep anymore. Yeah. And I just have to roam the earth at night. There is a guy who that happened to. Really? His, he got, like, it's like, he was shot in the head. They took the bullet out. He lived. A part of the brain was damaged to double sleep. And then he just did not need to sleep. And he had no adverse health effects. He just didn't sleep. Part of me likes, actually... Wouldn't that be amazing? If I didn't have the sleep feeling, yeah. if my body just didn't need it, your life's doubled. Yeah. And you, you can just be like, oh, I, just I like, mean, sleep but, feels good though. I will say I would miss, I would miss the, the, uh, <sighs> the feeling of giving in to sleep is one of the great feelings. It's amazing the, the you know how like there's certain things that are like, uh, 
everyone praises and there's other things that are like, why does everyone not praise this? Yeah. It's just as good. That uh, so much is made of like sex. Yeah. But very little is made of other physical things that happen to you. All that like, I think because sex, there's like people feel that pursuit. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get it. I don't know if this is going to happen. And there's yeah. that sense of, of competition and achievement or something yeah. that goes into it. Whereas like sleeping and going to the bathroom and there's other things that it's like, well, these are available to you regularly until they're not like the second going to the bathroom becomes a problem that's a nightmare for a person yes the second someone can't go to sleep then you start noticing like oh i had a great run of like like i'm so grateful that i fall asleep easy the only time i have sleep problems is when my schedule gets right. in the way of it yeah but sleep itself giving into sleep was that a dig at this podcast <laughs> no i actually i wanted to start this podcast at 9 a.m and i would have been very unhappy if we stuck to that because I felt very bad at 9 a.m. this morning and felt good that I got to sleep a little later. Yeah. You were right about that. Yeah. I'm but not, I'll feel bad tomorrow because we're going to go late into the night with this one. I'm not going to go that late. Six. You have to wake up at 6? Yeah. That's not bad. It's not great. Um, we'll be done at midnight. I know. Um, we'll be done at Chris Hardwick. That's right. We should tweet at them about the uh, 12 hour day, see if we can get it on their show. I don't I, know how it works. I, I despise that. Really? What? No, I don't despise it. The tweeting to get onto the show? Yeah. Get your joke on the show? It's weird to me. But you're, 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 you're the director of an interactive uh, TV show that does things. Yeah, uh, yeah. never mind. I'm going to take back everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was going to say before is... Uh, what was I going to say? The, 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 oh, last night. So I'm waiting in the cold. Manager, I'm waiting in the cold for sleep. Uh, or no, for a train, and I'm kind of like not wanting to fall asleep, but also wanting to escape the cold feeling. And what was really so bad about it was that when you're waiting for a train and you have those things that tell you how long till the next train is, yeah. if it had said, the next train's in 90 minutes, well, then I would have gotten a taxi. But if it said 20 minutes, I would have been like, okay, I'm waiting for 20 minutes, and I would have yeah. been fine. But not knowing, and just waiting, and just yeah. looking in the same spot, waiting for a train to appear... And every time I heard a noise that could be a train or tricked myself that a flash of light was the train about to appear, yeah. I would get so disappointed. I would get so unhappy because I just didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what, what was realistic for me to hope for. And if I'd just known when the train was going to arrive, that's all I wanted. Yeah. Just like, give me an idea of what is going to happen. It's true. Are we going to have to edit out you saying that thing before? No, I mean, I was mostly just laughing because how quickly you had a reversal. On you? Well, how quickly you just convinced me. Yeah. Like, my judgment of that interaction yeah. came from a place of not being like, oh, it's achieving and playing with the same things that I think are interesting, but because it happens in a different flavor. Like instead of, yeah. I think the only difference is that like what I like is genuine interactivity where it's like people connecting and like yeah. influencing things and that's like, if your joke's the funniest joke, yeah. you'll get a little uh, airtime. But yeah. it still works the same way. It's still people engaging actively yeah. with it and I appreciate that. And that one's a meritocracy. Yeah, I'm into that. Uh, I've only actually seen one episode of that show because I watched the episode the other day that had uh, Abby and Alana and Hannibal Burris. So it was like the Broad City episode of Mi- At Midnight. Oh, I haven't, yeah. I, I hadn't seen it before, and I really enjoyed it. Now, I don't know how much of it was because it was like, oh, like... Uh, I, it's I like, know these people, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that... 
I don't know how much of it would be like if I was watching an episode and I didn't care about the people who were on it. Yeah. But it was a good first impression for me because it's three really funny guests on the show, all all being really funny on what's like a, a comedy quiz show. Uh, I assume everyone who listens to this podcast watches Broad City. You were on it. I was on it. That's that's why I'm. I didn't see your episode. You hadn't? No. I was really really. I mean. You have a speaking scene, right? We can watch it and do commentary on it later if you want. Okay. Would that be a fun thing to do later on in the episode? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd want to see it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I wouldn't mind doing that. That's fun. Um, well, let's table that. And maybe we'll Are you wa- in the full episode or just a scene? I'm, I'm in one scene, and I think my character... Because there's a lot of... Uh, Recurring characters. And Well, they have a lot of great guest stars that you'd recognize on the show so far. You have a lot of people like Rachel Dratch and Fred Armisen and Janine yeah. Garofalo. And then there's also UCB people who are in smaller roles. And, and there's people like uh, UCB veterans who are maybe not yet like, nationally known as well, but that like, comedy people know, like Neil Casey and Chris Gethard and people like that, who have like, good-sized parts. Right. My part in my episode is almost like mathematically, it's as big, I think, as you can get before they would have had to bump up to a more recognizable person. Like, I right. think my character is, like, conveying some important information that sort of sets the tone for the episode. And I think if I had, if that character had had ten more lines, I think they would have been like, oh, we need to go get, like, Bill Hader or someone to do yeah. this part. But I think it was just short enough that it would be like, if we have Bill Hader do it, you'll lose ten seconds of audience attention with them just registering. Like, oh, my God, it's Bill Hader. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, so it was like as big as someone like me could get, I think, because I think if you get any bigger than that, uh, they'd be like, no, let's get someone that's more bang for your buck out of it. Right. So I was really happy to be the lucky beneficiary of the, uh, the mathematics of that. I mean... <laughs> I'm overthinking it, you're thinking. Well, I just love, I love that you can't just be like, yeah, I'm a good actor and they wanted me to be in this role because I was good for this role. I like that you're like, well, I was clearly the side effect of this mathematical anomaly that meant it was okay for me to be in it. No, no, I mean, like, functionally, it made sense to put me in there because you don't want to distract. Like, sometimes a cameo can be distracting. Yeah. And, like, if you watch, like, The Thin Red Line, that movie. Yeah. When George Clooney shows up in the last five minutes of that movie. Right. And he just like doesn't do anything dramatic. He's just like the, an officer barking orders at people. Yeah. It's a failure. That's a bad effect because you're just so aware. It's like, oh, George Clooney's in this? It's almost over. Oh, he didn't do anything. I, you don't even remember what his character did because the cameo, whereas like, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen American Hustle, there's a cameo in that movie. That's very effective. Yeah. Have you seen it? I haven't. Still haven't seen it. Okay. There's a camera. I won't say who it is. But for those longtime listeners who've also seen American Hustle, uh, tweet if you agree that it was uh, an effective thing to not know that actor was going to be in there. I personally think... Tweet hashtag American effective or hashtag American ineffective. Yeah. You read At the one two HR JD Connor. That's right. Um... I personally think sometimes, like, like when the movie Seven came out, uh, the identity of uh, I'm not going to worry about spoiling a movie that old. No. Um, but the the fact that Kevin Spacey was in it, but he yeah. wasn't credited, and that was before Kevin Spacey was a household name. Like I remember thinking, it was 
weird that they held back his identity. Yeah. But it was really effective for me. That's actually a movie that I'm really proud of my first day reaction to because people remember the movie Seven as a classic now. They remember it as like, ooh, David Fincher's right. uh, uh, breakthrough movie. But it actually got pretty mediocre reviews when it came out. In 19, I think 1995 it came out. and Was that David Fincher's breakthrough movie? Yeah, he directed Alien 3, but he the studio had messed with him on that and he didn't get his cut that he <laughs> wanted. And Seven was like the movie that put him on the map. Right. He had Seven and then The Game and then Fight Club. But Seven, all the reviews the day it came out, I remember all the reviews were like, this is the most cliched cop movie you've ever seen. It's the same old thing of a cop who's about to retire and his new rookie partner. And they were saying like, this is like every cop you've ever seen. And my friend Jeff Falzone and I went to see that movie that night. And we couldn't believe how wrong the reviewers were. Right. And like, they don't see that this movie is doing those things on purpose because the final third of this movie is so completely surprising and unlike most cop movies up yeah. to that point that they were deliberately being like, yep, we're like every cop movie. Right. And then at the end, they're like, you know how you feel safe watching a movie that certain things won't happen? This is the movie where those things are happening. And I remember as an audience member feeling like when there's that, that last scene in the desert at the end of Seven, I get like little like goosebumps when I think about that scene because it does feel like one of those rare times when I've been watching a movie where I feel like there's an unspoken contract often between an audience and, and the movie that it's like, well... We'll do some stuff, but some stuff we're probably not going to do. Yeah. And almost all movies, like, you know, if you go see You've Got Mail, you know the odds of Tom Hanks murdering Meg Ryan in that movie are, there's no chance that happens. Yeah. And there's no way that's this movie. Yeah. If that happened, you wouldn't know how to process it. Now, Seven is a gritty, grim, serial killer movie. So there is a feeling that certain things, you know, bad things will happen. But there's, I just didn't expect that ending at all. Yeah. And when you watch it, uh, every beat about the way that final scene is played, including like all these weird details, like they go out to the desert and there's those windmills and, and there's like the weird trailer with a dog. Yeah. And everything feels like it has significance and you don't know, it sets up that feeling of you're walking in a situation you don't know where the danger in the room is. Right. And then the van shows up and they're like, what's the deal with this? And Morgan Freeman runs over and he takes the box from the guy and the guy runs off and then he opens up the box and then he says, uh, he opens up and you see like a little bit of blood on the box and there's that part where he says like, oh no, oh no, John Doe's got the upper hand. Right. And you're just watching and you're like, what's, what is happening? Like what is happening in this? Yeah. That movie got mixed mediocre reviews right and i moved to england and it came out like six months later in england and by the time it got to england everyone had gone to see it and realized no this movie like yeah. does stuff that other movies haven't done up to now and by the time it got to england the buzz on it was like this movie's great and when it came out in england all the reviews were like this movie's a classic it's like yeah. they they realized that like the american critics who had like the first stab at it had fucked it up right and they'd got like most of the time the conventionalism on a movie is generally right yeah like great movies generally like 12 years a slave everyone's like this movie's powerful and then a bad movie comes out and was like it doesn't work and usually you kind of know yeah but it's fun to me when every now and then like a group of 
people just get it wrong and then they realize and like five years later they're like the seven's, seven's coming out as like a Criterion DVD. Yeah, I'm trying to th- think of other movies like that. Where the, like the initial reaction is just wrong. You can hear about a lot where you go back in time where it's like, yeah, no one really cared about It's a Wonderful Life when it came out. Yeah, or like, uh, what was uh, what was the movie that didn't win Best Picture? Well, like Citizen Kane didn't. Right, Citizen Kane. The get... Muppet movie didn't. And then one of Kubrick's movies did right? Didn't right? Oh, most of his didn't. Like all the ones that are thought of as classics. Right, but there's one where it was like up against like Raging Bull and. Oh well, Raging Bull lost out to Ordinary People. Right, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah, the Best Picture Oscars generally are, uh, the winners are generally like a list of okay movies a lot of the times, but a lot of them are, you look and you're like, oh, the movie everyone now watches from that year is The Shawshank Redemption. There's a great article about like the best summer in movie history. Did you ever read that? Which one was it? Like, it was like the summer of like 87 or something. It was one weekend, like, it had like the weekend by, um, all right, I gotta find it now. Yeah. It's weird when you look at what came out at certain times and you're like, wow, that Can was I use a your great. Computer? Yeah. Um, I'm in the kitchen while JD is using my computer. And I'm going to uh, yes. rinse these blueberries um, so that they are clean. And, and JD and I are going to share some blueberries if he's interested. So that's the noise you hear right there. That's me. Preparing a bowl of fresh blueberries that we're going to eat together. Again, only if he's interested. I will gladly eat them all if he is not. Okay. You find anything out, JD? Um, I feel like we learn a lot during the podcast, and I feel like that's something that isn't always true of podcasts. I don't want to badmouth other podcasts. Other podcasts are great. But I do like that we learn things during the podcast and that we discover things. And I think JD would agree with me. Let me see. I can't find the exact article. Best summer movie seasons? Oh, you got one of those slideshow articles. I, Can I, I, I hope that slideshow articles become a thing of the past at some point, right? Yeah. Because we all like the content of a lot of those articles, but I really hate clicking. I hate it when it's like, here's 25 movies you'll like to f- find out about. And you're like, oh, I'm going to have to watch, I'm going to have to click through 25 pages to get this. What the heck? Uh... Mm. The, right now, listeners, this is just a little momentary pause in the action as we... Try to find out what was the best summer in movie history. Um, what was it? Sorry, still looking. Almost, I feel like I'm close. Mm-hmm. J 
JD, searching on the internet, trying to find information. I can tell you don't, what. Don't you hate when you. F- when you know what you're looking for. You and know you there's an article that exists. Yeah. You can't find it. There's all these like copycat And ones. you can't think of the exact wording that's going to lead you. It's like I always were, I always think like I'm grateful that the things that I'm looking up tend to be uh, relatively easy to find. I don't know what, if you were like a fan of the band, you know? Right. The, know, the, the group, the yeah. band. Uh, I would think like, oh, it must be hard. Like you can't set a Google alert for them. You know? Yeah. You have to f- figure out clever ways around it because they're just a common name. Like people who were the fan of the, ba- of the band Live, I would just be like, there must be fans that just find it incredibly frustrating to try to keep track of what new information there is because you can't search for them. Yeah. Uh, um. I can tell you what my best season of movies was, what my personal favorite season of movies. Okay, hit me. Which was uh, the the final months of 1993. Okay. Um, let me look and see if I can get um, what came out. But I just remember... I believe it was my freshman semester in college at MU. And I think in a three-month or two-month period, the movies that came out, uh, Schindler's List came out, The Piano, Shortcuts, Remains of the Day, Pulp Fiction. Was that the same year? Or am I conflating two years? Maybe Pulp Fiction was the next year. Let me look it up. Fucking thing. You're having trouble. Uh, Ed Wood, The Shawshank Redemption. Um, I'm going to look up Best Movies of 1993 and see what comes up. Um, what else came out in that time period? No, I, th- I think Pulp Fiction was the next year. Of the top 100 movies in 1993. That was a pretty good two-year period anyway. Um, oh, In the Name of the Father? I think came out at the same time. The Daniel Day-Lewis movie. You can see. Yeah. 1993 was a good year all around. Like, um, if I look at the best movies of 1993... Schindler's List, Groundhog Day, Jurassic Park, The Fugitive, The Nightmare Before Christmas, In the Line of Fire, Shortcuts, uh, The Piano. I think maybe it was the next... Ah, it was like a solid two-year run where it's like a lot of my favorite movies came out in that time period. What are you trying to find? I believe it's 1984. 
what is this? There's one thing where it broke down weekend to weekend, like what the movies were. It's so bothering me that I can't figure it out. Oh, God, this is killing me. Can I close a couple of your uh, tabs? I think your mm. Safari's... Uh, no, I have those tabs open because I need to go back to the stories. Yubnub you need? What's Yubnub? Yeah, I need Yubnub. Don't try to humiliate me. <laughs> I just like that you have a tab for Yubnub open at well, the ready. I was going to try to get a musical guest who would perform that song. <laughs> who would do that? Um, well, you know, there's English lyrics to that song. Do you really? know that? What are you doing? Don't do that. Why? Because, I don't know. What? It just said your web pages aren't responding. Would you like to continue? But if I have tabs open that have stuff that might get cleared out? I don't think that's the case. JD, you don't know what you're messing with. Fine, I'll stop. No. I'm done. I'm done. Forget it. Let, uh, long-time listeners, forget it. Don't worry about it. No, JD, don't do that. This <laughs> is our first fight during the podcast. <laughs> Go ahead. You've already no, I'm so frustrated because I can't find it. It was uh, 1984, though. Um, you have some blueberries? I'll take a, I'll take a blueberry or two. All right, or three or four. Can we make you your own little bowl of them? Or I was going to share, but maybe that's no, more practical. Um, the nineteen eighty four movie weekends that brought up Weekend Pass, which is a movie that came out in nineteen eighty four. You would not have been happy with these uh, box office results. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop. I, I'm just going to the top grossing films of 1984 because I think that'll give us our. But it was like what I liked was that like. It was like one weekend was like. <clears throat> Karate Kid Two versus Gremlins versus Flash Gordon. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters both came out that year. Yeah. So, like, the top two movies of the year were both comedies that also played with other genres. Like, Beverly Hills Cop was a comedy. Right. But it was also very much a legit cop thriller. I was about to bring up a story that I told in the first episode. About what? Chris Farley's last performance. Last, late, late, uh, Tonight Show appearance. Uh Uh-huh. But someone, I just remembered, I was about to say it, and then it's like, oh, yeah, someone tweeted about that. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Can't bring that up again. Yeah, 1984, the top movies of the year were Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, right. Footloose, Romance in the Stone, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Splash, Purple Rain, Amadeus, Tightrope. Have you ever seen Tightrope? I haven't. What's Tightrope? I don't even know what Tightrope is. It's fascinating when you go on a list of that and it's all like things you know and then Tightrope, which was a Clint Eastwood movie. It's like uh, 16 Blocks. Yeah. Clint Eastwood, Genevieve Bujold, and Dan Hedaya is third build on this. Dan Hedaya is a character actor you'll recognize as Carla's ex-husband on Cheers, who was also like the, the dad in To Die For. Like He's the guy you recognize, but it's so weird to look and see that he's the third listed actor on this, the, the uh, 13th highest grossing movie of 1984. Weird. The Natural... Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, the movie in which, uh, um, what's her name from uh, Four Rings and Funeral? Um, who's the actress from that? Don't know from the name. From Groundhog Day. Um, Annie McDowell? Yeah. 
her dialogue was all re-looped by Glenn Close. Glenn Close. Really? In Greystoke Legend, Tarzan. Weird. All of her dialogue was redone. Then, at number 16, we have Revenge of the Nerds. Did we talk about that last time? No. That's a movie that ends with a rape. Oh, we did talk about this. Yep. Well, yeah. maybe we've talked about it in some other context. Did we talk about it on the podcast? I can't remember. But yes, yeah, that is. He takes her under false pretenses. He pretends to be her boyfriend. Right. Has sex with her. She. But it's a victory. They had sex. She loves it. James Bond style. This is another James Bond style movie rape. Yeah. And then he reveals, I'm not your boyfriend. I'm a nerd you don't like. But she does the math and she basically says, on the one hand, obviously any human being, any human being who someone had sex with them and then they find out it's not the person that it was pretending to be the person they knew that they consented to have sex with. Right. And then there's a reveal. I, I pretended to be that person. I'm not the person you thought I was. Any human being has to, their first reaction has to be, Shock and horror. I did something that I didn't think I was doing. You deceived me. You've committed a felony that you should do prison time for. No, but but women love. Well, in the universe, love of, getting sex in the universe. If you do it right, that's all they want. In the movie universe of James Bond and Revenge of the Nerds, the reality is that the female characters in those movies do a calculus, a mental calculus. Well, I have been working for a supervillain, and this has been my goal, and it does look like we're winning, but James Bond is so good at sexing me, maybe I'll betray everything I've worked for. Yeah. Likewise, at the end of Revenge of the Nerds, oh my God, I hate nerds. I'm not attracted to this person. He just deceived me and had sexual intercourse with me, pretending to be someone that I would have consented to have sex with. I don't know what the health ramifications of that are. He could have a venereal disease. Yeah. That nerd could have given me AIDS. But I've done the math in my head, and he was very good at it. Nerds! Oh, those bullies hate the fact that that nerd was so good at having sex that the human being that he raped, raped was willing to let it slide and, be, and they were to become lovers. Like, how do you become, how do you become lovers with someone who is willing to sink to those depths? Because if you're good at sex, man. I mean. Hey, dude, if you can fucking do it right, you can do it right. I don't know that I can think of a movie. I don't, I'm not sure that I can think of a popular movie. This was the 16th highest grossing movie of the year. A movie in our lifetime that has a message that is worse than the message of Revenge of the Nerds. Let's think about it. Because the message of that movie is, if you're good enough at sex, it doesn't matter whether they consented. You can pretend to be someone else. If he had not been as good at sex as he was, and there's the joke, she's like, how are nerds so good at sex, or whatever the line is. Yeah. And he says, like, well, I practice or something like that. I practice by myself all the time. Yeah. Which, I mean, that would help in terms of maybe stamina and control. Maybe. 
but we have to assume that there was a certain amount of like he has a natural inclination, like a yeah, he was like a prodigy of some sort. We have to assume he was good if we follow the rules of the movie because yeah, she was willing to overlook so much. But if he wasn't, would he be in prison that night? Yeah, if he had been mediocre, if it had been like that wasn't great, then he would have been like, oh no, I'm going to jail. Yeah. Um, it and is, also it's like what you said before, actually. It ties in what you said before about how there are no rules. Uh, you can break the rules because people are just people, right? Yeah. I guess that's what the, the makers of Revenge of the Nerds also believed in. They just chose to stretch it to its furthest yeah. level of credulity. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other movie I can think of that's more... Because I can think of movies that end with someone making the decision like, I'm going to kill this person anyway, where it's like a dark, bleak ending. Yeah. But I could get on board with that. So that's like a nihilistic kind of... No. Like, if I think of a movie that ends with like a... If I can think of a movie that ends with more of a... Like, our hero becomes an anti-hero because he ultimately, like, takes a life or something. Yeah. I find it so much easier to look at that and relate to it because I think, like, well, it's a dark world and sometimes there's no good choices. But the nerds in Revenge of the Nerds, they could have just chosen to, like, live life a decent way and eventually things would work out for them. They didn't have to do that. No, I mean... The stakes were not high enough to justify what he did. I mean, everyone in Revenge of the Nerds is... Because also, it's not, you know, comeuppance of the nerds. It's revenge of the nerds. Yeah. It's that they have a vengeance that they're seeking that is just as angry and... I don't remember what the preppies and the pretty girls did in that movie to those nerds. I'm sure they pranked them pretty hard. I think that was about it. But there's no way... I mean, there's no way that it was enough to... Warrant rape. Yeah. I'm going to look up Revenge of the Nerds and see what the plot synopsis of it was. If we did talk about Revenge of the Nerds in the last podcast, I know we didn't go into this amount of depth. So it's, we definitely didn't. It's still worth it for li- long-time listeners. We definitely didn't. Never see the movie Revenge of the Nerds. I'm going to say that. It's not necessary. It's not. There's not a useful... Uh, it's one of those movies where anything you need to know about it culturally, you can pick up from other people's references to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, everything that you need to know about it, you already know just having lived in a pop culture universe. Yeah, you'd be better off watching any episode of ER that Anthony Edwards was in than watching Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. Um, the plot. Best friends and nerds, Louis Skolnick and Gilbert Lowe, played by Robert Carradine and Anthony Edwards, enroll in Adams College to study computer science. This is the Wikipedia plot entry. The Alpha Betas, a fraternity to which many members of the school's football team belong, carelessly burn down their own house and seize the freshman dorm for themselves. The college allows the displaced freshmen living in the gymnasium to join fraternities or move on to other housing. Lewis, Gilbert, and other outcasts who cannot join a fraternity renovate a dilapidated house to serve as their own fraternity house. The Alpha Betas and their associated sorority, the Phi, Pi Delta Pi, harass the nerds. The nerds appeal to the Greek Council, but its president, Stan Gable, played by Ted McGinley, the leader of the Alpha Betas, rejects their complaints as the nerds are not a part of any fraternity. 
The nerds then attempt to join a national fraternity, but all but one reject them. And then they meet UN Jefferson, the head of the black fraternity, Lambda Lambda Lambda. Although Jefferson notes that the applicants are nerds, he gives them probationary membership when Poindexter, played by Timothy Busfield, who would later appear on the TV show 30-something, discovers that the Trilam's official bylaws require it. Um, the nerds, they prepare a party. They invite Jefferson, but the party appears ruined when the Pi Delta Pi, after promising to be their dates, do not appear. So they lied to them. They rejected their complaints. Now they've been deceived by them. Right. However, thanks to the Omega Moose, M-U-S? Moose. Moose. A sorority consisting largely... Oh, okay. A sorority consisting largely of overweight or geeky women and large amounts of marijuana supplied by Booger, played by Curtis Armstrong, the party is ultimately successful. Towards the end of the evening, the Alpha Betas and Pies unleash a herd of pigs in the nerd's house and then loudly taunt and moon them from the street. Jefferson sees firsthand the harassment that these nerds face. Now, the nerds seek revenge. They stage a, par- a panty raid on the Pi Delta Pi house and use the distraction to install video cameras to spy on the women while they undress. Now, I would say they've already Crossed overreacted. The, line. <laughs> the first thing they did is establish that... Is create illegal pornography. The nerds then sneak into the football team's locker room and pour a powerful liniment on the players' jock straps, resulting in a painful and humiliating football practice. The nerds... Ingenuity impresses Jefferson, who officially makes them the Adams College chapter of Lambda Lambda Lambda. So this is also a racist movie. Mm-hmm. Because Lambda Lambda Lambda, they said there's the black fraternity. Uh-huh. So they're basically saying... They were impressed by these tactics. The only thing that black people like is rape. They haven't raped yet. They violated their rights. And Created illegal pornography. And they caused a painful medical yeah. reaction. The Alpha Betas continue to harass the nerds. So they didn't learn anything, even despite the, the awful treatment they've received from these nerds. Yeah. They leave a burning nerds sign outside of the house. That's not nearly as bad. No, I mean, like, the cameras that the nerds put in, the jock itch stuff, that's not as bad as a sign that says nerds, even if it is burning. The new Trilands... Wait, it's la- worse. The sign? No, the stuff is worse. The stuff's way worse than that. Yeah, sign. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I may have mixed up when I was saying it. Um, the new Trilams realize that they need to win control of the Greek Council by winning the annual Greek Games during homecoming. They use their significant knowledge to compete with the Alphabetas during the athletic portion of the event. They then use topless photos taken from their Pi Delta cameras to easily win the charity sales and costume events during which Lewis seduces. Stan's girlfriend by posing as Stan while they have sex. I want to talk... I don't know how to do this. I don't have the time to it. But I want to encourage our listeners to go to the Wikipedia entry for Revenge of the Nerds and replace the sentence during which Lewis seduces Stan's girlfriend by posing as Stan while they have sex and just change that to during which Lewis rapes Stan's girlfriend. Yeah, that's... Seduces, like seduces while posing as like no 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 no. It's not a seduction. They, There's they, no they, seduction. He was pretending to be her boyfriend. She wasn't seduced by him. She thought it was her boyfriend with whom she has sex. Yeah, that's at real. bare minimum. 
Also, based on this plot summary, the nerds are coming off as far more reactionary, angry, base, yeah, sort of idiots. I mean, in fairness, I do remember the the tone of the of the villains of this film, the non-nerds, yeah. being unpleasant. Like, they definitely play them like a bunch of jerks. Right, but they could be jerks, but you don't have to, like, sell not, illegal pornography It's not illegal to be a jerk. And rape their girlfriends. It's not illegal to be a jerk. It is illegal to install cameras in other people's homes. To put fucking acid in your their dicks. Yeah. Um, so please change the sense on Wikipedia. Honestly, also, bring up the name of whoever edited that portion of it uh-huh. and send them a message and be like you use the word seduce seduction at bare minimum let's see if we can get because I imagine if we change it to during which Lewis rapes Stan's girlfriend Wikipedia will react to that and correct yeah. it again try some other variants like during which Lewis has sex with Stan's girlfriend under false pretenses or manipulates Stan's girlfriend into having, se- into having sex with him Technically violating the law. Yeah. Um, I think coerces he, her. He tricks her into unwanted and sexual a felony. intercourse. Fortunately, she likes sex with him so much that she doesn't care that he committed a rape. Booger soundly defeats Ogre in a belching contest. Finally, the nerds' elaborate, computer-driven musical production wins the final event of the Greek Games, and the Lambdas nominate Gilbert to succeed Stan as president of the Greek Council. The angry alphabetists vandalize the Trilamp's house. Gilbert attempts to denounce the act at the homecoming pep rally, but the alphabetists attack him, while Coach Harris, played by John Goodman, prepares to assault the school's dean when he intervenes. The alphabetists and Harris are stopped, when Jefferson and a group of Trilams from other chapters arrive and intimidate them. As the other nerds arrive, Gilbert makes an inspiring speech about how it feels to be mistreated just for being different. And Lewis invites anyone who has, quote, ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down, to come and join them. Betty and most members of the assembled crowd do so. Betty's the one who was seduced. Right. Betty and, mo- and the most members of the assembled crowd do so to the chagrin of the alphabetas. The dean gives the Trilams the Alphabeta house until theirs is repaired, while the Alphabetas must live in the gymnasium. The film ends with the nerds celebrating their victory, accompanied by We Are the Champions. I hope... I do hope that that gets corrected on Wikipedia. Yeah, that's a disgusting uh, wrinkle in the story of that... that Great year for movies, tarnished. What are you going to do? It's upsetting. Uh, let me look at... Uh, I'm now looking at Best Movies of 1994 to see if it was better than 1993. I think 82 is probably pretty good also. For quality? Yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe not quality, but like, what a fun summer to go see movies. Yeah. Um, is it that BuzzFeed article you keep saying? 1982, the best uh, year for summer movies ever? I don't know. 
Is this the article? Did I just find it in one second? No, I don't think so. Look, it wasn't clicked on. Let's see. Does it have Does it have weekend by weekend? Blade Runner released in theaters June twenty seventh. No, I I had one where it said okay. basically showed what was battling against what each weekend. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's that great. I've never been a huge Blade Runner fan. Yeah. I, I like it. I like it, but I've never had the same feeling towards it that a lot of people have, where it's like their yeah. end-all movie. I just showed Emma Noble Legend. That's weird. I, I saw that in theaters when it came out, and it made me so uncomfortable. Um, well... That's the thing. Is so that's a famous movie where there's the theatrical version and the director's cut. Yeah. And the theatrical version. I showed her the theatrical version because I had been talking so much about it. Uh-huh. And I hadn't watched the theatrical in such a long time. Uh huh. That was the version that was cut down. In the last second, they they cut out the. Um, was it Bernard Herrmann score? Oh no. Or no. Um, Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. And had Tangerine Dream. Dream make a score in two weeks. Uh-huh. But I remember there always being this debate of like, oh, the theatrical version actually is not that bad. Yeah. And I watched it. And I couldn't say it because I didn't want to ruin the movie for her, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I didn't want the movie to be like, this is awful. What'd they do to it? Because then she couldn't enjoy it. You know, that was her first ever mm-hmm. seeing it. Yeah. Couldn't you have stopped it early on when you realized and be like, let's watch the director's cut? It was too far in. That oh. I, until, because a, it, a couple scenes happened, I was like, wait, doesn't this happen? And I was like, yeah. oh, maybe it's later, because I had not watched it in a little while. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, maybe in the theatrical they just moved it. And then I was like, oh, no. And then it was too late where I was like, it would have taken, because mm-hmm. the vibe is all different. Yeah. Because that movie, the whole idea is that it's like Tom Cruise's character has to go through these trials and meets these new characters, and each one is a trial, and it's sort of like a fable-esque mm-hmm kind of trial they cut out the trial of everything like in the mo- in the theatrical version they cut out all of the interesting part of every scene wow. for example like the whole idea is that he is a, a, a child of the forest uh-huh. who's never fought before and, is, and like the whole wor- this whole world is like this like fanciful happy mm-hmm. um, boundless flowers and green everywhere because the unicorns are still alive and then Mia Sarah Tom Cruise shows Mia Sarah the unicorn she gets selfish and naive and she goes up and touches one mm-hmm. and when she touches it that means that it's susceptible it's no longer like immortal mm-hmm. or whatever she's like tainted it slightly yeah so then the goblins are able to kill it and steal its horn so the whole world turns dark so he has to go from place to place and become a hero yeah and so there's like one moment in the middle there's a good example of it where um <clears throat> he meets a character which is one of my favorite characters in all of cinema meg Mucklebones. uh-huh and Meg Mucklebones is this witch that lives in a swamp. Uh-huh. And she's like, Meg Mucklebones, who does walk here? And she's this amazing, huge, uh, like, um, costume that's huge and scary. And it's like, the, the costumes in that are so amazing. Mm-hmm. And she's just this incredible witch. And the whole scene is that Tom Cruise had just been given a sword that he's never used before. He's never fought anything. And this witch is like, she's like, he's like, do you intend to eat me, Miss Mucklebones? She's like, indeed I do. And she like goes for him to try to eat him. And he has this shield and sword that he just got. He's yeah. never used. And so he tries to pull his sword out 
but she like stops him. She sees what he's doing. And then when he tries to pull it out, he like drops it into the water. And so like she's about to eat him and he can't defend himself. So the way the scene in Director's Cup plays out is that he uses the shield and convinces her that she's beautiful and that she's so amazing looking and that, you know, she should spend this time looking in the mirror in his shield and that, you know, and so she starts gets wrapped up in her and she's like she's like, Ah, you're such a sweet boy and like she starts looking at herself in the shield and she takes then she takes the shield from him and like is going over the corner, like looking at it. And during that time, he has time to, like, grab the shield, you know? Yeah. And so he's, like, used his wits to convince her, like, oh, in this very fable-esque way. Oh, how could someone so beautiful take me? Yeah. And it's amazing. And finally, she she turns her back to look at the shield, look at herself in the reflection. He grabs his sword, and she turns around, and she comes at him, and he is able to cut her head off. And it's, like, this amazing moment. Yeah. In the theatrical version, she pops up, and it's like, ah! And he's, like... He's like, do you intend to eat me? And she's like, indeed I do. And then it just cuts to him cutting her head off immediately with the sword. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, what? You, you've, you've, you've missed the entire, what was interesting about yeah. that scene. Like, like it's he's just... A, he's it's, a man of action. Right, it's, the, the movie becomes this guy who just meets a new fantasy character and immediately is given the next thing. <laughs> like in the very beginning, there's a character named, um, uh, oh, what is his name? Brown Tom is the one elf. And uh, Gump, mm-hmm. Gump, who's a uh, like a forest nymph guy. Yeah. And Tom Cruise like f- starts to freeze to death by fire, and he's woken up by the forest nymphs and fairies. Uh-huh. But the forest and the forest nymph is like, oh, you're the one who showed the girl the unicorn, and ruined our entire land. Yeah. I'm gonna kill you. Uh, I'm gonna kill. He's like, he's like, he's like, well, then the song I play will be your death song. Mm-hmm. And he plays this terrifying song, and the whole character is so strange and cool. And he's like, he's like, but I'll ask you one question. If you can answer this question, then, like, you know, otherwise, you'll I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. And the question is like some riddle about um, what bells do not ring, but whose sight will make the angels sing, and it's blue bells that you would have at a funeral. Uh-huh. And Tom Cruise's character figures it out. And then this character Gump has a tantrum because this guy figured out the riddle. And now, but now he respects him and now he's with him on the journey because this guy is wise and has figured out all of his riddles. Uh-huh. In the theatrical version, this force nymph just wakes wakes up, gives him booze and is like, "Let's go. Let's go. Let's go solve this." Oh, wow. And you're just like, the whole thing is it's all cut out. Yeah. And then in the end, the uh-huh. final scene is this beautiful, beautiful scene where it's like they built this huge set on the Bond stage. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful high fantasy. It's like the epitome of fantasy. Yeah. And they don't have the, 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 uh, the Jerry Goldsmith score. It's the Tangerine Dream one. And clearly they were at the fucking bottom of the bucket for the last song in this movie. <laughs> because literally the, the, the song is like... You're on a fantasy adventure, and there's a guy who looks like a whore. Like, they're like almost just like saying the words as the theme. Yeah, bring it up if you can. Because uh, it's so just like so bad. And you're just like, and then you hear the Jerry Goldsmith theme, and it's the whole score is so beautiful uh-huh. that you're just like, oh, I can't believe they ruined this. But the theatrical, it's the first time I've ever 
watched the theatrical version a long time and realized how awful it is. Yeah, and that's the only version I ever would have seen. You have to see the director's cut. Yeah. Because then I was like, as, at least I was, like, I was like, well, at least you watch the theatrical version. Because if you watch the director's cut, you would never make it through the theatrical version. But now you'll yeah. be able to watch a director's cut and love it. Yeah. Uh, what does Ridley Scott say about the... He's very version? quiet about it. There's a, there's a very funny title at the beginning of it that's like, at the beginning of both, it's like, just so you know, there is the, like, we were laughing because I had to select the theatrical version and a little thing came up in the DVD that was like, are you sure you want to watch a theatrical version? And I like, hit yes. It was like, basically like, are you sure like, you want to watch this? Yeah. He appreciates it because that has the full HD high-res scan. Right. The director's cut doesn't. doesn't. Oh, that's too bad. Is this the final? I don't know. <clears throat> no, this is when every all the bad shit happens. Uh, um, uh-uh. It's probably loved by the sun. All right, let's take a look. Yeah. This is <clears throat> Tangerine Dream, Loved by the Sun, from the motion picture Legend. And so far, see, I don't, I don't hate the instrumental parts of yeah. Tangerine Dream thing. I sort of, it feels like that yeah. 80, high, 80s high fantasy stuff. Yeah, so far, I do love the Jerry Goldsmith version of it. Yeah, but. So far, I can live with this. I can. I have a nostalgia, but I can feel we're heading someplace. Yeah. Hopefully, this is it. It's not just a. Yeah. What is that? These words are so horribly written. And the chorus of Love by the Sun is so cheesy because that's what the movie's about. Yeah. Is that the sun has its power? 
goodness sake. Would you be impressed if you found out that they improvised the song <laughs> as it was about, like they had No, left. you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't. <laughs> They're like, look, we have five minutes before we have to print this and start getting it out to yeah. theaters. Just make up a song. <clears throat> you should look up the lyrics to it, just so we can... Because I literally think it's like, legends are forever, what was at the beginning was at the start. Like, it's like... For goodness sake. Yeah, and it's so badly articulated. It's over articulated. Yeah. For goodness sake. What are they going for now? Legends can be now and forever. And now, it's going to take a turn. If I'm reading these lyrics right, we're about to hear something new in the final portion of the song. I believe it's a female voice starts singing, right? Yeah. Yeah. The meeting of all wisdom. Sweet songs of youth, the wise, the meeting of all wisdom. Sweet songs of youth, the wise, the meeting of all wisdom. Sweet songs of youth, the wise, the meeting of all wisdom. To believe in the good of in man. Then it fades out. It, it fades out, even though the lyrics for this say that she says to believe in the good of man two more times. Then listen to the Jerry Goldsmith like final theme. Okay. Um. And like it just hurts you how good how good it is of a score. Yeah. I'll just play the rejected rejected score. Just to note, the ad brought up by Google for this YouTube video is for Geek to Geek online dating. <laughs> Looking for your geek match? Meet and date on Geek to Geek. Finally, a dating site for geeks. Google knows what they're doing. I just this is so great. Yeah. Uh, Jay Goldsmith's great. 
This is during the dark beginning, though. This is the opening. Jump towards like the end. Uh, that's Gump song, yeah. I was during the end fight. Oh, this is the unicorns coming up. See, this ending is, oh my gosh, it's so... Kind of different part now. What? Stack. What are you? That sounds really good. So this is the original rejected. Uh... Yeah. No, just click one bit. What? Just click one piece forward. You can hear the. Uh... All right. Well, I was trying to make it sound like. Uh... It went on to Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. That's what I was trying to do. That's what I was saying. Oh, just yeah. click one thing more, and then it's going to have you. But the intro to My Heart Will Go On that's on this video is like the already earth. 40 yeah. seconds in it. There's like 40 seconds of rumbling yeah. before you get around to this, because I think this is <coughs> a live version. <coughs> you know what I mean? That <coughs> That's heartbreaking. The lyrics of that are just so, for goodness sake. The for good, you know, I could forgive a lot with if it weren't for that for goodness sake repeatedly. And then it's like the lyrics are just like, <coughs> legends are here and forever. And it's like, stop just saying the name of the movie, what happened to it, and then how it ended. Yeah. Well, it's always frustrating when you see stuff that was like ruined by the process. Like... <coughs> Especially, it's also frustrating because this must frustrate you that there are probably people who vastly prefer the theatrical version because it's what they know. Yeah. Who like think like, oh no, it's way better. I love the Tangerine Dream song at the end. Yeah, Rob Malone was like, I like the Tangerine Dream song. And I was like, <coughs> you idiots. Well, you um, idiots. He. Um, Probably has a fondness for that because he saw it that way, you know. Yeah, I have that reaction too. I think one of the great—I mean, it's what you're talking about last last thing when you're talking about how I like Return of the Jedi. Yeah, not a great movie. Um, my main problem with Return of the Jedi, as we said last time, is that to me it's so eminently fixable. Do you have any more light? Yeah, you want more light? You can turn that light on right next to you. No. Yeah, just turn. It's a little thing hanging down the side. No. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, there we go. Yeah, 
Is that more light? Thank you. Um, I think one of the great... Um, I'll let in some natural light as well, actually. Um, so I'll just start getting sleepy otherwise. Sleepy, yeah. Um, the ending to the movie Army of Darkness. Yes. The original ending. You've seen the original ending, right? What are the differences again? I've, I there's know the, Army of there's Darkness. There's the S-Mart one right. that, that came out in theaters, and then there's the one where he sleeps too long. Oh, right, yes. The I slept too long ending is so great. It's such a perfect ending to that movie. And the Esmart one to me is just like, eh, it's just an ending. Yeah. And, but there are people who hate the I slept too long. To me, it's just like, this is the gag that these movies have been building towards. Like, civilization ends because he took one drop too many because he miscounted. Right. Such a great epic gab, gag to end a movie on. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually one of those things, like, I tend to be, you know, reasonably understanding about people have different tastes, different opinions and stuff, but I genuinely do believe if you like the S-Mart ending to Army of Darkness better than you like the I Slept Too Long ending, you just don't get it. Like, you don't get right. those movies. Uh, that... <clears throat> That would be like saying, like, oh, I don't want to make another example. It just is what it is. That yeah, I also feel like there's a, 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 a contingent of people that don't understand or appreciate the humor that comes packaged with horror, mm-hmm. especially in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Because now our horror movies are humorless. You know what I mean? Like, modern horror, like the aught and now, like, aught-teens, uh-huh. are not funny. Yeah, or if they're funny, it's the exception, where it's like the um, uh, Cabin in the Woods or something like that. Right. Uh, but that was, like, that was almost, like, commentary on the genre as opposed to just having fun within the genre. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, now it's like, oh, it's got to be, like, Torture porn or, like, some ghost that's making some kid fucking vomit blood into a fucking... Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's never, like, monsters and, like, dumb shit. It's not, like, and fun movies to go watch. It's, like, supposed to be scary and terrify you. My problem with it is that, like, I either like it to be feel real... Or to be more interesting than real. Yeah. Sometimes there are ones that don't feel real. Like, it's not a convincing replication of real life. Right. But it's also kind of not as interesting as if they did play it real. Like, a movie like Rosemary's Baby doesn't necessarily feel real. The Shining doesn't feel real. But it's kind of more interesting than if you did it real. Like, uh, they've come up with something that's hyper-real or extra-real. There's something about it that's surreal. But it's like, oh, I'm glad it's not just a 100% realistic thing because I like this feeling. But a lot of the torture porn ones, it's like, oh, it doesn't feel like real life. This doesn't real, feel like real human behavior. Yeah. Um, but these feel like types that are walking around in a fake story. Exactly. And, but it doesn't feel necessarily interesting enough to make up for the, what you've given up in convincing reality. Exactly. Like... Um, when I saw Saving Mr. Banks, I'm aware that that movie is not 
a true story of what happened. It uh, is. Uh, but as a horror movie, it's a good. As a horror movie, seeing what they did yeah. to that woman. No, um, I mostly like. It's one of those things where uh, the people who are like, "Well, that's not really how it happened. This is Disney whitewashing the situation to make it look like they won her over when they made Mary Poppins. They won the author over." Right. But to me, I don't think it would have been a very interesting movie if. I think they made a movie that was more fun to watch by having, like, Walt Disney never gave her a personal guided tour of Disneyland. Right. It was a staff member. But I'm like, well, I would, I found it more fun to watch Tom Hanks being Walt Disney giving her a tour of Disneyland yeah. than watching the real thing that happened. It was just like, it's a more fun movie. It was more fun for me to watch that happen. I understand why they did it. It made a more fun movie. Right. Sometimes, like, a composite character is just like, oh, you don't want to watch five different people make these five decisions if you could have one character right. serve those functions. There are times when it's like uh, you sacrifice strict reality because the storytelling is better. Yes. I don't want to watch a movie about, hey, Walt Disney bought the rights to Mary Poppins and the author wasn't happy about it, and in the end she still wasn't happy about it, and uh, they never really got along. I'm like, well, I kind of don't want to see that movie. And her, like, you know, uh, there's a Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith with the writer of it who talks about the whole history of that whole thing and just like, yeah, she also had like weird family stuff and like a lot of issues of yeah. her own that she was dealing with, and like what Mary Poppins represented to her was not what, yeah, that was supposed to be, and she had a very dark, yeah, look at what it was. And it was like, yeah, then they bought the rights and made what they wanted to make. I also actually kind of like the fact, in a weird way, that even if you do like you look at it and you say like, well, they tricked her into making the movie, they ended up making the movie they wanted, yeah. she kind of lost in the battle between Disney. That, there's another part of this kind of like, yeah, she lost again. The movie did it again. Like, yeah. uh, there's an element of like, this is the movie that sort of sums up the chapter. Where it's like, guess what? Yeah. Disney made the Mary Poppins they wanted, and now they made a movie about how she liked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually think that's more fun to me. Uh, but I'm also a kid of Disney. Like, I grew up, that was one of the things when I was a kid. When I, I remember when I was 10 years old, I thought I was going to be an animator. I remember reading that. Disney animators made $1,000 a week in the 1930s yeah. as animators. And I remember thinking, $1,000 a week in the th- now would be good. Yeah. But, man, back in the 30s, thir- so what must they make now? Like, I remember thinking, like, that's the job for me. I want to work for Disney. I want to be an animator. Right. And then I gradually realized, like, I wouldn't be happy being an animator. Like, yeah. I very quickly realized when I started trying to make, like, cartoons on my own, I'm like, oh, boy, like, I can think of them, but like I don't want to draw this a million times. Yeah. And I had a cousin who worked for um, Don Bluth. Right. And I went and saw, visited Don Bluth Studios in Dublin when I was there at one point. Yeah. And I remember like thinking, this is cool, but he was making like Rockadoodle or something like that. He was like, it was way past the prime right. of Secret of Nim and stuff yeah. like that. And I remember also looking around thinking like, oh, people here don't look that thrilled yeah. to be here. And I remember immediately thinking like, yeah, I guess I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, I have a feeling if you walked around where they, like, Muppet Workshop, you'd probably see people having fun in a way that it, if you walk around your average animation studio, it's not quite the same. Yeah, unless you're at, like, Pixar or somewhere. Yeah, yeah Pixar's probably fun. Well, they just try hard to make everyone have fun. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that's... Yeah, I didn't grow up as a Disney kid so much. I grew up loving animation and all that stuff, but Disney... Did you go to Disney World as a kid? Or yeah. Disneyland? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we never did. My my parents, my dad especially, brought us when we were like 16, 17, because yeah. then he finally had like 
enough money to take us on a trip and he just always wanted to like do that before we were gone so we went but it was never part of my like childhood nostalgia yeah. you know yeah we should go to Disney World that would be fun that would be fun I I grew up and I was very much into Carl Barks comics which I still am which is like do you know who Carl Barks is? no Carl Barks was an animator at Disney, and then at a certain point, uh, he did like a comic book, like a one-shot comic book of Donald Duck, and it got a good response, so they had him do another, and he started, he was like an independent contractor who, he would do uh, Donald Duck comics for Dell, that was the publisher, and kids, it was all credited as Walt Disney, he never got a credit for anything, but kids would write letters in, he wouldn't find out about it. He didn't find out that anyone ever wrote letters in until, like, after it was all over. But kids knew about him as... They didn't know who did these, but, like, kids knew reading the comics. Like, there's one artist who does these things who's, like, better than the others. Like, these 10-page Donald Duck stories at the front of Walt Disney Comics and Stories are better. And he was just known as the good duck artist. And he basically invented... He created Uncle Scrooge. Right. He invented Duckburg. Uh... Uh, gyro gear loose, uh, Grandma Duck, uh, um, Gladstone. He created like the universe of the other ducks. Yeah. So he took. He also made Donald Duck more interesting. The reason and like Ducktales was based on Carl Barks comics. Like all those adventures, a lot took their cue from his Uncle Scrooge adventures. But in the first episode of Ducktales, Donald Duck leaves to join the Navy because there's no way to tell Carl Barks' version of Donald Duck with the voice that Donald Duck had in the animated cartoons. Right. Because he's got dialogue in the Donald Duck comics by Carl Barks. Yeah. And they were just like, we gotta get it. We have to write Donald Duck out. So like, uh, Launchpad McQuack, yeah. he, the reason he was created was just like, well, we have to make Donald leave, but we need someone to play the role of uh, uh, not Uncle Scrooge, not the nephews. Yeah. Um, so like, I would learn like history from these comics. Like I remember I got into a fight with my history teacher uh Oh no! It wasn't the t- it was the school librarian, uh, who I wanted to look up something about the. Oh no! It was the teacher actually. The librarian backed me up. It was a teacher. We were learning about the seven cities of gold. Right. And I said, "Are those the seven cities of Cibola?" And the teacher was like, "I don't know what that is, but they're called the seven cities of gold." And I said, "I think the actual name for them is that they were the seven cities of Cibola," and she said. No, they're called the Seven Cities of Gold. And I said, well, I read an Uncle Scrooge comic that was about this. And they called it the Seven Cities of Gold. And the teacher was like, well, your comic book got it wrong. And then I went to the school librarian and I said, I read this comic and I know the guy who did the comics really does good research on history. What Was it called the Seven Cities of Cibola or just the Seven Cities of Gold? And the librarian knew it instantly. She's like, no, no, that's the Seven Cities of Cibola. And then I went back to the teacher and I said, librarian confirmed it, like, my comic books were right, and you were wrong. It's funny, too, to look back at teachers. Yeah, that was just some human. And it's just, like, just prob- people. probably some, like, 22-year-old, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who, like, you know, think of every, 20, every person you know that turned to a teacher mm-hmm. and their breadth of knowledge. What was your phrase before? Just people? People are just people? Yeah, it's all just people. Mm. Um, it's all just people. So, like... I literally have... Hashtag, it's all just people. If you look um, under that table next to you, you'll see some books squared away under there. Yeah. Uh, These are 
These were a lifetime of collecting for me to get these. These the are the Donald Duck ones right here. Yeah, this is the Karl Barks Library. Jeez. And these, uh, it's oh, there's some dust because they've been on the floor. Um, these are. Can I take one out? Yeah, ten volumes with three hardcovers each. They're all stored under this table, and they're very hard to find. Yeah, like I got a couple of them when I was a kid, but they were a hundred dollars each. Uh, what's that? It's a check from Karl Barks. Yeah, uh, I forgot about this. There is a check from Karl Barks that was in one of these volumes that I bought. I have a signed check. I forgot I had this from Karl Barks. And a certificate of authenticity from Karl Barks. Yeah. Oh wow, I forgot. I I might have never discovered that. I remembered I had that. Um, Why does this? Who is this a check to? This is one of the. This edition I think was part of his collection. This was right. one of Karl Barks's copies. Right. Um, but that's. Ten volumes. Each volume has three hardcover books. They were $100. Who is this check to? PNB. Um, Should we announce that Carl Barks is a bank account Oh, no, it's like a canceled, it's a canceled check. Oh, no, he's dead. Oh, so this is, is this maybe a... uh, Estate sale. Like, like this is probably a copy from, like, the estate of Carl Barks or whatever. Interesting. Um, yeah, so I have 10 of these volumes, but I gathered them between the, like 1984, whenever they first started coming out of these, and up until the age of about 23, I think I had two volumes of this. Right. And then I spent from, then when, in the internet age, I finally was able to start tracking them down uh, and get all of them. And now they're reprinting them, Fantagraphics is actually reprinting them in nice color editions. Oh, cool. Um, which, I already have all the stories, but they're coming out with these um, like twice a year. And so, and they're like more readable, uh, like they're easier to like handle. I'll end up with a ton of books, all duplicated, but I just like... Who said that it's a price as part of our literary, literary heritage? George Lucas. Yes. Uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg credit the boulder at the beginning of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark right. with being inspired by Karl Barks. And it was from the, that was actually the Seven Cities of Cibola story. There's a part where there's a booby trap in, a, in, a, in an ancient uh, right. thing, and it sets off a boulder that knocks down a thing. And that was the inspiration for Funny. the boulder in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Where was, um, which of the seven, city, uh, the seven Cities of Ebola was the Jar Jar Binks character? <laughs> uh, uh, Musa, Musa, Nisa. Anka Scrooge. Um, the, uh, but that was the uh, that was the big Disney thing. But I was also obsessed with like. To me, like I liked all the Disney cartoons. I was aware that like Warner Brothers cartoons were funnier. Yeah. But I was also aware that like a lot of Disney cartoons were like, underratedly funny. Sure. And in the early days of the Disney Channel, when it was first a channel, the great thing about that channel was. They would just show cartoons in between shows. Like if they had seven minutes in between the length of a movie and the next show, right? They just show an old Donald Duck cartoon, right? And some of those are really well done, really funny. I'm always fascinated by the fact that like there's an era where animation, there's eras where animation looks good, and there's eras where it looks less good, right? And like when you look at some early Disney ones, they look so like handcrafted and beautiful, and then they get to a period where they're clearly like going faster and like whipping it out and then there's an, a period where it gets weird but it's good like 
A movie like The Rescuers. Yeah. It's really dark and weird looking, but good. Yeah. Like, expressive, and it has a weird, like, animation in the 1970s goes to a weird, dark place. Yeah, did you ever read the thing about Tim Burton was an animator on The Fox and the Hound, Mm -hmm. and none of his scenes got in, because all of his drawings of the fox just always looked like it was a dead fox, like it wasn't like... Wow. It just never looked right. Yeah. So he animated all these scenes for them, and then yeah. none of his scenes made it in, because they were just like, these don't look how we want them to look. I wonder if they have any of that footage. I feel like now they could make... they could. <clears throat> if you gave me access to Tim Burton's animation from Fox and the Hound, I could edit that into a good movie. Yeah. Not a, not a version of Fox and the Hound, into its own thing. Yeah. Where you're just like, give me the animation Tim Burton did of that fox. Well, they recently... Released in one museum footage of his um, Hansel and Gretel. Oh, yeah? Short film that he did for Disney that got, like, hidden away, and they released it. Mm -hmm. It's part of, like, a Tim Burton exhibit at some museum. Oh, wow. It doesn't exist online anywhere. It just only exists. Like, the only recording of it is someone recording the screen off of an iPhone at the museum. I remember seeing at one of those, like, they used to have, not like Spike and Mike's, but there would be, like, roadshow releases Mm -hmm. of animated films. I remember going to see one when I was a kid, and it included the short Vincent. Yeah. Uh, and it, this was before it was available in any other form. And I remember thinking, like, oh, it's like a Disney cartoon that like, Disney hasn't released. Um, yeah. Good uh, Spike and Mike. Yeah. Don Hertzfeld. It's weird how there's things that are available now. Like, access to short films, like, before I was a kid... They'd be part of the thing that you'd go to the movies and see. Yeah. And while I was a kid, there's just nowhere to see short films usually. Yeah. And now I feel like we were in a world where like, yeah, if someone makes a short film, it gets around, they spread it around, it's online. Like it's yeah. it's fascinating how those things have changed. I mean, before it was short film, you'd have to buy it on VHS, like at hopefully your movie stores, like sold it. Yeah. Couldn't rent it because it was like not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Spike and Mike's, I wonder if they just don't exist anymore. No. Remember, we'd always await the next one, hope that Don Hertzfeld had something in it. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. What's a bummer when Pop Tarts just stole everything? Pop Tarts. They they had Don Hertzfeld in, Mm -hmm. and he was like not interested. Mm-hmm. And then they just stole his style and did that series of Pop-Tarts commercials for about eight to ten years. Yeah. That were all just like, I'm a Pop-Tart! And then, like, milk would start shooting out of their faces. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you just... Re-, and it was all, like, hand-drawn on white paper, stick figures, with the exact same proportions as his people, with the exact same voice. And it was just like, oh, you just stole all of Don Hertzfeld's thing and he's making nothing on it. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, it really, uh, it really sucks and is evil. Yeah. And that happens so frequently with commercial stuff. They just steal someone's style. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's cheaper than yeah. paying them what they're worth. Right. Um, what's the most surprising thing in my apartment? Um, it's probably something that's like, well, a grown-up normally would have this, and you don't. 
well, honestly, the most surprising thing, honestly, is your bed. What about it? That it's a futon. Uh huh. That's not a bed. I mean, that's not, that's not like a. It's not like an actual bed. Proper bed, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the only thing that surprises. I mean, I honestly, the recumbent bike. <laughs> They're both. They both fit into the exact category that uh, uh, I predicted they would. Well, it's also like, you know, it doesn't surprise me that you have a giant cardboard cutout of a Chris Ware stand-up thing. It doesn't surprise me that you have a, uh, a uh, Roosevelt Franklin poster. No, that's just the LP cover. Oh. Uh, for the album, My Name is Roosevelt Franklin. Right. It doesn't surprise me that you have those things. Yeah. Um, it does surprise me. Well, it slightly surprised me that you sleep on a futon. Mm-hmm. It's a because Connor's apartment is very nice. It's not like yeah. you live in some trashy apartment. It's like the set. It's like no, there's a nice, comfortable place to live. But given that there's all this sort of like, it feels like what I might imagine your childhood room looked like, but just like slightly more organized. Yeah, it's not as organized as it should like, be. You have a a diorama in a sh- cardboard shoebox. Mm-hmm. Like I would when I was a kid. Yeah. Like it feels like a childhood bedroom. Yeah. But the one element that feels like more of a non-childhood thing, non-adult thing, a college-age thing is the futon. Yeah. And, you know, for me it was that uh, the before I lived in this apartment, my last apartment from 2003 to 2007, I think, yeah, that's right, um, was in Manhattan, and it was in Murray Hill, and it was the corner of 37th and 2nd, and uh, that was a one-bedroom apartment, and that was, uh, I was married, I was in a relationship from uh, 1996 through the end of 2004. And... I didn't know it was 2004. Yeah. I th- for some reason, I thought it was Labor longer early. ago than that. No. Um, I mean, I guess it's still 10 years ago. Yeah, we're heading up on the... It ended roughly around the same time that John Kerry lost to the election to George W. Bush's re-election. Is there some meaning to that? No, I just remember the time thinking, like, oh, everything's falling apart. <laughs> um, the... Because that, that was a very, that was the thing that I feel like you still point to as a crushing thing for you. Yeah. Um, so it was like an eight-year relationship that was, um, four years of it was marriage, but really the whole eight years felt like marriage to me in a right. good way. Like um, that, it was a relationship that very early on, it felt like, oh, right, this is like a fully committed relationship. There was never a period where it was like, oh, making a commitment. It always just felt like... yeah. Um, and so we were in a one bedroom apartment and then, uh, she left and she moved out and I stayed in this apartment and she went back to England and I never really, we had a one bedroom and we had this, uh, nice kind of antique bed that we had gotten, like the mattress was new, but the frame we'd gotten at like an antique place. Yeah. And it was really nice. It was like this old wood and it was really good. Um, but I just got into the habit uh, that I sort of didn't use the bed anymore. I was just sleep out on this futon. Yeah. Uh, and this folds down, and it's 
as comfortable as anything I slept on. I also don't really have any trouble sleeping ever. Yeah. And the way New York City apartments are, like, a bed takes up so much room. Yeah. Like, a proper bed takes up so much room. And I ne- I just got into such a habit of, of uh, I mean, as I've got this set up now, I have this set up as my bed. But if right. I wanted to, I could fold away all the stuff and just treat this like a couch. And yeah. you wouldn't notice. You'd just be like, where does Connor sleep? Yeah. Um, but it's part of what makes this apartment livable for me is that this is a couch. It's where I sleep, but I don't have... Like, if I had a bed in here, that would immediately eliminate the room for... It would get so packed. It would feel way too yeah. crowded in here. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, so I just never... I never got to the point where I'm like, oh, I should buy a, a bed, even though I fall asleep quite easily on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's fair. That thing on the wall behind you is uh, George Michael's uh, marriage certificate from uh, the television series Arrested Development. That's the actual prop of uh, when George Michael and maybe accidentally got married. Did a party want to bring that to the pilot? I, uh... Was that... Because you are a big Arrested Development fan. Yeah, I'm a... Huge Arrested Development fan, which is not, it's not a rare distinction. I feel no. like, you know, it always bothered me that uh, the way that Arrested Development fandom gets talked about, like, for a long time it was like, the show that nobody watches. And like, well, no, at its worst, four million people watched it. That was, when, like, when they put it up against the Olympics, four million people watched the final episodes of that. I'm like, if four million people bought a book it would be a bestseller that everyone's reading. You used that exact same example last episode. Did I? I think so. For what? I don't know. Maybe Arrest Development. I don't think we talked about Arrest Development last time. Okay. Loyal viewers. Hashtag whatever you want. Long-time if... listeners. <laughs> I hate that I keep calling them viewers. It feels like I have a condition where I'm saying the wrong word. I'm saying... We, we should break it up so that, like... Well, I don't want to do that. What? I was going to say... Fans of yours should call themselves hashtag viewers, and fans of mine should call themselves hashtag viewers. Yeah, I don't listeners. want to break it up like that. I don't want us to have separate cases. Because you would win immediately. I don't think so. Are you kidding? 80% of the podcast is me going, yeah. Really? Uh-huh. That makes me feel like shit. No, it's me doing that because I'm. It's, it's you. It's, it's I'm you having. No, 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 no. It's you having a conversation and me going, where do you get groceries around here? Like, my mind wandering somewhere else. Mm. Did I talk about? Did I talk about uh, that? I thought the character from Russell was named after me. Yeah, yeah. We, I, we went over that. I really, oh, did, were you gonna? <laughs> yeah. Be like, oh, listen, Michael. I don't know if you don't. I don't know if you know this or not. I just wanna. The thought went through my mind. Really? But then I, I realized, like, you would sound like a crazy person. No, I think. Uh, to be like, uh, okay, so, you know, the character in your show. Uh, the middleman, right? So, okay, so I was on... Do you know the forums? You don't know the forums. Okay, he does so, know them. He does know them. Okay. Um, no, I think I would be able to say it in a way that he would understand that I'm not a crazy person. How'd you do it? I would say... Here, I'm Michael Sarah sitting, talking I recently, with like I had, Corey Palmer and Ken Beck. And I had guys. two brief conversations with Michael Sarah during before and after the, the yeah. uh, Gethard Show pilot, that she was a special guest for. 
And uh, what I would have said is, I have something, I would have prefaced it by saying, I have something that I want to bring up that's going to sound weird, but I can't, I won't forgive myself if I don't bring it up. Uh, and I'd say, look, I have a theory and I can't disprove it. And you might be able to lend me some idea of whether it's uh, plausible, plausible or otherwise. at all. Which is that I was a very active user on television without pity. I was doing long, passionate posts defending the show against any criticisms. And then a character suddenly appeared in a season three episode. A season that was filled with obscure references and jokes that referenced things that were happening with the online fan community. And... Uh, suddenly a character appears who has the name of my handle on television without pity. What are the odds that this is a coincidence? What are the odds that this is someone putting in a little nod to to want a little shout out to one of the fans who is talking about the show at a time when the show seemed to be struggling to get attention and the writers were aware of the of the television without pity message boards. I think that's how I'd phrase it. I think he, I think he would not feel that's that weird. Sure. Um, Have you ever met, had a conversation with someone that you was a fan of? Yeah, like yeah. I did it go well. Um, Do you have an iPod charger? Yeah. Um, I've had a couple of interactions with people that I'm a fan of. Um, I've I've been in a situation where um, I got to talk to Gary Trudeau for a few hours, and I got to talk to Robert Crumb for a few hours. Um, in a situation where, like, it was good conversation, and I was able to talk with them about like, like I actually talked to um, I actually talked to. Uh, Robert Crumb about uh, Karl Barks comics because I knew oh, sure. I knew that he grew up loving them and I also knew like how often does Robert Crumb get to have a conversation about Karl Barks comics right particularly with someone that's like of a different generation than him right who's not a cartoonist um, is that the right kind of charger for you yep all right great thank you um, and with Gary I mean Gary Trudeau. Crumb was great. Gary Trudeau. Well, I have a funny. I also I had a funny story to tell Robert Crumb actually, um, which I can. It's a kind of a secret story still, but I, I actually kind of feel like I said some things in the last podcast that I still consider private. Really? Um, yeah. I feel like our our uh, listening audience kind of does have us as still a sense of privacy to it you know what i mean like I yeah don't... I, I don't know but, but like when we released the episode i think back and i'm like what did i say yeah i must have said something there that i did not intend to say to the general public i know i said at least one thing in the last podcast that later i was like i shouldn't have said that I, is um, it the thing that you mentioned way earlier yeah yeah did i mention it in this podcast no you I mentioned it before. before um but i kind of feel like i can say things particularly when we get deep into the podcast that there's yeah. an understanding that like Guys, tell your friends about the podcast, but don't, like, please don't talk about this. Please don't yeah. talk about what we said. Um, no, yeah. I, no, I feel I feel kind of safe now that we're six plus hours into this podcast 
that I'm like, we're all friends here, right? Yeah. I can trust the people listening to this. Also, just so everyone knows, the hissing in the background is Connor's heating unit. That's our studio audience who's not happy. It's a bunch They've of... been hissing. It's a bunch of snakes. <laughs> yeah, that's why he... Is that too loud? No. You like it really will adversely affect No, the... you can hear it, though. It'll, it picks up. All right. But it's not a big deal. Okay. But I'm sure for the past three hours, they might have been like, what is, what that? is that? And finally, like, thank you for telling us. Thanks. Mystery solved. Hashtag, the mystery is solved. The mystery has been solved. Uh, so there are any secrets you want to tell now? Um, I'll tell my Robert Crumb story, which I think yeah. is a funny story. And I knew, I knew when I was going to get to hang out with Robert Crumb that uh, I had, like, this is a story. Like, I have something to tell him that I think he will find interesting. Which is that Robert Crumb, for those of you who don't know, if you haven't seen the documentary Crumb, which is really good, he was, an, he was like an underground cartoonist in the 1960s and 70s. And he still is a cartoonist today, but he was like, his heyday was like in the 60s. And he was like, defined right. the underground comics movement. He was like the superstar of underground comics. And I discovered him when I was a young teenager, and I bought a book at a bookstore in an outlet mall. There was a, a copy of the book called R. Crumb's Head Comics, and it was like a compilation. And I thought like, ah, these comics are like funny. They're weird. They feel like forbidden. And there were one or two things in there that I'm like, ooh, this is like, he was, he was using like sexual imagery that in a couple of parts, I'm like, I was aware he'd created Fritz the Cat, which I knew was the first like X-rated animated cartoon was based off of his comics. He hates that cartoon, but, um, and there were a couple of things that were like dark, uh, like, like, uh, uh, thematically dark. Like there were a couple of things where he was like using, um, he was commenting on like, uh, racism in America and he was using uh, like the the kind of visual language of like early 20th century like racist cartoons to like show how racist America was and, and I could tell like this guy is like a dangerous cartoonist yeah and so I ordered one of the complete crumb comics volumes I, I ordered volume four from Fanagraphics and this volume did not have a ton of like racy material in it or, 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 or there wasn't a ton of like sex in it there was a little bit but not a lot about the same proportion as the book that I had first bought so it was like had like a hint of danger but wasn't overwhelming and I thought this guy's great I'm gonna order all the other books that I can get and for some reason I don't know why I was like 14 or something I don't know why I had the money to do this at that point like I must have just had like saved up a little money or something but yeah. I, I ordered every other volume and there were like 13 or 14 volumes of, of so I yeah. ordered hundreds of dollars worth of Robert Crumb comics all at once just based on like I've got two books these are great I want it all so I ordered all of the other books and what I instantly when I opened up the box that came the next volume was volume 5 and volume 5 featured a lot of reprintings of issues of a title called R. Crumb's Snatch Comics and Snatch Comics was just fucking. It was right. just, every cartoon was like, you know, like a cartoonist at the desk drawing cartoons, but a woman's giving him a blowjob under the desk. Right. And then there would be like down on the farm and it's a guy and he's like fucking a woman and, and, and like while he's farming. And, and it was just, and I was like, oh my God. And then the next one had like an orgy on the cover of it. And there were like comics about like, he did one comic that he, he did just to be a punk 
that there was like a Supreme Court case about he did a comic that was just like about an incest family that they're all just having sex with each other because they can. And he was just trying to like push the boundaries like what can yeah. I get away with? And, and so now I'm like, oh no, I've got a box of porno comics. What do I do with these? I have to hide these. So I like had this box of like our crime comics like hidden at the back of my closet. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no one can ever find these. I don't know how to explain these. Like, why do I own these? I own hundreds of dollars worth of, like, yeah. X-rated comics by Robert Crumb. So, I had ordered them. Uh, I had paid for them with my money, but in order to order them over the phone, I needed a credit card. So, I had ordered them with my dad's credit card. Right. So, there was, it came to his name, but he knew it was, they knew it was mine, so no one knew that what I'd ordered. Six months or whatever later, when the next catalog of Fanagraphics books comes out, it gets sent to my dad. No big problem. But also, a catalog for the Eros Comics line, which was Fanagraphics' separate line of pornographic comics for adults, came to my dad. And my mom was like, why are you getting this, like, pornography catalog? Why did this come in the mail today? And my dad's like, I don't know. I didn't order any of that. Yeah. And my mom was like, I don't believe you. And every six months to a year, a new Eros Comics catalog would arrive and the same like fight would break out, which is just like, why are you getting these porno uh, uh, yeah. catalogs? My dad's like, I don't know. I didn't order anything. Sure, you didn't order anything. What are you ordering? And the whole time, I'm like, I can't tell them this. Yeah. And they still don't know. Hilarious. And, and so I told this story to Robert Crumb, and I knew like this is a surefire Yeah. Fun story for Robert Crumb. And Robert Crumb's response was like, oh my God, your poor father. (laughs) Um, But it was like, that was a winning encounter. The couple of hours I got to spend with Gary Trudeau, he was everything that I would have wanted Gary Trudeau to be. He was so nice. He was smart and interesting. It was like everything that's interesting about Doonesbury, just in terms of like, oh, it's a smart commentary on American society. Right. It was just like, it would be like if I met Aaron Sorkin and it was like, oh, walking with Aaron Sorkin is like one big walk and talk through the, the halls of the White House. Right. Uh, it would be like if you met Michael Bay and you were like, everything blows up. It was just like the embodiment of what you think if like talking to Michael Bay was like, it feels like a conversation where everything he says blows something up. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not a Michael Bay fan. but or if Michael Bay obvious, is like walking uh, around you as he talks. Yeah. That's right. Um, but yeah, talking to Gary Trudeau was like, oh... I understand why smart comics and commentary have been coming out of this guy every day for decades. Yeah. is because he is a smart guy. He exudes decency. Uh, and I remember him, he was like speculating, I remember, about George Clooney in this conversation. He was saying like, George Clooney seems like, he seems like an authentic guy to me. Like he seems like a class act. Yeah. Like the, and it was like interesting to like meet to me, a celebrity, and hear him kind of try to work through, he was just speculating that his impression of George Clooney is that he's an authentic guy, like that he yeah. is uh, not some secret jerk or something, but he is like the interesting, smart, c- compassionate, considerate guy that yeah. it seems like he is from his persona. What do you think about, I, don't, I won't ask you to name names if you happen to know anybody. We'll keep this nameless, even though it's not like we know a bunch of celebrities or anything. But what do you think about um, when you uh, think about like a famous person 
like, especially if there's, like, a comedian who's, like, known for playing, like, jerks. Yeah. And then you find out that, like, oh, they really are kind of a jerk. Does it affect? I think you know that I have a specific instance of that. Oh, I actually don't. Yeah. Mouth it to me. Um... <laughs> this happened the last time. The last time we tried to. Yeah. This happened the reverse. Uh, how do I communicate? Give me this? letters. Do, do letters with your hands. Letters, uh, no, letters with your hands. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not following at all. Okay. 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 Yeah. You know those. What that? What those mean together? I don't know the second one. I don't know what that is. It's like a dog with a spike to it. Look, no, look at the... I'm, spell, I'm forming the letter. Connor. Connor. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, at... Now, yeah. at... Yeah. What? <laughs> what letter is this? Yeah, I don't want to say it because that right. defeats the code. What letter is this? Yeah. What letter is this? Yeah. What letter is this? Okay. Oh, man, I can't follow what you're saying. It's so hard. Oh, my God. Can you God. whisper it in my ear? <laughs> it won't pick up, right? No, it will pick up. Will it? It probably will. Um, here, uh, here I'll just type it. I'll just type it. This is insane. <laughs> <laughs> can't communicate. <laughs> can't communicate with this happened the last time too. We, we gotta tried have to, a better system. We don't have a good one. Um, I'm trying to think of this particular person's name. Um, mm. Okay, that's the first thing. Yeah, I got that. Right. That's not a person. Right. I know. I'm giving you context. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. Do you know the thing I'm talking about? I know the thing. It was the thing. It was happening. And it's like, hey, why is this happening like this? Exactly. And then it was action. And then... And then acting like... and Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. That's a good example. Yeah. And that's someone who... Um, okay. That's a good example of someone who like... Seeing him play kind of an idiot or a jerk... Um, that's probably not fun for you anymore, right? And no. it probably was fun before. No. And I recently heard an interview with this person where they're being very... Nice. Kind and talking about that. And I was like, what? Yeah. It was like bothered me. Yeah. And then I have, I have a hard time watching things that that person is in anymore because, and it wasn't even that over, it wasn't that awful of an experience, but just like it left <sighs> yeah. me and several people with a bad taste in our mouth to the point that I was like, God. It's such a shame. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to name some people in a good way. Yeah. Um, uh, Dan Klein and Kelly Hudson. Yeah. I was talking to Kelly Hudson recently. Uh, they're two very funny people. If you uh, yes. listeners are probably familiar with them, but if not, look up all of their online videos. They're really good. Uh, and they're a couple. They're engaged. And they're really good at playing dumb assholes. Right. Like if you watch them in like Rejected Pitches, the right. web series they did, or uh, Teen Wheels, which is great. Have you ever seen Teen Wheels? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a couple episodes. Yeah. Um, they're really good at playing like stupid jerk assholes. Right. And I was saying to Kelly recently, like, 
it's really good to, to it makes it really easy to enjoy. Like, they're so great at doing it. Yeah. But when you know that they're also, like, the really nice people, people yeah. in person, it makes it so much, like, you can relax into it. Like, you don't have to imagine that, oh, they're, it, it, it always kind of feels bad when you, it's great to enjoy characters that are dumb assholes, that are, yeah. Comedy involves a lot of characters who are cruel to each other or selfish or, you know, lazy or mean. And when you find out that someone's drawing on the fact that they actually are selfish and mean or stupid, right. it, it takes some of the fun out of it because it's like, it almost makes it like watching a snuff film. Yeah, I agree. Where it's like, um, there was a certain person well, that, I'm, that I'm a big fan of that I've liked their work for right. a long time, that I heard an example of a story where they were... Um, and this is, you know, it always feels weird when you're like, oh, I know a guy who works on a thing who said this. Yeah. But sometimes those stories, they're not salacious enough to be like a made-up thing. They feel yeah. like they probably are. And it was like someone who was like, um, this guy was getting mad at his assistant for bringing him a salad that had little carrots in it. And the guy was like, I don't want these little carrots in my salad and was like flicking the carrots at the assistant's face. And uh, it felt... What? Who? I think I heard this story from someone. Really? Yeah. I'm trying to communicate to Oh, oh yes, 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 yes. I'm trying to communicate to JD. Do you get it? Yes. And doesn't that feel yes. like the type of character... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doesn't that feel like the type of character, like, he would play a version of himself doing that, right? Yes. Fine. Where he'd be like, I don't want these little carrots in my salad. Yeah. And it's now no, not fun if I see him playing a dickhead version of himself, even if it's funny. Like, he might be doing something that I do genuinely find funny. Yeah. But it does take the shine off it a little when you're like, oh, but you actually do that. You know? Like. Yeah. Yes. Like, one person that I hear good things about that is the person who is my favorite actor. Do you know who my favorite actor is? Uh, I don't. Who would you think my favorite actor is? I mean, favorite is such an arbitrary distinction. There is a um, certain amount of when when you curate, like, this is my favorite thing, at least for me. uh, I feel like there is also an element of posing to it in the sense that, like, I'm dismissing at least, you know, several dozen other people that I probably like as much just to bestow this, you know, quote-unquote yeah. honor on them. But I feel like it does, it makes a statement about me that I would pick this person as my favorite. My favorite actor is Jeffrey Tambor. Okay. And the, and he's great, he's, uh, Hank Kingsley on Larry, Larry Sanders' show is one of the defining performances and characters yes. of the modern era of comedy. Uh, he plays everything so... Uh, the great thing about Jeffrey Tambor is when he plays comedy, he plays it the same way he plays drama. He doesn't... like he, he... When I was a kid, he was on Three's Company a number of times. I didn't know who he was, but he was like... He, he was on... He was actually he was on the spinoff, The Ropers. He had a main part on that. Which, even though the Ropers was thought of as a big failure, I think it ran at least one full season, maybe two. Yeah. Um, that was back in the day when they didn't just cancel a show. It was like, we're canceling the show as soon as your two-year commitment is done. Right. Um, the, but he recurred on Three's Company. He would show up as a guest character 
but not the same character, even though he looked exactly the same. Right. And as a kid, I remember seeing, like in one episode, he was like a children's dentist, and Jack Tripper is afraid of going to the dentist, and, and but then he's dating one of the roommates, Terry or whoever, and he, over, he overhears something that makes him think that Jack is also like secretly sleeping with Terry, who he's been dating. Right. So Jack goes into the children's dentist, and the appointment was set up, like, oh, it'll be really easy because yeah. I'll give you the deluxe, you know, gentle treatment. Right. But then there's this misunderstanding that Jack doesn't know about, and Jeffrey Tamer's character is now insane with rage. And so, like, that's the setup for the episode. But then a year later, Jeffrey Tamer would show up as a different character who was, like, dating a different person on the show. And I remember at the time thinking, not knowing how TV shows were made, I remember thinking, wow, the people who make this show must love that guy. Right. Because they're breaking the reality of the show by bringing the actor back, whom we clearly recognize. Like, they're, they're willing to risk this show not making sense, like, as a yeah. whole, in order to have this guy back because they think he's so funny. And it's also, like, he's not... They're not even making him, like, you come back this time with a mustache. Yeah. He just looks exactly the same, playing a new character. He's apparently a very nice person too. Everything I've ever heard about him is that he is like the nicest guy. And that's amazingly like that's inspiring to me that a guy who can tap into this like heart of darkness to play a character like Hank Kingsley or a character like George Bluth yeah. and play these guys who are like almost irrede- irredeemably bad at times. Yeah. Uh, but he's a nice guy doing it. Like that to me is like that's craft. That's like yeah. re- a real like Gift. Whereas, if you're an asshole and you're funny at playing funny assholes, like there's still a skill level involved in being able to be a performer and be funny. But it almost is like, oh, you got the answers in the back of the book. I feel like this thing happens where people, certain, you know, you get big enough where it gets tough to. Uh, less and less people in your life say no to you. Oh yeah. And so you begin to think that you are always right. Yeah. And then it becomes tougher and tougher to hear anyone say no or to have anything that's not exactly how you want it. Yeah. And it's not that they're assholes or bad people. It's just like they've been conditioned by external stimuli to believe that this is... To, to live it's their life a certain way. And then anything that's, you know... It's like when you go to like a, a resort or something. I don't know. It's like I go to a lot of resorts. But like you go on a vacation, a nice place somewhere and like... Within a week, you start being like, oh, God, they didn't change out the tiles yet? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. When it's like in your own home, you wouldn't you just take a month between washing your... You know what I mean? Right. Like, You come to expect. Manage right. expectations. Exactly. Managing expectations. You equal... You, I like the way we keep coming back to certain themes. Yeah. You adapt... As humans, we are so good at adapting to things, right? Yeah. Um, either for the best or for the worst. Yeah. So I think that's also a tough thing. That's also a thing, again, because we're, because we're trying to keep... I like that we're doing... We're able to talk about some of these things and we're not naming the names because I feel like a lot of... Not to toot our own horn, but I do generally... I like not naming names, if possible, to make the point because I don't want to... I do get tired of, like, people, like, they don't like a movie or they don't like a musician or whatever you know and then they're yeah. like i gotta do a post about how much i hate this thing i was just like well yeah that doesn't really help anybody um 
I always try to post about like, hey, my favorite movie is showing this week, you know, or hey, did you see this? It's great. Uh, whereas like there's very little utility in like, you know, I don't like this movie that everyone else likes and I want to post a thing about like how bad I think it is. And I'm not against also criticism of things. Yeah. But I like it when it is more than just casting a vote against something. Yeah. Like, like I, I love when like when Roger Ebert, when he would not like a movie and he would describe exactly why he didn't like it. Yeah. And what why it didn't work for him and oftentimes would tear things apart in a way that was not personal in a way that made it even more offensive to that filmmaker. Yeah. It wasn't like a personal attack. It was like a, here's just what did not work. Yeah. And I, I also, appreciate that. I don't, what I don't appreciate is, you yeah. know, Fast and Furious 4 sucks. Yeah. It's like all you're trying to do is cast a vote that like you don't like this. And, and it's, it's just like, rude. It's just I find it rude even though it's like, well, Fast and Furious 4 doesn't need our protection. It can handle it. It's doing pretty well. Right. But there's on a basic level I find it like, well, it's rude. Like it's, <laughs> it's so easy and it also contributes nothing. Uh, it brings nothing to the table. Whereas if your negative opinion is interesting, then you've at least brought something. Well, I'll, I'll bring this back to a conversation we were meant to have about eight hours ago. Mm-hmm. But there's always the, the, the cliche joke, the go-to example of why the internet is useless and becoming dumb. As people yeah. say, oh, what's it going to be? Just, uh, you know, everyone's going to post about what they had for breakfast in the morning? Yeah. And how that's such a dumb waste of communication. Yeah. Connor and I were talking about, oh, like... Minutes before we started recording the podcast, we said something, that then we said, we should say this during the podcast. I would prefer if the internet were just people talking about their experiences, about what they're having for breakfast, yeah. what they're doing, the moment-to-moment sort of just like them taking in life and letting that filter onto the internet in a way that, like, the internet becomes almost like a... Uh, uh, elements of history that are just the banal the banal parts of life, but they're yeah. they're... They're, they're fragments of people living, as opposed to just these isolated, empty, hollow... Opinions. Votes of opinion. Not even full opinions, just, yeah. I want you to I know... I don't like this. I, this is the best. This is the worst. Yeah. This person is awful. This person is the best person. Goodbye. Um, and when you said... Because the, the classic thing about Twitter is people like, oh, what are you, everyone tweeting what they had for breakfast? Who wants to know? And you said, I would prefer Twitter if it was just what people had for breakfast. Yeah. I'm proposing someone out there, there should be a Twitter that's just for breakfast. Yeah. Uh, a, a version of Twitter or a similar kind of thing. And actually, it would be pretty amazing if there was a, if there was a, um, what if there was a thing that was like Twitter, but the difference is you have a Twitter feed but you don't follow or unfollow people. Like, everybody's on it. Like, if you join it, you're on it along with every other person it's on it. It's just the fire hose or not. Yeah. yeah. And you just tweet what you had for breakfast. And the rules are uh, don't tweet anything other than what you had for breakfast. And don't lie. And Yeah. And those are the two rules. And you can't enforce all of that, but you could block people if they're, like, not tweeting about what they had for breakfast. Yeah. And you just get a Twitter feed that 24 hours a day, someone on Earth is telling you what they had for breakfast. So you're... Your stream is just like a, a rapidly moving stream of what you had for breakfast. I would argue that you will learn more about a person from them genuinely telling you what they had for breakfast in the morning yeah. 
than them telling you whether or not they thought that American Hustle sucked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Someone posting American Hustle sucks tells you less about the person, their beliefs, and their world than it does to hear that that morning yeah. they had half a yogurt and leftover toast from a meal that they had bought the night before. Most, most, for instance, you can usually, that's true. If you were to follow my breakfasts through the week, you can tell when I'm in a good mode. Yeah. That I'll be like, I got a uh, Faya yogurt uh, and I got a juice and that's what I have for breakfast or, you know, something like that. And then there's a morning where it's like, I bought a gallon of chocolate milk and went into the Dunkin' Donuts and I got two donuts. <laughs> you can tell like, oh, yeah. like, Connor doesn't feel great today. Yeah. Like, he both doesn't feel great because, like, I, don't, I didn't feel great because that's what led me to buy a gallon of chocolate milk or like a quart of chocolate yeah. milk. And I, no, I'm not, not a gallon, it was a quart. Yeah. That's, but it's, that's like a lot when you look yeah. at it. It's like six servings. And I'm like, nope, I drank it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the worst for me is the servings of things. They'll be like, right. oh, I'm going to drink this whole thing. And then I'll look at it and be like, oh, it's not too bad. I'm like, oh, but that's for if I had spread this out over eight different instances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the time where I'm like, oh, I'll have a Greek yogurt and a juice versus the time where I'm, or, or even better, um, in the morning when I'm like, I made a uh, kale and spinach smoothie that I forced myself to guzzle and I had that for my breakfast. Yeah. That's when I really know that I'm keeping it together. Yeah, for me, if I have breakfast, that means I'm I'm either on set or trying to trying to get on top of things because otherwise I just sleep in late. Yeah, and just head right to lunch. Um. Yeah. People. What are other secrets? Well, I know we could talk a little about uh, and this. This this leads us down a path, but I think we can talk about it. I didn't really want to talk about it last time, but um, I think I alluded to it last time. But um, the at the moment, we can talk about my dad a little. Okay. Is that you think that goes to? No. Is that right? I think that's fine. Yeah. So. Um, I haven't said anything publicly about this on any... Like, I feel weird about at what point you reveal stuff in social media. Yes. Because I'm comfortable saying, for instance, like, I'm about to do a show, everybody, and I try to, like, use it to promote something. That feels, like, normal to me. Or if it's like, hey, this thing happened. But th- there's other things that feel like, well, when, what's appropriate now? Like, like, actual life things that are happening. And... Uh, but this isn't a secret. It just sort of isn't something that I've... I've t- a lot of people who know me know this, but it's not something that I would ever put on a... I, don't, I feel weird doing like a Facebook status update for anything too right. real. Right, because it's also like... And I, I like... A lot of you aren't privy to this information. Yeah. And those of you that are, it's not my job to put upon you the situation. Yeah. And... Those of you who don't know the situation but might be interested, it's also not my job to make this something that is part of your... You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, there's an element of when you say something on Facebook that it's the equivalent of like you're in a room that has a stage with a microphone and a sound system yeah. and you get up on the stage you say, 
Hey everybody, uh, just so you know, uh, I'm going to be doing a show in a few days and you know, if anyone wants to come you do this, that feels different than if you're like, oh I have something personal to say, I guess I'll get up on stage and say it. I, I want to say this about Facebook, I like Facebook generally, I, yeah. I understand all the problems, I understand that for a lot of people it feels like, oh it's too much, it's just a yeah. vomit stream of whatever, but I feel like one thing that would make Facebook a lot um, feel better for a lot of people is I feel like people don't use the private message function on Facebook the Will way it's intended to. Will it get a lot colder to? if we turn that off real quick? I can't turn that off. Okay, never mind. Uh, do you want it to get colder? No. I don't, that's just the central It's heating. just the sound, yeah. Yeah, is it sound bad? No, it's just a hiss. They'll yeah. just know that it's a hiss. It's okay. They'll people live. will think of this one as the hissing episode. We'll probably never do another full episode in my apartment. Maybe, because of that. Or if we do, it'll be in the winter. Or the in summer. the summer, sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry, people don't use the private in the summer, message. In the summer, I would have that, robot, that R2-D2-looking robot turned on. Um, private message. People don't use the private message. People use Facebook wall postings to say things that... You can go to the private message and send someone a private message and you get like yeah. a, a forever thread that goes on forever. You know, with the conversation going back. Have you ever looked back at old conversations oh, yeah. you had? Oof. Don't like it. I, I, I like how convenient it is. All right, why? You see embarrassing or bad things? Uh, yes, just because... People change? Right. I first got Facebook when I was in high school. Oh. You know what I mean? So you're getting like, messages about, like, I got a bar. Well, it's like... What do I do? Just the awkward parts of life. Yeah. Um, I can see that. There are some messages... I definitely... There, there are email messages that are buried 10,000 messages deep in my Yahoo account... That are like, yeah, I'll probably never go back there, but I don't want to delete it because it's like, I want to delete those things. Yeah, I just I'm leave embarrassed them buried. Because I was also a weird kid back in the day, I think. Yeah, but you it, you might feel different about how weird you were ten years from now. You might discover some of those things and be like, oh, actually, I like this. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but anyway, so um, the people used the yeah people, but people the Facebook message is, hey JD, I want to talk to you about something like this. And the, if you're posting on someone's wall, you're going, hey, everybody, I'm telling JD this. Yeah. And it's like announcing it to the room. And people do it for things. And I'm like, why don't you use the personal message? This is a, yeah. not a, a giant public announcement. This is a question or a conversation that yeah. two people can have using their indoor voices. Um, but anyway, so the thing that I haven't announced or talked about on social media is that um, in December, um, my father... Uh, his back started hurting suddenly, very badly. And this was like on a Sunday, I think. And he like couldn't get up. And my mom had like pretty serious back surgery like a couple of years ago. And she's still like, she's ba- a lot better, but she's like still, you know, recovering. It's still something that she's like dealing with and everything. And he, my dad just couldn't get out of bed. My dad's like six foot tall and my mom's shorter than me. And she like, got him into, like, a clinic. Yeah. And they, like, looked at him, and they, there's, like, a clinic just, a, like, two minutes from our house in Missouri, and, uh, like, the health plex or whatever. And they looked at him and said, oh, you probably pulled a muscle. They gave him some shots, and they sent him home. Well, the next day was even worse. He just couldn't move, and he was, yeah. like, having these back spasms. And so he, uh, they went into the hospital, finally, and to the emergency room. And I don't know how my mom got him in the car, but... When they got to the hospital, they said, we need to take him to another hospital in Columbia, which is about a half hour away. And they basically what happened was one of his vertebrae 
just collapsed. Like it just the the bone had weakened to the point where it just was like gone. Right. And so they're like, well, his back is broken. Uh, he has a collapsed vertebrae, and that's pinching the nerve. And uh, they said it could be osteoporosis or uh, it could be cancer. And it turned out it was cancer. And he has he has the same thing that Tom Brokaw was actually uh, diagnosed with this week or, or right. announced this week, uh, which is m- multiple myeloma, which is basically like in the the blood and the plasma and the bone. Um, and so he was in the hospital uh, for a few weeks and they repaired the, the, the vertebrae. They filled it in with cement and, and it's just been like, so for the past and, and he's still dealing with the cancer. The back is getting better, the spasm, but it's really been like two, he had like two solid months of like, there was like, I would say a month or at least a few weeks where like the pain of having a broken back was like a huge thing Yeah, where it was like, he would be, be lying there and then all of a sudden would just be like screaming, just like in agony out of nowhere. And I was like, yeah. and, he could, and then when, you're not in, when he's not in pain, he was in fear of like the pain is going to come back. Yeah. Like he wasn't doing anything to cause it. And they had him on so much, as much pain medicine as they could put him on. It still was like right. screaming agony. And then he got an infection. So like I was home for a little while and he was on this infusion machine where like every six hours... My mom and I would have to hook him up to this machine and like pump antibiotics into him, and so like, and if you think about that, like that really the every six hours thing meant that you could never fully do any, get anything done with your day. You could never fully rest. You could never get right. a full night's sleep in there. Um, and in between, he also had to have like medicine at four different intervals during the day, and then you have to have meals and he has to get a shower and all sort of stuff. And right, then so just, all day is just so just like yeah. I was home for two weeks and that two weeks was just like a constant schedule. Like you get an hour free, but don't go too far because you got to be back, yeah. you know? Um, so that's been, so now like we, he's had the, the weird thing, which is that the short term problems of like a broken back, uh, which like he was feeling like, like my dad was feeling like, I just feel like I should be healing quicker. Like he was like frustrated that he wasn't healing quicker. And I'm like, dad, this is what they did to Batman in the last Batman movie to show that he was going through his worst ever personal crisis. They broke his back. Like, there's right. a, you're not going to heal from this quicker than Batman did. Like, it's, right. They had a montage where he was in a pit for a year healing. Uh, and, but it's a weird thing, which is this, like, the big problem, the big long-term problem is the multiple myeloma. And... But he had all these short-term problems, which was just like he couldn't right. walk. He had a catheter in. He had this infection. All these things were like taking up all the attention. Uh, so that was the thing that I alluded to in the last podcast. But I didn't feel like talking about because I literally had had been dealing with it for just a few weeks at that point. Yeah. And I actually told JD about it like moments before we did the last podcast. And I was just like, I don't want to talk about it in this. Because I kind of, at that point, I didn't know what this podcast was, and I felt like, oh, this will be like, uh, yeah, it will depress people so much that they won't want to deal with it, or they, it will ruin the podcast. Yeah, and I felt like I could say it in this podcast and at least get it out there as a, as a underlying situation, so that because uh, it does color a lot of other things that I'm thinking about or talking yeah. about. 
Uh, anyway, that was a long bit of exposition. Yeah, but that's fair to get out. Yeah. Um, and how are you feeling about it? It's, it's weird because it's hard. It's so abstract when I'm not there. Like I was there for, a few, for over a week in December, and then I went back for a few weeks in January. I'm going back for another week in March. And it's weird when you're not there because when you're there, it just like fills up everything. Yeah. And then when you're not there, you're having work, you're having to go do other things, and you get to the point where you're, uh, it's, it, your mind goes to other places and then you'll remember it or then you'll, you'll uh, you know, it, it's just hard to deal with remotely. It becomes more abstract. I think the one thing is like he's, all the thing like visiting him in December and then in January, it was visiting someone who was like, I can't walk, I can't fully get up, I can't do that. There were so many things that were make, making yeah. him immobile and helpless. And because we were getting the cancer news at the same time, it sort of felt like, oh, cancer has made it so he can no longer walk, he can no longer do this. And a lot of those things he can't already do again. Right. Those were just like symptoms of the... Having not known about it. Yeah. yeah. It was just like... Uh, so in some ways, like it's hard to gauge the improvement because on the surface it's like, oh, you can walk, you don't have a catheter, you're not hooked up to an infusion machine, uh, you're not having back spasms and horrible pain all the time. It seems like, oh, everything's getting better. Right. But at the same time, we don't know what the larger, um, it's harder to know what the larger thing is because if you, were, if you didn't know anything, you just knew what you were seeing, you'd be like, oh, whatever happened in December is better and will be gone soon. Yeah. Um, whereas like, this is more like of a long haul thing of like trying to deal with it and try, he's got to have like a bone marrow transplant, I think in a few months, uh, depending on like where he gets to with the chemo. Right. I mean, I've been lucky. I mean, I'm almost 40 years old and I haven't, uh, I haven't really had a tremendous amount of like, uh, serious like mortality trauma in my life. Like I know a lot of people who it's like, oh, you lost, well, my dad lost his dad as like a teenager. Right. And I've been, I've been pretty lucky in that like, you know, I've had like grandparents die and things like that, but they all, that felt expected. Like when I was, a, when I was a young kid, uh, I don't have a memory of this, but I've been told that like, uh, I was having a conversation with my grandma and she started saying something about like, well, when you're older, then you can take me to see this or something. Or when you're old enough to drive, you can do this. And I, as like a four-year-old or whatever, just matter of fact, I said, Grandma, you'll be dead by then. And it was just like, oh, it was just like, that was something I understood as a little kid. Like, oh, I look around, I see people who are old, they probably won't be around very long. Right. But then, other than that, like I haven't, I have been lucky not to have to deal with a lot of it, but that also puts in me a, a sense of growing dread that it's like, oh, is everything going to happen like at once? Yeah. Like I do have that sense of like, oh, am I about to head into the part of my life that is just like everything goes away? Am I, JD? I don't think so. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's the other thing. I also think, because I feel like, you know, there's people that have had it worse than me, but I also feel like I've had my fair share of Things here and there, emotional ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and recently, there's been a lot of, a lot of those 
either not necessarily in my family, but with friends of mine doing stuff like that. And yeah. So I've been having to talk with a lot of friends about who are dealing with stuff like that. And uh, I remember talking with my mom a lot because uh, my grandfather, who I was very close with, died mm -hmm. just last year. Yeah. And he was, you know, very with it and very. Our, we have a very close family. Yeah. So I was very close to them. I, you know, my mom, whose father it was, very close. And so yeah. he died. It was very hard on the family. Yeah. But the thing that I kept rationalizing, which is something I truly believe, not rationalizing, yeah. but something that I kept thinking of that I had to sort of learn throughout all these, slowly over time, over these processes, yeah. which I think is very important, is that um, in life there are good things that happen, there are bad things that happen, there are things that are sort of good, there are things that are sort of bad, there are things that are not. The whole point of life is this spectrum of experience, right? Yeah. And because... We grow up so often learning that, um, you know, when bad things happen, you feel sad. Yeah. We attribute the uh, a, a negative emotion to sadness or sorrow uh -huh. or um, depression. Yeah. Um, but largely, that's because in certain points of our life, like it's it's not right to be sad or sorrowful or something like that because a lot of things we're dealing with aren't actually that big of a deal, right? You're yeah. told not to cry as a kid, not because crying is bad, but because you're crying about things that aren't actually of consequence, yeah. right? But there comes a time when um, you have to sort of dispel that notion that being sad is a bad thing, especially if sad things do happen. Yeah. And instead, you sort of have to embrace it and find that emotion just as meaningful and beautiful as, as much as you embrace happiness when it happens, right? So like... Yeah. When good things happen, it's very easy to indulge yourself in feeling happy and feeling elated and feeling like, oh man, this is great that this is happening. Yeah. I'm just living in this moment. Um, I'm feeling this happiness. It's great. Yeah. I think we've convinced ourselves that it's um, not worthwhile to indulge on the sad end of the spectrum. Yeah. Because it's rare that there are things that are truly sad and hurtful and, you know. Yeah. But when those things do happen, I think it's so important to take a moment and experience that and let that be just as beautiful and exhilarating a thing to be a part to experience and let yourself over to that emotion. Yeah. Because the world is full of good things and bad things and things that are happy things and things that are sad things. Yeah. And just because there's a spectrum of good and bad and happy and sad doesn't mean they line up one to one, right? When yeah. something sad happens, it's okay to feel sad about it. And it's, in fact, important to feel sad about it. And yeah. important to say, yes, right now this is a tough thing and I'm going to allow myself to feel sad about it in this moment and I will feel happy again. Yeah. But right now is time for me to feel sad and I should embrace that and be okay with that. Yeah. Because um, I think the real struggle comes from trying to fight that and trying to convince yourself, oh, no, 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 why shouldn't I be sad right now? And it's like, well, no, if you should be sad, it's okay to be sad. Yeah. You just, like like any emotion, you can't you can't let it, take over yourself, right? In the same way that when you're happy, you can't let it yeah. completely take over yourself or you become crazed. You can't let your sadness take over yourself. So you just sort of have to let it come and deal with it. And then you don't have that struggle internally that makes it so tough where you try to logic like, oh no, there's a reason. It's like, no, no, no. If there's not a reason to be happy, it's okay. Yeah. You don't always have to be happy. Let yourself be sad. I, I had a period, I, there's one, I've never been in therapy there was one period where there were people who were suggesting to me that maybe I should be in therapy, I should try therapy. 
And I was always against it because I was always like, I always felt like, I believe it's helpful to a lot of people, but I'm like, the impulse isn't coming from me. Like, I, I felt like I feel sad, I'm depressed, and I know why. It's because X, Y, and Z are happening in my life, and I'm not happy about it. Right. And as long as X, Y, and Z are the factors in my life that are happening, I'm going to feel bad about it. And when it's no longer, that's no longer the focus, I'll feel better. And I really just felt like, no, like, as long as, like, I know why, it's not like I'm going to go and I'm going to find a greater understanding. And I felt like I'm just going to tell them what I think I need to say to, I'm going to say what I think they want to hear. Right. And... It really was like, I know the reasons I'm sad, and I kind of just have to feel sad about them for a while. Right. But I think that I think that's probably a danger and the thing that you also have to be careful is, is if like if people are telling you that you need help is sometimes it's like, yeah, I think you've let either there's a, a, a mismatching perspective of those sad yeah. things or you've let that sadness overcome you to a point. You know what I mean? Well, there's and, also a thing where and it's like, I always, I you always, have to let it take its time and then... Yeah, and to be clear, I always recommend other people uh, consider therapy as a viable option. It was just that in my circumstance, I was like, I just am not feeling it. Well, because also... I'm, I just think a hip- I'm a hypocrite in that sense. I think you're also misattributing the idea of therapy. Yeah. Because um, I'm a person that had never gone to therapy. I'm... I'm now what like six sessions into my first experience yeah. dealing with. I had a lot of been having a lot of issues with stress and anxiety because yeah. my work life and personal life have all gotten very stressful at the same time, and yeah. I'm having a tough time every now and then coping with it. Um, and I went in skeptical, just like everyone, you know, just like you said. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, what's actually helpful about it is you realize very quickly you're like, oh. This is a transaction I'm making. Yeah. I am here because there is something about this current situation that I, I, I think can be improved. Yeah. And I need an objective set of eyes to help me yeah. come up with strategies for that. Now, there is, just like everything, there's a way to, to get through it and get around it. But, and I think this is something that I'm dealing with right now, is I'm like, oh, because you know, there's stuff that I don't want to talk about or don't want to bring up or don't want to get into... Yeah, and then I'm like, no, 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 no. The point of this person is to say what's on is to mind. say these things that I don't feel comfortable talking about or getting into. Yeah, and the act of doing that will be something that will um, allow that person to help me in ways that I can't conceive right now. Yeah, because like if I knew the things that this person was going to do to help me, there wouldn't be a reason to go. Uh-huh. So that's why I think that logic that you're saying isn't quite valid because. The point isn't necessarily that you need to see the logic of how they're going to help you. It's that you need help with something. And I don't know it yet. And you don't know how that's going to manifest itself. Yeah, I think It's just me, the idea that you need help with something, and then they'll be the ones in charge of figuring out how to help you. Yeah. I felt in my instance, I knew real specifically what was bothering me, and... It felt real practical and real like, yeah, once I get past this, I'll be fine. Right. Um, but the idea of a therapist or something like that is that then they... They'll figure help something you, else out. Well, they help you think of strategies to come over to... Yeah. To get over that or deal with that that maybe you had not... Yeah. ...considered. Um, the... What was I going to say? The, um, Timmy Wood just texted... 
Yeah. Twelve Hour Day is the true detective of podcast. Hashtag Ansi Matt. I don't remember what Ansi Matt. I don't either at all. And that people, was, they it, love well, that if hashtag. If you're listening right now, hashtag us Ansi Matt. We don't know the context of it. Yeah. My assumption is that Matt Cohen was Ansi. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, well, that, that, that sounds like him. I hope that longtime listeners of this podcast don't miss the presence of Matthew Cohen too much, since he was a vital. Uh, I think. This is a more personal episode, it feels this like. This really is. Like, I do feel like, I, I want to stress that we're going to be having a ton of fun in episode three at South by Southwest. And we probably aren't going to go, I'm guessing, to as many dark places. It's probably going to be a goofier episode than this Well, because I think eventually you and I will also run, run out of uh, yeah. stuff from our past to talk about. I feel like this is a good follow-up episode because I feel like we're really getting into, I mean, I'm not saying everything. I'm not laying everything on the line. Yeah. But I think we are dipping into areas that are um, a little more personal. Right now, uh, the water you hear is not my heating system going crazy. I am... Cleaning some stuff in preparation for beginning to prepare some food for a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... Now, don't you also feel, I also feel like it's a common phenomenon. I know you were talking about how people need to feel sadness, but there is the also, also the, I think, very common phenomenon of people not allowing themselves to enjoy the happiness because they're always waiting... For the other shoe to drop, they're always waiting for. Well, I know ultimately, you know, something bad's going to happen. And well, I do feel like there's a lot of people who deprive themselves of ever fully. Like I'm very. I feel like one of the things that, particularly, in the past decade, yeah, I've become better about is, like, even when I'm going through, like I've I've had a rough couple of months. Right. But I'm also aware that my rough couple of months is nothing compared to the couple of months that my mom's been going through. And I know that my rough couple of months is nowhere near as bad as what my dad's been going through. Like, right. I know that as sad as I've been and as uh, tense or stressed or frustrated or anything like that as I've been, I don't think I've had an experience in the past few months that comes close to the kind of, like, I, I haven't screamed in agony in the past two months. Yeah. And... My dad had at least a solid week where the dominant thing he was feeling was uh, piercing pain that's so bad that he uh, his face looks different. Like he's making expressions that are like yeah. the kind that you make. Like if I were to take a knife and start cutting you, you would start making the kind of faces yeah. that he was making. Right. So like even just in that immediate sphere, like I'm aware that like there's – you should – like right now – are you in any pain or anything, like walking around or any discomfort? Not really. But, like, we don't think about it. Yeah. Like, if I cut my finger, I'm going to spend the next week being like, oh, I can't use my finger. But right now, I have no cuts to my fingers. And I'm not, unless I make myself think about it, I don't have a week where I'm like, fingers are feeling great this week. No cuts. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of mileage in people just, like, being really, trying to be as aware as possible of, like, from a historical perspective, if you think about, like, most human lives in the history of the planet, we're doing really well, you yeah. and I. Yeah. Like, statistically speaking, if yeah. you think of, like, most lives that human beings have had on Earth. Yeah. We're doing really, we're at the upper end of things. 
I agree. I agree with you. And that's not to belittle when we have things that are going wrong or things that feel bad. It's not to take like, oh, you shouldn't complain or anything. But like, it always does make me feel better to just keep things as much in perspective as possible of like, you know, appreciating what you got while you got it and feeling like, like trying to be aware when things are kind of going your way so that at least when you get to a point where things aren't going your way, you know that you didn't, blo- you didn't waste it, you know? Yeah. Here, I didn't, I'm, I, so I have a story that relates to that same feeling. Okay. That is something that is meaningful to me. It's a story that I did not intend to tell today, but I will tell the story. Okay. This is a story that I've been trying to figure out the best way to tell it because it is a very meaningful story in my life. Okay. What uh, time frame? Is this a, an old story or a... It's an old story, per okay. se. Um, and, and while, while, just in case you hear weird noises, while J.D. telling the story, I'm taking the salmon yes. and getting ready to prepare to make the basic shapes of salmon. Percussion. Absolutely. So I've talked about my sister... Allison, mm-hmm. who is my middle sister, not the oldest, uh-huh. she has a disability. Yeah, um, she was uh, born with what is called trisomy 18, which um, is a genetic disability that accounts for something like 80 percent of all stillbirths, mm-hmm. um, and is basically um, any time there's a stillbirth, it t- typically is trisomy 18. Uh-huh. Um, and so my parents were pregnant with her, and they found out she had a disability. And the doctors basically told them, listen, um, you can go through with this or not. It's probably not going to work out. So there's a part of, you know, there's a... At what point in the, in the pregnancy was this? I don't know exactly when, but, you know, I, I know my mom has mentioned offhand that they were like, you know, there's a, a version of this where you don't name the child you know you just sort of treat this like a medical issue right um but my parents decided to to uh i mean what i think it was at a point where they're like no we want it you know it's it this is our daughter yeah i think it was at that point and the doctor was like we're just warning you it'll probably you know only be in the cases like this it can it'll be hours perhaps yeah so she was born and they're like "It, it might be it might be hours they took her away and then they're like Okay, she's stabilized, but it's going to be probably a couple days. Um, yeah. And then a couple days went by, and they went, we'll let you go home, but it's probably only going to be a couple weeks. Right. Okay, a couple weeks went by. They went, okay, she's looking stable, but it's probably going to be a couple months. And in the history of um, children with trisomy 18, they usually only live until, I think there's like a, a few reported cases living beyond age six. So this was not like, uh, even in that context, I don't need to cut off, but like, this was not them being like, oh, this isn't like Philomena where it's like, these were like horrible doctors who were like, no. lying to people. They were saying what most likely was going yes, to happen. absolutely. And so then, cut to about a decade later, she's now, you know, uh, around 16, 17, living this super happy life. Now, Trisomy 18, it basically means she's got the, the mental capacity of like a one-year-old child. She can't walk, can't talk. Uh, you know, her limbs aren't strong enough, so she's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. She can't really communicate in a major way. Yeah. But she can communicate in the, same, in the same sense that you can sort of with like a one-year-old or a two, you know, where it's like... Yeah, like There's somebody there. 
yeah, there's somebody there, and you know, uh, you can feed her and she'll eat, and she laughs at certain stimuli, and she, that, you know, she's like there. But then she lived all these years, so she also gained little things like a sense of humor. Yeah. And like, you know, she can like uh, use a cup and drink and stuff like that. And, like, so certain things she can't do. Like, you don't know if she knows who you are. Yeah. But you know that certain things make her happy, and she thinks things are funny, and she yeah. likes being around people and stuff like that. And one of the things that she loved is she loves, like, for example, loud noises, right? Yeah. She would, like, if something made a noise, she'd hold up her ear, and that was just, like, the happiest thing in the world. Where she, that made her so happy, just hearing yeah. loud noises. To the point where, like, you'd be, we'd be at dinner, and she'd just start laughing, and she'd have uh, milk on her tray, and she'd hold it out over the side of her wheel. She'd be like, Allison, don't do it. And then she would start laughing, drop her on the floor. Uh-huh. You'd hear the crash, and we'd all be like, Allison. So she, like, you know, she yeah. had a sense of humor that was more mature than a, yeah. a, a one-year-old, but also couldn't speak, didn't really know if you, you know, yeah. variations of that. Yeah. Um, but the big thing with her is she was always, always, always happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'd always find a, a way to make herself happy in every situation. In fact, I think I only saw her cry once in the history of um, her, be, you know, me being with her. And that yeah. was uh, my, my mom's camera accidentally swung and hit her. And yeah. that was the only time she cried. It was like for a second. And then she immediately was laughing about something else. How weird was that if you never experienced Very that strange. Very strange. My mom felt so awful about it. Yeah. Because she was trying to, you know... Uh, put her coat on or something, and she had a cam- an old camera around her neck. Yeah. Um, but so, I forget how old I was, but this was sort of a big moment in my life, is that um, one day there was a problem. And uh, what we had learned was that there was some sort of internal bleeding going on, and the doctors had no idea what the situation was. Uh-huh. And it wasn't stopping, and she was getting weaker and weaker, and... She had to go into the hospital and then into intensive care, and we were basically told, I mean, that the doctor said, okay, this is the end. Yeah. Um, this is, there's nothing we can do. We don't know where it's coming from. Surgery would be too invasive. Her body isn't strong enough to, even if we could figure out what it was through surgery, just the sheer fact of us doing surgery might be something that yeah. would be harmful. And my parents were like, yeah, we don't want to put her through any pain, just, you know, so it was just sort of a waiting game. And um, I might have been in seventh or eighth grade at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, hard, that was super hard for our family to basically hear that my sister yeah. was dying. And my, for my parents, their daughter was dying. Yeah. And that was sort of it. And so we were on a 24-hour sort of cycle of someone being with her at the hospital. Yeah. Um, and we'd sit with her. And then at night, someone would stay over in the, the hospital room just so she was never alone there. She was hooked up to every machine kind of thing. With you know, it was like the very stereotypical thing where she's hooked up to the machine. Yeah. Um, that you know, her her vibe was like dee, dee, like yeah, that like movie kind of thing where yeah. like she's hooked up to the whole machine. Um, and so my you know my parents had to sit us down and sort of explain to us the situation, and it was like heartbreaking because I was very particularly close to her. Yeah. Um, and um, the moment that to me is like one of the most meaningful moments of my of my being was um, time had gone by and it was looking like things were not going to go well and it was sort of one of those any day now kind of thing mm-hmm. and I remember in the middle of the night it was like you know it's like that nightmare feeling is at 3am the phone rings and it's like immediately you know what that is yeah it's not good and so I remember my mom waking us up 
and being like, let's go, we gotta get, let's get in the car, we have to go see Allison. It was like that car ride over, I'll never forget, was just driving. I still remember the image looking out the backseat window, we were all just very quiet. And I remember seeing the, like, the yellow street lights go by outside of the hospital when it was like, we pulled in. Yeah. And um, basically they had this system in place where um, you know, whenever it looked like her vitals were going, they called, it basically automatically set up a call, like the, the whoever, whoever was on duty in the middle of the night would call immediately just so the family could get there. Right. So it's like basically once the vitals drop, yeah. family come in. So we arrive and uh, we're met by a doctor who's sort of laughing uh-huh. and we're like, not quite sure what's going on. It's still sort of... Oh, God, that's, that's very strange. still somber, but she sort of has a smile on her face. Uh-huh. And then it was explained to us that what had just happened was um, my sister Allison was connected to all of these devices that were doing her monitoring. Uh-huh. And she learned through seeing it being connected and disconnected yeah. that when she pulled them off, it made this amazing beeping alarm sound that she just loved. So she would pull off all of the, the things so she could uh-huh. hear it go, ah, 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 dee, 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 Yeah. And that brought her joy. Right. So on her deathbed, <laughs> oh my God. she was finding joy in the one place where she could find it, which was the sound of the machines saying whether she's alive or dead making noise. Yeah. And to me, that summed up everything just about like sort of how to live your life, right? Right. No matter what situation you're in, yeah. how bad it looks, you find the one thing that'll make you happy. Yeah. And let that make you happy in that moment. Yeah. Um, and then miraculously, she recovered. They had no idea why, what had happened. And then right now she's 27 years old. Wow. That's great. So that's one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, anytime I'm in a, a stressed out situation or like yeah. in a bad situation, I'm just like, yeah, you always got to find the one thing that'll make you smile, even in, yeah. even even in the face of the worst possible yeah. thing. Even if the thing that makes you smile is unplugging the machine that indicates whether the, you are alive or dead. Exactly. Yeah. The sound of a robot telling you that you're dead, <laughs> if that's the thing that'll make you happy, yeah. make, make it make a noise. Um, that's an amazing story. Yeah, I. Uh, and you know, it was just one of those moments that was like, if you wrote it, it would feel contrived. Yeah, you know? like I was thinking that, like if you put that in a movie, it feels like it. It you if you ask most people, they'd say like, oh, did the studio ask you to add that scene in? Right. You know, like it would have that feeling of of uh, maybe we could have a scene where like she. Like we, we, let's maybe we have a scene where we think she's gonna die, but it's really that, she, that this happens, and right. then they all come in and they're laughing, and and you imagine the filmmaker being like, "No, we're telling what really, we're yeah. telling the story that's true." God damn it! You know yeah. we're gonna do this. Um, yeah, it's also fascinating to hear about to hear you say about like um, the way that. Like, like your relationship to her at this point. Like, sure. you saying, like, 
her awareness of you being disconnected from your relationship with her. Right. That you can still do things that make her in that moment happy to be around you. Right. Like, she doesn't know you're JD. Right. But she knows she likes being around you right now. Right, exactly. Um, and that's the thing is that we can never really be sure what she know, does know and doesn't know. Yeah. Like, we don't know if she understands that we're her family or that, yeah. like, or even if she, like, recognizes us. Yeah. I mean, I think she, it's like there's a certain comfort. Like, when we take her back, because she lives in a place called Misericordia, which is why my family moved back to the north suburb of Chicago, is that there's this amazing place that is basically, like, like a, a college campus for kids of varying disabilities. Uh -huh. So everyone from someone like my sister who needs sort of constant care, someone to change her and bathe, you know, that uh -huh. kind of stuff yeah. and feed her, to uh, people with adult Down syndrome that needs a sponsor to live with them and sort of help them get to work on time and, you know, stay on top of things. Yeah. It's an amazing place. Like, the point where she lives in a place, like, her room that she lives in is, like, nicer than my apartment. Yeah. And it's all completely free. Just, like, a really amazing, amazing, amazing place, Misericordia. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and so, you know, we'd visit her every single chance we got and take her home and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But whenever we take her back, you can, she just, you can just tell how happy and comfortable she is to be like, oh, this is, I'm near my bed, you know, like. Yeah. These are the sounds and smells of the place where, I'm, I, like. where I, I, I spend all of my time. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, we get that feeling when she's around us, too, to a certain extent. But also, it's like, you can tell that she finds certain comfort yeah. in things. So it's, but it's also, you know, you have to live moment to moment in that circumstance. Like, you, uh, you treat her nicely, and she, you know, she knows she's being... She's with people who are, you know, yeah. she's happy to be with. And you think about how so many times you see people, like, you know, you hear people talk about, like, oh, boy, it's Thanksgiving. How am I going to get through this weekend with my family? Yeah. And I always find that I've never been able to understand it. It makes me feel bad the number of times that I hear that every Thanksgiving, that people are like, oh, boy, how am I going to make it through one weekend with my whole family? Yeah. And you think, like... Wow, uh, I know that's that's you know sometimes that's just a playful joke. Sometimes that's you know has more truth than it other times. But you think about the number of like people who have families that they love each other, but moment to moment they don't behave in a way that would make them like them in that moment. Yeah, you know that they'll they'll be mean to them or they'll be unnecessarily harsh or you know the any number of of ways that they will undercut or undermine. You know, like everyone's sad and says nice things at the funeral, you know? Yeah. But how often people fail to just live up to that basic, uh, hey, like, let's uh, be nice to each other uh, yeah. while we can. Um, yeah, exactly. The other thing that I noticed is, like, I had, um, uh, it always occurs to me, like, I have dementia that runs in my family. Right. Uh, you know, like, both my parents died of Alzheimer's. I mean, both my uh, grandparents on my maternal side died of Alzheimer's. And it's something my mom's always, like, aware of. She's always worried about yeah. it. And her sister passed away recently of Alzheimer's. And there is a, there is a thing that happens with some people where, you know, like, there's that sad mirroring thing that happens in life, which is that, like, 
when you get old, it's kind of like a bad version of being a, becoming a baby again. Right. It's like you don't have the cuteness, you don't have the hope, you don't have the... There's all the things that make it... People love being around babies. Yeah. Those same things are what make people not want to be around the elderly. Yeah. Because uh, they're just like opposite babies. Right. And... But nobody says like, well, I'm not going to bother uh, playing with that baby. He won't remember it. Yeah. Like, everyone's, like, so happy to play with a baby. Sing a song to a baby because, oh, he loves the sound of this. Yeah. He loves this noise. He loves whatever. Well, like, old people like music, even if they don't recognize you. Yeah. There's things that you can do that would be like, oh, maybe you like to eat this. Maybe you like to hear this sound. Like, you don't know who I am, but I bet if I sing to you a song from your childhood, you'll like it and you'll feel good for this time. Yeah. And I'm amazed at how often people fail to make that connection. It's just like, you know, you would do this if it was a baby, despite the fact that you're not... Or building a dog, or permanent yeah. memories. Yeah, and it's like, well, you know, you like this person all through their life, and now they don't remember you. It's like, well, they're not going to remember us anyway. As if they were, as if they were just someone you were trying to impress for like a job interview or something. Yeah. Like, well, the job's taken. I don't need to. And it's like, no, this is a person that like you cared about your whole life. Yeah, and now that they can't remember you or recognize you. You can still make it nice for them. It's still them, even though. And you should take joy in seeing them happy. You know? Yeah. Uh, we went when it, the last time I was in Ireland. We went on a like a um, trip to like a. They have these like stately homes, like these yeah. big estates that you can tour in Ireland, and they'll have like big gardens and stuff like that. And we went with my aunt Claire, who the one who passed away recently. Right. And, I, and we were all aware. Like I was aware at that point that she was starting to get to the point where she was like forgetting a lot of stuff. She wasn't sure. recognizing people. She was doing that thing you do where you were bluffing, like oh hey how are you? And she doesn't recognize you, but she yeah. knows how to fake it. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, really, it was like, oh, she's really enjoying this day. Yeah. Like we were going around and everything was fun. And it really was like, it does not matter to me if she forgets this tomorrow. Right. Like, she is having a good day today. Yeah. I still remember that. Like, I have the memory. Like, yeah. I, it, I have the memory of, like, I know that she had a good time that day going around with us, even though she might have been faking recognizing me at that yeah. point. You know, like I wasn't someone who was a regular presence there. Um, you know, it is an interesting thing that, uh, it's interesting how, how things like that work, you know? Yeah. 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 This has been a very, uh, I think, uh, I hope that people who are listening to this uh, appreciate that we've just gone through, I think, an honest and painful section, but a section that I think also has a lot of humanity and uh, hopeful, optimistic things in it. Yeah. My, uh, my sister in high school. Yeah. Because um, part of the program of the placement of the court is that she would go to school yeah. until she was, however old, 20... No, until she was 19 or so. Some, there's some state-designated uh -huh. length where kids with disabilities can yeah. go to school until then. Yeah. And so at a certain point, she'd go to a special school that was just for, you know, they would teach her how to, like one thing they would teach her was um, they thought she might not have great hearing mm -hmm. and not great eyesight. Yeah. So they taught her to put her hand on people's throats when they talk. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of things that they teach people with disabilities. Right. 
because you can hear the vibration in the right. throat and you can understand when someone is talking or not talking and yeah. based on those vibrations you can sort of tell sometimes what they're kind of what they're saying yeah so like they teach her stuff like that or how to use a button or how to how to use her cup mm-hmm. they teach her tasks and like you know over a year want to teach her one new thing you yeah know? um but then she got old enough that they took her from that school to my high school which was you know uh a very uh, well-funded public high school uh-huh. that had a huge program for people with disabilities from all, for all uh, abilities. So it became this sort of weird, fun thing where she was being taken care of, of by like classmates and like stuff like that. Uh-huh. But then they would have different tasks they would try to teach, and they would have different areas of their schooling that was sort of more geared towards higher ability kids versus lower. Mm-hmm. And you could tell when like. Because it's tough because you never know. There's people that have like cerebral palsy, right? Where mm. they look like my sister, but there's a person right. inside that is... Um, can't communicate. Can't or communi- or can't struggles communicate. to communicate. Struggles to communicate, but it's mentally pretty much all there. Yeah. Whereas my sister appears that way and her mind is also sort of similarly uh, disabled. Yeah. And so, um, you know, people would come and be like, Hi, Allison, how are you today? Are you good? Are you good? And it's kind of thing where like she's not gonna like you're not gonna yeah. get. So it's like sort of a, a fun, strange thing to see for people having to learn to deal with her because she's also someone who everyone always loved because she's a bit of a troublemaker. Yeah, like she loves just sort of like causing trouble and yeah, um, having fun. So like I would see her walk, like somebody pushing her in the wheelchair down down the hallway, mm-hmm. and my sister would be grabbing books of kids yeah. and like just knocking them onto the floor uh-huh. and just laughing and they'd be yeah. like Allison you can't that's not nice to do you can't do that and it's like she doesn't know what you're saying she's enjoying the fact that there's stuff to grab and so she yeah. has hands out touching anything she can yeah um, but then the, the the thing that I always thought was so funny that my mom always gets mad at me but laughingly so is yeah. they had a thing where I guess they were trying to teach all the kids how to use email yeah <laughs> and so um, I would get emails from my sister, uh-huh. this is my sister who can't walk, can't talk, yeah. can't feed herself. Yeah. The emails were like, hello, JD, how are you today? Today we learned about the presidents. You are a great brother. I love you so much. We learned today that Abraham Lincoln worked to do this and that. And I'd be like, like oh my God. Like, and so then I'd, knowing that it was basically just a student helper yeah. typing up this email, being like, do we want to write this now? Yeah? Yeah. My sister just like sort of like playing with whatever toy was on her thing. Yeah. So then I'd write emails back that were like, oh my gosh, you can communicate now? Like, uh-huh. like we have so much to talk about. This is insane. This is incredible. Yeah. Like, like have, you no- have you been able to do this? And, then, and your mom uh, hated that. Oh, my mom hated it. Well, she didn't hate it, but she just was like, they're just trying, they're trying so hard. Like, that's have to give, cut them slack. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't need to receive emails from my disabled sister who can't communicate. Yeah. So it'd be like, email from Allison Amata. I'd be like, what? And I'd right. read it and it'd be like, we went to the park today and learned about monarch butterflies. And I'd be like, well, that's amazing. Can we talk about all the years that we haven't right. been able to, 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 to talk and do all this stuff? Yeah. Because it almost feels like a mean prank to get that email. Yeah. At first I was like, what? Yeah. But it was also just, I just felt like, that, that cynical part of me that was sort of like, I don't need to receive an email from my sister to remind me that she can't communicate with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what did the doctors say now? Like, what was there a point where the doctors were like, 
we're no longer making predictions because... Yeah, I think that happened at like age six. <laughs> yeah, where they're just like... I mean, has there been a consistency? Has there been a doctor that's been like, I've been here from the point where we were saying like there was no hope of this happening? Well, she doesn't really... didn't go to any public doctors anymore. Yeah. It's only people that are a part of the of misericordia. Yeah. So they have a lot more experience with people with disabilities. Right. And the the prevailing treatment is not like, well, how do we fix the fact that she's disabled? It's sort of like, how do we? Oh, it seems like she has a stuffy nose. How do how do we get her to take anti-allergy medicine? So it's really moment to moment, day by day. It's just symptom to symptom stuff because it's basically like, listen, we're not going to try to figure it out. We just want to make her as happy as possible. Yeah. Because that was the big thing is that when she had to go to the hospital for the uh, internal bleeding, there would be lines of doctors coming in to see this mm-hmm. case. It was so rare. Yeah. Um, my parents basically had to be like, no one, no more visitors, like right. none of that. Because yeah. they don't want her to be a science experiment, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been interesting. But yeah, it would be, I am curious. Because, you know, I'd look it up and it's like, you know, I remember reading one article. This was years and years ago, yeah. so maybe it's, you know, maybe there's a lot of people in the age of my sister now. Yeah. But I remember reading years and years of the article, and it was like, oh, yeah, the, there's been, uh, like, three known cases where children with trisomy 18 have, li- have lived over age six, with one even living to age 11. And it's like, and now I'm like my sister who's 27 years old. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the Internet, you know... I, I do feel like, I mean, the internet's amazing. Yeah. Without the internet, we wouldn't have this podcast. But I do feel like there's that prevailing thing, and I think it ties into our thing about, like, negative critical opinions. Yeah. That, like, if you wanted to buy a TV, good luck finding a TV for any kind of affordable price that anyone has written anything good about. Yeah. Because you get, most people, you like, you buy a TV, it works. You don't then say, like, yeah. well, i got to make sure I write a review of how good this exactly. TV is. But if your TV... Oh. All right. That is... Do you want me to grab it? Yeah, if you can. I'm going to knock over your thing. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Let me just turn on this fan. Can I nope. do that? Can I end? Yeah, unplug whatever. Okay. All right. I'm going to plug in this fan. I've set off a fire alarm by cooking. How do you turn it off? I don't know. Just to press that button? I think so, yeah. Oh, maybe not. Yeah. Sorry for that false alarm, listeners. Do you think your neighbor's going to knock on the door? No. It's happened before when I've made toast. I'm going to open the window. Because yeah. it's getting a little hot in here, I think it's just the temperature is yeah. uh, driven up to that point. Um, well, I think you're, starts... al- you're also searing your salmon. Oh, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, let me open the window anyway. Um, the... Uh, I'm opening the window. Oh, no. All right. You mind holding that fan up, just blowing the heat away a little bit? Well, it's just the smoke. It's not yeah, the heat. yeah. Oopsies. Uh, all 
That happens when I make toast sometimes. Strange. Yeah. Um, I think it's just the proximity of that alarm to this kitchen. Yeah. Uh, it's just a fact of life. Also, you don't have a uh, kitchen hood. No, I don't. Um, yeah, I... Uh, what were we saying before? Um, oh, about... Um, what was the topic? If you want to take some of that stuff off, I can also just put it right there. I'll be done cooking in just a minute. Okay. Um, Doesn't want to move his life aquatic with Steve Zizou hat. I don't. It's authentic. It's an authentic hat. Um, I. Where you? I, I've completely lost my train of thought now. Ah, I'm like an inch away. Yeah. Uh, do you want a do you want a uh, stepping stool? Yeah, because I can just take it down. Um, when it comes to, like, when I when I look up multiple myeloma, for instance, right, on the internet. Well, I'm saying that, like, if you're to finish my comparison, if you are. Uh, You'll see anything goes wrong with the TV that you buy, you instantly are like, oh, I'm going to write a review of this. I'm going to uh, deal with it. I'm going to make sure that the world knows this is a defective product, you know? Yeah. And there's that sense that you're doing something useful when you do that, uh, even though you might just happen to have, like, a bad one, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I feel like it's kind of like, you know, it's good to be prepared for the worst. It's good to know, you know, what you're getting into. Um, it's good to know those things, you know? Sure. But at the same time, like, you can lose hope if you look for things. Like, when I look up multiple myeloma, it says five years. Right. Like, it just said, and it says, well, in some cases, could be more. But it also could very well be that, uh, a lot of the people who are, uh, doing work to, you know, to research this, like, it's different now than it was two years ago, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's well, that's, that's the thing, too, is, like, the, you look at the, I talk about the trisomy 18 thing, is it's like, yeah, yeah. that article says only three over the age of it, but I know for a fact that I know one that lived to age 27. Yeah. Which is my sister, who's still alive. Right. So for every one of me, there's probably a bunch of other of those people that also haven't subjected their child to yeah. medical journaling. Yeah. Um, the uh, is currently in a battle with the fact that he does not have what correct cooking tools to grab. The I do. Yeah, I do. I'm just not using them. It's it's just as easy to do this. Um. And yeah, I did burn a couple of these slightly. That's okay. I like burnt stuff. But it, it, it won't affect the taste. I got wrapped and then up now, in do you, do you put them in the oven now? Do I put them in the oven? Is that how it works? Oh, no. No. I mean, the salmon's already cooked. It's just a matter oh. of, like, the uh, the only thing is the binding agent, which is the egg. Oh, right. And that gets cooked off through this process, so. Oh. Uh, it's really just uh, salmon, which is already, it's already uh, cooked 
and the uh, and then the binding agent, and then some crackers to sure give it a little crunch, give it a little bit, yeah. Um, give it a little something. Yeah, that was our. I interrupted, but that was your, that was our heavy part of the uh, yeah twelve-hour day. Heavy, but I think uh, I don't think morbid. No. Um, just you know, there are real things in life, and these are some of them. Um, Timmy Wood says four more hours. Is that true? Yeah. Tell him thanks, Timmy. I like Timmy Wood's great guy. He is. He's like one of the people that I enjoy talking with the most. Yeah. And we're not the, we're not the closest of friends, but I've, I've, even though I've been busy, I've been like, I want to spend more time talking with Timmy Wood. Yeah. He's, very, he's great. I, I love talking to him about movies. Just a really nice guy. He's one of those people that is a nice guy. Yeah. Now, how does this hook back in? You just push it on the thing? Yeah, just push it. It's, you push it in until it goes, and then you turn it, and it clicks. And keep turning. Something like that, yeah. All right. Um, that'll do, that'll do. That'll do, that'll do. Um, and we're going to, now, to lighten it up, uh, we're going to have some food in a, in a few minutes, and we're going to watch the third episode of Broad City, uh, which is called Working Girls. And uh, we'll do a com- is, is that Actually, maybe that's a bad thing for you, though, right? What? Because we'll be talking during it, and that might ruin your enjoyment of it. If we do a commentary. Yeah, I can just watch your scene. Yeah, it's just why we'll just watch my scene and do a commentary on my scene. Um, yeah. Um, but go ahead and queue up Working Girls to watch that when you're done with the 12 hour day podcast, episode two. I'm gonna tweet that things just got heavy. But don't worry. Hopefully, I think our listener base will uh, respond well to that segment. I'm in the kitchen. Yeah, I agree. Mm. What else, JB? I don't know. What's on your mind, Connor? What do you want to talk about? Mm. I feel like I've, I feel like I, uh, I've forced you to uh, talk at length about your uh, life things. What do you want to talk about? No, I like I like talking about life things. I mean, what other everything's a life thing. That's true. Um, I uh, let me ask you this. So like right now you're in a moment you're in a moment of stress, personal and career, and they're entwi- they're intertwined as you said before. Yes. Do you feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, or are you worried that you just entered a new phase where it's like, well, now I'm heading into a phase. I'm I'm I got two pilots that could lead to. Other pilots, it could lead to series getting picked up, it could lead to things like that. Right. Which, you know, I will compare it to um, something I've talked about before, I think, which is uh, maybe not on this podcast, but like the way that um, 
at UCB, when you take, when you start out taking improv classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade, um, a lot of people sort of feel like, hey, I'm going to take these classes and then uh, hopefully I'll get on Herald Night. And right. they have this stress about, like, I want to get on Herald Night. Yeah. And there's a feeling, like a mirage of, like, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to take these classes, I'm going to get good, I'm going to get on Herald Night, the end. And I all live happily ever after. And that Herald Night will, like, solve whatever problem you feel, like, whatever dissatisfaction you feel when you're in 201 or 301, I just want to get on Herald Night. And they get to that point, and then they realize when they're on Herald Night, it's like, oh, no, every problem, every anxiety that I had when I was in these classes is just amplified. Because now I'm on Herald Night, and I'm performing in Heralds, and what if I get cut? And what if it, and it, and it, it's like that thing where it's like people get rich and they think getting rich is going to solve their problems, but they have all the same problems. Uh, just now they have... They, they have like, more money around them. Yeah. More money. You know, like, like Wolf of Wall Street being a good example, uh, the movie that we discussed in the first yeah. podcast. That's a great yeah. example. That story of like the problems that that guy had, he probably had all those problems. Like the money didn't help. Yeah. Anything that was lacking in his personality was just like, oh, now it's funded. Yeah. Like you had problems before and now these problems are fully funded. Yeah. Uh, not the curing of them, but the enhancing and continuing of them. Yes. So my worry, if I were you, would be that you're feeling like, oh, this is like starting to get bad for me. That, you know, you, like, you hear that story about like Larry David getting like Seinfeld gets picked up or gets renewed and he's like depressed because now it means he has to like do another season of Seinfeld. Right. I feel like when I hear that, I'm like, oh, I relate to that. Not as someone who's ever had a successful thing, but I'd be like, I would feel like that too, kind of. Like, I'd be like, oh, no. Like, I got what I wished for. Yeah. Do you have any careful what you wish for feeling? Not really. Uh, I mean, yes. Yes, I do. But only in the sense that it's not the any of the projects or opportunities that I have. Uh-huh. It's actually the fact that now I'm having to deal with the fact that I don't really take great care of myself, mentally or emotionally. Uh-huh. And that's now coming to catch up with me. Yeah. And the thing that I've learned is that basically every step of the way, you, you try the new thing, you get in the new thing, it's stressful. Yeah. And then you find a way to cope and deal with it, and you adjust, and then now that's... It's like getting on Herald Night, right? Yeah. Your first few shows, you're stressed out, you know, it's like... They go by in a blur. It's super quick, and you're like, "What just happened?" Yeah. And then you're stressed out, and then by the end of it, you just wonder if it's on. Yeah, it's on. Connor's adjusting. I'm just checking to make sure the uh, smoke alarm is actually on. I think it is. Yeah, it's a battery-operated one, right? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And then you adjust to it, and eventually by the end of Herald Night, you're like, ugh, Herald Night. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that sort of happens with me, where it's like, because I've had various phases of the things that I've done, and mm-hmm. each one at first has seemed stressful and a little overwhelming. Yeah. And then you adjust to it. I think this is the first time, though, that... Uh, you're not a boy anymore. What's coming to pass is not that the projects are any... The stuff of the projects aren't things that I don't know now. Yeah. Now it's how to cope emotionally and mentally uh-huh. with the stress that I'm having to go through because it's happening in longer length and with more intensity, you know what I mean? Yeah. So now I'm learning stuff where I'm like, oh, I can't just work seven days a week for five months 
you have to think that I'll be fine. And you have to sleep. You can't just... Right. I have to sleep. I have to eat. I have to take care of myself. And then now I'm coming to a thing where I'm like, oh, I have to take a vacation. Oh. A thing that is... Now, what, what popular character inspired you to do that? Um, probably... Uh, Vinegar Al? Probably the... Uh, what's his name from... Uh, uh, Joe versus the Volcano. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why? What were you thinking? <laughs> I was thinking Vinegar Al. Yeah, Vinegar Al. Yes. Popular Guthrie Show character. Loves taking vacations. Yeah. From uh, his. Hey, you uh, almost addiction. had vinegar today at lunch. I did have vinegar. And you didn't and like I didn't, it. Didn't really like it. Um, it made my stomach feel a little weird. Yeah. It tasted good, but I just didn't feel great. Yeah. That was a good lunch, though. That was good, a good French lunch. fries. Yeah. Uh, we made the right choice. I would, I would have, if you decided to go against getting the thick fries, I would have advised you against it, but you patterned it. There were good fries there. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so I just feel like it's, I have to take a vacation now, and I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. That's my light at the end of the tunnel right now. Yeah. It's just a period of time where I can just relax and not think. Because right now the thing that's stressful is not any individual project, it's that they're all stacked yeah. on top of one another. Yeah. And I don't really get a chance to breathe, and so... I have to be thinking about something in the present and also something in the future, which is what causes me to get anxious. Yeah. Let me use the restroom before we eat here. Absolutely. JD's going to use the restroom. You're going to hear me pee briefly. Well, I prided myself on how quietly I did it in the last episode. I'll try to match you. And uh, I think you can do it. Okay. Uh, I have made some salmon croquettes and, um, and some uh, corn and green peas. And I'm serving them up with a sparkling ice uh, raspberry lemonades. I'm going to take a picture of, of the food right now. And this will be a bonus feature for our longtime listeners. Oh. All right. There we go. Um... And I guess, you know, I hope JD likes his food. I don't know whether he will. I wonder if my tastes are too spare and too simple. I'm just a simple man in some ways. I mean, I'm complicated in some ways, but there are some ways in which I am very simple. I'm just going to check a couple of emails uh, real quick and just see what's happening. Okay, nothing, no major news. I'm so worried about that email that I got earlier. Pile of rolling stuff. Alerting me that my, I didn't have a venue for my show this weekend. It so stressed me out that I am now paranoid that like another bad email is going to happen. How'd you do? Good, I think. You think you were quiet? Yeah, you have a toothbrush on your floor. That is for clean. That's an old toothbrush that I used to clean. The toilet? Not the, no, not the toilet. I was using that the to clean grout. the... grout. Grout. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to turn uh, off this fan or do you want it on? You, you're thinking from a sound perspective, like oh, the bit. more fan. Yeah, go ahead and turn it off. Just JD use... is. This, do you want me to turn the other fan off too? No, that's okay. Okay. I, I was just saying, I don't know whether you like this food. I apologize <sighs> if you don't. You can always use. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a big food guy. But this what might is not. This? this is a sparkling ice uh, lemonade. I've never had this. I like this. Um, Thank you for this meal, Connor. You're welcome. I hope it's all right. There's more salmon croquettes. There's more corn and peas if you want it. You can also, okay. I won't be insulted if you 
take one bite and you're like, where's the takeout menus? And we'll find a takeout for you. I guarantee you I'll be fine. <clears throat> I just never know. You know, I feel like <coughs> I have a simple palate. You have a more finicky palate than I do. Yeah. Is this a meal that you like a lot? Mm-hmm. I don't make it that often because, I mean, when I do, I tend to make it for the week. You know, I tend to make it, and it's like... It's great. I, like, I would have this, and I'd be like, oh, I'll eat this. I'll, ha like, t take these into work. I'll do whatever. Um, um, but sometimes I feel silly cooking a proper meal for one when there's a right. simpler meal to do, you know? Right. Mm. I think that's probably my version of takeout is instead I'll like cook a baked potato with baked beans in it. I'm like, oh, this is easy and it's quick and it doesn't feel like I've. So this is a vegetable. Mm hmm The corn and peas? Yeah. 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 It's probably, but a real vegetable person would look at frozen corn and peas that I've heated up and say like, well, that's nothing. You're eating Monsanto's processed whatever. Yeah, but that's better than. Yeah, it's better than eating a Twinkie, I guess. Yeah, mm. but that's the frustrating for me about healthy things is that I'll do my best to try to do a healthy thing, and then I'll immediately learn that it's like, well, it doesn't matter anyway because you really need to be doing this. Right. And it feels like it's hard to take care of yourself when you're like, well, I'm going to exercise for 20 minutes in the morning, and then you're like, well, if you really want to be in good shape, you really need to devote like several hours a day to doing it. I'm like, well. That's not going to happen, and, and I already feel like, well, maybe 20 minutes is not even as good as nothing. Like, maybe yeah. it makes no difference. Um, Have you ever shopped at one of the um, farmer's markets here? Yeah. I've, I love that. Yeah. I get all of my meat from farmer's markets when mm -hmm. they're around, and it's, like, the best, most yeah. just, like, tasteful chick. It just tastes great. Yeah. And vegetables. I'll even buy pies from the farmers. Farmer pies? Yeah. Well, like, I'll... Okay. It's all right. It's all right. What oh, happened, Didi? I dropped some salmon coquette on the on ground. On the ground, and he immediately, like, we could have waited, but he went to immediately take the salmon off the floor walk over to where I put my garbage and throw it away. What, isn't that a normal behavior? It is normal, but it's, I mean, very uh, conscientious and courteous. No, I don't I, at some point, because you haven't walked over to this corner, I feel duty-bound to ask you to walk over to where my DVDs are. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I did the same in your apartment both times I've been there. Okay. Although I will say, it's not a full reflection See these two binders? Yeah. That's where most of my earlier DVD collection, a lot right. of it, there was a point where I didn't have enough room, so I just bought a couple of those folders and I put all the cases in the back of my closet. And the stuff I kept out is either newer stuff that I've acquired or it's um, stuff that I especially <coughs> wanted out, you know? Are they ranked at all? No, and I've been struggling with how do I organize them, you know? Like that yellow burn, a, burn after reading. Mm -hmm. That's I, I bet it's a rare DVD that people don't for have someone to have. 
You know, can I, I drop the fan purely for sound? cold reasons. Oh yeah, actually, we can go ahead and close that out now. Um, Burn after reading, I specifically bought because um, because at Walmart when I was home one Christmas, I think. I'm fine with being open if you are warm. What? No, 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 I'm not warm. I was just trying to mitigate the thing that was making the uh, alarm go off before. Oh, right. Um, Burn After Reading, when I bought that, I got a free t-shirt with it that was a Burn After Reading t-shirt. Hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. you have the full Wolfen collection. Yeah, uh, someone gave me a bunch of those. Are those mine? Those re- Wait, did I take those from you? Who was was parting with it? Was was that you? Wait, those might be mine. Or were you getting rid of them? No. Oh, they're not. Someone, okay. There was someone that was like, I'm. Because I, w- I just realized I was, I was like, oh, I used to have all the Wolfen DVDs. I lent them to someone. No. I don't know who it is now. Whoever I got those from, it was like I'm getting rid of all my Wolfens. Who was it? It wasn't you, unless you got rid of them and now forgot. I don't think that was me. Um. But. Come and get them if you think they're yours. No, they're not. I really... I like Burn After Reading. There's a period of Coen Brothers movies. That one, No Country for Old Men, Gentleman's, uh... and A Serious Man. Um, those three movies, the endings of those movies mm-hmm. are so good. I don't remember the end of Burn After Reading. All of the endings are a little bit like unexpected endings. I, a Serious Man is a great film that I greatly overanalyzed. Uh-huh. That I loved, but no one agreed with my analysis of it. What's your analysis of it? I believe that it is a meta film about the Coen brothers commenting on their control as directors. Mm-hmm. About how they're essentially gods. Mm-hmm. And that this character is at the whim of whatever they want. So you basically think A Serious Man is the Coen Brothers live action update of the Daffy Duck film Duck Amuck. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I, you would pair those films together. Yeah, on, honestly, I think, you, you might have said jokingly, but I think it's sort of a similar thing. Where it's, this character is like Daffy Duck getting his bill erased, things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and like, I think... That, that'd, be a great, that'd be a great pairing to screen that. If we were still doing a uh, secret movie show, we would show yeah. Duck Amuck and A Serious Man... Because I think that, um, especially the moment like when um, the the title is said, mm-hmm. I think that moment is such a meta like like this is a serious movie. This is like 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 this is real. This is, and it's like so apparent that it's not. It's like them trying to convince the character that this is like a real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and him trying to be like, I'm a real person. You can't do this to me. Yeah. Which is why I think the last shot is to me the old... That's the thing that I was like, that's what this movie is about. Yeah. That's what the movie is about. And the cutting to the director credit. Yeah. Um, and everyone disagrees with you about that? Well, I was like, hey, guess. I just thought it was really funny or something like that. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> Sounds like you hang out with a bunch of losers. Probably. No, I, I mean, I don't know whether or not, I mean, the, the only argument you'd have is whether that's what the Coen brothers wanted it to be. Right. But I think that's a very good reading of the movie just as a, uh, 
this is how I see it. Yeah. I mean, I... I think that, like... Well, the ending of No Country for Old Men was the, the Mala with Tommy Lee Jones. Um, you remember that, right? Right. And it cuts, and it's silent, and the audience is like, that's the end? And the ending of Serious Man is the... He commits the sin of, of changing the record, and then the phone immediately rings, and it's bad news from his doctor. And then right. we cut to across town, and his son is going to be taken from him. So it is like a instant judgment right. passed on him. The ending for Burn After Reading is... Um, oh, what's the name of the actor? I know the name of the actor, but I, I can't forget it. He was on Oz. He's in tons of stuff. You, you'd recognize him. But it's the two CIA analysts. One of them is uh, David Raish, or Rash, uh, the guy who played Sledgehammer. The ones who have effectively been sort of like observing what's been going on, like going right. through like what happened. Right. And then... They basically say, well, this is a real fucked up mess. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta make sure we never do that again. Yeah. What the fuck did we do? And then the camera pulls out and we get the same God's eye, like the, the same way that the opening of the movie zoomed in from like a God's eye point of view to the CIA headquarters. It pulls out again. And it is a, it really is those three movies, like No Country for Old Men and Burn After Reading, are like the A side and B side of a single. They're yeah. like Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane. It's like a double A side. No Country for, for Old Men ends with Tommy Lee Jones, the figure of justice of law enforcement that we've been watching the movie hoping that he will capture and bring to justice Anton Sugar. And at the end of the movie, he hasn't caught him, and he's talking about this dream and this hopelessness, this fear that he has, right. uh, that we can't, we are powerless to fight the forces of evil in this world, and they're random and they're chaotic. Burn After Reading is a comedy, but it's about, you have all these people, These it's the same like, the central intelligence agency run by people who don't know why all these idiots killed this person, killed that person. Right. They don't know what happened. They don't know how to stop it. But, well, we got to make sure that doesn't happen again. It's the same, like, absurd view of the world. Right. And then A Serious Man is, a, is like, on a personal level. Like, we've already seen, like, the systematic failure of... Organizations. Um, and cops like that, yeah. and spies... And now we see, like, one man and how, even on a personal level, like, there's no one, there's no greater power looking after you, or looking out for you. No one right. is coming to help you is the message of all three of those movies. Um, Burn After Reading came in for kind of a bad rap when it came out. Like, even, you, even you saying, like, this, uh, that's a rare DVD for someone to have. Because it was a movie that people were like, eh. Well, people were super excited for it to come out. Right. In a weird way, I kind of thought that Burn After Reading, it may be that it's too bleak to have a movie where you have two of the most attractive movie stars playing idiots. Um, 
Because it was Brad Pitt and... Uh, George Clooney. And... Right. Oh, I wish Francis McDormand was in every Common Brothers movie. Yeah. It makes me sad that I'm like, she should be able to work her schedule around. Like, and like they have... She's so good when they use her in one of their movies. Mm. Yeah, and then Wes Anderson took her, and you're like, ah. What, she's like a baby bird? What's that? She's like a baby bird, like once another filmmaker. Yeah. I... But you know, like, when Fargo came out and everyone loved Fargo, got all these Oscars and... What? Oh, you don't remember? No. Because you were a baby. Uh Fargo came out and everyone thought it was a true story because they put that thing at the beginning of it. Right. And it was only gradually that people started to realize that it wasn't a true story. Like, if that came out now, there'd be an immediate, like, some website would do a BuzzFeed or someone would figure out immediately they didn't have it. But back then, people were just like, oh, wow, this is the first really grown-up Coen Brothers movie because they based it on a real thing. And got all these awards. Everyone loved it. And it is a great movie. But then, the next year, The Big Lebowski came out. And I loved The Big Lebowski as soon as I saw it. Right. Like, I went to see it at a theater in Manchester in England, and I instantly was like, this movie is great. And it was one of those movies that I couldn't even explain why all the... Like, now there's things that are just, like, taken for granted that everybody loves this part. But I was like, the <coughs> the John Turturro little cameo role in there, uh, like, you couldn't even really explain why that was funny. It just was. Like, yeah. he was just funny in it. He looked funny. Yeah. And the, it got like mixed reviews and kind of wasn't popular when it came out. Like it didn't do well. And everyone was like, look, they made Fargo and Fargo was about the real world and it was based on true events. And this movie is just a bunch of silly, goofy cartoon stuff. Yeah. And what I love is that the big Lebowski is actually more based on true things that happened than Fargo is. Because, like, the scene where they go to the little kid's house and they have the burned-out report in a baggie. Yeah. That was, like, the starting point for Big Lebowski that they... That was one of the things that those... They basically had, like, two two weird friends and they were like, what if these guys were hung out together? Yeah. Like, the guy who was Walter and the guy who was the dude, they were like, what if these two guys were... We made a movie about these two guys. And the thing of, like, going to the house and finding the kid who enjoyed it and acting like... We're here on official business and we have the evidence in a baggie. Yeah. That was a real thing that happened. And it's so it's so perfect that the one that was pretending to be true got all the praise and the one that was more true was dismissed as a bunch of bullshit at the time. Yeah. Is that a movie that... Because I feel like you've taken pride now in championing movies that were later... Yeah. Are those the two biggest examples of movies that you... Which ones? Uh, uh, Seven and Big Lebowski. They, uh, with, those, with both of those, I mean, it, is, it does feel good when you like something and no one else likes it. Because you feel weird at the time. Like, I love this and everyone else hates it. And it does feel good when later on you realize, like, oh, it wasn't crazy. Like, it just was, like, out of step. Do you want to know my movie for that? What's yours? Speed Racer. The, the Wachowski Brothers Speed Racer? Yep. That movie is a cultural turning point that people will realize in the future. And now you're saying you're like I'm, it's easy for me. I could be lying about Seven and and uh, the Big Lebowski because I'm speaking from the cultural safety of. Do you want anything else? I'm good, thank you. Okay, 
Um, it was excellent, though. Thank you for making that. You're welcome. Really Thank good. you for having it. What's that? Thank you for having it. No, it was really good. Um, okay, I... For you. Yeah, thank That's you. It's convenient. Um, the way that... So I'm speaking from a place where those films are already beloved, and I could just be pretending. But Speed Racer right. is not currently a movie that is on the tip of anyone's tongue. No, people think that I'm insane for saying this. But I think... I've never seen it. Tell me what Oof. about it. Oh. Film historians will look back, and that will be the film that is one of the turning points in the pop culture explosion that happened over the past 10 years. Um, essentially, the Chowski brothers made a movie, Speed Racer, which was an uh, adaptation of the cartoon show from mm-hmm. the like, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever watched Speed Racer as a kid. I love Speed Racer. I love Speed Racer. And I love the Wachowski brothers. Mm-hmm. So, so I went into Speed Racer and I was like, I want to see this. I want to see what this is about. Mm-hmm. They released a statement saying that they're releasing an IMAX 3D. And this was sort of before that was a thing. Yeah, this was a long time ago. This is before that, because now that's now like... Now that's a standard. Like, everything gets released as IMAX 3D. Oh, I'm sorry. Not 3D. IMAX 2D. IMAX 2D. 2D. Oh, yeah. Because that's an important part of this story. Mm-hmm. It was IMAX 2D, but it was, be- it was before big IMAX releases became cool again. Yeah. Um, and I remember me and my friends went and saw opening night at Lincoln Center, the only true IMAX in the New York. The only one that's not a fake. Boy, it's so disappointing when you... First experience as a film goer, a fake IMAX. Yeah. When they opened up, I, Kips Bay used to be my nearby yeah. movie theater, and when they opened up IMAX screens, I was like, oh, great. And then when I went in one, I'm like, oh, we paid for this? Like, yeah. this is not IMAX. Exactly. And what took place is like this pop culture explosion that is like <clears throat> pulling from like Japanese culture, but also American culture. Mm-hmm. And it was just an assault of mm-hmm. light color, visuals. There was no ever hard edit in the entire film. Every, everything was some, like, we'd be sitting here and all of a sudden, like, the camera would start rotating and then from behind my shoulder the next scene would come out. Like, like, so they were all, like, creative edits. They are all animated elements coming and going from the scene and moving mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it's like, sort of, there was never a cut Never. Never. I believe it was never. Or there's like one. Yeah. Like if we're having a scene to cut from my shoulder to yours, the camera would be behind me and it would, no, it would be a visual effect where I would go by, by revealing myself and the camera would go by and then dip back and then suddenly my shoulder would be your shoulder and you'd be looking at, it would be like really brilliant stuff. And they, the technology they created for this was amazing. Yeah. And the racing scenes were incredible, just like, and the color and the lights, it was insane. And the moment that I knew that this was like a film that was groundbreaking was yeah. at the very end, there's this race. Number one, it's like the music, this, everything is just like, da, 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 constantly, it's like crazy all over the place, yeah. really amazing. Then at the end, there's this race and everything's going crazy, this music's playing, and there's a scene where, you know, speed comes across the finish line. Yeah. His car, the Mach 5 is flying through the air. So the track suddenly spirals and turns into this like red and white hex pattern mm. that is like moving behind him. Yeah. And as he comes out, he jumps out of the car like classic speed racer as it's like spinning. And it's 2D IMAX. Yeah. 
and the whole crowd together in unison, non-ironically, just genuinely, went, oh, and screamed and put their hands up because the visuals were so overwhelming that you could not look at it without screaming and putting your hands up because it was like so just like the perspective, like, like, like the perspective and the colors and everything was just like so just like your brain was like yeah on fire wow and then immediately after that is when we got things like fucking um um what's the one with Michael Sarah Scott Pilgrim Scott Pilgrim um that's when we started getting all these movies like that that had this pop centric yeah like graphics and things like that and these heart these things moving and shaking da 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 yeah they heralded in that entire movement and they got no credit for it because it was marketed poorly as a kids film or, or you know yeah. it, was like, it was like they, they, they found a middle area and the marketing sort of I think didn't quite do it yeah and then now we're in this era of if you look at our animation and our comedy and our stuff like that it's all this fast paced colorful crazy this that this yeah. that this that even our like even like our TV like NFL Olympics it's like this, 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 things moving yeah they were the first ones to do that in a major way. And this film was... Interesting. To me, the first major... I mean, because that exists... You know, things like that, I'm sure, existed in design. And yeah, and they were pulling from sources. But exactly. that was the first that, big Hollywood... That was the first big Hollywood thing. And the first one where it was like, this is going to become a new standard of design and things. Like, this is yeah. where we're going. In the same way that The Matrix was a movie where it's like, they yeah. pulled from other stuff, but... The moment they made those movies, yeah. suddenly the next 10 years of action movies changed. Mm. And you couldn't see a fight anymore without the camera slowing down and things hitting things. Yeah, They did that with pop culture, but no one gives them credit for it. I think you I mean, I haven't seen Speed Racer. I think I'm, I'm inclined to believe you're probably right. Do you think, are there other people who are saying this? Or do you feel alone in this? Uh, no, every now and then, there'll be critics that I expect that are like, Speed Racer was a great film. Yeah. That did something no other film had done at the time. Yeah. And now people are, are aping from that style. Yeah. Without even realizing it to a certain extent. I'll make a confession with regards to The Matrix. I was never really that excited about The Matrix. Um, I was into the first one. I think the... I, what I, I, I don't even... I, I never saw, saw, the, I I never saw the, the third one. I didn't see the I third saw one the second one. I fell asleep during both the first Matrix and the second Matrix. And what I found about both of them was... Like, I thought there was cool stuff that happened in the second Matrix. Wasn't there, like, a uh, um, Lawrence Fishburne, like, chops a truck in half with a samurai sword or something? There's, like, stuff that I remember. My feeling about both movies that I saw was that the Matrix seemed to be made up of a series of very cool sequences that were surrounded by a lot of sequences that were so boring I couldn't believe it. Right. Like, there were, I just remember there were long scenes where I was, like, I wasn't sleepy when I went to see either of those movies. Because there are movies, there are things I've gone to where I've gone in a state where I'm too tired and I really shouldn't right. have gone to the movie. In both cases, I was not sleepy and I got lulled to sleep by the scenes from The Matrix that nobody talks about. Like, everyone talks about the cool scenes where it's like bullet time right. or this is happening. No one talks about the scene where he's hacking in the beginning and like it's just yeah. like a dreary boring yeah I also you know the big problem I had with the Matrix was that I understood the I, I found it hard to get on board with the quest that they were in because there was the uh, there was the fake world that they were in which looked like our world right and then there was the real world which looked like it was like 
permanent darkness and monsters roamed the sky and they were feeding on like an army of, of fetuses that they were draining the power from. Right. And it looked like, oh, the, what's really happening is that we live in a hellscape. But they made it seem like everything looks nice. Yeah. And what I really wanted, I don't know how the third movie turns out, but I really wanted the ending to the Matrix saga to be that Keanu Reeves pulls the cord to the Matrix and that all of us who are living our regular lives, like I had an apartment, I had a job, all this stuff, all of a sudden that all drops away and it's a nightmare scape of the sky and monsters and constant fear of everything. And that rather than being grateful to Neo for doing this, everyone's like, what have you done? Like, you've ruined everything. Like, they created a fake thing, but we liked it. Yeah. There's no comfort left in this world. And it really felt to me like, they're not going to thank you for doing this. I, I wouldn't buy it. Like, I know they want their freedom. But I felt like, well, if it's basically functional modern society... Like, if you pulled away what America is right now and instead suddenly we were in the reality, the real world of the Matrix, I feel like people would give up hope instantly. Okay. So how do you feel about, like, the NSA stuff and political stuff mm. that goes on? Because one could say that that's a pretty... That's the metaphor... The neo that, That's the metaphor that's used for all that stuff where it's like, do you want to keep living in the Matrix or do you want to know what's actually going on? It's hard to say. Like, I read about NSA stuff and it creeps me out. But it's not like I'm out there with a picket sign protesting. You know? It's fundamentally not like I'm doing a lot to try to, like, well, we got to make this happen. But would you rather just not know about all that? Um, there's a limit to it. And the thing, the thing with The Matrix was I feel like that movie was, like, past my limit as far as, like, if I lived in a fake world where things were reasonably comfortable... And the real world was like, no, it's like a constant run for your lives nightmare. I'd be like, you know what? Keep me in the Matrix. Yeah. I, I want to go to sleep tonight. Also, real quick before you plug me back in. Yeah. My bakery, we have a weird power problem. Before you plug me back into the Matrix, could you give us more power? Could you just make sure that we don't have brownouts as often? That would be great. Oh, you try to cut a side deal. That's yeah. typical J.D. Amato. You try to cut a deal. Just, wait, just real quick. Uh, robots, real quick. I'll go back in happily. Mm -hmm. Can I? Can my garage just have just like two more feet on the east? Just because my bike is always, I'm always hitting it when I'm pulling in. Yeah, and if this is fake, like I feel like it won't be a big deal if you just slightly improve my lot in the matrix. Yeah, is that yeah. a big deal? Is that weird for me to ask? Yeah, I feel. Yeah, I, I, I could never get on board watching those movies with the outrage of like what we're living isn't real. And then, like, they showed what was real. And it wasn't like what they showed what was real was, like, okay and we can fix it up. So you're a guy that's, like, like in, Soil in Soylent Green. I was you're like, sitting at the box of Soylent Green being, like, just like, <laughs> I don't know. I love these crackers. These are great. <laughs> these are yeah. these are great crackers. I basically I would just be like, look. Have you tried the peanut butter ones? Well, I kind of am like that, you know? I think Soylent we, Red is great. I think, we kind of, I, think I kind of am like that because I've seen stuff like Food Inc. and stuff like that. And yet... <laughs> I still will eat things that I know are, like, not good for me. Yeah. And that, you know, there are things that I'm like, ugh. Well, actually, you know, it's weird. When you see some of those documentaries about, like, food things. Yeah. There was, I think it was Food, Inc., that there's a point where they, they're showing you how horrible everything is. And they cut to a point where it's a guy killing a bunch of chickens. Right. And 
everyone in the audience instantly reacted like, oh, God. And they're like, more horrors of the food industry. Yeah. And then you realize that as they start interviewing him, that he's their example of like, I'm a good organic farmer. I raise these chickens. Right. I'm the, and, he, and the film is presenting him as like, here's one of the good guys. Yeah. He uh, raises these chickens. Uh, they're not a, it's not a factory farm. It's not that. But the audience's reaction to seeing him break all these chickens' necks was like, oh, another villain. And then you realize right. like 30 seconds later, like, oh, no, he's not a villain. But even like the best case scenario of this is unpleasant to watch food being made. From its base production, yeah, it's it's you know a lot of things. It's like food. I'd like to point out Connor yeah. is right now sitting on his futon with a McDonald's shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason I'm wearing this McDonald's shirt is because when I go home to Missouri, I frequently I've gotten in the habit of not packing any clothes or packing like one day's clothes, and then when I get there, I have to. It's an excuse for me to like go and buy. Yeah. New clothes. And in most cases, that doesn't mean like buy nice new clothes. A lot of times it means I'm going to go see what's in the clearance section at Old Navy in Jefferson City because I bet they have different clearance stuff than the Old Navy in Manhattan. Right. And this was a t-shirt that cost $3. And Where though? At Old Navy. Old Navy selling McDonald's shirts? I think it's supposed to be worn like in an ironic hipster way. Um, but Old Navy was like, McDonald's, if you just give us money, we'll just sell shirts. And I think they're ironic. I don't know. I mean, There were other shirts that were like pop culture things that it, like, I think it was like a Kool-Aid shirt. Hilarious. So it was just like, oh, like corporate things. And you wear it because it's like, you know, isn't whatever. It, isn't it crazy that I'm advertising this brand right now? Well, I only ever wear this to sleep. I wore this in, uh, I bought the shirt because I was like buying t-shirts and I'm like, this one's cheaper than all the others. It's $3. I'm buying it. Doesn't say I'm loving. It's just the classic McDonald's yeah. arches, retro. And then I made a vine where uh, I was missing the stepfathers that night, so I made a vine that said, <sighs> "Hey everybody, sorry I'm not at the stepfathers tonight, uh, but come upstairs and visit me in my new job. It's just up around the corner." And then it cuts to me, and I'm wearing the shirt. And I say, "Oh, we're at McDonald's now." So I made that vine, and then I decided all of my vines that I did late at night, I would be wearing this shirt. Um. And then it became your sleep shirt. Yeah, it's just, it's really comfy. And my sleep shirt is a flash shirt. Flash animation? That's pretty no, high tech. It's a shirt of the Flash from DC Comics. Very good. Do you like the Flash? Uh, I'm not a big no. Do you like the shirt? It's a soft it? shirt. My dad it, got it for me at. It really is the softness that does it somewhere. Yeah. Um, when you get a gift of an item of clothing. Does it make you more inclined to like? Oh, this is a, like it is a take on an extra. Like, yeah. You wear the flash shirt and be like, "My dad got me this." Yes. Yeah. Like my my one shirt that my uh, sweater that everyone has become my trademark because uh-huh. it's in all my profile photos and because I would wear it a lot. Yeah. It was a sweater that was my grandfather's that he gave to me. Yeah. And I wore that for a long time, and then when he died, I stopped wearing it. Mm-hmm. But then, I was given a. Similar, similarly patterned cardigan that I wear all the time now in lieu of that. Yeah. That was a gift for my mom. Yeah. So that also is meaningful. I have my lady coat, which was right. famously <laughs> uh, a gift given to me by my sister. She got it from a, a, a sample sale. and it's did, a, did she know all of the lady coat stuff? She knows it, but she didn't. 
this was like when she first gave me this. Basically, she gave me a couple winter coats. She's like, I got these at a sample sale. And I tried this one on, and uh, it's a coat that uh, I put it on, and I was like, this is a woman's coat. And I, but it was really comfortable, and it yeah. was really warm. And I came out, and I immediately said to Brianne, uh, hey, Brianne, thank you for this lovely women's coat. And uh, she's like, it's not. And it isn't. Uh, technically, if you look at the way gender on a coat is defined by the way that the side that the buttons are buttoned on. Right. And this is buttoned on the male side. I do think this was a... It's a DKNY coat. Right. I think it was one that was made like a prototype that never went to market because the, the waist is a little too cinched for a man's coat. It right. looks a little bit like a, more like a woman's coat because of that. But I also, it's because, oh, uh, you know, uh, my sister got me this. So it's kind of like, I should yeah. wear this. And I have that too with like my winter hat. It's one that my mom knitted for me. And I would ne probably never have bought that hat. It's not one I would normally pick, but I do have a feeling of like when a family member or someone buys me an item of clothing, it means something to me sentimentally that then I just choose to make that my fashion choice. Right. Um, and the... Uh, yeah, this shirt. My mom got me this shirt, I yeah. believe. Uh, it's a very, it's a nice thing when you have clothes and, you, and they remind you of like, oh, you know, and, but this McDonald's shirt, I just was amused to get it for $3 and then, yeah, uh, I don't feel like it really is good advertisement for McDonald's the way I wear it. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, yeah. Well, let me show you, I'll show you my uh, Broad City scene. Yeah. Let me see it. Uh, was it fun to shoot? It was really fun to shoot, although, well, what was fun was that, like, I was not in SAG at this moment. This was right. one of the th jobs that led to me getting into SAG. Right. And um, when, uh, when I auditioned for it, I, they were asking, like, are you in, you're not in SAG? And I was like, no. This is for, like, the casting just like, calling yeah. me in. And the, uh, let me find it here. Um... When I went and auditioned for this part, and then I didn't hear anything, and then all of a sudden I got a call saying, we'd like you to do this, and like you to do the part. And the when I went in to film it, it was like, it was filming in Williamsburg, not too far from where I used to live a decade ago. Um, and there was a bar that was like the holding area uh, and I waited in there for a long time and I was just listening to my iPod and reading and every now and then a bunch of people I knew would uh, come in, come into the bar in between like shots and I'd right. see people like Sean Diston and Elena Chumalisgaldu and um, Chumalowski yeah and uh, uh, Nicole Dressel and just different and then uh, Gethard was there and they were all filming scenes that are Alana's workplace, right. where uh, Gethard is Alana's boss, and then <clears throat> I was playing the role of, um, there's an episode that has to do with a package slip being, uh, missing a delivery yeah. for mail, which, the fascinating thing about this episode for me, personally, and the part that I play in it, is that I'm in like 30 seconds, 
And my character relates to two things that I have actually been things that I've talked about. One of the things is something that we actually talked about in the previous episode. Um, but I have a big, big issue with uh, packages. Package, I have a bad history of not being able to get packages delivered right. to me. I have tried multiple ways. Every time I feel like I've got a solution for it, I get screwed by circumstance. Um, you know, I, anytime I try to avoid ordering things from UPS. Right. Because when I order something and it's shipped via UPS, like I, it's actually a deal breaker with me a lot of the time where uh, if something, I find out something's going to be delivered UPS, I say, oh, never mind, I'm not ordering it. Yeah. Because I can't receive it. Right. Because and then otherwise you have to go to... Uh... What I've gotten usually is a thing that says, uh, oh, uh, we tried to deliver your package at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. Uh, you weren't here. We'll try again tomorrow at the same time. Wednesday, 1 in the afternoon. Well, it turns out you weren't there that day either. Yeah. Tomorrow we're going to try again at the same time. And if you're not there on Thursday at 1 p.m., we're going to send it back to the sender. Right. Unless you come pick it up at the, uh, um, the center. Yeah. center. The center from here, the one time I actually had to go to the center, uh, there's no bus that goes near it. Right. And I, t- I called a taxi. The taxi cost me more money than the thing that I was picking up. It cost me like like twenty five dollars to get over there and get back. Because where's the thing. the thing here? It's in uh, it's in Queens. I could probably walk it in an hour or so, maybe well, there and back. Yeah. But with a taxi and with like waiting in line when I got to the place to get yeah. it and everything, you know. Um, I've also had things where UPS has left packages in my hallway and they've been stolen. I ordered. I once ordered a. a there was a an out of print uh, Alan Toussaint CD right. that suddenly became available. There was one copy available in like the Barnes and Noble warehouse. Yeah, and I ordered it, and then I got a tracking notice saying we just delivered it, and I'm like I'm not home yet. And I came home and there was nothing there. And I said, well, we delivered it, and someone in my building had taken it. And then they were like, oh well, don't worry, we'll uh, we'll replace it for you. And I'm like, you won't because I don't know where to find one now. Yeah. And they said, well, we're going to do an investigation before we reimburse you. And their investigation seemed to consist of making the original delivery person come back sheepishly to my apartment. And he was like, yeah, so I delivered a package here. Did you not get it? I was like, no, it was left here while I was at work. And by the time I got home, it was gone. Yeah. Okay, well, they'll they'll replace it for you. I'm like, no, they won't. It's an out-of-print CD that... I don't even know where to get one. And even if I did find one, it would cost me hundreds of dollars, whereas this only cost me the original retail price of it. Right. Uh, so I'm like, I know you're not going to go on eBay when one pops up and pay $300 for it. Yeah. Um, so I've had this whole time. I've had stuff delivered to my work, and it just goes missing. That's strange. Um, I've had, for a while, I had Will Hines. For a brief period, Will Hines was really successfully my... I would just have everything delivered to the UCB training center when he was the head of it. Right. But then they started, they opened a new address where the new training center was going to be, where the offices were, and they diverted their mail. And so a bunch of my stuff got lost in the diversion process because it was my name with Will Hines and it just got lost in the shuffle. Um, so anyway, so this whole episode is based on um, this problem in New York City life, which is if you don't have a doorman... Getting stuff delivered, 
even like I love the post office comparatively, but sometimes they will deliver something and I'll only know because I'm tracking it through the order. Yeah. But they won't leave a slip, and I'll just go to the post office and have to say like, I know you have a package of mine here. I yeah. don't have a delivery slip because no one left one. Yeah. And they'll just go back and like say, Oh yeah, we have these three things. I get the best situation. You've been in my apartment. Yeah. I have just that entryway, yeah. the little desk. Yeah. That just everyone's mail just gets put on that desk. Yeah. And since there's only four apartments, yeah. we all just sort through it. It's like, what's mine? So it means any packages just get left in that area. Oh, and since great. there's only four apartments, we all know each other. So it's not like you, no one would be ballsy enough to steal something. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's all people we know. So it's like. It's just human beings. Great. The, the, the long oblong package is for the sword guy upstairs. The thing from Zappos is for the girls on the third floor. And the, the like, Amazon package is mine. Yeah. Like, um, so I've never had to go anywhere to get anything because okay. also that door is almost always, you know, they always yeah. go right in. Uh, and UPS, like, for my parents, like, who have, like, a front porch and trees yeah. around their property, UPS just leaves stuff on the porch and it's great. Yeah. Um, they never have any problems. So this is a city problem, which is why it's great that it's addressed in a, in a, a TV show. So basically... The character I'm playing is the person that you call and talk to on the phone when you've missed your package and you're trying to work out a deal. Right. Um, UPS, I will say, does have a new system they've started where you can have your package directed to like a UPS store, yeah. which is easier to get to, but you ca- you have to catch it before first attempt is made. Oh, strange. Like, which sometimes means you have to know it's coming, yeah. which you don't always if it's something someone sends you. Yeah. And... So once the first attempt is made, you can't have it redirected. Right. You just have to deal with it. Or you have to like pay a huge fee to yeah. do it or something. Um, so the premise of this episode, I'll show you a couple of parts leading up to it, but um, uh, Abby's character has a crush on her next door neighbor. And, right. Uh, I've seen the first two episodes. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna, I'll just cut right to mine. So basically the next door neighbor, sa- uh, he says, hey... Uh, are you doing anything today? And she's like, no, no, I'm not, thinking he's going to invite her somewhere. Yeah. And turns out that she, uh, he's asking if she's going to be staying home so that he's right. going somewhere, can she sign for a package for him, accept yeah. a package for him. And she looks at this as like a great opportunity to like build a trusting relationship. Like yeah. she's the person that can he can count on for yeah. something. So uh, I'll show this setup for this. Anyway, look, when a call comes in, just check the database, send out the first person. Rachel Drax in the episode. Yeah, okay. So I just really like the way that yeah. was done. Basically, there's a scene where she comes home. The delivery window was between 10 and 6 or something. Right. And she gets back and it says, sorry, we missed you. And it's 9.47. So it's before the delivery window. Um, and I just really like there's a real like Saving Private Ryan effect to... I, I think my favorite detail of that is that they do that little gust of wind, like that blast. Yeah. Um, was it- uh, the other thing that's... Uh, well, I'll, I'll show you that... 
the scene right before this, John Gamberling plays the boyfriend of her. Oh, you've seen that before, so you know who it is. Uh, so this is the lead up to the scene. Athlete's foot is a forever thing. Hey, Bevers. Did you hear the door knock earlier? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you answer it? I know you don't like me to answer the door because I don't technically live here. Yeah, you don't technically live here, but when I'm back home, scene right now, feel uh, free to answer I'll tell the you, door. podcast listeners, uh, what's okay, going on right now without disturbing yeah. his uh, enjoyment. So your package is still on the truck, but you can pick it up from the distribution center after 4.30. I'm just confused. Why was the package delivered at 9.49? when the delivery window was supposed to start at 10. Well, it's a flexible window. Windows are never flexible, it's not how they work. Sorry, your borough's distribution center is on North Brother Island. Is that in New York? I've never even heard of that. Yes, yeah, in the East River. Take the uh, six trains, the last stop, and transfer the M83 bus to the water taxi. Boom, you're there. Thank you, I guess. You'll never get off the island. What did you just say? I'm sorry, I'm watching Shutter Island. Good luck. That's the scene. Didn't that uh, didn't that make it the commercials? Did it? The Shutter Island line? I don't think so. Or maybe it was a GIF I saw. There was a yeah. Someone made a a, a GIF. Yeah. Um, a GIF, yeah. A GIF, yeah. Yeah. And there's uh, a GIF of that moment, right? What? There's a GIF of that moment. There's a GIF of that moment. Yeah. Um, it's a cool GIF. Yeah. Uh, GIF. 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 I'm going with what the original creator of GIFs called it. Right, but he is not, he has no, he has no ownership over that phrase. It's true, and you're right, that is how language works. That people can say things wrong and eventually be right. Yeah. That I am a big defender of that, but I also say GIF. Yeah, but it stands for... I know, I know, it doesn't make sense, but I'm still GIF, I'm GIFing it. I'm GIFing it. I'm GIFing it. I'm GIF. Are you GIFing it? I'm GIFing. Team GIF? I think GIF. Uh... Whenever you use the hashtag Team GIF or Team GIF, uh, spell them the same way, please. Yeah, and please, if you're on Connor's side, do hashtag viewers GIF. If you're on my side, do hashtag listeners GIF. Yeah, that is accurate to do an inaccurate thing because I do call, I do, I have referred to listeners of this podcast as viewers 12 times in this episode. Uh, It bothers me every time. It feels like, I'm having a, stro- a small stroke. Like I'm substituting a word for the wrong word. Yeah. Um, Actually, can we do something right now? Yeah. If you're listening to 12 Hour Day right now, can you hashtag how you're feeling listening to this right now at us? Yeah. Please do that. At, 12, at 12HRJDConnor. Yeah. And to at Connor Ratliff and at JD Amato. Hashtag and just how you're feeling. Hashtag and let us know how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Don't do hashtag. Spe- don't hashtag how you're feeling. Hashtag, hashtag and happy. Hashtag ambivalent. Whatever. Hashtag tired. Hashtag mm-hmm. this is great. Try to be clear. Try to be specific. Exactly. Thank you guys. Um, so the obviously the other thing that carries in with that's my, a great scene. You're excellent in it. Thank you. Two things that are fun to me about that scene beyond just fun being on an awesome show is. If you watch the two episodes of I'm Too Fragile for This that feature Neil Casey, yeah. I'm wearing the same exact shirt and the same hairstyle. That was the costume that the Broad City costume people picked for me for the character. And I don't think they were referencing I'm Too Fragile for This. They just literally dressed me in the same outfit that I wear right. for many episodes of I'm Too Fragile for This. Right. And they did my hair in the same weird way that my hair got done weirdly for the last batch of 
Yeah. I'm too fragile. To the point where I think you could edit, if you had a shot of me walking out of a building and into another building, you could link that scene yeah. with I'm too fragile this, like, oh, I went to work after this. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, obviously, longtime listeners of this podcast might remember the last episode that I talked about Shutter Island at length. Um, the So having both partial delivery problems and Shutter Island both referenced in the scene, it's a lot of stuff to pack in that speaks yeah. to me. The thing that's cool in this episode is it's not called out, but there are th- at least three more instances after this. And I did not know this when we when we talked the last podcast. Yeah. I hadn't seen the full episode and I did not know that this was what was going to happen. But remember me talking about how the shot in Shutter Island where they do the point of view God shot of Leonardo DiCaprio saying no. Yeah. They spoof that shot three times in this episode after referencing Shutter Island. Hilarious. They end the act breaks with people absurdly... Yeah. Uh, there's a part where a, cooked, where a rotisserie chicken gets kicked and John Gemberling yells chicken and, and looks at yeah. the sky. And it's never called out... It's never labeled as a Shutter Island right. uh, reference. And I don't feel like even a lot of people who watch Shutter Island would see it and realize that's what's being referenced. Right. Um... So it is like a smart reference of like, they're nailing the thing that's funny about Shutter Island. Yeah. Like the thing that I think is like the biggest flaw in Shutter Island. uh, Right. Specifically. And it's really cool to me that they did that. And I think most people, a lot of people probably watch that moment, those moments of the show and think, oh, they're just being, they're just making fun of being overdramatic. Yeah. Um, The, I'll admit to... So basically, that little basically like the the office scenes for Alana's office were in one like office space of this place, and basically the next cubicle over, they just made like a little dirty corner that was my right. shot, and it was basically like the end of the day, and they grabbed it real quick. They basically like it was started before I even knew yeah we were going. How many takes did you do? I think there were four takes. There were two regular takes, and. Then they did two fun takes where they said, well, when you get to a point, just start having fun and improvising. So yeah. they did two like, fun takes. I think they used one of the first two takes. Um, I don't, there's not a, nothing that, that was improvised. That was all just as written. I think the only difference is I think I added the word boom, you're there. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that was in the script. Maybe right. not. It might have been. But I think that was something that I just said. Yeah. Um, I, what did you improvise? Oh, um, when... We carried on, kept improvising. I think I started talking about how was she uh, standing just off yeah, camera? Yeah, Abby was off screen. I mean, she filmed her her scenes were filmed in a different place yeah. at a different time, but she was off screen and, and uh, talking to me. And I think when we were, um, I started talking about how uh, the reason I was watching Shutter Island was because I was really into um, movies about islands where there's actually something wrong because islands are typically thought of as a paradise. So I like the I like the genre of uh, fiction and drama where we where there's something mysterious about an island and something uh, and then it's all about finding out what the mystery of the island is. And I just started naming uh, different things like Lost and Lost Island, uh, Doctor Moreau, Gilligan's, Island, Gilligan's yeah. Island, Fantasy Island. Yeah. yeah, and I was just saying like I'm really that's what I'm into, <coughs> uh, and they're really fascinating. And you should. And I was like recommending them. Yeah. As a, and she was getting increasingly annoyed that I was talking about that, and so. Um, but yeah, we were done super quick and, and, uh, 
then I was like nervous that I'm like, oh, it was over so quick. What if we're not like, what if it doesn't make the episode? Yeah. Um, but you can see what I mean about how they're like, shooting one camera, two cameras. One, I think. Why? Was there a possibility that that was two cameras? No, I just I didn't see them cut to a close up. So I was like, was it just one from the wide? And they're just like, got it. It might have been two cameras. I don't remember. So I know I, I know I would have always just like grabbed a close up just so I could have editing material. Yeah. There might have been two cameras. I think there was one, but there could have been two. I really was not, it happened so quickly that I really was not totally clear what was happening. Like, I was just like, oh, we're done? Oh, okay, great. Phone call. Phone call for JD. Hello? Um, hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, how are you? Jeez, Dad's calling? Uh, sort of not really. I mean, attempt I do. To take this opportunity. Not really. I'm reco- I'm currently recording. You know my friend and I do that podcast. Day. We talk for twelve hours. Bathroom. Uh, but at a certain point, like we're recording that right now. So right now I'm, I'm here, but I'm also I have a microphone in the bathroom, just like I did in episode one. I really do hope that nothing is audible. Everything okay? I don't want. Maybe I should. Okay. I'm starting to talk quietly, but I realize that I should talk loudly in order to mask the sound. Um, what do we do. I want to be discreet. I don't want this to be... Oh, what's his name? That's the problem with the 12-hour podcast. You get to a point where you're like, I'm going to have to drink a glass of orange juice right off the bat as soon as he mentioned vitamin C earlier today. What what year is it? I went to Woodside Cafe. I had a large orange juice. Oh, well, I'll be talking to him at the end of the month. sparkling ice raspberry lemonade. So that's a lot of stuff. You know, that's a lot of things right right away. And I just... Yes. JD is also talking to his dad, so I don't know how much this is. Oh, the one where that's maybe unlistenable. Yeah. All right. I think I did it. All right, we're done. That was successful. And I'm going to leave it like that. Go back out here. Yeah, by all means, by all means, give him him my contact info. I think I used JD's uh, phone call to mask the sound. Did JD take off his mic? Oh, this guy. JD uh, masked the sound of his mic by holding the microphone in his palm of his hand. So my fear is that I'll forget. Mm. Well. No, that's fine. If it's especially if it's something like you, it's going to be like a sophomore slide. Easier for me to hear. That is my concern. That Um, we're gonna. Yeah. And we're I'll be, be looked at as if also, so we drop the ball. They, I hope not. Like I do hope that people where they have, like. Uh, alumni I feel like we need to hit a goofy patch now game. because so I'll, I'll be uh, we've had some heavy getting real, yeah. and yeah, I, want, I worry that people are going to start to feel the uh, yeah. right, feel the, the pain of it. I don't know. Good phone call. Yeah. JD sent me this phone call. I used the opportunity to go to the bathroom and I think I was successful at being completely silent. Um, That's good. That's impressive. Um, what were we saying before? Oh, um, I was talking about how, just to wrap up the Rod City thing, I'm going to admit to 
And I feel like we're, we're, I do like that we get to a point where we're so deep into the podcast that I feel like we hit a place where it's like, the only people who are still around are people we can trust. Sure. And I can say things and there's, it's not embarrassing, you know? Yeah. I feel like I haven't said anything embarrassing yet. Do you I feel like you said anything? No, but I feel like I've been prodding you to say a lot of things. I, uh, seeing that my little, yeah. you, you see what I mean about the size of the part, that it's, yeah. it's just big enough to be satisfying little chunk for me. Yeah. But if it was, if you put a famous person in there, you'd lose that exposition that's important. Yeah, exactly. And you'd be distracted, because the rest of the episode is about going to North Brother Island, and I feel like you might lose that if it was yeah. a recognizable face or something. Um, I have a fantasy having done that one little cameo in the episode that they would ask me back to the show anytime they ever had an idea that required them to be on the phone with a customer service representative regardless of the company right so that like one of them is having a problem they're having to call because their cable's out or whatever that I would always just be in a new job as a customer service representative always unhelpful always just giving them like news they don't want to hear um and my fantasy would be that this would happen one episode per season, maybe more, but my th- notion of it is that once per season when an idea comes up that's part of an episode, it's yeah. like, oh, they have this phone call, let's have them call this guy. And that you'd have it to the point where people start noticing, like, it's always that guy. Yeah. And then deep into the run of the show, let's say season six of the show, they have an episode where one of them goes on like a okay, an okay Cupid type date or something. Yeah. And the person they're on the date with is that customer service guy, but they don't know it. The customer service guy and only longtime viewers of the show would be right. like, she's on a date with that guy that has always been like... And she's like, what do you do for work? And he's like, ah, I've had a bunch of jobs. In yeah, the past it's, most, it's mostly like I work with different companies. I've worked with, you know, I'm usually, I'm usually dealing with people on the phone. You know, yeah. people are assholes. You know, and it's something where you're seeing someone uh, where it would just be fun for an audience member to realize like, oh, wait. That's the same guy. That's the same guy. Yeah. Um, but that's an embarrass. Like that's the way my <clears throat> mind works. That I'm instantly like uh, planning. Like, oh, you know, they could have me back a bunch of times. Whereas, in all likelihood, it's probably just like, oh, that was the one thing. Well, also, I like that your fantasy is that you appear once a season. Once a season. It's like not like I have a spinoff show where I do this. It's like no. I f- I'm also thinking in terms of the best interests of serving the best interests of the show. Itself. I know. But I think it's great. Um, I mean, part tied in with that fantasy always is the fantasy that I would somehow become successful in a way that the first three times it would be uh, them yeah. doing me a service, and by a certain point it'd be like, oh, now it's it's uh, not that I would be doing them a favor, but it would be a little bit more like, oh, cool, this cool. person's on the show. Yeah, um, isn't that the dream to be respected finally for the things you've done in the past? Finally respected, retroactively respected for well. And it ties, into my, it ties into my Jeffrey Tambor uh, thing, which yeah. is that one, me watching through his company and being like, wow, they keep asking that person back. Yeah. I just want to be the person that gets asked back. You are, though. I am. Get the show. It's true. Uh, I was asked back. Every, any, every time, any time. You know what one of my fondest uh, Gethard Show memories is? What's that? Uh, is the period when we would do the post-show minute. Yeah, I heard you talking about that on the uh, Talking TCGS. Yeah. The, that was fun. The, well, and I liked that you eventually started including them in the episode, so there is some record of it. Yeah. But I do like that we went for a long time where yes. the whole idea was this is 
not preserved. Yeah. It's the most obscure web series on the internet. Yeah. That, uh... Well, honestly, that's what led... To me, that's what led to you having the whole side coverage. is Because uh-huh. I always had the idea that I thought it would be funny if... I always wanted to do a thing where... Okay, for those of you who don't know, Connor ran for president on our public access show, show the Chris Gethard show. Mm. And then he played a character that was very desperate to get attention for his campaign. Yeah. So after the episode ended, there would be a per- period of time where you could be on the live stream and see the show being torn down. And during that time, we would give Connor a microphone, acted like he took it while it was being taken. Well, the set was being taken. He would steal a microphone. Yeah. And then to a camera that was not being operated, be using it as a way to talk to whatever audience was still left. So my dream was always that Eminem would give us another hour afterwards and that you would stay on for an hour afterwards and like you'd see everything empty out and then eventually it'd be you having your own show. And I like the idea of like eventually you just like co-opting as much of the Gethard show as possible, having the lead-in show, the end show, but still just like whatever you could squeeze out of it. Which is why I thought the idea of you having the election coverage simultaneously was so funny. And that actually, for the first time, you actually said something just now that tied in that makes me feel better about uh, the fact that the early web endings were not preserved. I like that it mirrors the fact that we didn't catch the last two hours of the election. It's the most most obscure web series of all time. Um, The... The, twelve, the nine hour show that I did uh, uh, during election day coverage, the final two hours weren't recorded. No one hit the record button. So, or they did, but I don't think it recorded. Or, or they whatever. did, and yeah. it was just an error. Yeah. Uh, lost footage. Yeah. Um, what a day. That was crazy. <coughs> just technically getting that to work. Do you remember how, did you ever know about that? How we were pointing a laptop yeah. at a monitor yeah. and then connecting the audio through the ceiling down front? It was like crazy. Yeah. I still haven't watched the full uh, Gethard Show side of the election coverage. I've watched, I've been getting through it bit by bit. Yeah. But I still haven't finished it. Yeah, it's unwieldy to watch, though, because it's only on blip.tv, I think. Yeah. Is it on YouTube even? No, it's just on blip because it took you a long time to upload it. Right. And blip doesn't have a great Yeah, it's interface. hard to scan to a place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I. Yeah, but that that is like a um like I I feel like sometimes I have success fantasies that uh don't tie into like like they don't feel like ambitions. They feel like uh it would be nice to get to a place where I could be successful enough to do things to help people who've helped me or you know where it feels like you want to like yeah like my success fantasy is walking through like i guess we're going major if i had a dream thing right yeah my dream would always be to like have like a studio lot you know what i mean like yeah like my because growing up like my dream was always like you know those shots that they have of like behind the universal where it's like someone's walking the street and there's like all the people in costumes walking by and guys carrying yeah. Giant, like, you know, uh, like the end Fresnels. Of the, the end of the yeah. Muppet movie, basically, right? Yeah, but also just like, and they're walking past the New York set, and then they're walking past the Tarzan, like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Like, yeah. you go from the Tarzan set to the Godzilla set to this set. I would love to have, like, a backlot studio like that, where, like, you know, where the Back to the Future set is in the background here, and, like, you know, like, 
walk to work, park my car, get to walk through some cool set. Yeah. And then, like, walk into the offices and have, like, you in one room writing up something with a bunch of people, like, you know, Gethard and everyone else over here, all my friends from, like, all of my friends in the yeah. same building all working together on stuff. And it's like, my dream is like, morning, Connor, morning, Chris, morning, JD. Like, that, that's my dream is yeah. like, we're all just there and our life is like, we get to just make stuff. The dream factory, right? Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. I was reading, um, I was reading a book about um, the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating reading about how like, like Valerie Harper was uh, such a breakout hit as Rhoda on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. And then... Um, that was like during the era when spinoffs were a big thing for shows where you'd get like All in the Family with spinoffs to the Jeffersons yeah. and this was spinoffs to that and Happy Days with spinoff Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy and, and all these different shows would spin off and it was just talking about how like on the one hand it was like a cool thing for Valerie Harper to get promoted to be Rhoda and then get her yeah. own show but then once they got her own show the way that Rhoda really struggled to be like to find its own voice as a show, and then the, I think like um, Cloris Leachman had a spinoff as her character, and it like lasted a year or something like that. Yeah, and there's that thing of like, oh, like would it maybe like would they have been happier if they had stayed on the Mary Tyler Moore show and just wrote it out? Yeah, and then I was reading, I was reading about like <clears throat> Ted Knight on the Mary Tyler. Have you ever watched the Mary Tyler Moore show? I mean, I've watched it when I was seen, younger. Like, yeah. It, probably. Yeah. Ted Knight is, I'd never really watched it. I started watching, there's this cable channel called Me TV that's mostly, it's like what Nick and Knight used to be. So it's like yeah. as, as the baby boomers age out, they get yeah. a different, shuttle off to a different channel. Yeah, and then eventually it's just a, some sort of TV frequency that kills you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been watching episodes of like the Dick Van Dyke show and the Mary Tyler Moore show and Ted Knight is so good on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And he's basically like, he's the Hank Kingsley, Joe Bluth. Like, he's the the character who's like the most desperate. Yeah. And he's the one who, uh, he has such a facade of like, I'm the best anchorman. And he talks in his anchorman voice. And, yeah. And it's you know, like a lot of Ron Burgundy, actually, you can find in Ted Knight. Like, I'm sure he would even like cop to that. That's like, right. that's the kind of character. But... Um, the I was reading about how Ted Knight kept wanting to have his character be smarter or do something that was like he wanted to like he was worried that people would think because the character's name was Ted and his his name was Ted that, that people would just think he was a dumb arrogant guy right. like the character and he would say things like oh why did they have to call him Ted. Yeah. And it's just like, even the, I'm reading it in the tone of voice yeah. of his character, but like, just reading that sentence, it sounds like, like, oh yeah, he probably said it like that. Yeah. And so he'd be like, why don't we have him do it like this? We'd be like, we'll see that he's like this or like that. And they're like, don't you realize, like, you're the most popular character on this show. Like, you're the, yeah. people think you're funny because you're doing these things. You don't need to also be the most respected character in the fictional universe of the show. I'll tell you what, I know how that goes. Oh, right, because of your character on uh, The Gathered Show? No, just in various projects, I've experienced that, where it's like people don't realize that part of the joy of sometimes their contributions to things is mm-hmm. 
that it's not the most respected thing, that it is a very specific thing. Well, I, thought you were specific, I thought you were saying that you thought people were, you thought you were evil J.D. Amato from the Catholic show. That's true. That happened also. Really? People would text me mean things. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like playing into the bit of it. Yeah. Not, I don't think generally. A couple were generally mean in a way that I was like, what the fuck? Someone once was like, you look like a fucking retarded screech. And I was like, okay. Okay. Well, uh, that's great. It's weird how people are like, you know, I've noticed with, I noticed that early on with like the presidential campaign. Yeah. Is that my feeling was like, it's the, the ideal thing is it's going to fail on its own. Right. So my feeling was what we really need is for everyone to build up working together to make me president. Like the more people playing into me being, we're going to work to make him president. The funnier it would be when it all crashes to the floor. Yeah. yeah. And it worked for like a couple of people for like Will Hines to like straight man yeah. me. But it didn't work for people to be like actively rooting against me. Right. Which is why Gethard had his whole thing was like, that's great. So you're, uh, you're, you're starting a new television channel on your honor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing, you know what I mean? It was never like yeah. vacation Jason straight manning. It was, it was, well, that's great. That seems like that's a lot to put on your plate right now at this yeah. point in your presidential campaign. You'd be like, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. He's like, well, I wish you the best of luck with that. Yeah. And it always worked better. Like the way Gethard yeah. played it was always like, we're supporting you, even though it does seem like. Yeah. Um, but the number of people who would volunteer, they'd be like, I want to be like your Tea Party opponent. I'm like, it really doesn't work because I already have like the actual Tea Party that I'm supposedly running against. Right. I already have opponents that are go- one of whom right. is going to defeat me. Um, but it is funny how there's like people will play into a bit sometimes in a way that is like they don't. I think it's like people. It's almost like people fighting in early improv classes. Yeah. That it's like, oh, I know how to make this funny conflict. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of like I feel like when kids turn like three or four, right? Yeah. There'll be this thing where like. Maybe you rough house or fake fight or something like that, and then like once in a while, a kid will just like, you know, you'll be done. They'll just like whack you real hard or do something. You're like, do we were playing, and we were done, and now can't you see I'm sitting here? Yeah, we had our fun when we were rough house, and that was okay. But now I'm sitting here eating with the grown-ups, and you can't hit me in the head with a baseball yeah. bat or whatever. And at the same time, you kind of like the kids thinking outside the box. He's like, "Hey, I thought this would be a fun opportunity to get this going again." Right. That was remember that was fun. We had fun. We, we had fun, fun with before, and it was the perfect opportunity. You were sitting at the grown-ups table. I got a good shot in. Right, and that's what it feels like on this stuff, where it's like, yeah, it's fine for you to sneer and boo and say mean stuff if I come out and and being mean on camera, but like. Now that I'm sitting at home on Twitter, I don't need you insulting, insulting me. Because yeah. guess what? That's not the same thing, and it's not fun, and I'm trying to have dinner right now. Yeah. What, uh, what were you referencing when you were saying, I don't know what that's like? Was that something else? I've just had experience with people in various projects that, like, like you said, get very, uh, very defensive of their character in a way that you're like, no, but what, what is joyful about your character is that it? Is the specific thing? Is this something thing. I know, or or that I should be jumping to those conclusions? No, it's not. I'm not talking about you. No, no. I mean, is this something that I'd be aware of? I'd be like, oh right, that person is like that. No, no, no. It's not one specific person. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, in general, people like that. Hashtag Brumpy Bros. Um, what? Hashtag Brumpy Bros. Brumpy Bros. Uh, have you? Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Have you seen his interaction with our fans? No. Because people that listen to our podcast, <laughs> you should bring up his Twitter. 
because it is pretty actually insane. Like, <laughs> he's got a following our, well, now. That's well, our fans have all started following him and using hashtag Brumpy Bros, and then he he sees it and starts responding to them, and then they get into this back and forth, and then he loops them into other conversations. <laughs> so a lot of his Twitter thing is him interacting with people that are listeners of our show. But he doesn't know where it's coming from. I don't think so. All right. And it's not, it's not mean. It's not, you know, I'm sure he's a nice yeah. guy, normal guy, but it's just this strange thing to see all these people that listen to our show having these, like, constant back and forth with him. And if you look at the hashtag Brumpy Bros, it's, like, a very, a very heavily, heavily used hashtag Wait, now. Brum, is it Brumpy or Brumpy? Brump. Brumpy Bros. Because that was the whole thing is that he misspelled his own. Yeah. Well, I, I hope I'm not getting I get, I Hashtag Brumpy Bros. I'm not getting anything. Brothers. Brumpy Brothers? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I accidentally just uh, shortened it, didn't I? Um, Connor. I'm seeing a few things. I'm seeing hashtag Brumpy Brothers, oh God. Right now, Connor's looking at the hashtag results. I, but there's a lot of people using that hashtag when they get to this, that point of the podcast. But yeah. then he's responding to all of them, which is great. But I wonder what he must think. That's what, I, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, I'm just going to go to Mark Brumpy and see what... Yeah. Um... Brumby way? Yeah. And he, and how does he get along with them? Pretty fine. I think sometimes he there's political stuff that he talks about, but it seems fine. Yeah, it's mostly him vetting who can and cannot be in the Brumpy Brothers. Yeah, in a jovial, you know, in a funny way, it's him determining whether what <laughs> what makes someone a genuine Brumpy Brother, spiritually speaking. Yeah, like someone will say. Check out KFS for some serious branding. And he's like, you know, a simple Brumby boy like me loves his kielba- his kielbasa. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If you get to this point in the uh, in the podcast, uh, hashtag uh, Brumpy Bros, Brumpy Brothers, uh, hashtag. I saw this one earlier. Is it Brumby Way? Yeah, Brumby Way. Hashtag Brumby Way. With, yeah. uh, <coughs> send him something nice. Yeah, send something nice to at Mark J J A Y M A R K J A Y underscore B R U M B Y. Uh, just send something nice uh, the Brumby Way. Yeah. Um. Yes, because he's saying. I like when he retweets stuff like "we're all up, we're all up night, all night to get Brumpy." Like he's tweeting at us and someone else. Seattle can def be honorary member of Brumby Bunch. Oh, Brumby Bunch. I'm sorry, that's what it was. Brumby Bunch. Okay. That's the hashtag. I love that Steph uh, at Biblord said we're up all night to get Brumpy. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's different. I don't know. 
It's there's definitely a bunch of stuff going on here. Yeah. There's Odd still... to see your branding skills and other credentials. Hashtag no Obama. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, <sighs> I hope everyone has been attending the Brumpy brunches. Yeah. That's one thing we haven't heard. Eggs Benedict though. has been great there. You've been going? Yeah, I've, I've gone to one or two. I couldn't make at, the reason. At the, at the BB uh, King. Uh, yeah, BB King Bar and Grill. Bar and Grill on 42nd Street in Midtown Times Square. Yeah. New York City. Right across from David Buster's. Make sure, make sure you go to the Brumpy Brunch. We go to Brumpy Brunch and we go and we uh, play Papa Shot for three hours. Yeah. And then you can go see any one of 25 movies at the AMC 25 Megaplex. But do not start a podcast recording there or else you will be asked what you're doing. And you will have to tell them. And then they'll be okay with it. They'll be fine with it. Um, Well, we're at 9 o'clock now, so we're in the final stretch. We're in the... This this has seemed easier than the last one to me. Well, last one we were wandering around in the rain and we had no plan for it. This one I think we thought we were going to start here and then go into town. Go on a little journey of some sort. Go on a journey. I think we very quickly realized that it was fairly comfortable here. It was very, it's a super, it's cold outside right now. It's cold outside. I think we would have, would have been unhappy wandering around. I'm excited for in the spring, mm-hmm. just wandering around. I, my favorite thing in the world is wandering around yeah. New York, especially the Greenwich Village area, and just wandering over yeah. the water. I could see a great 12-hour day coming out of that. We could have gone to Central Park today and wandered around in the snow. I was thinking about that. Yeah, but it, Central Park does look beautiful in the snow, but we would have probably had battery problems and things. You know, there would have been would stuff have been that cold, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I also think we're probably our tendency is going to be to not do to not repeat. Uh, yeah, like I kind of feel like oh, we're settled in here. I ha- once I had the idea that I would get any groceries, I would buy some food and make dinner. Then yeah. I felt like oh, we're we're settled in exactly, and. Uh, I, and, I, and I think I also am aware that, like, in a few weeks we'll be at South by Southwest, and that will be a very mobile and active one. Yeah, very wandering. We'll be trying to find outlets desperately. Really? Yeah, I know a couple of places we can get them, though, already. Yeah? Yeah. They don't have charging stations at South by? that we They can... do, but they're filled with people charging their phones. Well, we can talk to those people on our podcast. We can. And negotiate a... We'll say, like, look, we're doing a 12-hour podcast, and we need these outlets at some point. Yeah, my fear is that someone's going to steal our idea at South by Southwest. If they do, then then you know we'll more we, power to them. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. Yeah. I'm going to officially say this. Yeah, you're not going to like it. What? But I'm my, not, or the listeners aren't going to like it. You're not. Connor's not. What? Someday, my dream is as like a finale or like a big celebration podcast. Once this, once twelve hour day becomes huge, is I'd love to do a forty eight hour episode. I mean, where you and I have to take turns sleeping. I'll stay up. 48 hours? No way. You're right. No way, Jose. You barely stay up 14 hours. Um, I wouldn't mind that idea. The only thing I do think is that that's not an idea that, uh, that's not an idea that I do until I'm at the point where, where, uh, I'm, I have a slight amount of financial comfort or something. Exactly, yeah. Uh, that's at a point where we are like, this is a branded podcast that it's like, Monsanto presents. <laughs> well, you keep bringing up Monsanto. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be Monsanto presents. Have you been watching House of Cards? Is that why? 
Is that a plot point in it? Mm, season one, they mentioned Monsanto a bunch. I think Monsanto is a funny corporation specific to mention because there's something sinister about them. Yeah. Um, if they weren't the name of a real company, they sound like the name of a fake company that is trying to sound real in a, in a work of fiction. Yeah. Like, I, always, I always am amazed when I see companies that are called like Datadyne Industries yeah. or like like um, Syndicorp or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, are you trying to be the bad guy in like an 80s action yeah, movie like, or like a video game? Yeah. Like, like um, Clamp, <clears throat> Clamp uh, Industries and in Gremlins 2. Yeah. Donald Clamp. Yeah. I still think that is a great take on Donald Trump. And it's so old now. It's such an old take on him. But John Glover as Donald Clamp. Yeah. With that, uh, the logo being... The letter C clamping, squeezing the planet Earth. Yeah. I think that's really funny. That has a lot of really funny stuff in it. Yeah. That's a good comedy. They need to update it so that it's not a VHS tape uh, malfunctioning at that point in the movie. When it came out in theaters, it was yeah. a um, melting film. Yep. And then on, <clears throat> they rightly updated it so that it looked like your VHS tape was malfunctioning. Yeah. Now they should do something digital and... The film melting and VHS thing should be alternate takes in bonus features. Yep, that would be great. But no one will make the effort. Nobody cares. Uh-oh. Um, get it together, Gremlins 2. That's the hashtag for this moment in the podcast. I think we've been... We might have too many hashtags. No. We're going to get inundated with people tweeting at us. This is a good one. I'm only mentioning ones that are really important now. What's also funny is that, like... You and I, inevitably, after the first one, people tweeted us things that we asked them to tweet at us, and we couldn't remember couldn't what remember they what were. We're talking about. Now we've asked so many things that it'll be tough for us to remember. I guarantee you that when they start hashtagging, get it together, Gremlins 2. We'll know what they're talking about. We'll, yeah. we'll know what they're talking about. And let me clear, clarify, the way I'd like it to be hashtagged is get it number two together. Like, I want the number two instead of T-O. I'm going to say this. This is going to cause a real... This is a real move that I think is funny but will be really annoying if you're listening to this tweet at us a hashtag that has nothing to do with this podcast oh god at some point so that we, we're not sure which are things we actually talked about and which are things that you guys have made up um I think that's going to cause us stress in the future yeah see that's the kind of thing that when you do it I'm going to point out every time someone comes out when you say something like that that's why people think you're cold because <laughs> you just caused yourself st- you've been talking about stress uh, problems yeah um, was a stress fracture mentioned earlier yeah a stress fracture stress stress issues and then you're laughing and smiling as you openly admit that you just came up with an idea that's going to cause us stress in the future because <laughs> they'll be like hashtag Connor's first sexual experience and you're like wait what did I talk about that uh, I know I didn't um, Why didn't you? Because um, this is a world-class podcast. I don't want to go down in the gutter with the okay. the gutter dogs of the internet. But is there a story there? No, not really. Nothing really? that's interesting. Yeah. Um, the um, yeah, I that's although I I will admit, not that I haven't been asked, but uh, have you done Murph and Diana's podcast? No, because I don't think I would be comfortable. I don't think I could do it either. I've liked listening to a few of the episodes, and they, and it is less um, 
intrusive than I thought it would be when I first yeah. was seeing what it was. I'm like, oh no, this is good. I agree with you that they need longer. Uh, it needs to be longer. Yeah, I think they need to have more conversations because they're so charismatic together. Yeah, and like they had one thing where they're talking about like a vibrating cock ring. Yeah, and how like it ran out of batteries because they were both using it not when they were together but separately. <laughs> And then neither of them copped to it, and then it ran out of batteries. And they're like, oh, I wonder why. And then both of them were like, oh, well, I was using it when you weren't there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's like a funny, weird, like, this, that's a very yeah. Diana and Murph thing. Yeah. I want to hear more, like, stories of them talking about, like, just like, yep, this is what we've been up to kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, make it happen, guys. <laughs> that was a weird... <laughs> Call to action. <laughs> yeah, we've gotten to, uh, are we 10 hours in? Yeah, because we started, we're saying we started at like noon. A little before noon. Yeah. So yeah, we're, uh, we're in the nine, hour, hour, nine hours in. We're an hour 10, though. What? We're in hour 10. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and at this point we're, I'm calling no, to No, we're in hour nine. No, we've done nine hours. So now we're in the 10th hour. No. Because if, if it's 9.20, that means we've been quoting for 9 hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, and those 20 minutes are going to eventually make up the 10th hour. We're in hour 10. I think we're in hour 9. No! We've already done 9 hours. If you have $9 and then no, you get we... 20 more cents, then you're on your way to $10. Okay, I guess that's true. That's what I'm talking about is that we are in hour 10. I see what you're saying. We're building the building blocks of having this 10th hour. Right. But we already have nine completed hours done. I see what you're saying. Yes, yes, yes. Um, oh, God. It's so satisfying to have a math victory, especially at this tired state of the, of the podcast. Yeah. At this stage. Um, I think... Yeah, but... I, so in the 10th hour, we're starting a major push to have another podcast be slightly longer. Yes. You know, no one can accuse us of not leading by example. I think this is the perfect time for that call to action. Well, also, I think something I'm proud of is that I've talked for a long time about how I... Uh, like long podcasts. think long podcast to be long conversational. Yeah. I think I put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. You have literally in that you have actually paid money to make this podcast exist, yeah. and I haven't reimbursed you a dime. Well, you made me dinner tonight. I did. Um, and I, and I like to think that we're not just about the money. No. Me. One love, two friends, spending time together, for goodness sake. That, so that was a, let me just try and figure out what just happened. <laughs> that was a parody mashup of the, you were spoofing the YouTube song, the YouTube song? Yeah. But then you more, but you were doing it in a character voice. It was not any of the Irishmen who make up U two. It was more no. like a Brooklynese. It was a New Yorker city type. Yeah. Uh, kind of a goomba. Yeah. And then you transitioned seamlessly into spoofing Tangerine Dream. <laughs> the, it's, it's spoofing the theatrical soundtrack to Legend. It's Legend. A lot to unpack in that moment. That's how we do it. Ten hour. Ten hour. Nope. Twelve oh. hour day. <laughs> <laughs> what a cancellation that would be. 12-hour day is... Self-canceled right yeah. now. 12-hour day is such a... It's all about the how much subtext we can pack into the last two hours. Yeah. I think a fair amount. Yeah. Um, 
Man, uh, I, yeah, but I, uh, I'll do a 48 hour one, but I, I, you know, I feel like I, I, did I say my goal that I feel like if we do six episodes of this podcast and I'm not limiting it, but I think by episode six, people will know we mean business. I agree. And episode six, I'm not saying it will happen by then, but I think my internal goal Sure. Is to get that little tiny article somewhere in the front half of Wired magazine. Yeah, I would love if like anyone wrote about our p- podcast. Yeah. Because then essentially what they're writing about is just 12 hours of us talking. The people think something's crazy and then it happens and then they realize that it's not so crazy. But I also think this is something you could easily write about because... To me, this is a commentary and reaction to the state of media right now Mm -hmm. because we are both being very open with ourselves and our ideas and opinions and the the sense of like the, like, you're just going to put about what you eat for breakfast. It's like, this is us being like, yeah, we're being very open. We're going to share with you our whole breakfast. Every moment of our day together. Then on top of that, it's a summation of at least my and I think your opinions on what makes a podcast good and Mm -hmm. us basically taking our theories and testing them to the most extreme amount. The tricky thing I think is going to be, like I think South by Southwest is going to be a real shot in the arm because we know going into it, the external stimuli, like this episode has had less narration, less description than the first one yeah. because there's been less to narrate, less to describe. The, the last many hours, we've just been in the same place, right? Uh, which is my apartment <laughs> relatively comfortable. Yeah. And so we don't need to keep saying where we are. Now we're going here, we're getting on a train, we're going to the Euro market or whatever. South by Southwest is going to be a much different creature. And then beyond there, you, know, you do start to get to a point where like, you've said what you think about life. You've said what you think about this. Yeah. You've shared this little bit. You've shared that little bit. And isn't there something sort of terrifying, not terrifying, but odd about the fact that you can sort of sum up your whole thesis of the world in like 48 hours well that's the thing is that I do feel like um, the terrifying thing is that I may run out of what is inside of me very quickly yeah like I I feel like how many days worth of person am I oh that's interesting like I think I might be four days of person alright well, let's do this experiment uh-huh. let's ask each other questions okay that will cull from the person something that they probably would not have brought up. Brought up because it wasn't like a shining moment of their, you know, like it yeah. wasn't like a meaningful moment. Okay. And then that I think will, that will generate more personhood as opposed to the things that are just waiting on the queue of like, here's the things I want to get off my chest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when we start talking about like the movies we made as kids, that's something that we wouldn't have talked about in any other instant of, yeah. aside from that. Yeah. I think we should. I think that'll be a way to call new, new yeah. horizons. Yeah. Um, is there? I'm looking to see if there's a. Did you have a question in mind? I didn't. Um, I'm looking to see if there is a random question generator on the internet. Do you think there is? 
Oh, isn't there something called like conversation starter cards? Um, there were, I know that like Brian Eno had those oblique strategies cards yeah. that he used. Um, oh yeah, random questions, conversation topic generator. Do it. Um, let's see what happens. Do you like to cook? Uh, we've already kind of covered this. <laughs> covered it. Um, <laughs> what if all of these what are if things? all the questions? What if we? Let me see. It like gets to the point. The algorithm is like, no more questions remaining. Here's a good one. Do you like to sing out loud when no one else is around? Yes. I do. Um, only either songs that I make up mm-hmm. in the shower yeah. or singing along to songs that I really like. Yeah. And I'm an awful singer. I cannot sing at all. Yeah. Um, music is not my thing. Yeah. But, but, um, but it feels good. Yes. It feels good to sing a song. Yeah. And get that feeling out. Exactly. And I have certain songs that are like stuck in my head from when I was a kid that I just sing on a loop. Would you do would you do karaoke? Have you done karaoke? If I do karaoke, I have to do it like a comedy performance. Like a joke. Well, I just not a joke. I'll yeah. just commit Are you taking a photo of yourself or me? Don't pay any attention to the photo part. This is just what it is. Oh. Uh. Um, I don't, um, I'll pick a song and I'll commit hard to it. And it's usually a song that I really like. All right. So I, I'm just going to vine just a moment from recording the, oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm going to vine that and I'll tag it and it'll go out on Twitter and people will see. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> If you can, go to this vine and leave a comment yeah. that is, uh, leave, leave, the co- leave a comment here that would be on this vine, on Connor's vine, that would be uh, a review of your own television set, since that's something we've talked about in the past. Wait, what's the question? I'm, that you asked me. No, what did you just ask our viewers? I asked our viewers to go to your vine. <laughs> yeah. And leave a comment there that is a review of their own television. Are you on, on Vine? Yeah. So I tag you. What do I tag you? I think I'm JD Amato. Sorry that I broke the flow. Am I JD Amato? Did it connect? Yeah. All right. I'm going to post all these things. Um, um, oh, so back to what we were talking about. That was just a little vine break while we did this. Sure. So I will, um, I'll pick a song, like my go-to karaoke song uh-huh. is, um, um, St. Elmo's Fire. Uh-huh. Man in Motion. Yeah. Um. Fun song. Which I can, I know all the words and I get really into it. Yeah. Or I will do Dream Police. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are songs that I genuinely like, but to basically make myself comfortable, I just have to commit fully to them, mm-hmm. like I'm improvising. You know what I mean? Just like as it's a as if it's a performance. Yeah. Because I am not comfortable doing it, so then I just have to turn on like, this is a show, go for it. Yeah. And it usually goes well, and it's fun, but I'm not someone that can just like casually sing, because mm-hmm. I'm very self conscious, and immediately you can tell. Mm. You're. 
an actually okay singer. That's an accurate way to describe it. In some contexts, I can sing well. But like you can hold a note and you understand how to sing. Mm-hmm. I can be hit or miss. Sometimes I'm, I try to sing well and it doesn't work. Right. Um, the, but I will say that like I'm the type that if you put me in a certain kind of character part in a musical, I can do pretty well. But I don't have like a pretty voice or anything. Yeah. But I can. Like I did reasonably well when I've done musical improv. Right. And I'm not good at song structure when I'm doing musical improv. Right. It really is um, more of like a feel. Like I, I'm pretty good with the feel of it. Yeah. And it's sort of the same way I am in regular improv, which is that. I'm not good with the structure of a herald or anything like that, but I'm pretty good at going with the flow. Yeah. And so, I think I'm probably kind of a nightmare. Like, I, I need like a good musical theater improviser accompanist. Mm-hmm. I need like someone who can like fix my mistakes. Yeah. As I'm forgetting stuff and moving on and not getting yeah. the shape of it. But someone who can be like, oh, he's not doing this like a. The chorus should be here, and he's not doing, but he's moved on to this other fun thing, so I'll just go with it. Yeah. Um, but as far as singing alone, one of my favorite things is when I'm on the subway and I suddenly get a completely empty car to myself, because then I decide that I'm going to sing along uh, to, my, to a song on my iPod. I do the exact same thing. Yeah. I do the exact same and thing. And I get so angry if someone comes onto the train... Same. Uh, I, I I get furious if I'm just like, especially if I'm like, you can go in that next car and, and I wish, I, I do sometimes have the impulse to not stop singing in the hopes that they will avoid the train. I, you know what I did the other day that what? felt really good? Right. So I was listening to a song, you know, like, and I like, want to start singing, but then I started clapping. Yeah. Which is the thing you don't do in public often, so it really yeah. just takes everyone's attention. Yeah. And just clapping along really loud to my song and like singing along to it. It was like such a good feeling. And then, yeah, again, I got very angry when someone came on because I was like, no, this is my time and it's not. That was unfair of me to take that as my time. But, yeah, for that moment it was great. Just try clapping in an empty subway car. It feels very strange. Yeah. I I just, it's great. And I also, I get a little stressed because... I know that it's a matter of time before someone gets onto the train usually. Yeah. And then I'm like, what's the song I most want to sing along with? Yeah. Because um, even in your apartment, you can't really belt out loud. No. And, uh... What is your song? I don't have any one song. I haven't really done karaoke. I mean, I had fun doing Watching the Detectives <laughs> and karaoke. No, but I mean, your song that you sing along to when you're alone in the subway car. What's the answer to that question? Oh, I don't so That's have... different than karaoke. I don't have um, I don't have a song. For me, I will usually sing along to Little Girls by Oingo Boingo. That's a great song. Yeah. Super disturbing song. And a song that's they weird. They don't want to fool with me. Yeah. Yep. That's a super disturbing song, but it's so committed to the character. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite line in that song... And I don't. Yeah, it's like uh, so great. I think my favorite line in that song is the... 
isn't it a nightmare too? That yeah. that part where yeah. it's like, oh yeah, that song embraces the full complexity of the horrific uh, subject matter. Ah, I, I like little girls. They make me feel so bad. That's what I like. Yeah, it's a, a disturbing song. Very disturbing song, but he commits to it so hard. Yeah, um, that whole album to me is. Uh, Sort of that same character is like very disturbing. Yeah. Okay, here's a question I have for you. Yeah. From the same th- random question conversation topic okay. generator. Would you rather be rich and ugly or poor and good looking? Uh, probably, uh, probably rich and ugly. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think if you're stuck in that mode, because yeah. the, uh, I think I'd rather be rich and ugly because... If you're assuming the the parameters of the uh, question, yeah, you can't assuming you can't cheat. Which is, well, I'd rather be poor and good looking because then I'd use my uh, good looks to do better and become rich. But I don't think the spirit of the question is that. Then, like, if it was right now, yeah. if someone came to me and said, "I will either make you attractive or I will make you rich." I think I would say, oh, make me attractive because that will actually help me in a right. number of other ways furthering my current goals. It will be easier for me to book acting jobs if I'm attractive. Right. Um, but I think the spirit of the question is you can only have one or the other. Yes, I think so. Because um, if it was right now, it was like you can either... Be attractive or you can be rich. I'd probably choose attractive and then use that as a stepping stone. Whereas, like, no matter how rich you are, you can't use that money to make yourself physically more attractive. Yeah. No matter what modern medicine tries to pretend it can do. Um, I agree. Um, I also think that attractiveness is very subjective to circumstance. Uh huh. And I think if you're like rich, people would find you attractive because of that. Yeah, I just, I, I'm thinking of how hard it is being poor, like, uh, it just wouldn't, if you're stuck being poor and you're attractive, it feels like in some ways you have, uh, you're getting very little benefit from it, you know? Yeah. Whereas I know if I was rich and ugly, I could live with it and I could just be like, well, I'll be a kind person, you know? And then I'd be yeah. like, it's good that I'm kind and I have my money. Yeah. But I'm hideous. Um, I found this website yeah. that is funny topics for chit-chatting. All right. But it's all just like jokes without punchlines. Hey, you know what? If we got funny topics for chit-chatting, I feel like we've got it made, right? <laughs> that's, that's like here, here's one of the topics. Okay. Here's the right, first hey, one. Let me warn our listeners. Get ready to laugh. <laughs> here's, a, here's, a, here's a good top conversation for chit-chat. Oh, okay. Why does yoga look so good on TV or when others are doing it, but when you do it, you just feel throbbing pain all over? Well, I don't do yoga, so that uh, topic didn't pay off so great, but... And because you're doing something that is physically painful, and when you see others doing it, you're not experiencing their pain. Yeah. um, Move on to the next one, because it's going to be a solid gold winner. Okay. Where did the barbers disappear to in the 60s and 70s? Okay. Um, we have to make this a conversation. 
I think uh, we have to make this a conversation. I mean, hairstyles changed in the 60s and 70s. There were a lot more long hairs, but there were also a lot of people who still uh, functioned conservatively. And so where did the barbers go? Uh, trends changed. They didn't disappear. No, no, no. This question presupposes that they did. It's asking where did they disappear oh, to. Oh, okay. If we're going to play it that way, then I actually question your presupposition. I think they're just literally asking, like, where did barbers go? Like, where were places? If you were a barber, where would you go for, like, fun or for... I, okay. This is a complicated answer. Oh, maybe... They would go to the post office whenever they needed mail. They would go to a grocery store for food. Uh, if they needed to renew their driver's license, they would go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Right. Uh, if they were done with work, they would go home. <laughs> I hate this conversation. If they... Uh, okay, here's the next... Were, no, if they were... If it was time to work, they would go to their barber shop. Um, okay. Here's if, the, <laughs> if a barber was having an adulterous affair, they would go to a hotel or a motel, or some of them would go to the house where the person they were having the affair with was when the spouse of that person wasn't there, and they would risk it. Okay, here's the next one. Yeah. The funniest living man in the world is George W. Bush, period. All right. Um... What do we think about George W. Bush as a um, the kind of jokes he would make? Okay, George W. Bush. Uh, Have you ever seen like the drunken wedding toast that he would make back in the day yeah. before he was like that? I mean, George W. Bush has an affable personality. I don't think... Um, I bet if you're uh, hanging around with him... I bet he says some things every now and then that are kind of uh, worth a chuckle. Like, I bet every now and then he'll do a thing where he'll be like, oh, look at this guy, he's going out dressed like a duck. Right. You know, I bet he, like, makes a little comments every now and then. I bet every now and then he scores a hit with one. Um, I bet he's the kind of guy who uh, walks in and sees her coming by and he goes, staying in shape, babe? Hey, you sitting on this thing, like, pretend like you're riding on a bike? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of his observations are going to be fairly obvious ones. Um, They'll be fairly joyful, though. Yeah. Um, I feel like um, Al Gore's pretty funny. I mean, a lot of politicians are fairly funny. You know, they have to have a certain amount of casual yeah. charm. Uh, but the topic, the conversation giggle starter was um, he's the funniest person in the world. Yeah. Nah, it's just not true. Okay, fine. Here's one actually conversation story. The biggest lies you have told your mom about your job, girlfriend, boyfriend, or friends? I don't know. I don't know. I mean... <coughs> uh, I wouldn't say lies. They're probably just like lies of omission more than anything. Yeah, that's for know? me. I, I don't fill in my parents on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I, I would say, I wouldn't say there are. Uh, my parents know all my friends, though. I talk to my friends a lot. Just relationship stuff, I leave out of it. Uh huh. Yeah. That was always not a thing that we really discussed in my family a lot. Yeah. But like they know, like, like my dad when he called, I was like, he was like, "Do you have a second? And I was like, "Well, not real sort, not really." And I was like, "You know, the podcast me and my friend do." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I saw on Twitter you guys were recording today. Sorry, I completely forgot." Yeah. So like he knows you and the kind of stuff we do. Yeah. But then, like, his next question was, like, do you have a girlfriend? 
He's like, JD, do you have a girlfriend? I was like, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, bye. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. -bye. Um, Yeah, I would say probably more just, and some of them are just careless omissions. Some of them are just like, uh, you know, there's things that you don't think to bring up, and then there's things that will be like, oh, this will be easier if I don't bring this up. Yeah, exactly. Or stuff where I'm like, I don't want to make this a whole conversation right now. Yeah. Uh, my turn. I'm gonna. I'm gonna generate. I'm gonna generate a okay. conversation starter. I'm surprised we haven't got a lot of activity on that vine that I made. Well, they can't hear the podcast yet. Yeah, but I would think they would see it on Twitter or Facebook or Vine. Did you know? post it on our? No, I will. I will though. Um, have you ever been to the emergency room, and what for? Uh, I was in the emergency room once because I was playing at the beach and I stepped, there was a broken beer bottle in the water. Uh-huh. And my then Little League baseball coach was randomly at the beach and carried me up the uh-huh. lake embankment to the car where I was driven to yeah. the emergency room to get stitches. But that was it. Hmm. Do you, rem- you remember it? I do. What did it feel like? It hurt. It hurt when they put the no. They always, it hurt always when they put Novocaine in. So that's basically them just putting a needle into your wound, which is like, ow. Yeah. And then it feels better. How about you? Um. Well, as far as emergency room, I would say uh, a couple of experiences. Um, I'm just going to tweet the vine out. Great. I'm watching the vine right now. Don't pay any attention. I'll take a song off a bit hard to see this. Don't pay any attention. Bumpy Bunch? Is the hashtag? Brumpy Bunch. Bunch? Yeah. Not brunch? No. I'm gonna put Bumpy Brothers. I'll put Brumpy Brunch. Brunch? Yeah, start it. Make it into a big old thing. I wish we could talk to our listeners right now. We can, via all of our social media. But I wish, like, because I know people listen to us when they're at work or well, not when they're doing uh, stuff. Two days ago, whenever I said, let's do, uh, uh, we'll have listener, uh, letter, ask for some letters from our listeners. And you're like, I don't want to involve them. Well, I didn't want to make it like a thing where we had like had to like feel beholden to top to like segments. Uh huh. Um, the uh, the Notepad.cc has got up to twenty seven things listed from the last. Uh... Is there? Oh, is there anything from that that we need to discuss? Uh, I got some flack for my Beyonce comments. Yeah. From Alyssa. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you knew that was going to happen. And some other people. You knew that was going to happen. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think about it at all. I stand by my comments, though. Well, I think fair. she's fine. Yeah. But also, I, also I, we should say, like, I like Beyonce. Uh, and you're not... It's one thing if, like, there are people who are like, ah, I think she's dangerous, or you know, things like that. Those no. are things that you have to really back up. But subjective taste, what you like, what you don't like, or what you're like, yeah, I'm not really into this. Um, I feel like we are in a climate where everyone feels like, you have to justify that, whereas like you can just not like something. Well, I think that the, the the point that brought offense was I was like, I'm not that into her, and I think that she is 
um, deified in a uh-huh. way that she doesn't isn't totally deserving of. Yeah. Which I stand by that only in the sense of everyone is free to deify whoever they want. Yeah. But in my opinion, I don't see the qualities of her that are making her this person that all people should look up to. Yeah. Um, well, and the things that she supposedly stands for, I get, but also they seem contradictory to me to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of if you transfer the, those things about her to someone else that you're not as crazy about, like if you to put all those things and said, no, Celine Dion is the one that's right. playing this, people would instantly, if you weren't into Celine Dion as much, you'd be like, yeah, she doesn't deserve to be deified or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get a little flack, but nothing, nothing outrageous. No. Yeah, just a difference of taste. Yeah, but I do, you know, I just don't, she's not my... Uh, Cup of tea. Yeah, I guess. I, you know, her, a lot of, some of her songs I really like. Mm-hmm. Her as a person I'm not super interested in. I, do, I think she's attractive. I think she uh, sends good messages to people. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she's going to be a... Uh, to me, she is not personally revolutionary or someone that is... Right stuck in my mind as a artist or creator that is really uh, opening my mind to anything new. Yeah. I think myself. Had, I think we've had enough of your Beyonce bashing. Is this a regular segment now that we when we hit Listen, I don't the, know. In the 10th hour, you have your Beyonce bash? In the 11th hour, I just want to slide it in. Um, what are other things that people responded to? I like that we'll call this regular segment the Beyonce bash because it sounds like it's a party. But it's not. But it's not. Um, I'm just going to go through the 27 bullet Which is points. what I feel about Beyonce. Um, People think it's a party, but it's not. I'm all right. Ranking Scorsese's movies. We did that. That doesn't really need revisiting. We, no. Uh, we, already <laughs> we, we talked over too much about Scorsese movies. Um, we talked more about Wolf of Wall Street than we could make a commentary track for Wolf of Wall Street just by editing yes. the three and a half hour. Because we probably have enough that we could do it. As yeah. a, actually, we encourage our listeners... To We're together. asking so much of them at this point. I encourage our listeners to edit just the Wolf of Wall We're Street. We're asking a lot of to make a commentary track that can be played whenever Wolf of Wall Street is released on Blu-ray, DVD, and streaming. I'd like to point out that when Connor said Wolf of Wall Street, his finger extended into the air as though a miniature salute, um, or as if I had a moment of inspiration. <laughs> yes. The Wolf of Wall Street. Number one, ranking Scorsese's movies. We did it. Number two, Connor's preschool job. Not yet verbal kids using a survivalist name. All right, so we did that. Right I don't up. have any new information yeah. on that. Three, bad soda from the store near JD's place. Did it. Amazing. Four, Connor silently peeing. We reprised that in this episode. Right. You did, you did it silently, and I did it silently when you were on the phone with your dad. Uh, five, the podcast we would be longer. We've revisited that topic. Number six. Matthew Brian Cohen's mean online persona versus his nicer one in real life. I think we did sort of revisit that, talking about that Facebook stuff and posting things online and things like that. Yeah. Um, who the Twitter account should follow. Uh, guessing what your one follower is about. We've really returned <laughs> yeah. to that one with, with a vengeance. Uh, that JD will likely never be as into long-form improv and what you appreciate about it. Uh, I actually felt bad because Riley texted me because he was in this the vampire dad scene that I talked about. Uh-huh. And he was like, I'm sorry about that scene. And I was like, no, 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 because that, that was a great scene. 
We're going to ha- have some Christmas candy. Great. That was a great s- improv scene. I didn't mean that in a, any disparaging way about that scene. Uh-huh. I felt bad about that. Well, apologies to Mr. Riley Soliner for his improv scene. No, no. Quit no. <laughs> summing up my things is uh, <laughs> aggressive. Um, I should bring up, to balance out your Riley bash, Stop doing this. Stop it. <laughs> I'm not. See, this is the thing. Is people are going to start tweeting at me mean things. No, no. Um, the, in, when I was in 401 with Riley, there was a scene that happened that was amazing, which was that it was two people were in a scene, and then one of their phones rang, and then the other per and that's basically you do that by the people in the back line, like make the phone ring, and then they're the person on the other end of the phone. And then the other per- another person in the back line made the other person's phone ring, and then they the they were both turned out to be people who were calling these two different people from the same place. And so they started having a conversation with themselves in the location where they're like, wait a second, who are you calling? Oh, I'm on the phone to mom. You're on the phone to mom, I'm on the phone to dad. And the whole scene was just Riley and someone else on the back line talking back and forth while the people who were in the scene were uh, just holding these phones listening. Yeah. Uh, and it was really funny. Because it went on to the point where it was ridiculous where they then called someone else, I think, who was on the back line. I'm forgetting the specifics of it, but that was the feeling of it. Was like, it felt like it was like uh, um, eating its own tail. Yeah. In a good way. Um, uh Lots about Wolf of Wall Street, including how it's not just a good movie, but a good Scorsese movie. Um, And it's like how Vicky Cristina Barcelona was a good Woody Allen movie. That was the point that was made. Oh, yeah. We can revisit that, I suppose. Um, So We specifically wanted not to revisit that. No, but you said we had to. I didn't say we had to. You said we have to talk about it now. Okay, We don't have to talk about it at length. Let's talk about it shortly. I I, I, I don't... The thing I don't like about it is that it's becoming yeah. a, 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 a group conversation of the, of the cultural mm-hmm. universe. Well, our take on it's going to be different than everybody else's. See, that's what everyone says. Um, last month when we did this podcast, we, uh, I guess apparently, based on this reminder, we talked about how Vicky Cristina Bar- Barcelona was one of the few movies of the past decade that feels like a real Woody Allen movie. Little did we know that uh, in the time since then that Woody Allen would become one of the major topics of conversation. So uh, we're not taking credit for that in any way that that has become a major topic of conversation. No, there's uh, no way that we're taking there's credit There's no way that. that our name dropping of Vicky Cristina Barcelona in last month's episode uh, in any way contributed to the current hot topic that it is. Yes. Um, but what I was saying yesterday was I was saying I don't want to talk about Woody Allen on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and JD's saying uh, that we won't talk about it very much. Um, I can't get into it too much because uh, I, yeah, I was talking a little bit about it last night. And what I find is that talking about it as a topic makes me feel so horrible that uh, I just can't do it. Anymore, like I'm not, I'm not interested in having a debate. I have like a a what I feel is a complicated and confused reaction to the whole situation, right? And that I feel this situation does involve uh, Woody Allen, who's a weird guy who may has 
may or may not have done some horrible things, but we know, I, like, I feel like I know he definitely did at least one horrible thing, which, was, which is never really spoken about by him, which is that regardless of how you feel about his long-term relationship with Sunni Previn, that it worked out as a relationship for him, I feel like it is pretty massively a huge betrayal. It's never really spoken about in these terms because it's more t- spoken about in the, the shock of it. Yeah. But for me, it was always that, like, the level of betrayal that you, even if you just grant as a given, like, he's been with Sunni Previn all this time since then. He was with Mia Farrow for approximately a decade. That's a long-term relationship. And the level of betrayal that it takes, not just to cheat on somebody, but to cheat on them in a way that destroys part of their family, even if it's with the complicity of that member of the family. Uh, And there's never been a moment in all of it where I felt like there was a moment where that's... Like when Woody Allen talks about it, he talks about it in terms of like, they never accepted my relationship with Sue Neal. It's kind of like, what society would you expect to accept it? Like, in what society that's ever... Like, where would you even point to in human history where they'd be like, well, in this culture, this was always accepted. Right. Um, And I feel like not ever acknowledging that is automatically so alienating as a human reaction that you never even have a moment where he's like, look, I realize, like, I hurt a lot of people when I did that, and I feel bad about that. But, like, even if you're going just to uh, to build up to that... I feel like the, that lack of uh, humility is like the first big stepping stone away from being able to relate to him as a person. Yeah. And that's before even addressing any of the current scandal. <clears throat> Here's my take on the current scandal. We are not personally involved in it. Yeah. We are not professionally involved in it as investigators or therapist or psychologist, anyone that has any evidence. Yeah. So anything that anyone says that is not one of those parties is by nature of the fact uninformed and everything is just speculation. Yeah. At which point it is inappropriate speculation and whether or not they make it public because I think they have a family dynamic that perhaps causes them to make things public that doesn't, you know. Yeah. It is not our business to judge or speculate based on what happened. And anything that anyone says is judgment or speculation that yeah. is based not on fact, but purely on speculation. The thing that makes me feel so bad in even having this conversation is that it so quickly became like everyone to battle stations. Like yeah. everybody was like, I'm on this team or I'm on that team. And I'm not especially comfortable on either team. It's not a battle we should... But that is the the mode that happened almost immediately. It was just like, some people post a link to something they'll just be like, this. And then someone else will be like, but what about this link? And my feeling and the reason that makes me feel so bad, even just as a topic, is that I feel like there's no scenario in which you look at this that doesn't involve horrible things happening. Even, yes. even no matter whose quote unquote side you're on, every possible scenario of this involves uh, betrayal and abuse at some level by someone. And it just is so, such a sad situation overall. I agree. And um, yeah, it's just not. 
our place to discuss it. And Here, here's, here's my take yeah. on it, too. If this was someone that lived in normal Illinois, actual mm-hmm. the town of normal, mm-hmm. that you've never met, yeah. would you feel comfortable determining whether or not whatever the allegations are took place? Yeah. No, you wouldn't, because you'd have no idea who they were. The problem is that these are people that have lived in the public eye. And the problem with that, as we know, is that the image that you present of yourself in the public eye is rarely ever the image that is true to who you are as a person. Whether or not you're being honest or not. We're talking here even about our brief stuff that we do and already at our minute, tiny level of that, that being distorted and having, having that be something that doesn't match completely with who we are as people. Right. It's, uh, I, I also feel like um, there's an element of um, the situation being so strange in terms of like, uh, these are people in the public eye. You have that thing that people automatically, like you feel that you know these people on some level. Right. There's an assumed familiarity with like, I have an opinion. I like her. I like him. I, you know, I don't think I would ever be able to, without, without. I, ha, I'm aware of my own biases in this, and they make me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's hard for me not to admit I feel like I have a personal stake in it because I, I mean, I showed you before that I have these like two folders uh, full of DVDs where yeah. I got rid of the cases and put the discs into these. And put the case in the closet. If you look at my movie collection, there's a shelf over there right. that's all Woody Allen movies. Yeah. And the now I feel like that's that shelf is like a political statement. Right. Or that and, it has to be like roped in like caution tape. It's like yeah. evidence. Like I've I've stared at that shelf in the past month and thought like I mean I don't have that many people come over to my apartment, but I thought like oh if I had people coming over to my apartment like if I held a little dinner party here or something yeah would I take those and like hide them. Yeah. And are those like things to be ashamed of that I have those? Yeah. And the thing is, like, I had four, I think I had about four good years as a Woody Allen fan before the Sunni Previn thing broke. Right. Like, I had four years where I was like 13, 14, 15. Like, like I had a, I was like a preteen who was like feeling sophisticated because I liked Purple Rose of Cairo and I liked all these movies. Yeah. And it made me feel great. And then I remember I was on vacation with my family in Ireland with relatives when the Sunni Previn scandal broke. And suddenly, I was like, everyone's talking about this filmmaker that to me always had been like a point of pride. Like I was like, I'm into Woody Allen movies. They're great. And I'd be like talking to my friends in high school and having them watch like Manhattan or Annie Hall or these movies and being like, these movies are great. You should see Broadway Danny Rose. And feeling pride. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a second. Like, what what am I supposed to feel about this now? And the and then like it all got so convoluted in the nineties. It all got so kind of hazy and like there were these charges and then nothing ever happened and then yeah. it felt as though, oh I guess he's been exonerated. But then there was still the fact of this like weird relationship, but then it lasted so long that it seemed like, well wait a second, it seemed like they've made this into a thing. It started to feel it never felt normal, but it started to feel like you just got used to it. Right. They're like, oh, that's what happened. Weird. And it also felt like, to be honest, if you watch Woody Allen's movies up to Husbands and Wives, 
there's a lot of movies increasingly about real relationships. Like Husbands and Wives is a painful film about real adult relationships. In the 90s, you start getting movies like Mighty Aphrodite and Everyone Says I Love You and things that I'm like, these aren't really about relationships the same way that Hannah and Her Sisters was. Yeah. He's not really dealing with like where he is in his life anywhere. There's nothing in those movies. Uh, like Manhattan Murder Mystery is a delightful movie, but there's no sense in that movie that you're getting a glimpse into him trying to figure out what it means to be an adult in a relationship. And so you just started, I started noticing like, oh, the films aren't as good as they used to be. Like even the good ones don't have the same richness and then they start to get bad or whatever like that. And, but so I've had then four good years where it was like, there was no conflict about it. it just like felt good to be a fan. Right. Then a couple of decades where it felt like weird. And I was aware that like, yeah, I'm, you know, when, when he didn't get custody of his kids, I felt like, yeah, it seems like they did do a good job of establishing like he didn't know his kids' birthdays. He wasn't really like that active a parent. Right. And it made sense that like, yeah, she should probably have custody. Uh, and it sort of felt like, you know, it's weird to think that like two years ago, everybody was celebrating Midnight in Paris. Like everyone was yeah. like, what a fun movie. And everyone was happy about it. Yeah. And a lot, I mean, I guess the main new thing is like just being more open publicly about it but yeah but it's weird to suddenly be in the position where I'm like this thing that's been important to me that's been like a defining cultural thing is now a thing that I I feel uh, weird about and I don't it's hard for me to have an opinion like it's hard for me to feel qualified to have an opinion on this and it's weird for me to feel the need to right and yeah, it's, and I just, I couldn't like, I almost feel like I just have to immediately recuse myself to a certain extent, unless someone's willing to have the only kind of conversation I can have about it is a long rambling conversation in which I double back on my own opinions a bunch of times and I ham and I haw and I say things that I'm going to probably contradict myself because on the one hand and on the other hand, right? it's just a very, I feel very, um, strange about it. Um, but anyway, so we've addressed Vicky Cristina Barcelona for the last yep. podcast. Uh, then, uh, number 12, Connor's Bored by Vegetables. Sure am. Uh, peas tonight, though. What? Peas tonight. Peas and, car- and, peas and uh, corn. Uh, the next one, number 13, Muppet Babies, Rocky and Bullwinkle versus Underdog, Ernest, Power of Specifics, Even When You Don't Know Them. Um, I was talking to Langan Kingsley about, um, I saw she did a spank recently yeah. of her uh, Langan Dice Kingsley, which is like uh, this show that just got a run at UCB. And it's uh, really funny and you should go see it. And, uh, but she does a thing at the beginning and the end of it, which is basically recreating a bit from an Andrew Dice Clay HBO comedy special. Yeah. And it occurred to me, I'd seen her do the character before, I think, or I'd heard her do the character before. Um, but watching the show, I was really struck by the fact that I'm like, oh, I know the re- I know who Andrew Dice Clay is, but it's kind of an old reference now. It's like, there are a lot of people who don't know who that is or what it's referencing. Yeah. And she recreated a bit um, verbatim that was like the video like intro and outro for his HBO special. She recreated this bit, but like flopped the, flopped the uh, genders and yeah. uh, and it was really funny. But it was just literally recreating. It's like 
in the um, in the what do you call it uh, HBO special. It's like uh, Andrew Dice Clay, and there's like a hot woman who's outside, and he's like hitting on her, and she's kind of like being coy about it. Yeah, and uh, the the uh, Langan did it where it was uh, it was her and uh, Jonathan Marbali. Yeah. And he was in the place of, like, the hot woman. Yeah. And it was really funny. And I think she was thinking about... She was saying about she might cut that bit because she felt like it, she thinks it's funny, but it didn't really get big laughs or whatever at the show. Yeah. And I was, like, saying, no, I think you should keep it because... Uh, I f- and I, I was that same thing we were talking about last month, which is, like, even if people don't know... Like, I've never seen that special. Right. But I knew what it was referencing. I knew what was happening. <laughs> and I'm like, I think most people will get specific references. They'll get the feeling of it. Yeah. Even if they don't get the get the exact yeah. thing. Um, we talked about pairing opposite movies, uh, Dumbo and Wolf of Wall Street. We talked about Enjoy the Experience, the coffee table book that you had of old right. record covers. Taking Matthew Brian Cohen to task and why that happens. Uh, we talked about uh, Elvis Costello frustrating with his recent albums. He should get famous singers to do new songs for. Oh, that was that Costello himself is frustrated with recent albums. Like it's harder for them yeah. to sell well. Uh, we talked about is Sarah Palin unlikable? No, Donald Trump is unlikable. George uh, Bush. George Bush, charismatic. I bet if you just met George Bush as a regular guy, he'd be no pretty good hang out with you. But I bet there are also times when he's a dick. Yeah. Um, of course. Uh, pointing out the emotional state of Job at the end of his story. Sure. Meatballs as a religion. Yeah. Meatballs, inspirational speech is one of the greatest inspirational speeches. Yep. The drop-off in quality of comedians. I think that was talking about as you get older. Yeah. That most comedians lose their spark. Yeah, and how you're fearing that you're on the, you just came in oh, at the tail end of I yours. Got, I, yeah, I came in on the end of it, the end of my potential. Could be true. That No. Could be. I feel like by my age, most people in comedy are either peaking or they have already peaked right how many of those comics started doing comedy and improv at age 36 i feel like none okay i don't know um is the end of taxi driver a dream yes yes uh connor and jd's overlapping childhood interests and the differing generational circumstances that spawn them yep uh how jd will always like return of the jedi because of those differences i got mugged in england and found the experience very traumatizing and Beef, where is it? I don't know what that last one is. I don't know what that is. Um, anyway, so those are the bullet points that they gave us for the last episode. Huh. Um, the, oh, I know who I was talking, I think I was talking with Riley yesterday about um, furthering that topic of comedians. Oh, also, yeah. Anthony Aprezi said he wouldn't listen to this and he's, unless he's mentioned in it. Oh. So I'm just saying his name right now. Anthony Aprezi. Everybody, um, let's have a hashtag. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, what's, his, uh, what's his Twitter? Um, Ugh, I would uh, Tony Showtime. Uh, it's at Tony underscore Showtime. Um, and the hashtag for this will be uh, a Prusy, it's a wuzzy, it's a woozy. <laughs> Which is a Wolf of Wall Street reference. No, see, here's the thing. We've asked so much of our listeners now. I, they like it. I think here's my thing is, 
Trust they, they should pick and choose the ones that they yeah, like. Do the ones you like, but if you like all of them, do those, right? Because otherwise their Twitter stream is just going to be all <laughs> tweeting at us okay. inane things. But if they're tweeting at us, it only shows up if the piece, person yes. also okay. follows us. So that's why this is Okay, it. so tweet so, at... At Tony underscore Showtime. Hashtag Apruzzi, which is A-P-R-U-Z-Z-E-S-E. It's a wuzzy, it's a woozy. <laughs> <laughs> now we should we should we should work backwards to make that a meaningful. Um, well, that I mean, it's meaningful. It references Wolf of Wall Street, which is the start of our first episode. Wait, what has it referenced? Wolf of when Wall he goes, uh, uh, it's a fugazi, it's a watsi, it's a woozy. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's why uh, Apruzzi, it's a right. wuzzy, it's a woozy, is a great hashtag. Do you know Anthony Apruzzi? Yeah, yeah, good guy. Um, yeah, uh, he's a funny guy. And a nice guy, and a good guy, and he. Uh, this isn't even a thing from a show, but I was backstage at UCB once, and he was like putting together a, like a cardboard box. Yeah. And it it he had more pieces than it seemed to need. Like it seemed like it was a thing right. that you assemble. And just watching him putting together a cardboard box uh, was really funny. Like he was just funny the way he did it. He was just yeah. like. Oh, what are these? Oh, he was just like yeah. fumbling with the box, but kind of talking while he was doing it. And I wish other people had seen it because it was. Uh, really I'm trying fun. to think of other people that commented on the podcast. Patrick Cotner listened to a lot of it. He's almost done with it. Griffin Newman listened to a lot of it. Uh, I don't know how far into it he is. Another do I. Will um, Hines. Will Hines listened to all of it. Hey, let's give a shout out to Will Hines. Will Hines. Here's Will the Hines. thing is that Will listens to this when he drives to work or drives into the city, I guess. Yeah. So let's say, Will, how's the traffic going? How's the traffic out there in L.A.? Let's go to Will with the 12-hour Wait, day let's traffic do this. report. Let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah. Let's throw to Will. Yeah. And then Will has to out loud in his car give a traffic report. And okay. at least one of the times... It'll happen. He'll, she's recorded and send it to us. Oh, yeah. But we should leave a gap where we go... So let's, let's have a little banter of new, news people banter. <clears throat> hey, Will. Uh, we're we're going to check in with Will Hines with the 12-hour traffic report. Well, let's end on it. Let's end on... Uh, like, we just finished some story and we have our little banter. Okay. You know how they do the thing where they, yeah. they wrap up and then someone does the paper on the desk, like, da 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 And then it's like... And then they do the throw. Yeah. So it's like, <clears throat> and from that point forward, uh, Senorita High School will never be the same. Oh, boy. I remember the days when I was in high school. Oh, yeah. How long ago was that? Oh, uh, 30 years. Oh, I'm sure it was. That's what we're all telling ourselves. Right there, <laughs> oh, Connor? Oh, boy. Uh. All right. Well, we're throwing to Will Hines. Is I think uh, he is on the highway out there, and I believe he's... Dodging some slow-moving traffic. Will, you there. What, what's the traffic looking like down there? Will, I'm sorry. We're going to have to break away. We've got urgent news, breaking news. Breaking news? A squirrel that is loose in the Centralia shopping mall. And we have Will Hines on the scene. Will, what Will? are you seeing? Will, don't. Stop. This isn't working. Okay, that's... I know you're trying to be funny, Will, but that's offensive. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Jerry, cut away from that. Thanks, Will Hines, for uh, doing that bit with us. Great. That was a great bit. Um, Will Hines has, uh, he's a longtime listener of the podcast. He has made two public statements 
that have indicated that he won't listen. Yeah. The first time he said, this is great, I will never listen to this. He then went on to listen to it. Then when we announced we were doing a, a second episode and that we were going to do more, he said, please only record one more episode of this. It's like getting a full season of a TV show. Yeah. And then he emailed, he emailed me in both instances and said he felt bad about publicly saying negative things about it. He emailed me as well to say that he appreciated the podcast. Yeah. Um, drive safe. I, when you said we were gonna, that Will was probably driving in traffic, I stifled a stupid impulse, which was to make a noise like a... Like, to make a noise like that. <laughs> because I thought, like, oh, that would be funny. But then I thought, oh, what if it actually, for some weird reason made him think that a car, some car thing was happening. And you accidentally like got I, him in a car accident? Yeah, and I would feel so horrible. Yeah. Drive safe, Will. Yeah. Will's a per I'm sad that Will's in Los Angeles. I am too. Will, right? Will and I never hung out as friends or anything like that, but we'd email. We had very... Similar to you and I, though, there was a generational difference. We had mm. very similar interests. Yeah. Um, so I always enjoyed emailing with him about those things. Do you, do you drive, J.D.? I do. Yeah. Do you miss driving? No, because I, you know, I actually do it not too infrequently because on film sets, like, you know, all through college, I would be driving trucks and stuff like that. Yeah. And then on film sets, I'll have a car a lot of time. I can remember at South by Southwest last year, they just had me, they had a car that I, at my disposal that I would just drive around. Yeah. And it was like, felt like I was like in the suburbs again. Yeah. So I drive every now and then, so I don't miss it. Especially because nowadays it'll be dry, like, luckily I don't have to do it anymore, but back in the day it was like driving like a 40-foot grip truck yeah. through Manhattan, which was like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, I, I miss it, but I, I wouldn't really want to, uh, I wouldn't really want to drive in the city because parking in the city is such an added layer of yeah. trauma. You know what was fun is that this winter when I was home, Tom Levin, friend of the show, mm -hmm. hopefully long-time listener, yeah. um, he actually grew up two towns over from me. Oh, yeah? So over the winter, he was like, hey, just so you know, I'm having a, you know, my family's having a Christmas party. You should come by. Uh -huh. So I drove there, and it was snow. there was tons of snow on the road. And so yeah. it took me about like 20, 25 minutes to get there. Uh -huh. But it was like very fun driving through my old, like where I'd drive when I was in high school, yeah. listening to music, passing the same things, and just being able to relax driving yeah. out to like a friend's house. Yeah. And then it was fun being at a, his Christmas party and seeing his friends and family. Um, I'm, I miss, what? No, go ahead. What I was going to change, I was going to change the, you miss what? Um, I just miss the rhythms of driving. Like I, that's to tie back to the singing out loud thing, like driving in the car and listening to music is a different experience to riding on the subway and listening to music. Oh, for sure. Because you can <laughs> drive in the car and you can sing along and it's great. And then you listen to music on a crowded subway train and you feel like you're just like this quiet secret in your head yeah yeah um <clears throat> well, let me get another uh oh uh emergency room I was gonna say though um <laughs> we're backtracking a little bit um also shout out Shannon O'Neill listens Shannon O'Neill um 
Now that I mention people that listen, I feel bad not men- not mentioning people who do listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all the all the TCGS friends. So many friends that listen yeah. means a lot. Um, I'm. I feel like there should be a fun hashtag to acknowledge Shane O'Neill. <laughs> Shane O'Neill. But I. Um, Spoke classic. Spoke classic. No, why classic? Uh, I was mixing classic and and spotastic. Well, I was already doing a, a thing. I know. On I was just taking it back a little. Yeah, you just like. I know. Um, so, uh, uh, at spotastic hashtag spoke classic. Yeah. Um, is what we're calling for. And what we're calling for. It sounds like an edict from the government. We're we're assembling our army. Of listeners to do the 30th hashtag of this show. Oh, my God. Um, People are going to stop listening just because of all the hashtags we're asking them. I don't think we're asking that. There was a whole middle period where we didn't ask for any hashtags. All right. Well, if you, if you want less hashtags, tweet at us hashtag. No more hashtags, <laughs> And if that one starts trending, we will stop hashtags. Yes. But only if it starts trending. Yes. That would be a great thing to see show up on trending on Twitter. No more hashtags, please. Yeah. Um, emergency room. Okay. Uh, when I was a baby. Yes. And this is actually the topic of, I think the least popular episode of I'm Too Fragile for this, um, was the episode called Skull. I know for a long time it was, had markedly lower views than any other episode. Okay. And it was about me talking about the fact that when I was, um, Oh, and there's a funny story, there's a funny mutant story attached to this, which is um, when when I was a baby, it was just slightly before the age of car seats being sure. mandated. And I, so my mom was holding me on her lap in the front seat. Which today is like considered... Abusive. Yeah. Um, but back then, it's just how you got around with a baby. Yeah. And the there were these two little ladies who ran a stop sign. And crashed into my parents' Volkswagen, and I broke the windshield with my infant skull. And I have a weird-shaped skull that I personally attribute to. Like, I am worried that if I ever go bald, I will instantly just be like, I'll be like sloth from the movies. Hey, you guys! I do think Baby if Ruth. I go balder than I am now, that I will have to do something to compensate for the... I have a little patio okay. at the back of my skull. Uh, were your parents mortified when that happened? I think so. Did they take you to the hospital? I'm sure, yeah. Oh, that'd be terrifying. There was another time... Uh, so we did an episode on Too Fragile for this, where it's me talking about this, and then I posted it on Tumblr, and then Mudon reblogged it, and she said... And she made a little joke. She said... I call this episode, Connor calls this episode Skull. I call it Negligent Mom. And I called, you know, I was like, hey, Catherine, what are you doing? Yeah. And she's like, what? I'm like, uh, I just got a text from my mom that said, uh, she signed the text message, Negligent Mom, to me. And Catherine's like, what? How did your mom see it? I'm like, my mom looks at my Tumblr. She saw you reblogged it. And she saw that you called her negligent mom on this. And she was like, oh, no, no. What do I do? What do I do? Now, my mom was just playing along with the yeah. joke. 
but Catherine was mortified. I'm like, and I was like, you know, like, first of all, I had two parents, so it's also like, uh, why are you singing out my mom? Why are you singing out her? And also, it's just like, I knew that she would be embarrassed by it. It was before she'd ever met my yeah. mom or anything. And I was just like, don't call my mom negligent. Yeah. That it feels like a, a weirdly, a weird remark to make. Uh, Catherine has, Catherine is, for those of you who know, Catherine Mudon is one of the best actors at UCB. Uh, she will be on a TV show at some point. Yes. Uh, I think she's like one of those people that you, um, you are going to be seeing in movies and on shows and you'll be like, oh yeah, that was this person that I once saw in this. But she's like a real pro and really particularly good at, I mean, she's great at sketch acting, but also great at improv and also great at film acting. And whenever I do film acting now, I tend to, like, when I did the thing on Broad City, I'm always thinking along the lines of, like, how low would Mudan seem to be, like, how subtle would she be going? Yeah. Because she, it seems like she's not doing anything. So I, like, try to do it where I don't feel like I'm not doing anything. Yeah. And it, it usually works out good. But I use Mudan as, like, a pattern for that. Yeah. One thing Mudan is terrible at is sarcasm. Um, she, is, and the, the negligent mom, like, when she tries to be snarky. Yeah. It always backfires on her. It always backfires. Arguably because she's almost too good of an actress. Well, that no. it always just comes off slightly mean. Yeah, and it's it's just you know it's like she, it's just she's not good with a blade, sort of. It's yeah. Sort of like she just it's like someone trying to use nunchucks and it's just yeah. like you're gonna get hurt. Yeah. And I remember one time when we were uh, uh, I think we were out of town doing a Gathered show out of town and some like beloved figure in sports, like some coach died, and Noah yeah. Foreman posted on his Facebook, like, RIP this person. Yeah. And Mudon posted in the comments on Facebook, hey, cowboy, no one cares. And I was sitting with Noah, and Noah was like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, look what Mudon just posted on my Facebook wall. And I was like, oh, man. And I'm like, she's just bad at sarcasm. Yeah. And so we, like, started contacting... Mudan, and she's like, oh, like, we were like, she's, Noah's like, and Noah, of course, is, you know, notoriously great at sarcasm. Yeah. And, but he was like, why did you do this? And she's like, oh, come on, you said way worse than that. I'm, and she was like, it was like she'd seen, like, Mudan's improv team, Dreadnought, is full of people who are like masters of sarcasm, like yeah. Michael Caine, Noah Foreman, they're like, people who, like, they can say the most horrible shit to you. Yeah. And it's just charming. Yeah. And so she's like, you guys say way worse than that. And he's like, well, not like this. Like, you're doing it wrong. And she's like, oh, it's no big deal. And we, were, and I was like, Mudan, like, this comes across bad. It doesn't come across like a joke. Yeah. She's like, what's the big deal? People always post stuff about celebrities dying, and you didn't know this person, and I'm just making a joke. And we were both like, this is bad. And then she's like, no, it's not. And then Noah's mom contacted him and she was like who's that woman you're not friends with her are you and uh, uh. and then so I was like we called Mudan back and we're like Mudan uh, Noah's mom is asking who is this awful person who posted this on Facebook and Mudan was like oh my god oh no she was like I'm great with moms like moms love me but it was like well now this is a thing where it's like oh you no these jokes and then you've got like parents inquiring as to like who is this terrible person? Yeah, have, um, yeah. 
I'm trying to think. It has has that ever happened to something that you've done? That's like something you've posted that's caused controversy somehow. Either that you've posted that someone has commented on caused controversy, or something that you've posted yourself that's caused controversy. Probably. I'm trying to think if I've ever gotten in any real trouble. I tend to be pretty careful with my online stuff. I feel like when I was in college, I would say a little more. Yeah. Inflammatory stuff, or I'd like you know, I in in my I'd be like I'd be like, this is what I feel. Who I, like what you know. Yeah. But like. Then I came to be like, nah, I that I don't need to, I don't need to do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I tend to be so um, this. On the other hand, sort of yeah. That um, oh, I did have one thing. This isn't an example of that, but um, the oh, I'll, I'll just real quick before I say this, what I'm going to say. Just finishing the emergency room question. This was an emergency room, but I had my tonsils and adenoids removed. Okay, and I remember couple of things about that week. One was that um, a Chuck Jones TV special that was one of his like Jungle Book Mowgli yeah. adaptations was on and I think it might have even been paired with Ricky Tiki Tavi or something. It was like a Kipling special that Chuck Jones had done animation for. And uh, but there was a kid in my room who wanted to watch a game show. And I remember thinking like this kid watches game shows? I remember thinking that that's a weird little kid. Yeah. Who wanted to watch like grown up game shows. The kid that's just interested in watching whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, what kid watches adults try to win money on a game show? And I got a Dukes of Hazard action figure as my like being in the hospital present. And this kid asked to play with it for a minute and he broke it by accident. I remember being, I'm still, I still basically hate that kid. For that, because it wasn't like he wasn't doing it to be mean. He was just like so bad at playing with things that he like almost instantly broke it. Right. That's um, really frustrating, though. And I remember screaming at my parents as I was being taken into the operation room. Why are you doing this to me? Please, please don't make them, don't let them do this to me. Oof. And I remember seeing my parents. I remember seeing As my parents. As a parent, that's got to be like the toughest thing in the world to I've, see. I've talked to them about it. I remember seeing the way they looked, like their faces, as I, a little kid, am screaming, begging, like, please don't do this to me. Please don't let them do this to me. And this is young Connor, so you're like, please don't let them do this to me. Please don't let them do this to me. Please don't let them do this to me. Because you were like a, like a outwardly cute child. Uh, I think I was a charmless child, yeah. uh, but that's just based on my review of the footage. Uh, actually, I was. Uh, actually, I was a charmless child. Um, I remember telling the doctor, "You're not going to be able to perform the surgery on me because you can't operate on me if I'm awake for the surgery, and I'm not going to allow the anesthetic to work. I'm going to stay awake." And, and I remember the doctor saying, okay. And I remember thinking, that arrogant doctor thinks I'm not. <laughs> and then yeah. I was out. I, I remember. Arrogant. Yeah, I remember telling the doctor, you're not going to be able to do surgery on me because I'm not, you can't do it if I'm still awake and I'm not going to let you. And then he was like, yeah, okay. And I remember having half the thought of, of uh, that he was. I couldn't believe how confident he was that it was going to work for him. Yeah. And then the, the final grace note for that was that the big thing they tell you is that, oh, the good thing about uh, 
ice cream. You get all the ice cream you want. And you're in such unbearable pain that it's like anytime you have a bad sore throat, you don't want ice cream. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to cut all your skin off and then you can use all the lotion and hand cream you want. Yeah. You know, it really is just like, oh, really, it's... I remember them bringing in stuff that was like ice cream. I'm like, I'm not hungry for ice cream. I am in pain from yeah. being cut. That's funny, though. As a kid, I would have never had the gall to... Um, protest against authority to that extent. I wouldn't normally, but I was so... I was so in fear of the pain of it. I was so frightened by it that that was where I took my stand. It was like... I did get head surgery once. I remember that being very... What kind of head surgery? Sur- I had to go into my back my head boob. And they removed your emotion ship? Yeah, they did. There was some brain. Some brain. They pa- right. took part of your brain out? I've never heard anyone say head surgery. Uh, that's why I have a big scar back here. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's why this ear, if you see the lobe, just connects straight into my ear, and then that one has, like... I've never noticed that. And this ear sticks out more than this ear. Goes I've out. noticed that, I think, but I haven't noticed really? that. Yeah, but... It's pretty pronounced. I, I, it bothers me. It's not bad. I, I think symmetry is way overrated. But it's a very strange thing that, like... Because I had surgery here, and they basically had to cut it out and then the skin gets very loose and they tie it together mm-hmm. and then they had to get rid of some of the skin to tie it all together so it was like yeah. for a while this was like if you like pinched like two inches of your skin it was like very tight and I felt that went like that it was yeah. like rip it was very Ooh. uncomfortable yeah I don't like that but I remember they did local anesthetics because for whatever they're doing they need your oh god that's the worst active. I hate it they need your brain still to be active or whatever yeah so I remember the feeling of them like, if you take your fingernail and run it behind the, the skin on your skull, it was like like that, like, feeling, but then all of a sudden I just felt all the skin just go loose, and then, like, a liquid, like, go across my face, and then I saw it drip, and it was just, like, red, and I was like... Oh, no. Oh. This is how it is for me from now on? Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you think they ever try to do that surgery on someone, they're like, this guy's an idiot, his brain's not active, we can't do the surgery. Yeah. He's right. so dumb. That we can't do the surgery. Yeah. Well, they go, they, they do an incision, and all of a sudden you hear, and the air just escapes, and the head deflates. Oh, man. We blew it. We blew uh, it. But I'm bum, bum, bum. Um, uh, but the thing that I was going to say, uh, oh, God, I hope I didn't lose that topic. What? Let me back up a little. Consoles. Yeah, before the surgery, what were we saying? Oh, your parents having that look of... Back up even before that, before we got to tonsils or surgery. Emergency. Um, was it... Oh, no, we were back to the skull episode and sarcasm and... Oh, I hate it because I should have made a note of it. I was about to go into a story of some sort. Um... Oh, oh, yeah, I remember it was. Yeah, uh, talking about, like, um, saying stuff online. Yeah. Um, I, re- I don't write political stuff online that often. I, or, actually, I have, a, I have a pretty good habit that I... One of the things I feel pretty confident about is that uh, I will very often write political posts 
like a Tumblr post or something, yeah. read over it, think, yep, this is exactly what I want to say, and then I will delete the draft and not post it. Yeah. And I kind of like get it out of my system, but I don't have to get to the point where it's like, it starts a Facebook deba- debate. Yeah. And usually my criteria for whether I post something or not is uh, whether or not I think there's any, like I'll think to myself, is that there any usefulness in me posting this? Like what fun, like what function does this serve? And most of the time it serves almost no function. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. And I realized like, Oh, I was just going to contribute some more noise to a really noisy thing. Um, but I did feel back when the George Zimmerman verdict came in and there was this whole back and forth about, um, you know, people, you know, taking sides and there were some people who were taking George Zimmerman's side that like, no, he was attacked and he had to stand his ground and all this. Right. And I just realized that like the way my perception of George Zimmerman was, okay, let's, I did this post and I decided to post it. And my thing was, okay, even if, let's take George Zimmerman at his word. Let's take his whole side of the story. Yeah. And that he was just trying to protect the neighborhood and then this teenager attacked him and all this stuff. And I said, even if you take his word, you believe every side of his story, which I do not. Right. Um, but if you do for the sake of argument, he is still like, not someone that you want to be like, I'm on Team Zimmerman. Yeah. He is still representative of the worst of America. Right. In that he's a guy who went out there with a gun, didn't know what was going on, got in over his, in over his head, yeah. and a kid's dead because of him. Right. And then even worse, he's unapologetic. He acts like he's the victim. Um... And he does stuff like he goes on TV and says, uh, and he's given like the softball question of the year, is there anything that you would, do you wish you'd done anything different that night? And he just say like, yeah, I wish I hadn't gone out at all. I wish the kid wasn't dead. Yeah. But instead he says, no, not really. It's just, you know, it's God's will and I wouldn't really want to question it. So I'm like, okay, so you know the parents of the kid that you killed might hear this. They might hear you say that you have no regrets from the night that you shot and killed him. Yeah. You don't wish that it didn't happen. That's an easy question. Any idiot on earth, any asshole knows to answer that question like, well, sure, I wish that this thing didn't happen. Yeah, but like, but if you think, pick out the worst person in human history, I bet they would have been like... Any regrets? I wish it didn't have to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if it is like a cynical, like, I wish it didn't have to happen. Yeah. And it implies, but it did. Yeah. Like, they would say that. And, uh, and George Zimmerman doesn't strike me as someone who is... Uh, He's just so wedded to his uh, predeterminism and the yeah. the lack of free will that everything is fated. Yeah. You know, like, he doesn't strike me as someone who, like, I believe everything is written on the wind and we, yeah. you know, we are doomed to walk the yeah. predestined the fate. fate. Roll the die for us and we walk in the shadow of the die. I would, I bet you if you went through a transcript of everything he's ever said to anyone in his entire life, that's one of the rare examples of him saying, like, oh, I guess it's... Wasn't my choice, yeah. Yeah, I guess it was just what had to happen that night, you know. So anyway, I posted this thing, and then my friend Jeff posted it on him. And I thought it was a pretty reasonable, because I was just saying, like, uh, this guy is a nightmare. Yeah. 
even putting aside the things that people are debating yeah. about him. But I felt like it was a pretty reasonable, pretty moderate stance. It wasn't me spouting off my liberal gun control views or anything like that. It was just like, get on board with the fact that this guy is a screw-up. And this whole mess wouldn't have happened if he hadn't uh, been a screw-up. Yeah. And so a guy that I apparently went to high school with posted a comment on my friend Jeff's Facebook uh, post of this. And this guy said, uh, well, now I guess I know why I was never friends with uh, Connor in high school. So Jeff alerted me to this, that this guy was, uh, had made a comment about me. Yeah. And uh, I, I looked at this guy's Facebook page. He wasn't a Facebook friend of mine. And his profile picture was a picture of him and this dead turkey that he'd shot, him and his gun and a bird. And all of his profile photos are all him with various guns. And right. one of them was like just an image that had text over it that said, uh, a man pulled a knife on me and said, uh, would you die for your family? And I pulled out a gun and smiled and said, no, but I'd sure kill for them. And so it was like, this is a guy who's like, okay, this guy likes his guns. This guy's whole thing is guns. And so I, yeah? Battery time? I think I died. I died. All right. Well, JD's battery's died. I still have two solid bars of battery. So I'm going to just keep talking while JD puts new batteries in. Do we have batteries for me if uh, I run out? How many, how many bars do you have? I have two. Oh, you're fine. I feel like I'm great. I feel like... Yeah, and, and if I've only gotten, I've still got two full bars and we had three to start with, that feels like a minute for the long haul. So anyway, so I posted a comment under this guy's comment. What? I posted a comment under this guy's comment that said, because uh, I felt like his comment was sort of insulting to me. Yeah. And I said, um, well, one of the reasons that we never hung out, that we weren't friends in high school is... Test, 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 JD? Good. Test, 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 Connor? I said, one of the reasons that we never yeah. uh, were friends in high school is I had... Oh, his, his comment was, uh, oh, man, wow. Uh, I guess I know why I never hung out with Connor, and why Connor and I never hung out in high school. Right. And I responded by saying, okay, well, one of the reasons we never hung out in high school is I have no idea who you are. Uh, but fair enough, there are probably other reasons. And... Which is a pretty... Uh, go for the jugular. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's the approach that I've used in the past. If, yeah. I, yeah, go ahead. And that is, you know, I, but I felt like you're an asshole posting this comment on a thing that isn't about you, saying, like, this is why I, we, I wouldn't be friends with this guy. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you don't want to be friends. Like, fuck you for the assumption even, you know? And, uh, and, he, and then his response to me saying, like, but there are, you're right, fair enough, there are probably other reasons. Uh, and he was like, yeah, there are. He, like, posted, like, a basically, like, a whatever. Yeah. Then other people started, like, posting defenses of me saying, I don't think this is, like, some liberal screed that Connor's posting. It's a pretty reasonable yeah. response. Like, what problem do you have with it? And this guy started calling everybody who engaged with him idiots. He kept saying they were stupid. Oh. Um, when was this? This was back when the Zimmerman oh, right. was. Yeah. I think I remember reading this. Were a bunch of UCB people then jumping on? No, it's was, this wasn't on that. Yeah. Okay. This was on Jeff's Facebook page. Oh, there was something with a bunch of UCB people where it became a battle between someone's hometown friend and like everyone from UCB. Oh, yeah. No, I never brought in any reinforcements. Yeah. But, but I remember whenever I see that, I'm like, oh, God, and then I have to read the whole thing and I love it. Yeah. 
Well, this guy started calling everyone who chimed. Everyone else was being polite to him, and he kept right. calling everyone morons and stupid. And so finally I went back into it, and I said, listen, man, like, you keep calling everyone. Like, no one's calling you names. No one's being rude to you. You keep calling everyone stupid and idiots and morons, and you have spelling errors in each one of these comments while you're doing it. So I'm like, lay off. Like, you're, you're in no position to be calling anyone else names. Yeah. And he's like, whatever. I don't need a spelling lesson from you. And uh, I'm out of here. So, and, yeah. um, but I had a plan while I was being sarcastic to him for what I was going to do next, which was um, I posted a comment that I said, um, listen, I know one thing for sure. I'm going to go ahead and assume the best of you. I'm going to assume that you actually know what you're doing when it comes to guns, that you actually are a smart, skilled, and responsible gun owner. And I would bet anything that you would never allow yourself in a million years to, put, to find yourself in a situation where you are out of your depth with your firearm and right. allow someone else to get killed as a result. Yeah. I said, I just guarantee you that you would never do that. And there was a pause in the comment for a little while, and then he quietly liked the comment. And then he made a comment where he said, um, oh, because he had also said earlier in the thread that it was a lie that George Zimmerman ever said it was God's will. And I was like, here's the link to the interview. Watch it. And he's like, I'm not going to watch that. And so he was just like right. refusing to. But then when I posted a nice comment about him, he quietly liked it, and then he posted a comment where he said, I don't have time to watch that video link, but I guess if he did say that about it being God's will, then that is kind of messed up. And I really, <laughs> I really, I still feel good about it because I'm like, that is like a victory. If you can get people behave not like themselves when they're online. Yeah. They find themselves empowered, they find themselves anonymous and free to do what they want. Well, and also, you create the ultimate straw man to whatever you're arguing with. We are like, you assume the worst of yeah. whatever they're saying. Yeah. And, and I felt like, okay, I'm going to, and I knew when I was being sarcastic in the first couple of comments that I was going to pay him a compliment yeah. and see what happened. And, and an honest compliment. I honestly believe he probably is not a guy who's a George Zimmerman. He probably yep. is a guy who locks up his guns. He makes sure that uh, that the safety's on when it needs to be on. You know, that yeah. most... He's not roaming the streets looking to... Yeah, he's not wandering settle, the streets score, yeah. looking to be a vigilante. Um, and the... Uh, but I'm like, okay, like you can actually get a person to be a, behave like they be as a human being. You know, if you were interacting with the guy, that guy, you probably wouldn't just like yell something at him because you overheard something and start yeah. a fight. But on Facebook, people kind of feel like, oh, I'm going to chime in. I'm going to get in the mix. Yeah. Actually, Facebook's not... Facebook is actually not that bad for it in this sense. Because you can pick and choose who is in your Facebook, Yeah. there are the sa some of the same social disincentives for being like, if you are rude, you can be not associated with that, anymore. Yeah. So it's different than like YouTube comments or something where it's like, oh, every asshole can yeah. be their worst. 
Um, I once had someone long after high school. Mm -hmm. I was not a kid that was bullied. I said too much, too many things going on. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of like, you know, what I mean, like it's just like too busy for bullies. Well, I was just like doing my own thing. Yeah. I had my friends, and like. Any of the stuff that I did do that was weird was like, yeah, but I also was the captain of the track team. Like, you know, I was like pretty balanced guy. I wasn't I wasn't like an extreme to one. It'd be pretty hard to pick out an angle to bully me for. Yeah. Because I did a lot of different. You know what I mean? Right. You weren't just like a theater nerd or something. Right. Like I was. You were also doing sports. I was you were like also doing an athletic guy that like, you know, I could hold my own. And were like you a tall sport. child? Wasn't super tall. Tall enough though. I was tall enough. Like as a. Really good. I was a good basketball player, and I was really, I was a good runner, and I was like, you know, yeah. good at sports kind of stuff. And then I also was an art kid, so it's like you'd really have to find a specific angle to like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in the sense that like, whatever you didn't like about me, JD's a jack of all trades and a master of none. That's not what I'm saying. More is like, I'm saying that you couldn't call me in like an art fag or something. So it's like, well, I also. Become the track team. Overextending yourself. Yeah, and you couldn't call me a, a jock because I was also like an art. You know what I mean? Like it's like I did a lot of different way to diversify your interests, JD. Right. But so, and like I didn't go to parties or anything like that. So there's never like anything like that. It wasn't like going after girls and stuff like that. So it's like there's never any reason for there to be any conflict between me and a bunch of yeah. Anyone. Yeah. And our school did have its fair share of these, like, very, like, rich, um, extremely just, like, overconfident, over, um, what's the word? Uh, privileged? Pr Overprivileged kids who thought that they could do whatever they wanted. Yeah. And that they were, like, so, 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 so cool. Mm -hmm. Um,. But I was always like relatively friendly with those people and like never had any real beef with them except yeah. for maybe a few people who I I personally didn't like, but it never was a conflict of any sort. Like yeah. I, I would never say anything. And one day in I think late college, I just got a Facebook message from some kid who I don't even know has Facebook friends with him. He's just like, You look like such a fucking faggot in your fucking photo, you fucking f pussy ass faggot. What year was this? It's just like Four years ago, maybe. Four or five years ago. Yeah. This is like years after, like three years after I'm out of college or whatever. Uh -huh. Two, three years. Yeah. Haven't thought, like, I'm like, I'm not going back to, it's like, these people are not a part of my life anymore. Yeah. So I remember writing him, so it's, I, was like, I, was like, I was like, I didn't know you in high school. Mm-hmm. And I don't know you now. Yeah. Like, I really don't care what you have to say about yeah. anything in my life. Yeah. In fact, I'm surprised that we're Facebook friends. Yeah. And I don't know what like, like. To be honest, just please don't don't contact me. Like, like don't yeah. don't communicate with me. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing, but don't communicate with me. Yeah. I don't know you. I don't care. I don't need to know you. Yeah. And then like three days later, you message like. Dude, I'm sorry. My friends got super drunk and were like on my Facebook. And, and I was like, I grew up at the age where like the, f the first time where like we were like 12, like 13 and had like AOL Instant Messenger, you mm -hmm. know? 
And so, like, you'd get, you'd say stupid stuff and be like, oh, that was my, my sister or my, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we were the ones that invented that shit. Yeah. So when this guy's like, oh, my friends got super drunk on my Facebook, I'm sorry, dude. I was like, well, then tell your fucking friends. Like, like, then, then, then I think I was like, don't, then, then defriend me so that your friends can't send me another message. Yeah. And like, you and your fucking asshole friends, like, go do something else. Hope you have a good rest of your life. Thank you. Yeah. Like, like have a good one. Never heard from this guy since. Didn't even know this guy. I don't think I spoke once to this guy in high school. Uh-huh. And so it was so strange out of nowhere to just get this message. Yeah, that's very weird. I also once got a Facebook message from a girl that was like, she went to our school and then moved away in fourth grade. She messaged me a couple years ago and was like, hey, I just want to let you know I hit a huge trust you in grade school. Are you ever around Illinois anymore? It was like a very strange thing. And I was like, this is interesting. Uh-huh. And just like kept up a conversation with her. Because there was something very like interesting and fun about like, you had a crush on me then and maybe you still have one now. Yeah. And of course it never amounted yeah. anything other than like, well, here's what I'm up to. What are you up to? Oh, interesting. Very cool stuff. Yeah. So you had a crush on me? Crazy. Uh-huh. And then it um, uncovered one of the things that had been such a, moment of interest for my entire life is one day our doorbell rang at our house at our home when I was in like third grade mm-hmm. my dad was like JD I was like what and it, I come to the door and there's no one there he's holding a piece of paper and it's like a love note that someone left for me mm-hmm. and I was so embarrassed yeah I was just like oh god and like because like my parents sort of set up this this scenario where it was like you shouldn't be thinking about girls. Like, that's so... Ch- like, it's almost like... They would laugh at anyone that, like, had girlfriends or boyfriends at my age. So then, like, yeah. the whole thing became this, like, thing was, like, it was embarrassing to like girls or be in... Want to date... You know, so I... Yeah. Which I think is part of the reason why I never dated anyone. Because I was always like, well, that's such a silly thing to want, you know. Yeah. But I to this to that day, I was like, who left me that love note? God damn it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like... I'm just going to put this out there. Did you ever, by any chance, like in the third grade, and then she was like, hmm, it could have been me, dot, 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 smiley face. And I was like, I'm just going to call that a yes and just say that this is like case closed, mystery solved. Yeah. But there's still like a tiny element of doubt in my head that yeah. bothers me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Well, because you also, like, she could be being coy or she could just honestly not remember. I know exactly what I'm saying. Like, Yeah. Uh, you know, I um, did you ever do rating calls? Was that a thing that happened when you were a kid? I don't even know what that is. Uh, will you accept a rating call? What are you talking about? <laughs> like when you're a little kid. Uh, <laughs> this sounds like a fake Connor bit. No, I didn't invent it. I barely even did it. I would do ones that were joke ones. Um, Wait, what even is it? <laughs> I, it's, it's where you're at like a sleepover and there's a bunch of kids and you call another house and like you call like a bunch of guys who call like a girl's house or something and uh, the... Uh, <clears throat> You'd say, like, uh, like a bunch of girls would call your house and be like, can we speak to JD? Yeah. Will you accept a rating call? And will you, JD? Yes. And then they would ask you, they'd go through a list of names of girls, and they'd ask you to rate them. 
That and, is amazing. And you would know they would have, it would be like a polling tactic where they would the girl they would be trying to get the true rating on would be buried in the mix somewhere. So it'd be right. like maybe like Ashley would be the girl who wants to who has a crush on you. So you yeah. got he you, almost said something. What? No, no. what like, I almost who wants said. to. F- who has a crush on you? Yeah. Um, and uh, the, uh, which these kids. Um, and so the, it would be their way of getting like an honest answer. Yeah. Out of you. Cause you That's would, sort of it, a genius tactic. Yeah, because you would rate all the... But it could backfire. It could get accurate results. But it could also be that you're like, you think it's like Rebecca or something calling and you give her a big rating or something. Yeah. But then you're just like, Ashley, uh, six... And they'd be like, oh, six. And then, and then Rebecca would be like, yeah, I don't like you. I don't like you. And you'd be like, oh, God. Yeah. So rating calls were ways of getting information by calling and asking them to rate boys or girls or whatever. I've literally never heard of that. I wonder if that's a local. It might be, have been a local temporary thing, but it sounds so businesslike, right? Would you accept a rating call? That's so funny. And I, did I think. You, did, did you get rating calls? Um. I think there was one time where I was like at a friend's house who we got a rating call. Um, and I think I made one once, but I, it just, uh, <laughs> I made a rating call, uh, but I only listed historical figures. <laughs> Such a Connor joke. I called up and I was like, will you accept the rating call? And then I was like, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I was like asking them to rate like, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was asking them to rate Famous men of history. That's funny. Yeah, I'm trying to think if we had anything. See, that's what instant message, instant messaging was for us. Yeah. Is that you'd go on to AOL Instant Messenger, you get like, bloop, or like whatever it was like, kick, and then like, someone would be like, what do you think of so-and-so? And it was not a very hidden tactic. But then that was the like, that was the equivalent of like the group call thing. It's like multiple instant message boxes of people uh-huh. going back and forth. Ratings call, that's so interesting. Yeah. We had something that I keep referencing, and like some people know it, some people don't. Mm-hmm. I went to a lot of like bar and bat mitzvahs. Uh huh. And there's always this thing called the snowball. Have you ever heard of this? No. I've heard of the uh, snowball, the um, hostess snack cake that's covered in coconut. This is not the hostess snack. What it was was it was a dance, like the DJ or whatever, like. All right, everybody, it's time for a snowball. So let's get in a circle. What it was, everyone stood in a circle. Whoever was getting the bar bot would be in the middle. Mm-hmm. And they'd start playing a slow song. And that person would pick one person to dance with. Mm-hmm. They would dance. Then the person would go, snowball. And then the DJ would be like, it'd be like, bum, 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 snowball. And then those two people would separate and each pick someone to dance with. And then snowball, and then those oh, so it's four about people. the building momentum, right? But it was all slow dancing. Yeah. So what it really was was, do you get chosen in the first three or four rounds, of or are you like one of the exponential later rounds where like sixty-four people are being added to the mix? Yeah. And then it was always like, who's going to pick you? And then if you get picked, who are you going to pick? And it was always like, pressure. That's who you like. It was big pressure. Oh God, yeah, that's weird. That's a weird mind fuck. I remember once being picked. Head games. Uh, I'll just say this. Actually, Brody picked me like third or fourth. Hey, I used the name Ashley when I did your fake rating call. I know. That did that ring a bell for you? She was the, she was like one of the popular 
girls when I was in like fifth grade. It's amazing that I picked that name. Not really. That's a pretty standard name. I almost went with Ashlyn. Oh, I would not have known anyone named Ashlyn. Yeah. Yeah, third or fourth round, pretty uh, pretty big oh, deal. It's like a bracket. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't know who to pick, and I got real subconscious. Yeah. You picked a teacher. I picked someone's grandmother. Yeah, and then it was always like, uh-oh, you don't, someone wants to pick you that you don't want to pick, and then it's like all this pressure. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But that was always stressful. I hated those. Yeah. Um, I just got a text from my mom saying uh, that my dad had his best day yet. That's great. Uh, chemo only took an hour and 40 minutes, which is a record. He felt good all day. No aches, no pains. And she says, hope your second 12-hour gig went well. I told her we're currently in hour 11. And uh, she, then she says, wow, hope I can block out a day when I can listen to them both. Ugh, I've said things now that I can't. I don't want them to find out that Robert Crumb story. Um, oh, hilarious. Uh, I hope they didn't listen. Um, the, my school did a couple things that I've since found out were not normal. Um, it, it is weird when you find regional things like ra- will you accept a rating call. I think it could have been a local temporary right. sensation that happened. Like that might have even ha- been happening two years on either end of when we were doing it. Right. It could have come from something real specific and died out. Because um, you always see the thing of the notes, like, do you like me, yes, yeah. no, or whatever. You see those things in movies, so you figure that was widespread. Um, in high school, there were a couple things. One was, a, our high school was like, at the time, was like notoriously good at sports. Like sports, right. we always win state and all that stuff. And we had PE class. What school did you go to? Jefferson City High School. Yeah. And um, East St. Louis is right across from the thing. You're right. What? East St. Louis? Is it? Weren't you outside? Oh no, your friends now now live in St. Louis. No, they live in Jefferson City. It's two hours away from St. Louis. Oh. East St. Louis is in I Illinois. You live closer to St. Louis. Two hours. Never mind. My dad grew up in St. Louis. Okay. And the airport's there, so that's yeah. what I'll fly into. Um, but when, um, when, uh, one of the things I hated most about PE was that you couldn't bring your own towels. You couldn't bring a big towel. You had to use the towels that the school provided. (laughs) Is that different? Uh, yes. And? Well, we didn't have PE. Okay. We had KW. What's that? Kinetic wellness. Yeah. Already it sounds healthier. Um, Basically, the lockers were in one area, and you had to take off all your clothes at the lockers, lock the locker, and then walk naked to the showers. And then you'd shower, and then you'd go into this little holding area outside the shower where the coach would stand there with a pile of towels, and he'd throw the towels to you. Right. And if you failed to catch the towel, if it dropped and landed in everyone else's runoff water, yeah. you didn't get another towel. You blew it. You had to use that towel. So you couldn't bring your own towel because of hygiene reasons. Right. But if you dropped the towel because you weren't good at catching stuff, you could wash off in everyone else's dirty water. Did you go to like an 80s, uh, like, like, render the nerds high school? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it felt like that. It felt like the most awful aspect of those things. And the towels themselves were not that big. So, like, I like to dry off with a big towel. As a kid, it always yeah. felt better. You could There would be parts that would be still dry when you were 
you know, as opposed to it would absorb all the water real quick and you'd have a wet towel. Yeah. And, but you had to dry off standing there and then walk naked back to the lockers. And a lot of other kids didn't dry off very meticulously. So you were like having to walk through their water as you yeah. walked back. And then you would get to the, your locker and your clothes and you'd be like, you're, you're putting your socks on, but your feet are wet from everyone yeah. else's wet. And it just felt like, so humiliating and awful and unpleasant. Yeah. And then, you know, if you had gym first period... You were wet all day. Then it didn't matter. Like, you'd get up in the morning, get ready, be ready for school, and know that you were going to be destroyed an hour later as much by the shower as by the... Yeah. ...whatever sports you were doing. And I've heard... When I've told other people about that from schools, I can't find anybody who had that bad a shower situation. No. Um, how big was your school? A couple thousand? Yeah. I was like five. Um, but this is the one that's real weird, which is that at school dances, they had this thing which was, um, there was a section of the dance, and this is kind of related to Snowball in a way, and the right. Snowball was like kind of isolating and exposing children's affections for each other, their crushes, right. in a weird systematic way. But there was a thing where there was a section, I don't know what the name for it was, but there was like a little arch on the stage and like a ramp, like a right. Miss America type ramp to walk down. And you would lo- couples would line up and there would be a portion where it's like the dance stops and it's time to watch this. And you would line up and it was your turn. You walked through the little archway. Yeah. But you would stop in the archway and you would like, the, you'd have your moment. And that moment you were expected to kiss your date. Right. And... If you if a guy gave a girl like a little peck on the cheek or a yeah. little peck on the lips, the students would boo because what they wanted to see was hardcore makeouts. Right. And it was just a parade of makeouts. And I and you would get huge cheers if like I remember there was a girl who when she started making out, she like lifted her leg up to sort of like yeah. wrap it around him and she had like a short skirt so it was like all exposed leg. Right. And the whole crowd is just like, woo, like really cheering. But it's also like, there's all these teachers watching too. Like, yeah. it's creepy. Yeah, these are kids. At the time, you're like, oh, this is weird. But like, now you're like, yeah. There's a bunch of kids you're watching, like, yeah. get up on each other. Yeah, it makes no sense that that was allowed. Yeah, that's strange. Did, did you do that with whatever your date was? No, I never did it. No. Um, I think our school had a lot of weird. Th- I mean, we had Breakfast Club. That was our big yeah. thing. We had a freshman campus. The freshmen went to a different school than sophomore, junior, seniors. Oh, that's kind of like that happened there. after I was in school. They started having middle school because <clears throat> when when, when yeah. I was going to school, we had uh, grade school was up to sixth grade. Yeah. Seventh grade was its own building. Eighth grade was its own building, and then high school. Then they started doing middle school, where you would have seventh, eighth, and ninth grade in their own building, and then. Uh, 10th, 11th, 12th in their own building. So it kind of got mixed oh, up. For us, it was first through fourth in one school. Uh-huh. Then four schools matriculate into another school for fifth and sixth. Uh-huh. Then that goes on to seventh and eighth, uh-huh. which is a different building. Yeah. And then freshmen Have their go own. to a different building. Yeah. And then sophomore, junior, senior go to a, the, yeah. the final school. Interesting. Just because our school was so big. Yeah. Um, did you guys have like... Did you guys do swimming stuff in your... Uh... 
Um, no, there was a pool in the seventh grade building, but I don't think they used it. We did do swimming students, units in kinetic wellness. Yeah, we never did was, swimming. Uh, it's all thing. Yeah. Um, other thing, you know, we had our radio station. We had a, it was like a, you know, it's a big school, old school. Yeah. Lots of uh, famous people came from our high school. Yeah. So it was like a very strange place. We had like, there was like a Time Magazine cover story about our high school. Uh-huh. About, what was the cover, I would say? I don't know. But I think it was about how uh, it was a school that like had like high achievers but also had a major drug problem because it was all like rich kids doing cocaine and stuff. Yeah. Which is very strange. I came from the quote poor town, which was not a poor town. Yeah. The wrong side of the tracks. But like there were ones that were like Kenworth and Winnetka. Uh-huh. In Glencoe. And we're from... uh-huh. What was that? Um, I was checking Vine, and unfortunately when you open Vine, it immediately starts playing the first Vine that comes oh, yeah. up, so it just made noise. Um, yeah, but then we had like a you know winter carnival where the whole school was turned into a giant... Every classroom yeah. was its own carnival. We had um, our advisory, you know, which is like you know where you go to mm-hmm. check in in the morning. Yeah. Ours was run by uh, Mr. Holmes... Uh-huh. And Mr. Holmes was a huge, like, 400-pound football play, like football coach, huge guy who was, like, big college linebacker. And mm-hmm. our room was, like, removed from the rest of the school. Yeah. And our advisory had a lot of, like, mixture of people, a lot of, like, athletes, a lot of, like, people who were, like, drug addicts, like, but we all sort of got along because of Mr. Holmes. And if there's any ever ever a disagreement, our room didn't have uh, desks; it had couches. Mm-hmm. We would throw all the couch cushions in the middle, and it wasn't a room that the room couldn't have been bigger than your apartment. Just uh-huh. couches lining the wall. Yeah, we'd throw all the couch cushions in the middle. Yeah, and then form a circle, and the people would have to wrestle out whatever the problem was, even if it was like, "Do you get twenty six for that, or like twenty seven for that question?" You'd be like, "It's twenty seven. No, it's not." 20. Like a chant would start, and they'd have to like wrestle it out. Uh-huh. But it was like to everyone, it was like a weird thing that everyone had fun with. Yeah. And then, if someone tried to leave earlier, Mr. Holmes would run down the hallway and tackle them to the ground. And his whole thing was like, he's he said said a phrase that I use to this day, which I love. So he'd go, "You're the man, man. You're the man, man. You're the man, man." I love that. Mm. But it was such a strange, weird way to start the day with like these weird wrestling matches. Yeah. Strange, violent things. And like he would pick people up and throw them into couches. Yeah. But it was like all done lovingly, but also it was like just like a very aggressive male yeah. type space. Yeah. I um thinking about like good and bad stuff from uh school. I was never bullied really. But I always grew up with a fear of bullying. Like, I was so aware of it as a possibility. You know? I think I only had one real bully who, like, tried to beat up me and my friend Mike. Yeah. But we were so good on our bikes and knew the area so well that we knew all these escape routes and we hid and they couldn't find us. You are like Elliot in E.T. For real. We lost him. Um, when I think of, like... Um, like I'm thinking about like things that were that were strange or unusual in in school. 
I mean, one thing that I think back to, and it really does point out how things are different now, is that there had been like some sort of, I think there was like a suicide a few years before I was in high school, and it made the school like reconsider, like we need to like create a way of getting teens talking about issues and their feelings. Right. And so they created a thing called Homeroom that, uh, I mean, they didn't create the idea of Homeroom. Like yeah. they, they did a, a Homeroom hour once a month where there'd be one day where each of the six periods would be shortened by 10 minutes and it would create this Homeroom hour that we'd have. Yeah. And we had that. We had Homeroom every morning for 20 minutes and then on um, whatever Friday it would be 40 minutes. Uh-huh. Same, same way. And they, it was very well-intentioned, but they would do things like, this is the one I remember, and this is the example of how badly you can take a well-intentioned idea and just execute it wrong, all wrong, which was, and this was with a smart teacher. This was like a, a smart English teacher that I liked, but I guess she was just given, like, you need to do this. This is the curriculum for homeroom. Yeah. And we would do a thing where it was, um, okay, class, we're going to talk about issues. Uh, I'm going to read out various issues, and then we're going to see how we feel about these things. And if you agree with the statement, I want you to go to on this side of the room. And if you disagree with the statement, go to that side of the room. And they were just like current events issues. Right. And so it would be like, do you believe in that this is the thing? And everyone would go to their different side. And specifically, the one that was particularly divisive was, the question was, the statement was, um, uh, I believe that, uh, do you believe that homosexuals should be allowed to have normal jobs like teachers or doctors or lawyers or in the military or firemen or, and it was just listed yeah. like a bunch of different jobs in the Richard Scarry universe of yeah. work. And I was like, okay, it's a no brainer. I'll go to this side of the room where I believe that they should, of course, have all those jobs. Yeah. And then I realized that, oh, only the teacher and me are on this side of the room. Everyone else is on the other side of the room. And then I also realized, like, oh, this all also means that everyone on that side of the room thinks I'm gay. Uh, oh, hilarious. And even though I'm like, I guarantee that anyone who's gay in this class is on the other side of the room, terrified of being found out because yeah. of the way this everyone is publicly. Yeah. And... So I was—I just remember the moment of being like, first of all, just like, of course, incredibly, just disappointed in humanity. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I the only person over here? Yeah. And also being like, this whole program is supposed to prevent teen suicide. And, and I want to kill myself. Right and <laughs> the, uh, and I remember just thinking like, this is the worst executed version of what they're trying to do, making people feel like. They're having to lie about... Look, you think differently than everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Isolating people from feeling differently and forcing other people to pretend to go along with it because they don't want anyone to find out the truth. Yeah. And I remember getting to this, like, the, they started, the teacher was, like, trying to ask the students on the other side of the room, like, why do you think that? And I remember one guy specifically was like, look, if I'm in the army and I'm down there doing push-ups, I don't want some guy checking out my butt. I was like, all right. And I was the one being forced to be like the spokesperson for like homosexuality. The, the, for homosexuality, and I was just like, okay, like that's not how it works, you know? Like, yeah. like you're first of all, you're really flattering yourself that you think that anyone's interested in you. Like, yeah. your first assumption is that this is a huge problem for you. Yeah. Uh, and 
but I, they were, and I guarantee you, like even in even in Missouri, even in my hometown, like you just wouldn't find that situation now. Yeah, there wouldn't be a room full of students that would go to that side of the room and let one person be alone. There would be, uh, if anything, it would probably be closer to the other balance now. Yeah. I tend to think at this point, um, but. I remember we had a teacher who was really funny. He would do goofy things, but he would also do things that even at the time I was like, this is not appropriate. Like, oh yeah. Uh, he would come in and do, you know, he'd be like, hey class, today we're gonna, he would do like Jim Carrey sort of big crazy stuff. Yeah. But I also remember one day he ran into the classroom and said, today we're going to teach the whole class in the Chinese. And then proceeded to do, oh, no. proceeded to oh, do no. his version of what a Chinese person would be like, and uh, there's like one Chinese girl in the class that just it's like, just like no, no, there wasn't a Chinese girl in the class. Um, I remember. I mean, we want to talk about bad. I do. Oof. We had in fifth and sixth grade, we had a teacher, Mr. Gustafson, which number one, we did a lot of weird things at the, our school. We had. One day that would be, what was it? It was called like the the life game or something. Yeah. The whole thing is you were teamed up into teams of like 10, 10 to 20 people. You all wore a certain color penny and you had a circle with point value items in them. And our school, the, 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 the 5th and 6th grade school and the 7th and 8th grade school were probably about half a mile apart. And in between them, oh no, it was like probably... Yeah, like, in between it was a giant park. Yeah. Trees, all the stuff. So spread out in all that space were all these circles, and every kid was on a team, and you had, uh, like, you know, a, uh, a flag football flag on. Mm-hmm. You have to run out and try to steal stuff from the other camps and bring it back to yours. Yeah. If you got killed, you were a captive, and, that, and it was, like, this whole thing. Yeah. And that would be a whole, like, thing that we'd do. Yeah. Anyway, Mr. Gubson was the gym teacher. He was maybe, like, six foot four... Gray hair, looks like a Will Ferrell character, uh-huh. wearing like a tracksuit with sweatpants and shaded sunglasses and like curly gray hair. And he's just disgusting, like, all right, here's what we're doing. Like, felt like a Will Ferrell SNR character of like yeah. creepy. Yeah. He would always have his keys in his pocket yeah. and be f- jingling them. So it just looked like he was jerking off all oh, day. God. And you'd be like, Mr. Guffson, what are you doing in your pants? And he'd go, I'm jingling my keys. And it was like, he was like touching his dick half the time. He was a real creepy guy. Um, yeah. Anyways, one day, like, there's this guy, Nick Kreider, who was a friend of ours, who was sort of like troublemaker kid, but like yeah. good kid, but he was like tall and big. Yeah. And uh, one day we're having uh, outside, and all the gym classes are together. So it's probably like 100 kids all sitting together. And um, Nick Kreider was late coming out, so he's like running out. Sitting down, maybe 30 seconds mm-hmm. late. And Mr. Gufson goes, well, 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 if it isn't Nick Kreider, all of you should take a look at Kreider because you'll never want to be like him. He's going to grow up to be nothing. He's a nothing. He's a nobody. He's a fat, ugly idiot who nobody likes. Kreider, stand up. Let him see what they don't want to become. He stood there. This is a kid who's like, oh god, pretty hard-edged kid. But like, he's like tearing up, and he's like, "You're a nobody, and you'll always be a nobody." Now get the fuck out of here, you nobody, you fat, ugly idiot. He's just tearing into this kid, and even at the time, we're all like, 
you can't do that to a kid. Like, yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. And then there's a kid that he loved, Tommy Wingles. Uh huh. Tommy Wingles was like the quintessential, like, like, athlete. All the gym teachers liked him. There's always, he got like rumors that he, he was a big hockey player, but he got kicked out of like hockey boarding school because like, mm. he like, there's always a rumor that, he, there, whatever's a true or not, there's a rumor that he helped like, Hold down a kid and put a squirt gun of suntan lotion in the kid's ass. Oh my and it was God. like such a weird like rumor. Yeah. But he he went away to hockey board and then came back. And Mr. Gubson would stop gym class. He'd blow the whistle. Be like, everybody sit down. Tommy, stand up. Everybody, Tommy just performed an excellent overhand serve. Let's all give him a hand. And it was like, it would stop so we could congratulate this one kid. Yeah. And it drove me insane because it was like. I was always like, but he's not that much. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. But that, that, that gym team was insane. Tommy Wingles ended up, I think he's in the NHL now as a, like a professional hockey yeah. player. But that was the same school where we had, the other gym teacher was Miss Sweat. Uh-huh. And then I've, I've said this before, and this is the most insane thing. The band department in that school, the three teachers that were the teachers of it. Yeah. And I never took band, but I always thought this was the funniest thing in the world, was... Mrs. Body, <laughs> Mr. Butts, B-U-T-T-Z, mm-hmm. and then to top it all off, not a joke, spelled exactly as it sounds, Mr. Jam Pole. Body, Butts, and Jam Pole. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And it was insane. Um, but yeah, that was that haul. That is nuts. Have you ever tried to track down that crazy coach? No, I wonder what he's up to. He's probably in prison if there's any justice, right? Well, we had a teacher go to prison for child pornography. Oh, God. Yeah. And he was the, the teacher that would like, always play it, like guitar and play guitar at the local yeah. hamburger place. He was like a good guy. And his dad was a teacher that had been around forever. And he yeah. was the son. It was like the dad and son working together. And then the son got sent to prison for child pornography. Ugh. Terrible. It was awful. Um... Yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to think of crazy things that happened. And, I mean, it's so weird when you think back of like how large things loom when you're a certain age and they get to a point where you're just like, oh, it doesn't matter what happens in that building. Right. I told you the story last time about how <clears throat> in our fifth and sixth grade class, sort of all the troublemakers got put together uh-huh. in a classroom that was sort of removed from the rest of everybody. Uh-huh. And our two teachers... We're both pregnant and going through hormonal things at the same time. And yeah. It turned into a nightmare where that was where my Arlen and that guy, Nick Crowder, all those people, we created a, an underground railroad per se, but it was a it was in the push away ceiling tiles. Uh-huh. In the bathroom, you'd go up to climb on the toilet, on the thing, then go up into the ceiling. <laughs> and multiple people would go up there at once and basically have like escape things up in the ceiling. Um, Wait, what do you mean escape things? would hide there from hours. Oh, so you wouldn't get out of the building there? You would be like... No, you'd go up there and basically create this like under, uh, this like tunnel world up there yeah. where you just like live in the ceiling. Yeah. Um, would you crawl over the classes? Yeah, and then Arlen, Arlen would crawl over the girls' bathroom. And then he'd... Like a real nerd. He'd always talk about how... Revenge of the nerds. He'd always talk about how he saw, he saw hot girls pooping and how that was really gross. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, but that was such a nightmare thing. And they took uh, one kid, Louis, aside, the teachers, and said that if their child ended up retarded, it was his fault. 
and screamed at him. It was like real inappropriate stuff. Yeah. It's a weird place. When I was in my, I think, sophomore year of high school, I had been in, I had been in uh, honors English as a freshman, and I realized I didn't like being in the honors class. It, 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 I didn't see any upside to it. Um, it felt like it was more work, and it was, I didn't see what I was getting out of it. And I do remember one fun thing I did, which was when we read Great Expectations, we had to make little, um, sh- little uh, diorama boxes of a scene from the book. Okay. And I made a diorama of uh, Mrs. Havisham uh, from Great Expectations of the scene where she goes up in flames in her wedding dress. Right. And I made, I made it out of popsicles and had a little wedding dress on it. And then I, for my presentation, I had a, a lighter and I set fire to Mrs. Havisham's uh, wedding dress. But what I hadn't, uh, what I hadn't thought ahead of was I just made this little thing out of popsicle yeah. sticks. Was that the dress burned super fast, and what was left was the burning cross of the popsicle oh, sticks no. made out of it. So I had like a bottle of spray, but I was just like, ah. And then look, I do this, and. I know the teacher immediately was like, no, no, don't. And it just was like, whoosh. And then I just had this little burning cross thing. I was like, oh, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Um, Hilarious. And then, but the next year I was in a regular class and a regular English class with my friend Jeff Falzone. And we were at the back of the class and we were always joking around and goofing around and doing fun things. We would make up songs and we were doing characters and stuff like that. And... But we were also the only people in the class who were really contributing. Like yeah. we, we made the classes fun, and we would do readings, and we would ask questions. And then there was a point where, um, like I know there was a point where I think Jeff got caught cheating on a test or something, and she called him out to the hallway. Jeff, out in the hallway, and she like accused him of cheating. Yeah. And I remember Jeff made like a passionate speech to her. Where Jeff was like, Mrs. Denny, Miss Denny, I am an honorable knight. <laughs> like he made, or is the honorable knight. But he just Hashtag like. Hashtag honorable knight at Jeff Falzone. At Jeff Falzone. Uh, let me see uh, if that's his exact. Um, um, if that's his exact. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, the. Uh, The fun thing would be um, when we were in those classes, we were having we were having such a fun time. We were really getting away with murder. Yeah. And one thing that there was a point where we, I think we pushed stuff, and we realized we were about to get in trouble. Yeah. I don't know what we did, but we we like noticed it that it happened. Yeah. Where she was like about to like, if we do one more thing, she's gonna. Uh, yeah, sent us to the principal. So we both decided to do like a. It was like a, a collective work action, work stoppage, where we just started acting like everyone else in the class. Right. So she'd be like, she'd have a question. Oh no, I remember what it was. I remember what caused it. It was that uh, she got into an argument with us because um, we were reading some poem, and it was like about a sunset or something. Right. And she asked the class like what she asked like what color we thought the sunset was in the in the poem. And Jeff described what he thought it was like. And then she was like, Nope, it's orange. 
and it was because the book had a photo that went with it. Yeah. And we were like, that doesn't mean anything. This poem was written in like 1850, yeah. and this painting was picked by the editor of this textbook. Yeah. And we got into this argument, she started getting annoyed, so we just decided, okay, we're not going to contribute to the class anymore. We're going to be yeah. like every other like deadbeat in this class. Yeah. And it was great, because she, the classes got so awkward and silent and uncomfortable, and she would like call on us, and she'd be like, Jeff, Connor? And we'd be like, um, yeah. And she was like, do you guys have, like, what do you think about this? And we're like, it's good. Well, but do you have, like, what did you think of this thing? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And we did it for, like, a few, several days. And we could feel, like, the classes were excruciatingly long for her all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, we went from being the thing that kind of made the classes zip by, but kind of got on our nerves, too, because we were out of control. I mean, we were really out of control. We would, like, stand up on the chairs and make up a song and stuff like that. And, yeah. Um, we would say, like, we want to do a scene from Julius Caesar. If we were reading that, we'd get up and do yeah. the scene and stuff. So we were being disruptive, but then we just stopped. And then she also realized it, like, fuck, what do I do now? Like, I can't... I can't waste away the rest of this class by arguing with Jeff and Connor. But also, she, she couldn't get us for anything anymore because right. if she was like, you're not contributing, we are like, no one's contributing. And... So finally, there was a point where she called. She was like, Jeff, Connor, come up here. And she called us up to her desk. And she was like, guys, cut it out. And we are like, what do you mean? And she's like, you know what I mean. Just cut it out. And we're like, we're not doing anything. She's like, guys, you, you know what I'm talking about. Just like, just, just like make it how it was before. And we're like, all right. <laughs> so we went to the back of the classroom and instantly we're like, hey, Frank, what are you doing? And we're just like doing like, we pretend yeah. to be these cops yeah. like called Frank and Frank. Uh, those actually, that's uh, Frank and Frank were two cops that Jeff and I would play. Um, we had to do a, there was a class we had to do in school where we were doing community service. Right. As part of it. And we were in trouble. It was just part of the class. It was like civics type stuff. And we went to volunteer at the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army was like, we don't have anything for you to do. And we're like, we got to do something. Like, we're, it's for class. And we're like, all right, go look for trash out by the trees. Yeah. And so we went over there, and we pretended to be these cops named Frank and Frank, who were partners. And one of the Franks was married to a woman named Felicia. And the other Frank was clearly having an affair with Felicia. <laughs> and they, wouldn't, they would come so close to saying what the, what the right. actual uh, problem was. They right. would, but they knew that if they said... I'm sleeping with Felicia. Like, that there was, they would like yeah. say it, but then take it back or something. Cause <laughs> they didn't want to ruin the friendship. So we would always play this like one. I was like the cuckolded right. uh, cop, and he was the cop who was, we were best friends and, and cops partners, but also right. in, in a sick sex triangle. That reminds me, um, in eighth grade, that's when I think I was at the peak of my personal troublemaking. Uh huh. Is me and my friend. My one of my good friends, still yeah. good friend, Dale Hoff. Yeah. And then James Priest, who's a friend of mine, Pat Hartnett, a bunch of people. Yeah. We had a class that had a big window along the back. Yeah. And on it was one of those big radiators that would, you know, pump out heat yeah. and air conditioning, stuff like that. And as part of it, it had a f- rotating fan system in it where the fans were, you know, uh, perpendicular to the ventilation system. Yeah. Right? So the fans would rotate. Yeah. So in the game that I thought was super fun that I started is I would start trying to put as much stuff as possible in there 
Yeah. So like became a thing where like when the teachers in there, I just like start like like anything that was around, I just start putting it in there, mm-hmm. and then it became so bold that like during the class, the teacher would turn around, I'd take a, a, a thing of water and just pour it into the th- into the radiator, and it would start to like yeah, and like smoke would come out, and then it would like it would like fix itself somehow. Yeah. So then I'd just like find another thing to put in it. Um, and I remember one day <laughs> there was a yardstick. Yeah. And so I just am sitting there and I, uh, <clears throat> like, I was like particularly bored in class and like it was making the whole class laugh to turn around and I'd like stick, like I'd pull a poster off the wall and slide it all into the thing and then you'd be like, and it'd like go quiet and she'd be like, what was that? And it'd be like, I have no idea. But like the big map off the wall would be in the radiator. Yeah. So I take a, a yardstick, the teacher turns around, and I just take the yardstick and jam it into the thing. And of course, immediately, you just hear, kay, 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 like the, the yardstick bursts into pieces. Yeah. And then wood strips start flying oh, out God. of the thing. And the teacher turns around, and whatever happened, just like, there must have been a shelf that all the stuff ended up on. Yeah. Because that, all that clamoring, yeah. I sit there, and it's like, apparently the image was me sitting in front of it, just like, like acting totally innocent. And behind me, wood chips are flying out. And then suddenly, everything that I'd put in there up to that point just burst out. So, yeah. like, flying out of the radiator. We got in all this trouble over it. Yeah. But then what that led to was um, we had a friend in our, our writing class, mm-hmm. Ian Nelson Johnson, who was an athletic kid, good friend, but he was a small kid, super ener- energetic. All the girls liked him. He was, like, Mr. Social. Got like, walked in, like, hey, how's it going? Like, really funny, but also, like, Mr. Social. Yeah. And so me and my friend Dale realized in doing all this radiator stuff how dis- easily distracted he was by everything. Yeah. And so Dale and I wanted to do our big writing assignment at the end together. And so Ian came up to us and he was like, he was, he's, he's like hey guys, can I be a part of your writing group? And, da, da, da. and we're like, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And so like the first day we're trying to brainstorm ideas and the whole time yeah. while we're brainstorming, Ian is off with the other groups just like flirting with girls and talking to friends, yeah. making jokes. And me and Dale are like, this is like this is dumb that we're gonna write something and he's gonna get a grade for this. Yeah. We're like, oh, you know what we have to do? Let's make our final writing project a project where <clears throat> I figure you're about to show me something. No. Oh. No. I thought there's I thought there's something brewing on the uh, the internet. There might be, but I don't think I'm gonna show it. Why, what is it? I can't find it. I was trying to find something, I couldn't find it. What were you trying to find? Um, I can't tell it without revealing too much okay. information. That's fair. But so we chose to do a writing project. Yeah. And the writing project we chose to do is we're going to convince Ian Nelson Johnson uh-huh. that he was in our group and that we were writing a project. But we would never do any of the work. Yeah. We would give him assignments to do, like write this thing for it, write this thing. Yeah. And then without him knowing, we would just take notes on what he did during class and how effectively he was able to achieve the assignment. Uh-huh. And, you know, we had to do a thing where we talked to our teacher. You know, you pitch the project, your project, the project to your teacher, and they say, yes, you can go write it. So we made up a fake project called Barry Larkin's Guide to Life. Barry Larkin's a baseball player. Yeah. And we're, Ian was like, yeah, it'll be super, wait, yeah, we'll make a project. We all agreed. We're like, yeah. Ian was like, yeah, it sounds super funny. We're like, yeah, it'll be Barry Larkin's Guide to Life. Great. That's great. Um, so let's start brainstorming. And then he'd be like, cool, 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 and then go around and start fun with girls. And we would sit there and just take note of everything he did, every dumb thing he said, every girl he flirted with, what yeah. he did. Then we told the teacher, listen, we want to do this for a project. Ian will get whatever grade we get, 
but we just have to be allowed to just observe him. And she was like, fine, you can do it. So for months, yeah. we would be like, Ian, you need to write the first chapter of this that we outlined. There'd, we would never come up with the ideas. We'd always just let be like, what do you think should happen? He'd be like, I don't know, he could make soup for a living. We'd be like, yeah, it's a good idea. And we'd like make an outline. And we'd be like, great, Ian, can you write the first chapter where he makes soup for a living? And he'd be like, yeah, yeah. And then he'd come into class. We had to present our first chapter. Yeah. And he'd be like, guys, I didn't do it. I, I didn't do it. And we'd be like, well, we gotta, we got to find out a way to get out of this. And he'd be like, all right, I'll fake sick. And he'd like fake something. And we'd just be sitting there taking notes. <laughs> and the teacher would just be like letting it all happen. <laughs> so this, it lasted for months. It was the whole project of the final yeah. part of the year. So it comes to the final day where you have to present the project. And he just kept not doing it. He'd be like, guys, guys, I, I, like, 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 don't worry, I got it. And like, da-da-da. And he wouldn't do it. And he'd be like, what are we doing? How are we going to do this? And we'd be like, I don't know. You tell us. And he'd be like, well, I don't know. And he's like stressing out. So he comes to the classroom. And he's like, he's like, what do we have? And we're like, well, what did you write? Like, we wrote our piece. Like, do you write your section? You're supposed to print it out and do it. And he's like, I don't have anything. Like, guys, I don't have anything. I don't have anything at all. And we're like, Ian, today's the day we have to present. And he's like, he's like what the fuck do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And so then we're like, we're like, well, not everyone's going to be able to read today. So we'll have until tomorrow when the rest of the class will read. So as long as we go in the second half. And he's like, he's like perfect, perfect. We'll just not go. So she was like, all right. So who wants to present their project first? And immediately me and my friend Dale raise our hand. Ian is like <laughs> having a fit. He's like, what are you doing? No, no, no. And so we get up there and we're like, we'd like to present our project. The analysis of Ian Nelson Johnson. And he's like, what? I'm like, Ian. Or no, what we did is we let him go up there and we're like, Ian, can you begin? And he holds a blank piece of paper and he goes, Barry Larkin's Guide to Life. <laughs> One day, Barry Larkin is what? And he like starts to make it up. I'm like, Ian, you can stop. Me and Dale actually are presenting our project. It was like a 30-page thing that we had all written and put that out. And we're like, oh, God. This is the analysis of Ian Nelson Johnson. And then he's like, he's like, what? And we're like, Ian, over the past three months, we have not been writing Barry Larkin's Guide to Life. We told you that we were writing Barry Larkin's Guide to Life, but instead we were just taking notes on everything you did and every way that you didn't contribute to it. And now we have a, form, a, a formal analysis of Ian Nelson Johnson and his, the things that he does on a day-to-day basis. Oh, God. And he like shrunk, the, like he like collapsed on the ground and was like, no! And then the teacher was like, take him outside and see if he's okay. So we'd sit there outside and be like, so here's what it, all the stuff is, and like sort of let him know what the stuff was, yeah. and like cool him down. And then we came and read it, and we're just like, day one, 3.33, like, you know, 2, 2.10 p.m., Ian walks over to Shana and says, I'm a big old butt dinosaur. Touch my butt. I'm a butt dinosaur. Shana says no, so Ian takes her drink and drinks the whole thing. She gets mad and hits him, and then he puts his butt up so that he's hitting her butt, and he says, I'm a big old butt dinosaur. Mrs. Lorch turns around. Ian says, I'm a butt dinosaur. And it was just like stuff like that. Oh, that's the, amazing. For the entire thing. Oh, we that's great. We got an A on it. And he got an A also. <laughs> which he would not have gotten, uh, you know, no. if he had been any other thing. I can't believe they let you do that. It's neither can I looking back on it. Like, it feels like it's more trouble than it's worth. Like, if I was that teacher, I'd be like, no, nah, it's going to give me just trouble. Just write a thing, yeah. This is just my job. I'm just a teacher. Don't do this to me. Exactly. Uh, I just remember that I love that they let us do that. Yeah. It is amazing when, you know... Uh, and that was the same class where I put all the stuff in the uh, radio. Oh, God. That's so fun. Um, yeah, it's fun thinking back to, like... I mean, the weird thing is, like, I feel like in some ways... Uh, I figured out a way 
to to uh, you know like sometimes I feel like there's things where it's like you have fun things when you're younger and it's uh, oh Will Hines is asking done recording I'll tell him now oh yet. yeah I have something that I we've been asked are you in traffic I'll ask him are you in traffic oh tell him he has a he has some he has a involvement that he has to take place in well I just got a text from Sean Diston yeah saying still doing the podcast can you plug my cage match this Thursday is the it going to be up by then yeah. Okay. And he said, Lloyd Team Musk, up oh. against fuck that shit. My first time back in cage match in over two years. Good luck with the show, man. We're all hoping you guys don't turn each other and kill each other. Uh, there's no chance of that. No. What was our biggest fight earlier today? I don't know. There was a moment where we had, like, a, uh, there was something. Oh, it was probably over the packing peanuts, maybe. Oh, yeah. Um... So go see Sean Diston. Go see Sean Diston and Cage Matt on Thursday, the twentieth. Uh, yeah. Of February. And also, if you want to get a plug on the show, you have to text us while we're doing it. And we'll just read it out. And yeah, and hope that the, hope that we're, the timing of the podcast helps you. Exactly. Most people, even if we get this out, most people will not have made it to hour eleven. Exactly. By Thursday, so. Yeah, even if we get it up in time, there's no way we have to get it up. We would have to get this up by Thursday morning, and then someone, like, the best case scenario would be someone on Thursday morning would be, start listening to it now, and then they get to, like... No, they, we, they have to, it have, they'd have to start listening at, like, 9 a.m. Yeah, I was thinking 6 a.m., get up, start listening, and then they'd be, like, they get to this point, they'd be, like, I better get to the theater. I better go to cage match. Um, tell me this, should I feel bad about this uh, preemptively? I, I may not be, I have this, the, this George Lucas talk show thing I'm doing on yeah. Saturday, and I, as you know, I've booked this, uh, hopefully, I still have right. it booked, this, the smallest venue producers club, which is like a 30-seat theater. Yeah. I feel I've already possibly over-promoted the show in that I might already have 35 people who want to go see it. Right. Ho- hopefully, I feel bad that there might be the possibility that some people could go to a theater at like 10.50 on a Saturday night and be turned away. They won't. You just have them sit on the floor and stuff. I think it's such a small room that it might be like fire codes or something. Yeah, but no one, there's not going to be a fire marshal at Producers Club at 11 p.m. at night on a Saturday. I think they're supposed to have one, aren't they? Not a, no, no, there might be a fire guard. Okay. Not a fire marshal. Okay, so I can probably just cram it in. Okay, well then I haven't overpromoted because I won't get that many people. Then people just sit on the floor. It's not a big deal. Yeah. All right, good. You, and you know what's more fun? What? My thing with the, any of that is if you have too many people and your show gets shut down from too many people, that's the best press you can get, baby. I felt like that too, I, 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 but I felt bad for having that reaction because I thought there might be the possibility that like I book such a small space and then I invite 200 people to come to it and then I get more than I expected. Well, you can use it as a litmus test. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I just didn't know if that was a thing I should feel bad about. What is your favorite drink is the next random question that popped up on here. My favorite drink, are we talking about... Any, I'm going to say beverage, so... To me, my favorite drink... In terms of taste, uh-huh. I'll give two options. Um, number one, one of my favorite things to do is I take Seagram's ginger ale, uh-huh. mix it with uh, Newman's own lemonade. Mm-hmm. I do about a third of ginger ale, uh, third to a half of ginger ale, and then two thirds to a half of lemonade. Mm-hmm. Oh, not, I'm sorry, not lemonade, limeade. And that drink is like my favorite thing to drink. 
Hmm. Can't drink it often because it's like you know a lot of stuff in one thing. Yeah. And then also, I don't think there's anything that I enjoy more than like a really really good milkshake. I'm lactose intolerant. But you love it. I'm not not to the degree that I like double over pain, but it's like you know. I don't yeah, feel don't great. feel great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but man, do I love a good milkshake. I went through a period a couple of years ago where I was making uh, vanilla milkshakes at home pretty regularly. Yeah. And I really got into just like having vanilla ice cream and then making a vanilla milkshake. And, but then I very quickly realized like, I can't keep doing this. I'm having these too often. Yeah. Um, my favorite drink, I mean, I'm tempted to say just a glass bottle of Mexican Coca-Cola. It is like the one, I try not to have it too much anymore. I, I think I overdo it. Yeah. But it is like, I find it the most purely satisfying beverage just in terms of like, oh good, this is great, I'm having fun, I love that I have this. Yeah. Um, an orange Julius or a pineapple Julius? I've never had an orange Julius. I really like them, but part of it is, you know, there was an orange Julius in the my hometown shopping mall when I was a kid, and then we didn't have it for a long time, it like went out of business locally, yeah. and then now if I've ever been in a part of the country where I find one, it's like, ooh, they still have it. I'm not even sure that I like what them as much. is an orange Julius? It's just like a orange drink that's a little foamy and it's fun. Okay. Um, but a pineapple... Slushy or foamy? Foamy. Okay. Um, it's a foamy drink. It's hard to describe. Okay. It's probably not that good for you. Um, Never had one. Uh, but I don't know whether... I, I, I don't know whether they taste as good as they used to to me or whether I'm... I'm just you, not sure. Do you eat fast food? I try not to. Um, if you do, what is your... Well, I like Arby's. Um, Gethard loves Arby's too, and I just never. I like an Arby's roast beef sandwich. It's really good. Well, I grew up with Hardee's, right. which Hardee's essentially became Carl's Jr. I can. There was a time when I, I would, when I would, when I was living in England, and I would come back twice a year to Missouri. I would, you know, take the time to like go to my favorite. Right. fast food places and Hardee's would always be one of the ones that I would go to locally and I would get a roast beef sandwich yeah. and at one point without me realizing it Hardee's became basically the same as Carl's Jr. which is known for hamburgers but I don't think their hamburgers are that good and they're not bad but I don't crave yeah. them I know and they I drove through uh, the drive through at Hardee's and I just instinctively said hi I'd like a regular roast beef sandwich I said we don't serve roast beef sandwiches anymore. And I said, we don't serve roast beef sandwiches. I said, what? You don't, this is Hardee's. You don't serve roast beef sandwiches? I said, no, we don't. And I said, this is ridiculous. And I sped off in anger. I was just furiously drove away from the drive-thru because I didn't serve roast beef sandwiches anymore. You, you thought it was an Arby's? No. Hardee's stopped serving roast beef sandwiches. Oh. I guess I didn't know what Hardee's was. Hardee's, Hardee's, was, was Hardee's used to be like Arby's. I didn't realize until recently Arby's. Yeah. Arby's? Like Arby's. roast beef sandwich. Yeah. Very clever. And no, Hardee's used to be like an Arby's, and now Hardee's is basically like a Carl's Jr. Okay. But I didn't know that because it was out of the country, and I just rolled up and was like, I'd like a roast beef sandwich. We don't serve roast beef sandwiches anymore. This is ridiculous. I drove no. off. Uh, Do you, what's the most recent you've had? Arby's? Okay. January. I had Arby's when I was home in Missouri. Um, my favorite place to eat on earth is Shakespeare's Pizza in Columbia, Missouri. I think... Really? Yeah, I think it's the greatest pizza in the world. Yeah, I have a frame thing on my wall of Shakespeare's Pizza. 
Um, that's a, I have a t-shirt that I wear. I also have that t-shirt that I've never unwrapped that it comes in the little yeah. pizza container. Um, what do you like about it? Um, everything about it. The ingredients are great. The ingredients are fresh. Like the pepperoni is like uh, chopped there. I really want And it's thick. Um, I hope, I hope we, you and I find ourselves in mid-Missouri at some point. We can go there. Yeah, um, be great. We could do a cross country road trip and go right through it. We should do like a, a uh, we should call it like the hometown trip. We get like a bunch of friends together, go on a road trip. We just go to everyone's hometown. Yeah, like I'd love to go to like your hometown, like New Don's hometown. Yeah, like all these people that like, and have them show us what the yeah. cool thing is. Yeah. Well, Columbia, Missouri is not really my hometown, but it's the town over where I went to college, so it's like close enough. I mean, maybe we could get Monsanto to uh, pony up some money to do a 12-hour day in hometowns. Hometown Monsanto. 12-hour hometown. Monsanto hour day. Um, I'm trying to think of what my favorite place to eat is in the whole world. The thing with Shakespeare's Pizza, the pepperoni, it doesn't feel like they got it out of a package of pepperoni slices. They're thick. It's also, I think, this might be controversial, I think New York City Pizza... Pride, New York City Pizza Pride, yeah. is wildly overstated. I like New York Pizza, but I also like Chicago Pizza. Mm-hmm. Like I, that sounds well, like that sounds like such a like a I like Chicago style pizza, but like a really good like deep dish, deep dish like thick crust mm-hmm. like pizza. Yeah, done right where it is like fresh ingredients. Like it's such a good, such a different experience than like the big slices here in New York. Well. I think there's a lot of good pizza in New York. Even a lot of very good pizza in New York. The thing that bothers me about New York's Pizza Pride is there's not an acceptable amount of New York pizza shame. Because, and this isn't the fault of the good pizza places, but there's so many crappy pizza places in New York City that it's like, how is, I would understand it if every pizza place in New York City was really good. But there's so many places that like, hey, you want a slice of pepperoni pizza? Okay, I'll throw three slices of pepperoni on top of this slice of cheese pizza. Yeah. And I'm like, that's such a, to me, that's such an abomination of what a pepperoni pizza is. Yes. That that's like going into a museum and having someone say, hey, want to see me do a paint by numbers? Yeah. I mean, that to me is like, oh, this town is the pizza capital. Yeah. But you're going to allow a shitty pizza place on every block? Right. Not acceptable. Um, I do... There's a pretty good pizza place here, Pepino's, in Woodside. And uh, what's the place in Brooklyn? Um, name some pizza places that are among the top tier. You know, different one. There's one in Brooklyn that kept getting shut down for health violations. Napolitano, no. no. Uh, it was named after one guy, like the guy who was the old man who sort of ran it. I can't remember the name of it, but I used to like going to there, to this place, because the guy to me looked like he, he, was, he looked like Noam Chomsky, and I liked imagining that it was either, it was Noam Chomsky, or yeah. it was like Noam Chomsky's brother, who was just like... Noam Chomsky? Uh, that's right. Um, no, his, his brother, Noam Chomsky. Yeah. Um, um but I kind of liked imagining there was this is Noam Chomsky's either like way to blow off steam, like, well, I also, of course, ran a yeah. pizza place, and you know, that goes without saying. Uh, and 
or that it was like his brother was like, well, you know, I'm not really interested in global affairs or linguistics, but... Uh, Pizza's important. Pizza's also... I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, take my word for it. You oh, can... Did I lose my other side, too? Well, I'm down to one bar now. Oh, no, man, I'm out of battery Um, I think I'll last, though. I think okay. I'll make it. I mean, we're basically... I think we might have hit the 12-hour mark. We're close, certainly. Why? Because you don't have a microphone? I can't be heard. Um, what is the point of speaking without being heard? The guy that I thought could be like, uh, I think if Noam Chomsky ran a pizza place and, and he thought it was really good pizza and he was proud of it, I think he would, be, he would say things like, well, of course you don't have to take my word for it. You can check the record. You can, you can, look, I, you can look at the Zagat Guide and you'll see that... Um, Ratings for the slices, the, cus- the level of customer satisfaction is. All right, JD's back. Basically, test, 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 JD. Test, test, test. Noam Chomsky. Test, Chomsky. Test, 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 Chomsky. Um, trying to think where I, my restaurant. Where's your my restaurant? Favorite restaurant. Um, I can't think of a hometown one that is one that I'm like, oh man. Every time I go home, I need to go here. Um. Maybe I would go with. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have any restaurants that are my restaurants. Mm-hmm. That's strange. You know, the place that I would always go and I would like go out of my way to get there, which now is not around, is Baguette. Oh. I was on St. Mark's. It was a Vietnamese banh mi sandwich place. But now I found a really good another one that I go to constantly. Yeah. On Twelfth. And sixth. What's it called? Don't know. But it's great. Um, I always... It's, its eating area is upstairs. Okay, you go up a little spiral staircase, go upstairs. It has windows in it, but the windows look out onto the inside of a parking garage. Wow. Yeah. I always get so weird. Like, there were places that were... That I liked in in New York that I moved here that when they closed, it's just, like, hard to deal with because, like, when you find a place that you like and then it goes out of business, you're yeah. like, oh... I never get to have that food again. Maggiano's. Maggiano's. It's an Italian place in uh, the north suburb of Chicago. Mm. Really, really, really great pasta. Oh, yeah. God, I want that. That's the place, I think. Uh, I just get their angel hair and meatballs. Oh, man, I could use that right now. Yeah. Um, there was a place that used to be like near, it was on like Bleecker Street over near like 6th Avenue, like around the corner, like near like Bleecker Street Records. Yeah. And it was like, for a while, it was like an upscale uh, kind of little grocery store. Okay. But you could get like a really good sandwich there, really cheap, and there was a little area upstairs to sit in. And I used to love, when I was in that part of town, this is like a long time ago, and I used to love like, oh, I'll go get a sandwich, go sit upstairs and eat it. I would go there when I was in that part of town, and then one day I was just in that part of town, and the place was closed. And I was just like, oh, I, I never get to have that sandwich again. I had a restaurant that was right down the street from my old apartment in New York, right on 10th Street. Yeah. And it had, my favorite thing to get at rest, good restaurants is, I, really, I like really good pasta. Yeah. Especially like ravioli or tortellini. Like, yeah. Just when it's like handmade, really good stuff, it's like, it just tastes so good to me. Yeah. And they had lobster ravioli that was so, 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 so good. And then one day it just closed down. Oh, that's like, awful. Oh, God, no. It's just like, oh, it was 
here and now they're not going to make that food no more. I'll never taste that again. Never again. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I mean, honestly, there is that thing of, like, not being able to, not being able to let go of, like, you know, things that come to an end. Like, you know, when, when Hostess went out of business. Yeah. And there was just that immediate feeling like, oh, hold on, like, don't, don't. I want to have a Twinkie again. Don't do that. And, and they came back almost instantly. Yeah. But I also realized that, like, I grew up and the hostess treat that I liked was um, ding-dongs. Right. But I also realized, like, oh, what I liked about ding-dongs actually went away a long time ago because I used to like them when they came in the tinfoil right. wrapper. And now they come in the individually wrapped plastic white things yeah. with a little plastic card. And I have to admit, like, it feels different. Yeah. It just isn't the same experience as it was. Yeah. And I don't know if, like, I can't say that it was like, oh, they tasted better coming out of the tinfoil, because that seems weird. Like, I love the way the metal rubbed off on yeah. it or something. But there's just something about, like, oh, that experience is probably over anyway. Like, it's already kind of gone. Yeah. I used to also like um, Dolly Madison snack cakes because they had the Peanuts characters as their spokespeople. So you bought, like, right. Zingers or whatever, and... Zingers weren't as good. Like I knew then, like these cakes aren't as good as like a Twinkie right. or a Ding Dong or whatever. Uh, I want to, while I'm thinking of it, hand you this VHS tape because I want you to convert this uh, video. Um, it is uh, when I was in high school, maybe college. It might have been college actually. I did um, some voiceover work, and that's actually a voiceover for like a commercial for these uh, Christian ministries in Branson, Missouri. Hilarious. And it's me and a woman's voice do, doing, uh, at the beginning of it, it's like, this is Branson, and this, and this, and this, but this is also Branson. And it's then, it's like me talking about, like, uh, you see all the nice parts of Branson at the yeah. beginning, but then you start seeing, like, some poverty in Branson. Yeah. And, and then it does get to a point where I'm talking about, Perhaps it's because they haven't accepted the wonder and the miracle of Jesus Christ. Wow. And uh, I remember playing that for what some... Was, what? What was Steve Twitchell like? Nice guy. Always good to me. Yeah. Uh, I didn't work from that much. Come over here and you haven't really looked at my shelves and okay. I want to get some thoughts. <laughs> I like how you're trying, to get, yeah, you're trying to squeeze in the last... Got to squeeze in the stuff at the, at the last minute. What is this diorama? Uh, that is a diorama of a scene from Arrested Development. Okay. Uh, why, the, do you, why is that? Why do you have that? It's fun. I love that show. But like, why do you have that diorama? Uh, uh, someone made that for me. Who made it for you? A friend of mine made that for me. Okay. It was cool. Okay. Yeah. It seems like you're hiding aspects of that. Story. No. It's okay. No, well, people know that I'm. I want to ask questions. Okay. No, ask questions. I, 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 any more specific, and I feel it would start to not make sense. Can I borrow? A season of The Simpsons? Sure. What's a good season? I, I've been craving watching classic Simpsons. I mean, I always recommend season one, but it's got its uh, detractors. Yeah, I want something a little later when it's like, you know, like a funny show. Just kidding. All right. Um, well, uh, you just lost yourself a box set of The Simpsons. Um, I would say, I mean, anywhere in the... Um, Let me look when I think is the one that really has classic episodes. Well, I think probably the one where it's like the... Uh, that ha I think you can usually gauge it by the quality of maybe like the Sideshow Bob episode. The, I'd say let's, let's do season four. Okay. That has 
Streetcar Named Marge. Right. It has uh, Itchy and Scratchy the movie. Um, the uh, wait, when is the Marge versus the Monorail? Like this is oh a, yeah, that's yeah yeah. This is I'm the one to do one. it. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at this. You got a lot of cartoons, Looney Tunes. Yeah. A lot more Disney than Looney Tunes. Uh, but that just has to do with how much has been released. Like that's yeah. This is all Looney Tunes, but that's really all the that's every DVD of that isn't yeah. repeats of Looney Tunes released. Okay, interesting. All the Simpsons almost, even the yeah. newer seasons. Uh, yeah, I've got every. Uh, well, there was a point where I'm like, oh, maybe I should cut it off at this point. I have a couple that are on, but I mostly get the Simpsons DVDs for. Um, I mostly get the Simpsons DVDs for the commentaries. Because the commentaries are just like, oh, oh interesting. hang around with uh, the Simpsons writers oh, while they yeah. watch it. So even if it's to the seasons where I don't necessarily need to see the episodes again, I honestly don't think I've watched just the pure episodes in any of these. I just watch the commentaries. Because right. you can put the subtitles on so you're not missing the jokes. Um, yeah. Uh, this is awesome. Um... Show. Wes Anderson. Um, Dr. Katz. Yeah. I've never se- seen... The Mighty Boosh? I Mighty think you Boosh. would like The Mighty Boosh. I've heard good things. Um, this is your British... Don't say these things out loud. Um, that's... That's the novella that I wrote that tied into my uh, TV show I made in high school. Why can't I say it out loud? Because I don't want people to find it. Wait, so this is available? No. I made enough copies for the four of us. But this is available online? No. Oh, the show is, not that novella. Right. Yeah. This show is available online? Yeah. Don't say it. I'm not going to. Um, You've already said... No. You've already said all of it. No, I haven't said the title of it. Yeah, this word you've said today. Oh, yeah, but no, it wouldn't be searchable by that. It would be searchable by uh, the title of the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you make this yourself? I made that DVD, yeah. This is all available online. All those episodes are online. So I can go watch it online. You can go watch it online, but you're the only person I'm getting permission to. Yeah. Um, Can I read the uh, yeah? Summary? If you if you bl- blank out uh, names of characters, yeah, I think so. Okay. Oh no, go ahead and say the names of characters. I think I said those earlier. Yeah, you've said one of the characters yeah. at least. Legendary Hollywood producer Max Brenner's first foray into television. The series revolves around the turbulent home life of a troubled father, his intelligent but socially awkward son. Both of whom seeks help and advice of family, friend, and local businessmen. So this is rest development before the rest development. A little bit, yeah. Over the course of ten episodes, it's gripping and highly naturalistic program. Usually, you should leave the, you know, the <laughs> hyperbole. Yeah, the uh, speculation is to the. Uh, we felt it was Max Brenner's style to always uh, oversell. Oh, so this is from Max Brenner. Yeah. Ripping and highly next was unafraid to tackle serious themes including alcoholism, divorce. Oh, right, because that's a yeah, sexual harassment, police corruption, child labor laws, and post-traumatic stress disorder, to name a few. 
Unfortunately, it's heavily serialized storytelling failed to appear to a wild audience. The show was forced to include at the end of the truncated second season. As if anyone <laughs> granted you any seasons. <laughs> yeah, well, we were already playing As with the As if there were like, like a couple executives being like, this is it, guys. Yeah. Second, two seasons We were out. basically like, you know how like David Simon with like the final season of Tremaine yeah. HBO was like, you get five episodes to wrap it up. Yeah. Not ten. Truncated second. It was like, you could have untruncated. We only did four like. episodes. It was mostly just time. We didn't have time. Oh, to be followed two years later by the reunion film. Included here in its intended theatrical aspect ratio. Its intended theatrical <laughs> aspect ratio. This was never played as in if, theater. As if it was played in theaters and like at an unintended chat. What, what I like to imagine is that it, you did play it like a local theater and like the it guy just it. accidentally had it like squeezed in 4-3 and you're like, no, you messed it up. But this makes it seem like this was like, oh, from the Well, I think archives. it was just explaining to the DVD purchaser that we've preserved the theatrical experience, of course. I can tell by the washed out colors of whatever VHS camera you shot it on. Oh, yeah. That you preserved the theatrical variant. Well, it's a fake letter. The stories a- have continued to book form. Found new life in the era of YouTube. It's coming back to the TV screen where it belongs. That's right. Um, you see, you everything you do, you really go for it. You like it's true. Like you like making all the stuff of it. Yeah, these were trading cards that went along with the That's series. Insane. This is a series that never. never yeah. Well, we used to show tons of people in high school. We have a little party story. This is the published screenplay for the film that. Uh, this is, and you got this all. What? No, no, that's for the film that I did that was in festivals I wrote. Okay. Yeah. Whoa, you look so different. Yeah. I was younger. Heavier. Really? Right? No, I can't be heavier than I am now. No, that's not me. That's Oh. Me. Oh. Who's that? I thought that was you and like... Yeah. And I was like, it's like you look different, Connor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Heavier no. now. No, yeah. That looks like you. That's funny. I, mean, I also love that you have a published shooting script, though. That was self-published. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, uh, like I was just sorry to have one, but those quotes on the back are real. Those aren't bad. Not bad. I feel like this is probably the most boring part of the podcast because I've oh, denied uh, the listeners yeah. of the of the content. What is? I was just showing. Well, you I just think it's interesting things. that you you make all these press materials for a thing that sort of only existed in a limited run. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, like, at this point, you've made things that have gotten bigger release than th- any of these things. Uh-huh. But these things have trading cards and uh, the original published screenplay and yeah. DVDs with commentary. Yeah. Well, the the difference is, it's sort of this, that was back when there were fewer venues to really do, th- like, now I feel like those impulses now become like, oh, I'll do another video and put it online. Right. Or I'll make a Tumblr post that does this. Like, my tendency is to overdo... I really like uh, Jim Henson The Works. Me too. That's a great book. Really, really good. Um, What do you think... This is just me showing off my toys now. What do you think about the fact that I have so many books that are this size? I always am fascinated by those, but I just can never... Yeah. I'm Uh, glad that person like you owns them. Yeah. The, right here, these are the cans of uh, hairspray that I bought to be George Lucas. Hilarious. I ordered these online. That's amazing. And I like your... Uh... 
That was what I asked for for a graduation present from uh, when I graduated high school. Not a kistoscope, but a zoetrope. Yeah, that was like, I don't know why. That was like when, you know, a lot of people like when they're wishing like, what's their graduation present? Like, they're hoping for like a car or something. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'd really like a zoetrope. Just seemed like more fun. I mean, it's a stupid choice now that I think about it. It's not, it's not stupid. It's well, I just said it's more fun than a car. Ah, uh, Don't Look Back, one of my favorites. What a great documentary. Yeah. Dylan's I, kind of a jerk in that documentary. He's a huge jerk. That's why I love it. Yeah. He's, he's, you, he says, see, you see that he's this guy who's been lauded as this you know, voice of uh, rebellion and uh, political thought yeah. is really just this sort of uh, egomaniac 17-year-old. Yeah, like the part where where you're supposed to kind of feel like he's getting the best of that journalist. Yeah, he he comes off looking bad. Yeah, I think so too. And the part where he kicks someone out of the party. Yeah. This is my house, man. You guys yeah, you are all here. out of my room. This is mine, man. Who are you even? Uh, the girlfriend experience. Oh, I've got that was a weird. I have a weird story about that movie. Really? Yeah. What's your weird story? That was the first movie I saw after my classmate died on set oh and i went there and i i hadn't really emoted anything because i was in sort of like yeah. problem solve mode getting make sure all my friends were fine da, da, da. yeah it was months later and in the middle of that i just really liked it i really liked the movie and it was like one of those movies that made it like yeah you can just make movies just do it and then i was really enjoying it and i just feel where i was like yeah like we do all this to make films and like People die. This is their you life. You told me and all about this, this once. You told me about the girlfriend experience. Experience he had. And it yeah. wasn't that the movie was. But it was just like this thing where it's like, that's right. We're all here watching this movie, and I like it. And there was just someone that pointed a camera at someone, and like people commit their lives to this this film. Yeah. People commit their lives to film, and we're in it right now, and we're battling, and we've already had casualties along the way. Like, yeah. it's real. It's a thing that this is what I'm going. It's the first time where I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And like. I've like at this point it felt like I've already cashed in like the chips are on the table like I'm playing and for whatever reason all that bubbled up and I just started sobbing crying I had to leave the theater and I was at the you at the at the top of the sunshine they have like that widow's walk yeah I remember just walking out of the theater and just walking that and sitting at the edge of it sitting behind the in the the archway there's sunshine in big letters yeah. that you can sit above on the widow's walk yeah. just look at the traffic go by and I remember just sitting with my legs hanging off the edge like tears running to my eyes sitting behind the sunshine cinema in a place yeah. where I felt so, and I was like I don't know it all just came together and then my friend Blake came out and sort of sat with me and it was yeah. like I don't know I've never seen the end of that movie and cool. I, don't, I don't think I ever will yeah and it was like just that one moment where it all sort of yeah I mean clicked and came out all at once I find Soderbergh to be a very inspiring person. Oh, so inspiring. I feel like... Ooh, Sullivan's Travels. Yeah. Love that movie. Me too. Um, That's one of those movies that I think was one of the first movies where I watched that like convinced me that old movies could still be... New, fresh. Super fun. Yeah. Like entertaining and crazy. Yeah. Um, oh, the Katsi. Oh, you know the, the new one's coming out soon. The, oh, yeah. It's... Uh, it's got. It's called like the visitors or something, right? Yeah, but I actually like. I think I like um, Samsara and uh, Baraka better. I don't know what those are. You haven't seen Baraka. Baraka is. Um, 
directed and shot by the guy who shot um, Koi Anaskazi. Uh-huh. And he made Baraka and Samsara, which are both sort of visual essays, just yeah. footage. And they're so beautiful and so good. Yeah. And I sort of like them more than the... Whatever you pronounce it. Movies. The Katsi, Katsi trilogy? Yeah. Um, well, Soderbergh produced the third of the Katsis. Yeah. Um, I just feel like we're uh, long-time listeners of the podcast. You'll start to realize that we're gearing up toward the uh, end of the show now. Yeah. I think we have, once again, apologies, we've run slightly over 12 hours. I have to pee again before I wait okay. to Queensboro in the cold. All right. Um, JD's going into my bathroom to once again avail Wait, can you be quiet as I of... describe your bathroom? Oh, yeah. So I'm in Connor's bathroom right now. And there are Rolling Stone magazines and a Peanuts book. And what is this thing? Is it a trash can? It's some sort of cylindrical bulge coming out of the wall. And there's a purple toothbrush, as Connor, you heard Connor describe, that he uses to clean the grout. And in the other room. Connor uses uh, Listerine here. And oh, he's got a bookshelf in his bathroom. It's a bookshelf in his bathroom. With bookends and a clock. And a book of facts. This is really quaint. Huh. It's interesting. But he also has... Is this a... Uh, I think it is... Oh, no. Oh, it's a sketchbook catalog. I've got a lot of real interesting stuff in here. Huh. Huh. I can hear you marveling at things. Yeah, you got a bookshelf in your bathroom. You got bookshelves everywhere. You got a bookshelf in the hallway leading to your bathroom. If you look in here, if you look in my closet, you'll see... Uh, oh, my the, gosh. Those are the cases for all the DVDs that are in oh, the right. things. You see a bunch of like Schizopolis, Aaron Brockovich. American Movie, Fight Club, Heist, yeah. Out of Sight. Yeah. Um, the Love Guru. No. Why do you have The Love I Guru? I don't. Don't lie. That's strange. Don't lie. Tell him you're lying. <laughs> no, he doesn't have The Love Guru. What I was looking at was uh, the, uh, what's the movie? <laughs> make another reference to, uh, uh, what was the character that Chris Kattan did on SNL? Mango? Yeah. Oh, the Mango movie. Yeah, it's never released. I got the only print. Yeah. Hard Eight, Nixon. Boogie Nights, you don't want that out. Boogie Nights, Magnolia. Don't uh, want those out to be seen. At one point, I actually... Well, no, it's it doesn't have to do with quality. It sort of had to do with there was a point where they... Because I have a lot of Soderbergh there. Yeah. It just was like... I kept a couple of filmmakers out, mostly comedy stuff. Right. And I was like, oh... Actually, at one point, I thought I was going to get rid of... Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Tom Levin would hate to hear me say that. Yeah, Tom Levin um, lo- loves him some uh, He loves PTA. Paul Thomas Anderson. But no, w- w- I went through a period where I was going to get rid of a bunch of stuff. And, uh, oh, you have the Simpsons uh, thing? Did you yeah, they're okay, right good. here. Um, Thank you. I was going to get rid of uh, DVDs, and the basis for it was going to be um, that... Let's play another game of uh, Crocodile Dentist before we go. Yeah. Let's have that be the last thing we do in your apartment. Yeah. Um, the My criteria was going to be that uh, I 
if I felt like I was going to watch the movie more than uh, two more times or something, I would keep it out. Right. But if I was only going to watch it maybe one more time in my lifetime or two more times, yeah, I was like, oh, I can track that movie down when I need it. Uh, where do you put old batteries? Where do you? I don't know. What's the best way to get rid of those? Uh, recycling place. I don't really know where I do that. Yeah, well, I guess I'll take them. All right. I'll recycle them myself. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, batteries are dangerous. You can't they're dangerous. Those. They're full of acid. Yeah. Um, I like, here's something I'll point about Connor that I like, is that he just leaves his meal out and then throughout the night. Checks back in as a little snack. I'm going to put it away in a minute, but I didn't want to take time to wrap it. That wasn't a judgment. Literally, I, I also do that. Yeah. It makes you feel more comfortable eating, I think. Well, I will, before I go to sleep, put it away usually. I won't just leave it out because I don't no, get like, mice or anything. Um, have you ever had mice here? I have. I had mice here, and they destroyed something very precious to me. What did they destroy? Well... Talking about um, Wes Anderson movies, as we were earlier, uh, I am a uh, defender of... I, I, if, if, you, if you're going to say what I think you're going to say, you don't have to defend it. Okay. Well, the I like almost every Wes Anderson movie. I think the only right. one that I had any reservations about whatsoever, and I still liked it, was Moonrise Kingdom. Okay. Um, but... I love Life Aquatic. Yes. I think it's a vastly misunderstood movie. I think most people, I think the, ba- the big negative reaction that Life Aquatic got was because it was the first time that he'd given, well, the only time he'd given the lead role in one of his movies to Bill Murray. Yes. The preview, if you watch the original trailer for it, promises the kind of Bill Murray comedy that people hadn't had for a long time. Like, yes. That clip of him dancing to the music is like, oh, we're back in like, Lounge singer, right. Bill Murray. This is like Bill Murray being loosey goosey. Right. And then when the movie and the movie looks so whimsical, but it's not really a comedy. It's a no, um, not at all. It's a very serious and sad. I think it's the darkest of his movies. Oh yeah. Um, I think it has a, a light ending, a good positive ending. But I, I think the it, shades of it are. Very I think dark. It, it it the reason people don't like it is because it looks like a comedy, but it acts like a drama. Right. And I think people process it as a failed comedy. Right. But I think if you sit and you watch the movie, if you were to sit with a detractor of Life Aquatic, and I'd say, okay, I want you to alert me every time you think the movie tried to make you laugh and failed. Like every time you think they're going for the joke. Right. And you just tell me. And I bet the number of times that they actually alert you that they're going for the joke is much, much lower than you would imagine. Right. Or than they would think going into it. Um, I love it. But anyway, and oh, actually also I had a breakthrough with that movie, which is one of the first lines of dialogue that is spoken in the movie Yeah, is uh, when he's showing his film and then he has the question and answer section yeah. and there's this, the part where he says something about uh, the shark eating his friend or something like that and they, everyone laughs and Bill Murray looks at the other guy and says, why are they laughing? Exactly. And I feel like that is Wes Anderson's way of like almost predicting. Uh, but the movie I was going to talk about was the Darjeeling Limited. That uh, the person who asked the Q- the question at the Q and A. Yeah. Uh, of that movie is it was a professor of mine. Oh, really? Yeah. 
I love the Darjeeling Limited. As do I. And I think that is a misunderstood film. I do well. too, very much so. And I saw it twice in the theaters. And when I saw Darjeeling Limited the first time, I said, I left the movie and I said to myself, that is the reason I go to the movies. Yes. To have an experience like that. And I bought two things on eBay that were promotional items. Uh, th- I have a tendency to want to pick up, like you'll notice, you called out my Steve Zizou Life Aquatic hat. Right. Which is an authorized piece of promo swag. It's not like a fan-made thing. Okay. That was like a promo item that was made. You also, You also might notice the Fantastic Mr. Fox necktie. Yeah. That is, uh, was a rare promo item. For Darjeeling Limited, there were two promo items that um, came out that I know of. One was a sweet lime mix, like the drink in the thing. And the other was... Yeah. No, the other was um, the savory snack. Yeah. Which was... uh, Came in a little bag. And that one looked just like the bag in the movie. Yeah. Savory snack. So one night, and I had it on my shelf here, one night I'm sitting at my computer and I hear something that sounds like this. Oh, And I look back and I see a mouse on the shelf tearing into the bag and eating the savory snack out of it. And because it had real little peanuts in it. And it must not have been like a... It was vacuum packed. How did it know that there are peanuts inside that? How the fuck did it get in my apartment? Yeah. Um, mice just know stuff. That's crazy. And I was just instantly like, no, like I would have given you a hundred peanuts, you yeah. stupid mouse. Like you could have had the world in peanuts if yeah. you could have in any way communicated with me yeah. that you wanted peanuts. But you ruined my treasure. My, there's no way to get that now. You couldn't possibly get that yeah. savory snack to keep it forever. Yeah. Um, so that's my sad mouse story. That's not that sad. It also scared the shit out of me having mice in the apartment. That happened, yeah. It, it feels shouldn't. weird to have another living thing in the space with me. Here's the context I put it in that I think calms people. Yeah. Imagine if this were like the Lord of the Rings universe. Yeah. And you're just living in a hobbit hole. There'd be mice all, all over the place. It wouldn't be a big deal. It's true. Imagine you were in a fantasy universe. You'd be like, okay with it. Yeah, with like a nice tangerine dream score. For goodness sake. sake. All right, we're going to play Crocodile Dentist. Yep. It's one to one. I'm going to take my third strike. Oh, now we are really into it. Oh, no. I'm destined to lose this. Yes. Oh, God. It's terrifying. Are you coming with me to the train? Yeah, I'll walk you to the train. Are we going to do the thing where one of us rides away? I don't think, I feel like it's not convenient because then you're without your mic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But we can at least go to the train station. Yeah. I feel like it made more sense. Last time I think I kept it and then ended up using that mic. Uh, oh, yeah, for your show. For my show. But I had that for like a solid month. Yes. Um, right. And your mic right now is Keith Hassel's mic. Um, Keith. Uh, big thanks to Keith Haskell, our producer, one of our producers for today's episode. Hashtag, uh, thanks, Keith. Hashtag, thanks, Keith. Um. (coughs) (coughs) We did have a request. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) 
We didn't have a request to make this 13 hour day, and we are coming close. Yeah, JD just tested the, my what I said earlier about the elevator, and it really does not kid around. Unless you hit that bar, you're going to get... Even when you hit the bar, I want you to try it on the way down here whenever okay. we get out. Even hit the bar and feel how it pushes, it fights you. Yeah. All right. Okay. So here we go. That's rough. Yeah. That's an aggressive. It's an aggressive elevator. No question about it's it. Out for blood. Um. Yeah. Well, I have to stand outside twice. Yeah. Oh. Thanks. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <coughs> well. Wait. I, yeah. Was that guy a peddler? Oh, he might have been a peddler. I don't want any peddlers. Um, no peddlers, no gypsies. Um, how do you think this episode's going? I think it's good. I think people are it's I hope, different than the last one, I think. It is. But I wonder, like, were we super goofy in the last one and we had Matt Cohen come in to really I think we were funnier in the last one, for sure. Oh. I think this is less funny. But I think that's the shades of something like this. Yeah. It's going to be different. But I think I, that's what's good about it, is that each episode, it's like a real conversation. Yeah. I mean, we had our moments. Yeah. But I feel like, I wonder whether people will be like, well, it just isn't funny anymore. Like, you guys right. are fully yourselves. Quick, quickly, do something real funny, Connor. Um, well, look at that mailbox. It's trapped. <laughs> I, my attempt to be funny was sad. It was sad, was sad and had no... It's poignant. The audience could not understand. And it was a visual. It was a, it was a, it was a sad. There was a, there was gag. a sight gag that you guys missed, which is that there was a mailbox that was surrounded by snow and it was this is stuck so in one place. To me. Here's something I was thinking about too. Yeah. Whenever I'm at the station, mm-hmm. it's I'm like, I because the train goes by where I live, the LIR. Yeah. I it doesn't connect, but it's like there's train tracks like this. I like I wish I could get on this train and uh-huh. just take that directly home. Oh, because you're near? Yeah. Yeah, but this is the first stop before getting into, um, like, the next stop on this is you're in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, we're now at the Woodside Station. We're walking past the Long Island Railroad. And, yeah, that's uh, strange. It's strange walking past the Long Island Railroad. Huh. This, have you ever, this must be convenient if you go on trips and stuff. Um, if I need to go to, like, JFK or things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I there's something strange about walking to the subway, walking past the train station, and not having to swipe. Yeah, when I came back from San Francisco, uh, my flight was delayed, and I was going to miss my connection, so I got right. to go on a an earlier flight that was going through Newark. Yeah. And getting back from Newark, I went ahead and splurged on getting a Long Island Railroad ticket, so That's I could easier so I could, than getting back from anywhere. Oh yeah. yeah. You had to take, what, four trains otherwise? No, I just would have had two more trains, and I was just like, I'm gonna, I'd rather pay 10 bucks and yeah. get out. The next stop I get out be right at my right. doorstep. Uh, oh, well, i got to be ready to uh, unmic at any second. Yeah. Um, oh, we might be ending abruptly if the 
train's coming. I think so. Well, it looks like we're ending another episode. I guess that's uh, our 12-hour day. This, I guess it really was our 12-hour day. And uh, my name's Connor. And my name's JD. And uh, it's been a good day. It's been a very good day. I've had, had lots of fun. Had a very 12-hour day. Have a good night. Bye, Connor. Okay. Bye. See you, well. you later. Have fun. Talk to you soon. Now I'm just talking and Connor can't hear me. And that is episode two. And people are looking at me.